Joshua chapter 1. After the death of the Lord's servant Moses, the Lord said to Moses' assistant Joshua, son of Nun, My servant Moses is dead. Now you and all these people must cross the Jordan River into the land that I am going to give the people of Israel. I will give you every place on which you set foot, as I promised Moses. Your borders will be the desert on the south, nearby Lebanon to the Euphrates River, the country of the Hittites on the north, and the Mediterranean Sea on the west. No one will be able to oppose you successfully as long as you live. I will be with you as I was with Moses. I will never neglect you or abandon you. Be strong and courageous, because you will help these people take possession of the land I swore to give their ancestors. Only be strong and very courageous, faithfully doing everything in the teachings that my servant Moses commanded you. Don't turn away from them. Then you will succeed wherever you go. Never stop reciting these teachings. You must think about them night and day, so that you will faithfully do everything written in them. Only then will you prosper and succeed. I have commanded you, be strong and courageous. Don't tremble or be terrified, because the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. Then Joshua ordered the officers of the people, Go through the camp, tell the people, Get your supplies ready. In three days you will cross the Jordan River to take possession of the land the Lord your God is going to give you. Next Joshua said to the tribes of Reuben and Gad and half of the tribe of Manasseh, Remember what the Lord's servant Moses commanded you. Moses said, The Lord your God will give you this land, a place to rest. Your wives, children, and livestock may stay in the land that Moses gave you east of the Jordan River. However, all your best soldiers must march in battle formation ahead of your relatives. You must help your relatives take possession of the land the Lord your God is going to give them. Then they will have a place to rest like you do. After that, you may go back and take possession of the land east of the Jordan River, which the Lord's servant Moses gave you. The people responded to Joshua, We'll do everything you tell us and go wherever you send us. We will obey you as we obeyed Moses. May the Lord your God be with you as he was with Moses. Whoever rebels against your authority or does not obey your orders will be put to death. Just be strong and courageous. Joshua chapter 2 from Shittim, Joshua, son of Nun, secretly sent out two men as spies. He told them, Go, look at that country, especially the city of Jericho. So they went to Jericho and entered the house of a prostitute named Rahab to spend the night there. The king of Jericho was told, Some Israelites have entered the city tonight. They came to gather information about our land. So the king of Jericho sent messengers to Rahab, who told her, Bring out the men who came to your house. They came here to gather information about the entire land. But the woman had already taken the two men inside and hidden them. So she said, Yes, the men did come here, but I didn't know where they had come from. When it was dark and the gate was just about to close, they left. I don't know where they went. If you hurry, you'll catch up with them. She had taken them up to the roof and covered them with the flax which she had laid up there. The king's men pursued them on the road leading to a shallow place to cross the Jordan River. As soon as the king's men had left, the gate was closed. Before the spies fell asleep, Rahab went up to them on the roof. She said to them, I know the Lord will give you this land. Your presence terrifies us. All the people in this country are deathly afraid of you. We've heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea in front of you when you left Egypt. 
We've also heard what you did to Sichon and Og, the two kings of the Amorites, who ruled east of the Jordan River. We've heard how you destroyed them for the Lord. When we heard about it, we lost heart. There was no courage left in any of us because of you. The Lord your God is the God of heaven and earth. Please swear by the Lord that you'll be as kind to my father's family as I've been to you. Also give me some proof that you'll protect my father, mother, brothers, sisters, and their households, and that you'll save us from death. The men promised her, We pledge our lives for your lives. If you don't tell anyone what we're doing here, we'll treat you kindly and honestly when the Lord gives us this land. So she let them down by a rope from her windows, since her house was built into the city wall. She lived in the city wall. She told them, Go to the mountain, so that the men who are pursuing you will not find you. Hide there for three days until they return to Jericho. Then you can go on your way. The men told her, We will be free from the oath which you made us swear if you tell anyone what we're doing here. When we invade your land, tie this red cord in the window through which you let us down. Also gather your father, mother, brothers, and all your father's family into your house. Whoever leaves your house will be responsible for his own life. We will be free from that responsibility. But we will take responsibility if anyone inside your house is harmed. If you tell anyone what we're doing here, We will be free from the oath which you made us swear. I agree, she said. So she let them go and tied the red cord in the window. The men went to the mountains and stayed there for three days until the king's men returned to Jericho. The king's men had searched for them all along the road but had not found them. Then the two spies came down out of the mountains, crossed the Jordan River, and returned to Joshua son of Nun. They told him everything that had happened to them. They told Joshua... The Lord has given us the whole country. The people who live there are deathly afraid of us. Joshua chapter 3. Joshua got up early the next morning. He and all the Israelites left Shittim. They came to the Jordan River where they camped before crossing. Three days later the officers went through the camp. They told the people, As soon as you see the ark of the promise of the Lord your God and the Levitical priests who carry it, break camp and follow them. However, stay about half a mile behind them. Don't come any closer to them so that you will know which way to go because you have not gone this way before. Joshua told the people, Perform the ceremonies to make yourselves holy because tomorrow the Lord will do miracles among you. Joshua also told the priests, Take the ark of the promise and go ahead of the people. They did as they were told. Then the Lord said to Joshua, Today I will begin to honor you in front of all the people of Israel. I will do this to let them know that I am with you just as I was with Moses. Order the priests who carry the ark of the promise. When you step into the water of the Jordan River, stand there. So Joshua said to the people of Israel, Come here and listen to the words of the Lord your God. Joshua continued, This is how you will know that the living God is among you, and that he will certainly force the Canaanites, Hittites, Hivites, Perizzites, Girgashites, Amorites, and Jebusites out of your way. Watch the ark of the promise of the Lord of the whole earth as it goes ahead of you into the Jordan River. Choose one man from each of the twelve tribes of Israel. The priests who carry the ark of the Lord, the Lord of the whole earth, will stand in the water of the Jordan. Then the water flowing from upstream will stop and stand up like a dam. So they broke camp to cross the Jordan River. The priests who carry the ark of the promise went ahead of the people. The Jordan overflows all its banks during the harvest season. 
When the priests who were carrying the ark came to the edge of the Jordan River and set foot in the water, the water stopped flowing from upstream. The water rose up like a dam as far away as the city of Adam, near Zarethan. The water flowing down toward the Sea of the Plains, the Dead Sea, was completely cut off. Then the people crossed from the east side of the Jordan River, directly opposite Jericho. The priests who carried the Ark of the Lord's Promise stood firmly on dry ground in the middle of the Jordan until the whole nation of Israel had crossed the Jordan River on dry ground. Joshua chapter 4 The whole nation finished crossing the Jordan River. The Lord had told Joshua, Choose one man from each of the twelve tribes. Order them to pick up twelve stones from the middle of the Jordan, where the priests' feet stood firmly. Take the stones along with you and set them down where you will camp tonight. Joshua called the twelve men whom he had selected, one from each tribe. He said to them, Go to the middle of the Jordan River in front of the ark of the Lord your God. Each man must take a stone on his shoulder, one for each tribe of Israel. This will be a sign for you. In the future your children will ask, What do these stones mean to you? You should answer, The water of the Jordan River was cut off in front of the ark of the Lord's promise. When the ark crossed the Jordan, the river stopped flowing. These stones are a permanent reminder for the people of Israel. The people of Israel did as Joshua had ordered. They took twelve stones, one for each of the tribes of Israel. They took them from the middle of the Jordan, as the Lord had told Joshua. They carried them to the camp and set them down there. Joshua also set twelve stones in the middle of the Jordan River, where the priests who carried the Ark of the Promise had stood. The stones are still there today. The priests who carried the Ark remained standing in the middle of the Jordan. They stood there until everything the Lord had ordered Joshua to tell the people had been carried out. This was as Moses had told Joshua. The people hurried to the other side. As soon as everyone had crossed, the priests with the Lord's Ark crossed and went ahead of them. The men of Reuben, Gad, and half of the tribe of Manasseh did as Moses had told them. They marched across in battle formation ahead of the people of Israel. About 40,000 armed men crossed the river in front of the Lord to the plains of Jericho for battle. On that day the Lord honored Joshua in the presence of all the Israelites. As long as Joshua lived, the Israelites respected him in the same way they had respected Moses. The Lord said to Joshua, Order the priests who carry the Ark of the Testimony to come out of the Jordan River. So Joshua ordered the priests, Come out of the Jordan. The priests who carried the Ark of the Lord's Promise came out of the middle of the Jordan. When their feet stepped onto dry land, the water of the Jordan returned to its seasonal flood level. On the tenth day of the first month, the people came out of the Jordan River. They made their camp at Gilgal, just east of Jericho. At Gilgal, Joshua set up the twelve stones they had taken from the Jordan. He said to the people of Israel, In the future when children ask their parents, What do these stones mean? The children should be told that Israel crossed the Jordan River on dry ground. The Lord your God dried up the Jordan ahead of you until you had crossed, as he did to the Red Sea until we had crossed. The Lord did this so that everyone in the world would know his mighty power, and that you would fear the Lord your God every day of your life. Joshua chapter 5 All the Amorite kings west of the Jordan River and all the Canaanite kings along the Mediterranean Sea heard that the Lord had dried up the Jordan River so that the Israelites could cross. So they lost heart and had no courage left to face the people of Israel. At that time the Lord spoke to Joshua, Make flint knives and circumcise the men of Israel. 
So Joshua made flint knives and circumcised the men of Israel at the hill of circumcision. This is the reason Joshua circumcised them. All the soldiers had died on the way through the desert after they left Egypt. The men who left Egypt had been circumcised. However, the men born later on the way through the desert were not circumcised. For forty years the Israelites wandered through the desert until all their soldiers who left Egypt died. They died because they disobeyed the Lord. The Lord swore that He would not let them see this land flowing with milk and honey, which He had sworn to give our ancestors. The sons who took their place had not been circumcised on the way. So Joshua circumcised them. When all the men had been circumcised, they remained in the camp until they recovered. The Lord said to Joshua, Today I have removed the disgrace of Egypt from you. So Joshua named the place Gilgal, the name it still has today. The people of Israel camped at Gilgal in the Jericho Plain. There they celebrated the Passover on the evening of the fourteenth day of the month. On the day after the Passover they ate some of the produce of the land, unleavened bread and roasted grain. The day after that the manna stopped. The people of Israel never had manna again. That year they began to eat the crops that grew in Canaan. When Joshua was near Jericho, he looked up and saw a man standing in front of him with a sword in his hand. Joshua went up to him and asked, Are you one of us or one of our enemies? He answered, Neither one. I am here as the commander of the Lord's army. Immediately Joshua bowed with his face touching the ground and worshipped. He asked, Sir, what do you want to tell me? The commander of the Lord's army said to Joshua, Take off your sandals, because this place where you are standing is holy. So Joshua did as he was told. Joshua chapter 6 Jericho was bolted and barred shut, because the people were afraid of the Israelites. No one could enter or leave. The Lord said to Joshua, I am about to hand Jericho, its king, and its warriors over to you. All the soldiers will march around the city once a day for six days. Seven priests will carry ram's horns ahead of the ark. But on the seventh day you must march around the city seven times while the priests blow their horns. When you hear a long blast on the horn, all the troops must shout very loudly. The wall around the city will collapse. Then the troops must charge straight ahead into the city. Joshua, son of Nun, summoned the priests. He said to them, Pick up the ark of the promise, and have seven priests carry seven ram's horns ahead of the Lord's ark. He told the troops, March around the city. Let the armed men march ahead of the Lord's ark. After Joshua had given orders to the troops, the seven priests carrying the seven ram's horns ahead of the Lord marched off as they blew their horns. The ark of the Lord's promise followed them. The armed men went ahead of the priests, who blew their horns. The rear guard followed the ark, while the priests continued to blow their horns. Joshua ordered the troops, Don't shout, make any noise, or let one word come out of your mouth until I tell you to shout. Then shout. So the Lord's ark went around the city once. Then they went back to the camp and stayed there for the night. Joshua got up early in the morning. The priests carried the Lord's ark. The seven priests carrying the seven ram's horns were ahead of it. The priests blew their horns as they went. The armed men were ahead of them, and the rear guard followed the Lord's ark, while the horns blew continually. They went around the city once on the second day, and returned to the camp. They did this for six days. On the seventh day they got up at dawn. They marched around the city seven times, the same way they had done it before. That was the only day they marched around it seven times. When they went around the seventh time, the priests blew their ram's horns. Joshua said to the troops, Shout, because the Lord has given you the city. 
The city has been claimed by the Lord. Everything in it belongs to the Lord. Only the prostitute Rahab and all who were in the house with her will live because she hid the messengers we sent. But stay away from what has been claimed by the Lord for destruction, or you too will be destroyed by the Lord. If you take anything that is claimed by the Lord, you will bring destruction and disaster on the camp of Israel. All the silver and gold and everything made of bronze and iron are holy and belong to the Lord. They must go into the Lord's treasury. So the troops shouted very loudly when they heard the blast of the ram's horns, and the wall collapsed. The troops charged straight ahead and captured the city. They claimed everything in it for the Lord. With their swords they killed men and women, young and old, as well as cattle, sheep, and donkeys. But Joshua said to the two spies, Go to the prostitute's house, bring the woman out, along with everything she has, as you swore you would do for her. The spies went and brought out Rahab, her father, mother, brothers, everything she had, and even all of her relatives. They gave them a place outside the camp of Israel. Then Israel burned the city and everything in it. But they put the silver and gold and everything made of bronze and iron into the Lord's treasury. Joshua spared the prostitute Rahab, her father's family, and everything she had. She still lives in Israel today because she hid the messengers Joshua had sent to look at Jericho. At that time Joshua pronounced this curse. The Lord will curse whoever comes to rebuild the city of Jericho. It will cost him his firstborn son to lay the foundation. It will cost him his youngest son to set up the city doors. So the Lord was with Joshua, and his fame spread throughout the land. Joshua chapter 7 The people of Israel proved to be disloyal about the things claimed by the Lord. Achan, son of Carmi, grandson of Zabdi, great-grandson of Zerah, and a member of the tribe of Judah, took something that had been claimed by the Lord. So the Lord became angry with the people of Israel. Joshua sent men from Jericho to Ai. Ai is near Bethaven, east of Bethel. He said to them, Go look at that country. So the men went and looked at Ai. They came back to Joshua and told him, You don't need to send all the troops. Only about two or three thousand men are needed to destroy Ai. Don't tire the troops out by sending all of them. There are only a few troops in Ai. So about three thousand men were sent. However, they fled from the men of Ai. The men of Ai killed about thirty-six of them, chasing them from the city gate to the slope of the stone quarries. Israel's troops lost heart and were scared stiff. Joshua and the leaders of Israel tore their clothes in grief. They put dust on their heads and bowed down to the ground in front of the Lord's ark. They stayed there until evening. Joshua said, Almighty Lord, why did you bring these people across the Jordan River? Was it to hand us over to the Amorites so that they could destroy us? I wish we had been content to live on the other side of the Jordan. Lord, what else can I say after Israel ran away from its enemy? When the Canaanites and everyone who lives in the land hears about it, they will surround us and remove every memory of us from the earth. What will you do then so that your great name will be remembered? The Lord said to Joshua, Get up. What are you doing bowing on the ground? Israel has sinned. They have ignored the requirements that I have placed on them. They have taken what I claim for myself and put it among their own goods. They have not only stolen, but they have also lied. The people of Israel will not be able to defend themselves against their enemies. They will run away from their enemies, because the people of Israel are now claimed for destruction. I will not be with you any more unless you destroy what I have claimed for myself. Get up, tell the people, get ready for tomorrow by performing the ceremonies to make yourselves holy. This is what the Lord God of Israel says. 
You have what I claim for myself, Israel. You will not be able to defend yourselves against your enemies until you get rid of what I have claimed. In the morning come forward by tribes to the tent of meeting. The tribe the Lord selects will come forward by families. Then the family the Lord selects will come forward by households, and the households the Lord selects will come forward man by man. The man who is selected, along with everything he has, must be burned, because he has stolen what the Lord has claimed. He has ignored the Lord's requirements and done a godless thing in Israel. Joshua got up early in the morning. He had Israel come forward by tribes. The tribe of Judah was selected. Then he had the families of Judah come forward, and the family of Zerah was selected. Then he had the family of Zerah come forward man by man, and Zabdi was selected. Then he had Zabdi's household come forward man by man, and Achan was selected. Achan from the tribe of Judah was the son of Carmi, grandson of Zabdi, and great-grandson of Zerah. Joshua said to Achan, Son, give honor and praise to the Lord God of Israel. Tell me what you have done. Don't hide anything from me. Then Achan answered Joshua, It's true. I have sinned against the Lord God of Israel. This is what I did. I saw a fine robe from Babylonia, five pounds of silver, and a bar of gold weighing about one pound among the loot. I wanted them, so I took them. You will find them buried inside my tent with the silver beneath them. Joshua sent messengers, and they ran to the tent. The loot was buried inside with the silver beneath it. They took the loot from the tent and brought it to Joshua and all the people of Israel. Then they laid it out in the presence of the Lord. Joshua and all Israel took Achan, son of Zerah, the silver, the robe, the bar of gold, his sons and daughters, his cattle, his donkeys, his sheep, and his tent, everything he had, and brought them to the valley of Achor. Disaster. Then Joshua said, Why did you bring this disaster on us? The Lord will bring disaster on you today. And all Israel stoned Achan and his family to death. Then they burned the bodies and piled stones over them. They made such a large pile of stones over Achan that it is still there today. Then the Lord withdrew his burning anger. For this reason, that place is still called the Valley of Achor today. Joshua chapter 8 The Lord said to Joshua, Don't be terrified or afraid. Take all the troops with you and march against Ai. I am about to hand the king of Ai, his people, city, and land over to you. You will do the same thing to Ai and its king that you did to Jericho and its king. However, you may take its loot and livestock for yourselves. Set an ambush behind the city. So Joshua and all the soldiers started to march against Ai. Joshua picked thirty thousand of his best soldiers and sent them out at night with these orders. Set an ambush behind the city. Don't go very far away from the city. Everyone must be ready. I'll approach the city with the rest of the troops. When they come out to attack us, as they did the first time, we will run away from them. They'll come out after us, and we will lure them away from the city. They'll say, they're running away from us just like the first time. As we run away from them, you come out of hiding and capture the city. The Lord your God will hand it over to you. When you have captured the city, set it on fire. Do what the Lord says. These are your orders. So Joshua sent them out, and they hid. They took their position west of Ai, between Bethel and Ai. Joshua spent the night with the troops. Joshua got up early in the morning and assembled the troops. Then he and the leaders of Israel led the army to Ai. All the troops with him marched until they were near the city. They camped north of Ai, with the ravine between them and Ai. Joshua had taken about five thousand men and had them hide between Bethel and Ai, west of the city. All the troops were positioned. The main camp was north of the city, 
and the other troops were hiding west of the city. That night Joshua went down into the middle of the valley. When the king of Ai saw the main camp, he and all his troops got up early in the morning. They rushed out toward the plains to meet Israel for battle, just where Joshua expected. However, the king didn't know there were troops behind the city waiting to attack him. Joshua and all Israel pretended to be defeated. They ran away toward the desert. All the troops in the city were called out to chase them. As they chased Joshua, they were lured away from the city. Not one man was left in Ai or Bethel. They all went out after Israel, so the city was left unprotected as they chased Israel. Then the Lord said to Joshua, Hold out the spear in your hand toward the city, because I am handing Ai over to you. So Joshua held out his spear. The men who were hiding got up as soon as he stretched out his hand. They entered the city, captured it, and quickly set it on fire. When the men of Ai looked back, they could see the city going up in smoke. They had no place to go, since the Israelites, who had been running toward the desert, had now turned back on them. When Joshua and all Israel saw that the men who had been hiding had captured the city, and that it was going up in smoke, they turned and attacked the men of Ai. The men who had captured the city also came out and attacked them. The men of Ai were caught between the battle lines of Israel. So Israel attacked them on both sides. None of them survived or escaped. But they captured the king of Ai alive and brought him to Joshua. Israel had finished killing all the inhabitants of Ai in the fields and in the desert where they had been pursued. They put them all to death. Not one person survived. Then the Israelites went back to Ai and killed everyone left there. Twelve thousand men and women from Ai died that day. Joshua did not lower his hand holding the spear until he had completely destroyed all the inhabitants of Ai. Israel took the loot and the livestock of that city for themselves, as the Lord had commanded Joshua. So Joshua burned Ai and made it a deserted mound of ruins. It is still in ruins today. Joshua hung the king of Ai's dead body on a pole and left him there until evening. When the sun went down, Joshua gave the order to take his body down. They threw it in the entrance of the city and made a large pile of stones over it. That pile is still there today. At that time Joshua built an altar on Mount Ebal to the Lord God of Israel. He built an altar with uncut stones on which no iron chisels had been used. This was as the Lord's servant Moses had commanded the people of Israel in the book of Moses' teachings. They made burnt offerings to the Lord and sacrificed fellowship offerings on the altar. There in front of the people of Israel he wrote on stone slabs a copy of the teachings which Moses had written down. All the people of Israel, whether foreigners or native Israelites, the leaders, officers, and judges, were standing on opposite sides of the ark. They faced the Levitical priests who carried the ark of the Lord's promise. Half of the people were in front of Mount Gerizim, and the other half in front of Mount Ebal. Right from the beginning, the Lord's servant Moses had commanded the priests to bless the people of Israel this way. Afterwards, Joshua read all the teachings, the blessings and curses, as they had all been written down by Moses. Joshua read Moses' teachings in front of the whole assembly of Israel, including women, children, and foreigners living among them. He did not leave out one word from everything Moses had commanded. Joshua chapter 9 When all the kings west of the Jordan River heard about these events, they joined together to fight Joshua in Israel. They were the kings in the mountains, the foothills, and along the whole Mediterranean coast as far as Lebanon, the kings of the Hittites, Amorites, Canaanites, Perizzites, Hivites, and Jebusites. When the people living in Gibeon heard what Joshua had done to Jericho and Ai, they devised a scheme. They posed as messengers. They took worn-out sacks on their donkeys. Their wineskins were old, split, and patched. 
Their sandals were worn out and repaired, and their clothes were tattered. All their bread was dried out and crumbling. They came to Joshua in the camp at Gilgal. They told Joshua and the men of Israel, We have come from a distant country. Make a treaty with us right now. The men of Israel said to the Hivites, What if you're living in this area? We wouldn't be able to make a treaty with you. They responded to Joshua, We're at your mercy. Joshua asked them, Who are you, and where did you come from? They answered him, We came from a country very far away, because the Lord your God has become famous. We heard stories about him and everything he did in Egypt. We also heard everything he did to the two kings of the Amorites east of the Jordan, King Sihon of Heshbon and King Og of Bashan in Ashtoreth. Our leaders and everyone who lives in our country told us, Take what you need for the trip and go meet them. Tell them, We're at your mercy. Make a treaty with us right now. Our bread was warm when we left home to meet with you. Look at it now. It's dry and crumbling. These were new wineskins when we filled them. Look at them now. See how they are splitting. Our clothes and sandals are also worn out because we have come such a long way. The men believed the evidence they were shown, but they did not ask the Lord about it. So Joshua made peace with them by making a treaty which allowed them to live. The leaders of the congregation swore to it with an oath. But three days after the treaty was made, the Israelites heard that these people were their neighbors and lived with them. The Israelites broke camp. They came to the cities of Gibeon, Shephirah, Beeroth, and Kiriath-Jerim two days later. The Israelites didn't destroy these other people because the leaders of the congregation had sworn an oath about them to the Lord God of Israel. The whole congregation complained about the leaders, but all the leaders said to them, We have sworn an oath about them to the Lord God of Israel, so we cannot touch them now. We must let them live to avoid the Lord's anger because of the oath we swore. The leaders said that they should be allowed to live, so they became woodcutters and water carriers for the whole congregation, as the leaders had said. Joshua sent for the people of Gibeon and asked, Why did you deceive us by saying, We live very far away from you, when you live here with us? You are under a curse now. You will always be servants. You will be woodcutters and water carriers for the house of my God. They answered Joshua, We were told that the Lord your God commanded his servant Moses to give you the whole land and destroy all who live there. We deceived you because we feared for our lives. Now we're at your mercy. Do to us what you think is good and right. So Joshua rescued them and did not let the people of Israel kill them. But that day Joshua made them woodcutters and water carriers for the congregation. They served the Lord's altar wherever he chose to put it. They still serve today. Joshua chapter 10. King Adonai Zedek of Jerusalem heard that Joshua had captured Ai and claimed it for the Lord the same way he had destroyed Jericho and its king. He also heard that the people of Gibeon had made peace with the people of Israel and were living with them. He and his people were terribly afraid because Gibeon was a large city. It was like one of the royal cities, larger than Ai. All its men were warriors. So King Adonai Zedek of Jerusalem sent this message to King Hoham of Hebron, King Pyram of Jarmuth, King Japhia of Lachish, and King Debir of Eglon. Come help me destroy Gibeon, because it has made peace with Joshua and the people of Israel. So the five Amorite kings of Jerusalem, Hebron, Jarmuth, Lachish, and Eglon, combined their armies. They marched to Gibeon, camped there, and attacked it. The men of Gibeon sent this message to Joshua at the camp in Gilgal. Don't abandon us. Come quickly and save us. Help us, because all the Amorite kings who live in the mountains have united against us. So Joshua, with all his soldiers and best warriors, set out from Gilgal. 
The Lord told Joshua, Don't be afraid of them. I have handed them over to you. None of them can stand up to you. So Joshua marched all night from Gilgal and took them by surprise. The Lord threw the enemy into disorder in front of Israel and defeated them decisively at Gibeon. He chased them along the road that goes to the slope of Beth Horon and continued to defeat them all the way to Azekah and Makedah. As they fled from the Israelites down the slope of Beth Horon toward Azekah, the Lord threw huge hailstones on them. More died from the hailstones than from Israelite swords. The day the Lord handed the Amorites over to the people of Israel, Joshua spoke to the Lord while Israel was watching. Sun, stand still over Gibeon, and moon, stand still over the valley of Aijalon. The sun stood still, and the moon stopped, until a nation got revenge on its enemies. Isn't this recorded in the book of Jashar? The sun stopped in the middle of the sky, and for nearly a day the sun was in no hurry to set. Never before or after this day was there anything like it. The Lord did what a man told him to do, because the Lord fought for Israel. Then Joshua and all Israel returned to the camp at Gilgal. The five kings ran away and hid in the cave at Makedah. Someone told Joshua, The five kings have been found. They are hiding in the cave at Makedah. Joshua replied, Roll large stones against the mouth of the cave, and post a guard there. But don't stop. Chase your enemies. Cut off their rear guard. Don't let them get back into their own cities, because the Lord your God has handed them over to you. Joshua and the Israelites defeated them decisively, almost destroying them. But some who survived got back into the fortified cities. Then the whole army returned safely to Joshua in the camp at Makedah. Not a single person dared to speak against any of the Israelites. Joshua said, Open the cave and bring me the five kings. So they brought him the kings of Jerusalem, Hebron, Jarmuth, Lachish, and Eglon. When they brought them to Joshua, he called for all the men of Israel. He told the officers who had gone with him, Come forward and put your feet on the necks of these kings. So that's what they did. Joshua told them, Don't be afraid or terrified. Be strong and courageous, because this is what the Lord will do to all the enemies you're fighting against. After this, Joshua put them to death and hung their bodies on five poles until evening. When the sun went down, Joshua gave the order to take them down from the poles. Then they threw them into the cave where they had been hiding and put large stones over the mouth of the cave. These stones are still there today. That same day, Joshua captured Makedah, and the Israelites killed its people and king with swords. He claimed them for the Lord by destroying them. There were no survivors. He did the same thing to the king of Makedah that he had done to the king of Jericho. Joshua and all Israel marched from Makedah to Libna and attacked it. The Lord also handed Libna and its king over to Israel. He killed all the people. There were no survivors. He did the same thing to the king of Libna that he had done to the king of Jericho. Joshua and all Israel marched from Libna to Lachish, camped there, and attacked it. The Lord handed Lachish over to Israel. He captured it on the next day and killed all the people the same way he had captured Libna. At that time, King Horam of Gezer had come to help Lachish, but Joshua killed him and his troops. There were no survivors. Joshua and all Israel marched from Lachish to Eglon, camped there, and attacked it. They captured it that day and killed everyone in it. He claimed it for the Lord by destroying it the same way he had destroyed Lachish. Then Joshua and all Israel marched from Eglon to Hebron and attacked it. They captured it and its neighboring villages and killed its king and all the people. There were no survivors. The same as at Eglon. He claimed the city and all its people for the Lord by destroying them. Then Joshua and all Israel went back to Debir and attacked it. 
He captured it and its king and all its neighboring villages and killed everyone. So they claimed them all for the Lord by destroying them. There were no survivors. He did the same thing to Debir and its king that he had done to Hebron and Libna and their kings. So Joshua captured the whole land, the mountains, the Negev, the foothills and the slopes. There were no survivors. He claimed every living creature for the Lord by destroying it as the Lord God of Israel had commanded. So Joshua defeated the people from Kadesh Barnea to Gaza and from all the country of Goshen as far as Gibeon. Joshua captured all these kings and their territories in one campaign, because the Lord God of Israel fought for Israel. Then Joshua and all Israel returned to the camp at Gilgal. Joshua chapter 11. King Jabin of Hazor heard what had happened. So he sent messengers to King Jobab of Madon and to the kings of Shimron and Akshaf. He also sent messengers to the northern kings in the mountains, the plain south of Chinaroth, the foothills, and Naphoth-dor in the west, the Canaanites from east and west, the Amorites, Hittites, Perizzites, the Jebusites in the mountains, and the Hivites at the foot of Mount Hermon in Mizpah. They came out with all their armies. Their troops were as numerous as the grains of sand on the seashore. They also had horses and chariots. All these kings camped together by the springs of Merom in order to fight Israel. The Lord told Joshua, Don't be afraid of them, because I am going to give them to Israel. About this time tomorrow they will all be dead. You must disable their horses, so that they cannot be used in battle. You must burn their chariots. Joshua and all his troops arrived suddenly at the springs of Merom and attacked the Canaanite armies. The Lord handed them over to Israel, and the Israelites defeated them. The Israelites chased them as far as Great Sidon, Misrephoth, Maim, and the valley of Mizpah in the east. There were no survivors. Joshua disabled their horses and burned their chariots, as the Lord had told him. Then Joshua turned back and captured Hazor. He killed its king with a sword. Hazor was formerly the head of all these kingdoms. They claimed everyone for the Lord by destroying them with swords. Not one person survived. Joshua also burned Hazor. So Joshua captured all these cities and their kings. He claimed them for the Lord by destroying them, as the Lord's servant Moses had commanded him. Israel did not burn cities built on mounds. However, Joshua made an exception and burned Hazor. The people of Israel took all the loot and livestock from these cities, but they put everyone to death until they were all destroyed. Not one person survived. So Joshua carried out what the Lord had commanded his servant Moses and what Moses had commanded him. He did not leave out anything the Lord had commanded Moses. Joshua took all this land, the mountains, all the Negev, all the land of Goshen, the foothills, the plains, and the mountains and foothills of Israel. The land extended from Mount Halach, which ascends to Seir as far as Baal Gad in the Lebanon Valley at the foot of Mount Hermon. He captured all their kings and killed them. Joshua waged war with all these kings for a long time. Not one city had made a peace treaty with the people of Israel except Gibeon, where the Hivites lived. Israel captured everything in battle. The Lord made their enemies stubborn enough to continue fighting against Israel so that he could claim them all for destruction without mercy, as he had commanded Moses. At that time Joshua also wiped out the people of Anak in the mountains, in Hebron, Debir, and Anab, and in all the hills of Judah in Israel. Joshua claimed them for the Lord by destroying them and their cities. None of the people of Anak remained in Israel. Some of them were left in Gaza, Gath, and Ashdod. Joshua captured the whole land as the Lord had promised Moses. He gave it to Israel as a possession, dividing it among the tribes. So the land had peace. Joshua chapter 12. 
These are the kings of the land east of the Jordan River that the people of Israel defeated. Israel also took possession of their lands from the Arnon Valley to Mount Hermon and all the eastern plains. Sihon was the Amorite king who lived in Heshbon. His rule extended from Ahorair on the edge of the Arnon Valley to the Jabbok River, which is the border of Ammon. This included the middle of the valley and half of Gilead. It included the eastern plains from the Sea of Galilee to the Sea of the Plains, the Dead Sea, and the road that goes south from Beth Jeshemoth to the foot of the slopes of Pisgah. The territory of King Og of Bashan, who lived in Ashtaroth and Edrei, was captured. He was the last of the Rephaim. He ruled Mount Hermon, Salekah, all of Bashan to the border of Jeshur and Maakah, and half of Gilead to the border of King Sihon of Heshbon. The Lord's servant Moses and the people of Israel defeated them. Then he gave their land as a possession to the tribes of Reuben and Gad and half of the tribe of Manasseh. These are the kings of the land west of the Jordan River that Joshua and the people of Israel defeated. Their lands extended from Baal Gad in the valley of Lebanon to Mount Halak, which rises toward Seir. Joshua gave it as a possession to Israel, dividing it among the tribes. It included the mountains, foothills, plains, slopes, desert, and the Negev that the Hittites, Amorites, Canaanites, Perizzites, Hivites, and Jebusites had possessed. The kings were the king of Jericho, the king of Ai, near Bethel, the king of Jerusalem, the king of Hebron, the king of Jarmuth, the king of Lachish, the king of Eglon, the king of Gezer, the king of Debir, the king of Geder, the king of Homa, the king of Arad, the king of Libna, the king of Adulam, the king of Makeda, the king of Bethel, the king of Tapua, the king of Hefer, the king of Aphek, the king of Sharon, the king of Madon, the king of Hazor, the king of Shimron Meron, the king of Akshaf, the king of Taanach, the king of Megiddo, the king of Kadesh, the king of Jokniam in Carmel, the king of Dor in Naphoth Dor, the king of Goim in Gilgal, the king of Tirzah. The total was thirty-one kings. Joshua chapter 13. Joshua was old near the end of his life. So the Lord said to him, You are old near the end of your life, and there is a lot of land left to be conquered. The land that is left includes all the districts that belong to the Philistines and Geshur. It extends from the Shehor River east of Egypt northward as far as the border of Ekron. This is considered to be Canaanite territory, even though there are five Philistine rulers over Gaza, Ashdod, Ashkelon, Gath, and Ekron, as well as the Avim people in the south. This territory includes all the land of the Canaanites, as well as Merah, which belongs to Sidon, as far as Afek, the Amorite border. It also includes the land of the people of Gebal, all Lebanon eastward from Baal Gad, at the foot of Mount Hermon, to the border of Hamath. I will force out of the way of the people of Israel everyone who lives in the mountains from Lebanon to Mishraphoth, Maim, and all the people of Sidon. However, you must distribute the land as an inheritance to Israel by drawing lots, as I commanded you. So divide this land. It will be an inheritance for the nine tribes and half of the tribe of Manasseh. The tribes of Reuben and Gad with half of the tribe of Manasseh had received their inheritance east of the Jordan River since the Lord's servant Moses had already given it to them. The border extended from Aroer on the edge of the Arnon Valley, including the city in the middle of the valley, and the whole plateau from Mediba to Debon. It included all the cities of King Sihon of the Amorites up to the border of Ammon. Sihon's capital was Heshbon. It also included Gilead, the territory of the people of Geshur and Maakath, all of Mount Hermon, and all of Bashan as far as Salekah, the whole kingdom of Og in Bashan. Og ruled in Ashtaroth and Edrei. 
He was the last of the Rephaim. Moses had defeated them and forced them out. But the Israelites did not force out the people of Geshur and Maacah, so they live in Israel today. Moses did not give any land as an inheritance to the tribe of Levi. The sacrifices offered to the Lord God of Israel are what the Levites inherited as the Lord had promised them. Moses gave some land as an inheritance to the tribe of Reuben for their families. Their territory extended from Aroer on the edge of the Arnon Valley, including the city in the middle of the valley and the whole plateau near Medeba. It included Heshbon and all its cities on the plateau, Dibon, Bamoth Baal, Beth Baal Meon, Jahaz, Kedemoth, Mephaz, Kiriathaim, Sibma, Zereth Shahar on the mountain in the valley, Beth Peor, the slopes of Pisgah, and Beth Jeshemoth. It also included all the cities of the plateau, the whole kingdom of King Sihon of the Amorites, who ruled in Heshbon. Moses defeated him and Midian's leaders, Evi, Rechem, Zur, Hur, and Reba. They were princes of Sihon who lived in that country. Along with these leaders, the people of Israel also killed Balaam, son of Beor, who used black magic. The border of Reuben's territory was the Jordan River. This was Reuben's inheritance for its families. It included cities with their villages. Moses gave some land as an inheritance to the tribe of God for its families. Their territory included Jazer, all the cities of Gilead, and half of Ammon as far as Aroer, which is by Rabbah. It extended from Heshbon to Ramoth Mizpah and Betonim, and from Mahanaim as far as the border of Lidbir. In the Jordan Valley it included Beth Haram, Beth Nimrah, Succoth, and Zaphon, the rest of the kingdom of King Sahon of Heshbon. The Jordan River served as its western border, extending to the end of the Sea of Galilee. This was God's inheritance for its families. It included cities with their villages. Moses gave some land as an inheritance to half of the tribe of Manasseh. It was only for the families of that half of the tribe. Their territory extended from Mahanaim and included all of Bashan, the whole kingdom of King Og of Bashan, and all sixty settlements of Jair that were in Bashan. It also included half of Gilead with Ashtaroth and Edrei, the royal cities of Og and Bashan. They were given to half of the families of Machir, son of Manasseh, for their inheritance. This is the land that Moses distributed on Moab's plains east of the Jordan River near Jericho. Moses did not give any land as an inheritance to the tribe of Levi. The Lord God of Israel is what they inherited, as he had promised them. Joshua chapter 14. This is the land that the people of Israel inherited in Canaan. The priest Eleazar, Joshua son of Nun, and the heads of Israel's tribes distributed to the people. The land inherited by the nine and a half tribes was determined by drawing lots, as the Lord had commanded through Moses. Moses had given the two and a half tribes their inheritance east of the Jordan River. He did not give any land as an inheritance to Levi's tribe, because Joseph's descendants, Manasseh and Ephraim, formed two tribes. The Levites were not given a share of the land. Joseph's descendants gave the Levites cities to live in with pasture lands for their cattle and everything they had. So the people of Israel divided the land as the Lord had commanded. Then the people of Judah came to Joshua at Gilgal, Caleb, son of Jephunneh, and grandson of Kenaz, said to him, You know what the Lord said to Moses, the man of God, at Kadesh Barnea, about you and me. I was forty years old when the Lord's servant Moses sent me from Kadesh Barnea to explore the land. I reported to him exactly what I thought. But my companions discouraged the people. However, I was completely loyal to the Lord my God. On that day Moses swore this oath. The land your feet walked on will be a permanent inheritance for you and your descendants 
because you were completely loyal to the Lord my God. So look at me. The Lord has kept me alive as he promised. It's been 45 years since Israel wandered in the desert when the Lord made this promise to Moses. So now look at me today. I'm 85 years old. I'm still as fit to go to war now as I was when Moses sent me out. Now give me this mountain region which the Lord spoke of that day. You heard that the people of Anak are still there and that they have large fortified cities. If the Lord is with me, I can force them out as he promised. So Joshua blessed Caleb, son of Jephunneh, and gave him Hebron as his inheritance. Hebron is still the inheritance of Caleb, son of Jephunneh, and grandson of Kenaz, because Caleb was completely loyal to the Lord God of Israel. In the past, Hebron was called Kiriath Arba. Arba was the greatest man among the people of Anak, so the land had peace. Joshua chapter 15. The lot was drawn for the families of the tribe of Judah. Their territory extends as far south as the territory of Edom and the desert of Zin. The southern border starts from the south end of the Dead Sea and goes south of the Akrabim Pass. It then passes Zin and goes up south of Kadesh Barnea. From there it goes to Hezron, up to Adar, around to Karka, and on to Asmon. It comes out at the river of Egypt so that the border ends at the Mediterranean Sea. This is the southern border. The eastern border is the Dead Sea, as far north as the mouth of the Jordan River. The northern border starts from the north end of the Dead Sea, at the mouth of the Jordan, and goes up to Beth Hogla. It then passes north to Beth Araba and goes up to the rock of Bohan, son of Reuben. From the valley of Akor, the border goes up to Debir and turns north to the region that faces the Adumim Pass, south of the valley. Then the border passes the springs of En Shemesh and ends at En Rogel. It continues up the valley of Ben Hinnom to the south slope of the Jebusite city Jerusalem. It then goes to the top of the mountain that overlooks the valley of Hinnom to the west at the north end of the valley of Rephaim. From the top of that mountain, the border goes around to the spring of Nephtoah. From there it goes to the cities of Mount Ephron and around to Baala, now called Kiriath-Jerim. From Baala, the border turns west to Mount Seir and over to the north slope of Mount Jerim, now called Cheshelon. Then it goes down to Beth Shemesh and on to Timnah. From there the border goes on the north side of Ekron and turns to Shikaron, on to Mount Baala and comes out at Jabniel. The border ends at the Mediterranean Sea. The western border is the coastline of the Mediterranean Sea. These are the borders around Judah that belong to their families. Joshua gave Caleb, son of Jephunneh, a share of land among the people of Judah, as the Lord had told them. It was Kiriath Arba, now called Hebron. Arba was the father of Anak. Caleb forced out Sheshai, Ahiman, and Talmai, three descendants of Anak, from Hebron. From there he marched against the people living in Debir. In the past, Debir was called Curios Sefer. Caleb said, I will give my daughter Aksa as a wife to anyone who attacks Curios Sefer and captures it. Then Othniel, son of Caleb's brother Kenaz, captured it. So Caleb gave him his daughter Aksa as a wife. When she came to Othniel, she persuaded him to ask her father for a field. When she got down from her donkey, Caleb asked her, What do you want? She answered, Give me a blessing. Since you've given me some dry land, also give me some springs. So Caleb gave her the upper and lower springs. This is the land inherited by the families of the tribe of Judah. On the farthest edge of the Negev, on the border of Edom, they gave the tribe of Judah twenty-nine cities with their villages, Kabzeel, Eder, Jagur, Kina, Dimona, Adada, Kedesh, Hazor, Ithnan, Zif, Telem, Bialoth, Hazor, Hadata, 
Kiryot Hezron, now called Hazor, Amam, Shema, Moleda, Hazar Gada, Heshmon, Beth Pelet, Hazar Shual, Bir Sheba, Biziothia, Baala, Im, Ezem, El Tolad, Chezil, Homa, Ziklag, Madmana, Sansana, Lebaoth, Shilhim, Ain, and Ramon. In the foothills they gave Judah fourteen cities with their villages, Eshtaol, Zorah, Ashna, Zanoah, En, Ganim, Tapua, Enam, Jamuth, Adulam, Soko, Azekah, Sha'araim, Adithaim, Gederah, and Gederothaim. They also gave Judah sixteen other cities with their villages, Zinan, Hadasha, Migdalgad, Dilian, Mispah, Jokthil, Lachish, Boska, Eglon, Kabon, Lamos, Chitlish, Gederoth, Bethdagon, Naama, and Makeda. An additional nine cities with their villages were given to Judah, Libna, Ather, Ashan, Ifta, Ashna, Nezib, Keila, Akzib, and Marisha. Judah also received Ekron with its cities and villages. This included all the cities with their villages between Ekron and the Mediterranean Sea and alongside Ashdod. Added to this were Ashdod and Gaza with their cities and villages as far as the river of Egypt and the coast of the Mediterranean Sea. In the mountains they gave Judah eleven cities with their villages, Shamir, Jatir, Soko, Dana, Kiryasana, now called Debir, Anab, Eshtemo, Anim, Goshen, Holan, and Gilo. They also gave Judah nine other cities with their villages, Arab, Duma, Eshan, Janim, Bethtapua, Afeka, Humta, Kiriath Abba, now called Hebron, and Zior. They also received another ten cities with their villages, Maon, Carmel, Zif, Juta, Jezreel, Jokdiam, Zanoa, Cain, Gibeah, and Timna. Hachul, Bethzur, Gedor, Maarath, Bethanoth, and Eltekon were six other cities with their villages that were given to Judah. The two cities of Kiriath Baal, now called Kiriath Jirim, and Rabbah with their villages were given to Judah. In the desert, Judah was given six cities with their villages, Beth Araba, Midin, Sekaka, Nibshan, Ir Hamela, and Engedi. However, Judah was not able to force out the people of Jebus who lived in Jerusalem, so they still live with Judah in Jerusalem today. Joshua chapter 16. The lot was drawn for Joseph. The border of Joseph's territory goes from the Jordan River at Jericho to the springs of Jericho on the east, through the desert that goes up from Jericho, and through the mountains to Bethel. From Bethel the border goes to Luz, and over to Ataroth at the border of the Archites. Then it descends west to the border of Japhlet and lower Bethoron, on to Gezer, and ends at the Mediterranean Sea. So Joseph's sons, Manasseh and Ephraim, received this land as their inheritance. This is the territory for the families descended from Ephraim. The eastern border of the land they inherited is from Ataroth Adar to Upper Bethoron. From there the border goes west with Mikmethath on the north. The border then turns east to Ta'anath Shiloh and passes east to Janawa. From Janawa it descends to Ataroth and Naara, touches Jericho and ends at the Jordan River. At Tapua the border goes west along the Kana River and ends at the Mediterranean Sea. This is the land given as an inheritance to the families of the tribe of Ephraim, with all the cities and their villages selected from Ephraim in Manasseh's territory. However, they did not force out the Canaanites who lived in Gezer. So the Canaanites still live in Ephraim today, but they are required to do forced labor. Joshua chapter 17. The lot was drawn for the tribe of Manasseh, because Manasseh was Joseph's firstborn. 
Machir, Manasseh's firstborn, the ancestor of the people living in Gilead, had received Gilead and Bashan because he was a soldier. The land was given to the rest of the families descended from Manasseh, to the descendants of Abiezer, Helek, Azriel, Shechem, Hefer, and Shemida. These were the male descendants of Joseph's son Manasseh listed by their families. Zelophehad, son of Hefer, grandson of Gilead, and great-grandson of Machir, whose father was Manasseh, had no sons, only daughters. Their names were Mala, Noah, Hogla, Milka, and Tirzah. They came to the priest Eleazar, Joshua, son of Nun, and the leaders. They said, The Lord commanded Moses to give us some land as an inheritance among our male relatives. So they gave them an inheritance among their father's relatives, as the Lord had required. Ten portions of land went to Manasseh, besides the land of Gilead and Bashan, east of the Jordan River. These portions were distributed because Manasseh's daughters were given an inheritance, along with his sons, while Gilead belonged to Manasseh's other descendants. Manasseh's border extends from Asher to Michmethoth, which faces Shechem. Then the border goes south toward the people who live in Entapua. The land of Tapua belongs to Manasseh, but Tapua itself, on the border of Manasseh, belongs to Ephraim. The border then descends southward to the Kana River. These cities belong to Ephraim, although they are among Manasseh's cities. Manasseh's southern border is the river, which ends at the Mediterranean Sea. What is south of the river belongs to Ephraim, and what is north of it belongs to Manasseh. So the Mediterranean Sea is its western border, Asher its northern border, and Issachar its eastern border. In Issachar and Asher, Manasseh possessed Beth Shean and Ibliam with their villages and the people living in Dor, Endor, Taanach, and Megiddo and their villages. The last three are on mountain ridges. But Manasseh was not able to take possession of these cities since the Canaanites were determined to stay in this land. When the Israelites became strong enough, they made the Canaanites do forced labor since they didn't force all of them out. Joseph's descendants asked Joshua, why did you give us only one region for an inheritance? We have a lot of people, because the Lord has blessed us. Joshua replied, If there are so many of you, go into the forest. Clear ground for yourselves there in the land of the Perizzites and Rephaim, if the mountains of Ephraim are too confining for you. Joseph's descendants responded, The mountains are not enough for us either. Besides, all the Canaanites living in the valley, in Beth Shean and its villages, and in the valley of Jezreel, have chariots made of iron. Then Joshua said to the descendants of Joseph, the tribes of Ephraim and Manasseh, You are an important and very powerful people. One region is really not enough for you. The mountain region will be yours as well. It is a forest, so you will have to clear it. All of it will be yours, but you must force out the Canaanites, even though they are strong and have chariots made of iron. Joshua chapter 18 The whole congregation of Israel gathered at Shiloh and set up the tent of meeting there. The land was under their control. There were still seven tribes in Israel who had not yet received any land as their inheritance. So Joshua asked the Israelites, How long are you going to waste time conquering the land which the Lord God of your ancestors has given you? Choose three men from each tribe, and I will send them out. They will survey the land and write a description of it which shows the borders of their inheritance. Then they will come back to me. They will divide the land into seven parts. Judah will stay within its territory in the south, and Joseph's descendants will stay within their territory in the north. You must describe the seven parts of the land and report to me here. I will draw lots for you here in the presence of the Lord our God. Levi's tribe has no separate region among you because their inheritance is to serve the Lord as priests. 
The tribes of Gad and Reuben and half of the tribe of Manasseh have received the inheritance that the Lord's servant Moses gave them on the east side of the Jordan River. As the men got ready to go, Joshua ordered them to write a description of the land. He said, Go survey the land, write a description of it, and return to me. Then I will draw lots for you in the presence of the Lord here in Shiloh. The men surveyed the land. They described it in a book. The land was divided into seven parts according to its cities. Then they returned to Joshua at the camp at Shiloh. So Joshua drew lots for them in the presence of the Lord in Shiloh. There Joshua divided the land among the tribes of Israel. The lot was drawn for the families of the tribe of Benjamin. Their territory lies between Judah's and Joseph's. Their northern border starts at the Jordan, goes up the slope north of Jericho, west through the mountains, and ends at the desert of beth -Aven. From there the border goes to the south slope of Luz, now called Bethel. Then the border goes down to Ataroth Adar, over the mountains south of lower Beth-Horon. The border turns and goes around on the west side, south of the mountain that faces Beth-Horon, and ends at Kiriath-Baal, now called Kiriath-Jerim, a city of Judah. The southern border begins just outside Kiriath-Jerim and goes west to the springs of Nephtoah. Then the border descends to the foot of the mountain that overlooks the valley of Ben-Hinnom, in the north end of the valley of Rephaim. It descends to the valley of Hinnom to the south slope of the city of Jebus and down to Enrogel. Then it turns north and goes to Enshemesh, and from there to the region opposite the Adumim Pass. It descends to the rock of Bohan, son of Reuben. Then it continues on to the north side of the slope, facing the plains and down into the plains. The border continues to the north slope of Beth Hogla and ends at the northern bay of the Dead Sea at the south end of the Jordan River. This is its southern border. The Jordan River is its eastern border. These are the borders surrounding the inheritance given to Benjamin for its families. These are the twelve cities with their villages that belong to the tribe of Benjamin for its families. Jericho, Beth-Hogla, Emek-Keziz, Beth-Araba, Zemaraim, Bethel, Avim, Para, Ophra, Chephar, Ammoni, Afni, and Geba. There were fourteen other cities with their villages, Gibeon, Ramah, Biroth, Mispah, Chephirah, Moza, Rechem, Irpil, Tarala, Zela, Elef, Jebus, now called Jerusalem, Gibeoth, and Kirath. This is Benjamin's inheritance for its families. Joshua chapter 19. The second lot was drawn for the families of the tribe of Simeon. Their inheritance was within Judah. In their inheritance they received thirteen cities and their villages, Beersheba, Sheba, Molada, Hazar, Shual, Bala, Ezem, El-Tolad, Bethul, Horma, Ziklag, Beth-Markaboth, Hazar-Suza, Beth-Labaoth, and Sharuhen. There were four other cities with their villages, Ain, Rimon, Ether, and Ashan. All the villages around these cities as far as Baalath-Bir and Ramath-Negev were also included. This is the inheritance of the tribe of Simeon for its families. Simeon's inheritance was a part of Judah's because Judah had more land than it needed. So Simeon received its inheritance inside Judah's borders. The third lot was drawn for the families descended from Zebulun. The border of their inheritance goes as far as Sarid. Toward the west, the border ascends to Maralah and touches Dabesheth and the river near Jokneam. But from Sarid, it turns directly east toward the border of Chisloth-Tabor onto Daberath, and then ascends toward Japhia. From there, it goes directly east to Gath-Hefer, Eth-Kazin, and Rimon, where it turns to Nia. 
There the border turns north to Hanathon and ends at the valley of Ifta-el. This also includes Kata, Nahalal, Shimron, Idala, and Bethlehem. There were twelve cities with their villages. These cities with their villages are the inheritance given to the families descended from Zebulun. The fourth lot was drawn from the families descended from Issachar. Their territory included Jezreel, Chesuloth, Shunem, Hafarim, Shion, Anaharath, Rebith, Kishion, Ebez, Remeth, En-Ganim, En-Hadah, and Beth-Pezez. The border touches Tabor, Shahazima, and Beth-Shemesh, and ends at the Jordan River. There were sixteen cities with their villages. These cities with their villages are the inheritance for the families of the tribe of Issachar. The fifth lot was drawn for the families of the tribe of Asher. Their territory included Helkath, Hali, Beten, Aksaf, Alamelech, Ahmad, and Mishal. The border touches Carmel and Shichor Libnath in the west. Then it turns east to Beth Dagon and touches Zebulun and the valley of Iftael in the north and goes to Beth Amek and Neiel. From there it goes northward to Kabul, Abdon, Rehob, Hamon, Kana, and as far as Great Sidon. Then it turns at Ramah and goes on to the fortified city of Tyre. The border then turns to Hosa and ends at the Mediterranean Sea. The territory includes Meheleb, Akzib, Uma, Akko, Efek, and Rehob. There were twenty-two cities with their villages. These cities with their villages are the inheritance for the families of the tribe of Asher. The sixth lot was drawn for the families descended from the tribe of Naphtali. Their border starts from Helef at the oak tree at Za'ananim. It continues to Adami Nekeb, Jebnil, to Lakum, and ends at the Jordan River. The border turns west to Asnoth Tabor and from there to Hukak. It touches Zebulun in the south, Asher in the west, and Judah in the east at the Jordan. The fortified cities were Zidim, Zerhamath, Rakath, Chinereth, Adama, Rama, Hazor, Kadesh, Edriai, and Hazor, Yiron, Migdal El, Horem, Bethanath, and Beth Shemeth. There were nineteen cities with their villages. These cities with their villages are the inheritance for the families of the tribe of Naphtali. The seventh lot was drawn for the families of the tribe of Dan. The territory of their inheritance included Zorah, Eshtaol, Ir Shemesh, Sha'al Labin, Aijalon, Ithla, Elon, Timna, Ekron, Elteke, Gibethon, Baala, Jehud, Beni Berak, Gathrimon, Mejarkan, and Rakon, with the border passing in front of Joppa. The border of Dan extended beyond them. Dan's descendants went up and attacked Leshem, captured it, and killed everyone there. They took it, settled there, and renamed the city Dan after their ancestor Dan. These cities with their villages are the inheritance for the families of the tribe of Dan. When they all had finally received the land they were to inherit, the people of Israel also gave land within their territory as an inheritance to Joshua, son of Nun. They gave him the city he asked for, as the Lord had instructed them to do. It was Timnath Serah in the mountains of Ephraim. He rebuilt the city and lived there. This is the land that the tribes of Israel drew by lot. The priest Eleazar, Joshua son of Nun, and the leaders of the families divided the land by drawing lots. They did this in Shiloh, in the presence of the Lord, at the entrance of the tent of meeting. So they finished dividing the land. Joshua chapter 20. The Lord said to Joshua, 
Tell the people of Israel, Now choose for yourselves the cities of refuge about which I spoke to you through Moses. Choose them so that anyone who unintentionally kills someone may run to them. They will be a place of refuge from any relative who can avenge the death. A person who kills someone accidentally can run to one of these cities. There he will stand at the entrance to the city where court is held and present his case to the leaders of that city. Then they will take him into their city and give him a place to live with them. If the relative who can avenge the death pursues him, the leaders must not hand him over to the relative because he didn't intend to kill the other person. He didn't even hate the person he killed. The accused person may remain in that city until he can stand trial in front of the congregation or until whoever is chief priest at that time dies. Then he may go back to his home in the city from which he ran away. Kedish in Galilee, in the mountains of Naphtali, Shechem in the mountains of Ephraim, and Kiriath Arba, now called Hebron, in the mountains of Judah, were chosen as cities of refuge. Bezer on the desert plateau from the tribe of Reuben, Ramoth and Gilead from the tribe of Gad, and Golan in Bashan from the tribe of Manasseh were chosen as cities of refuge on the east side of the Jordan River, east of Jericho. These are the cities chosen as cities of refuge for all Israelites, including the foreigners living among them. Anyone who accidentally kills someone may escape to these cities. Then he will not be handed over to the relative who can avenge a death before he stands trial in front of the congregation. Joshua chapter 21. Then the leaders of the families of Levi came to the priest Eleazar, to Joshua son of Nun, and to the leaders of the families of the other Israelite tribes at Shiloh in Canaan. They said to them, The Lord commanded through Moses that we should receive cities to live in and pasture lands for our livestock. So, as the Lord had instructed, Levi's descendants were given the following cities with pasture lands from the Israelites' inheritance. These are the cities for the families of Kohath that were chosen by drawing lots. These descendants of the priest Aaron, the Levite, received thirteen cities from the tribes of Judah, Simeon, and Benjamin. The rest of Kohath's descendants received ten cities from the families of the tribes of Ephraim and Dan, and half of the tribe of Manasseh. Gershon's descendants received thirteen cities from the families of the tribes of Issachar, Asher, Naphtali, and half the tribe of Manasseh in Bashan. Marari's descendants received twelve cities for their families from the tribes of Reuben, Gad, and Zebulun. The Israelites gave these cities with pasture lands to Levi's descendants by drawing lots, as the Lord had commanded through Moses. These are the names of the cities from the tribes of Judah and Simeon that they gave Aaron's descendants who were from the families of Kohath in the tribe of Levi. Their lot was the first one drawn. They gave them Kiriath Arba, Arba was Anak's father, and the pasture land around it. This is the city of Hebron located in the mountains of Judah, but they gave its fields and villages to Caleb, son of Jephunneh, as his possession. So they gave the following cities with pasture lands to the descendants of Aaron, the priest, the nine cities from those two tribes were Hebron, a city of refuge for murderers, Libna, Jatir, Estemoa, Holan, Debir, Ain, Jutah, and Beth Shemesh. The tribe of Benjamin also gave them four cities, Gibeon, Geba, Anathoth, and Almon. In all, thirteen cities with pasture lands were given to the priests, the descendants of Aaron. Cities were chosen by Lot from the tribe of Ephraim to give to the rest of Levi's descendants who were from the families of Kohath. These four cities with pasture lands were Shechem, a city of refuge for murderers in the mountains of Ephraim, Gezer, Kibzaim, and Bethoron. The tribe of Dan gave them four cities, El Teke, Gibbethon, Aijolon, and Gathramon. 
Half of the tribe of Manasseh gave them two cities with pasture lands, Taanach and Gathramon. In all, ten cities with pasture lands were given to the rest of the families of Kohath. They gave the families of Gershon's descendants who were in the tribe of Levi two cities with pasture lands from half of the tribe of Manasseh, Golan in Bashan, a city of refuge for murderers, and Ashtaroth. Four cities with pasture lands were also given to them from the tribe of Issachar, Kishion, Dabarath, Jarmuth, and En-Ganim. Another four cities with pasture lands were given to them from the tribe of Asher, Mishol, Abdon, Helkath, and Rehob. Also three cities with pasture lands were given to them from the tribe of Naphtali, Kadesh in Galilee, a city of refuge for murderers, Hamuthdor, and Kartan. In all, thirteen cities with pasture lands were given to Gershon's families. To the families of Morari, who were from the tribe of Levi, the tribe of Zebulun gave four cities with pasture lands, Jokniam, Karta, Dimna, and Nahalal. The tribe of Reuben also gave them four cities with pasture lands, Bezer, Jahaz, Kedemoth, and Mephath. The tribe of God also gave them four cities with pasture lands, Ramoth and Gilead, a city of refuge for murderers, Mahanaim, Heshbon, and Jazer. All these cities belonged to the families of Merari. They were the last of the families of Levi. These twelve cities were chosen by Lot. Within the territory owned by the Israelites, there were forty-eight cities in all four Levi's descendants. Each of these cities had its own pasture land around it. So the Lord gave Israel the whole land he had sworn to give their ancestors. They took possession of it and settled there. The Lord allowed them to have peace on every side, as he had sworn with an oath to their ancestors. Not one of their enemies stood up to them. The Lord handed all their enemies over to them. Every single good promise that the Lord had given the nation of Israel came true. Joshua chapter 22. Joshua summoned the tribes of Reuben and Gad and half of the tribe of Manasseh. He said to them, You have done everything the Lord's servant Moses commanded you. You have also obeyed me in everything I commanded you. All this time, to this day, you have never deserted your relatives. You have carefully kept the commands of the Lord your God. Now the Lord your God has given your relatives peace as he promised them. So return home to the land that is your own possession. It is the land that the Lord's servant Moses gave you east of the Jordan River. Carefully follow the commands and teachings that the Lord's servant Moses gave you. Love the Lord your God, follow his directions, and keep his commands. Be loyal to him, and serve him with all your heart and soul. Then Joshua blessed them. He sent them on their way, and they went to their homes. Moses had given land in Bashan as an inheritance to half of Manasseh, and Joshua had given the other half of the tribe their land with their relatives west of the Jordan. When Joshua sent them home, he blessed them. He also said to them, Return to your homes with your vast wealth, large herds of livestock, silver, gold, bronze, iron, and loads of clothing. Divide the loot from your enemies with your relatives. So the tribes of Reuben and Gad and half of the tribe of Manasseh left the rest of the Israelites at Shiloh and Canaan. They returned to Gilead. This was their own possession, which they had captured as the Lord had instructed them through Moses. Reuben, Gad, and half of the tribe of Manasseh came to the region of the Jordan that was still in Canaan. They built an altar by the Jordan River. The altar was very large and highly visible. The rest of the Israelites heard about it and said, See there, Reuben, Gad, and half of the tribe of Manasseh have built an altar at the border of Canaan. It is in the region near the Jordan River on Israel's side. When the people of Israel heard about it, the whole congregation of Israel gathered at Shiloh. 
They intended to wage war against them. The Israelites sent Phinehas, son of the priest Eleazar, to the tribes of Reuben and Gad and half of the tribe of Manasseh in Gilead. Ten leaders, one from each tribe in Israel, went with him. Each man was a leader of a household and head of a family division in Israel. When they arrived, these leaders said to the people of Gilead, All of the Lord's congregation is asking, What is this faithless act you have committed against the God of Israel? Today you have turned away from following the Lord by building an altar for yourselves. Today you have rebelled against the Lord. Does the sin we committed at Peor mean nothing to us any more? Didn't we cleanse ourselves from it? Because of that sin, there was a plague on the Lord's congregation. You have turned away from following the Lord. Today you rebel against the Lord, and tomorrow He will be angry with the whole congregation of Israel. If your land is unclean, come over here to the Lord's land. The Lord's tent is standing here. Take some property for yourselves among us. Don't rebel against the Lord or against us by building an altar for yourselves in addition to the altar of the Lord our God. Didn't Achan, son of Zerah, act faithlessly with the things claimed by the Lord? Didn't the Lord become angry with the whole congregation of Israel? Achan wasn't the only one who died because of his sin. Then the tribes of Reuben and Gad and half of the tribe of Manasseh answered the heads of the division of Israel. They said, The Lord is the only true God. The Lord is the only true God. He knows, so let Israel know. If our act is rebellious or unfaithful to the Lord, don't spare us today. If we built an altar with the intention of no longer following Him, and if we built it for making burnt offerings, grain offerings, or fellowship offerings, let the Lord punish us. We were worried because of the situation we're in. We thought sometime in the future your children might say to our children, What relationship do you have with the Lord God of Israel? The Lord has made the Jordan River a dividing line between us and you, the descendants of Reuben and Gad. You have no connection with the Lord, so your descendants would stop our descendants from worshiping the Lord. Then we said, Let's build an altar for ourselves. It will not be for burnt offerings or sacrifices, but it will stand as a witness between us for generations to come. It will stand as a witness that we may worship in the presence of the Lord with our burnt offerings, sacrifices, and fellowship offerings. Then your descendants cannot say to our descendants, You have no connection with the Lord. So we thought, If this statement is made to us or to our descendants in the future, we will answer, Look at the model of the Lord's altar our ancestors made. They didn't make it for burnt offerings or sacrifices, but to stand as a witness between us. It would be unthinkable for us to rebel against the Lord or to turn back today from following the Lord by building an altar for burnt offerings, grain offerings, or sacrifices in addition to the altar of the Lord our God that is in front of His tent. When the priest Phinehas, the leaders of the congregation, and the heads of the divisions of Israel heard what the tribes of Reuben, Gad, and Manasseh said, they were satisfied. Then Phinehas, son of the priest Eleazar, said to the tribes of Reuben, Gad, and Manasseh, Today we know the Lord is among us, because you did not commit an unfaithful act against the Lord. Now you have rescued the people of Israel from the Lord's punishment. Then Phinehas, son of the priest Eleazar, and the leaders returned from Reuben and Gad and Gilead to Israel and Canaan, and gave them the report. The people of Israel were satisfied with the report, so they praised God and didn't talk any more about going to war against Reuben and Gad and destroying the land where they were living. The tribes of Reuben and Gad gave the altar a name, witness between us that the Lord is the only true God. Joshua chapter 23. A long time afterward, the Lord gave the Israelites peace with all their enemies around them. Joshua was old, near the end of his life. 
So he called all the leaders, chiefs, judges, and officers of Israel together. He said to them, I am old, near the end of my life. You have seen for yourselves everything the Lord your God did to all those nations. The Lord your God fought for you. I have given you the territory of the nations that still remain as an inheritance for your tribes. This includes the territory of all the nations I have already destroyed from the Jordan River westward to the Mediterranean Sea. The Lord your God will expel them right in front of your eyes and force them out of your way. You will take their land as the Lord your God told you. Now you must be very strong to keep and to do everything written in the book of Moses' teachings. Don't turn away from them. Don't get mixed up with the nations left in your territory. Don't ever mention the names of their gods or swear an oath to them. Don't ever serve their gods or bow down to them. But you must be loyal to the Lord your God as you have been until now. The Lord has forced important and powerful nations out of your way. Not one person has ever been able to stand up to you. One of you used to chase a thousand. That was because the Lord your God was fighting for you, as he had promised you. Be very careful to love the Lord your God. But if you turn away and go along with the other nations within your borders, if you intermarry with them or associate with them, then you should know that the Lord your God will never again force these people out of your way. Instead, they will be a snare and a trap for you, a whip laid to your sides and thorns in your eyes until none of you are left in this good land that the Lord your God has given you. Pay attention, because I will soon die like everyone else. You know with all your heart and soul that not one single promise which the Lord your God has given you has ever failed to come true. Every single word has come true. Every good word the Lord your God has promised you has come true for you. In the same way, the Lord will bring about every evil curse until he has destroyed you from this good land that he has given you. When you ignore the conditions placed on you by the Lord your God and follow other gods, serve them and bow down to them, the Lord will be angry with you, then you will quickly disappear from the good land he has given you. Joshua chapter 24 Joshua gathered all the tribes of Israel together at Shechem. He called together Israel's leaders, chiefs, judges, and officers, and they presented themselves to God. Joshua said to all the people, This is what the Lord God of Israel says. Long ago your ancestors Terah and his sons Abraham and Nahor lived on the other side of the Euphrates River and served other gods. But I took your ancestor Abraham from the other side of the Euphrates River. I led him through all of Canaan and gave him many descendants. I also gave him Isaac. To Isaac I gave Jacob and Esau. I gave Esau the mountains in Seir as his own. However, Jacob and his sons went to Egypt. Then I sent Moses and Aaron, and I struck Egypt with plagues. Later I led you out. When I led your ancestors out of Egypt, you came to the sea. The Egyptians with their chariots and horsemen chased your ancestors to the Red Sea. When your ancestors cried out to the Lord, he put darkness between you and the Egyptians. He made the sea flow back and cover them. You saw for yourselves what I did to Egypt. Then you lived in the desert for a long time. After that I brought you to the land of the Amorites who lived on the east side of the Jordan River. They fought you. However, I handed them over to you. So you took their land, and I destroyed them in front of you. Then Balak, son of King Zippor of Moab, fought Israel. He summoned Balaam, son of Beor, to curse you. I refused to listen to Balaam. All he could do was bless you, so I saved you from his power. Then you crossed the Jordan River and came to Jericho. The citizens of Jericho, the Amorites, Perizzites, Canaanites, Hittites, Girgashites, Hivites, and Jebusites fought you. 
but I handed them over to you. I sent hornets ahead of you to force out the two kings of the Amorites ahead of you. These things didn't happen because of your battle skills or fighting ability. So I gave you a land that you hadn't farmed, cities to live in that you hadn't built, vineyards and olive groves that you hadn't planted. So you ate all you wanted. Fear the Lord, and serve Him with integrity and faithfulness. Get rid of the gods your ancestors served on the other side of the Euphrates River and in Egypt, and serve only the Lord. But if you don't want to serve the Lord, then choose today whom you will serve. Even if you choose the gods your ancestors served on the other side of the Euphrates, or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you live, my family and I will serve the Lord. The people responded, It would be unthinkable for us to abandon the Lord to serve other gods. The Lord our God brought us and our ancestors out of slavery in Egypt. He did these spectacular signs right before our eyes. He guarded us wherever we went, especially as we passed through other nations. The Lord forced out all the people ahead of us, including the Amorites who lived in this land. We too will serve the Lord because He is our God. But Joshua answered the people, Since the Lord is a holy God, you can't possibly serve Him. He is a God who does not tolerate rivals. He will not forgive your rebellious acts and sins. If you abandon the Lord and serve foreign gods, He will turn and bring disaster on you. He will destroy you, although He has been so good to you. The people answered Joshua, No, we will only serve the Lord. Joshua said to the people, You have testified that you have chosen to serve the Lord. They answered, Yes, we have. Get rid of the foreign gods that are among you. Turn yourselves entirely over to the Lord God of Israel. The people replied to Joshua, We will serve the Lord our God and obey Him. That day Joshua made an agreement for the people and set up laws and rules for them at Shechem. Joshua wrote these things in the book of God's teachings. Then he took a large stone and set it up under the oak tree at the Lord's holy place. Joshua told all the people, This stone will stand as a witness for us. It has heard all the words which the Lord spoke to us. It will stand as a witness for you. You cannot deceive your God. Then Joshua sent the people away, each to his own property. After these events, the Lord's servant Joshua, son of Nun, died. He was 110 years old. He was buried on his own land at Timnasser in the mountains of Ephraim, north of Mount Gash. Israel served the Lord as long as Joshua and the older leaders who outlived him and who knew everything the Lord had done for Israel were alive. Joseph's bones, which the people of Israel had brought from Egypt, were buried at Shechem. They were placed in the plot of ground Jacob had bought from the sons of Hamor, father of Shechem, for one hundred pieces of silver. The plot was inherited by Joseph's descendants. Aaron's son Eleazar also died. He was buried on the hill that had been given to his son Phinehas in the mountains of Ephraim. Judges chapter 1 After Joshua's death, the Israelites asked the Lord, Who will go first to fight the Canaanites for us? The Lord answered, Judah's troops will go first. I am about to hand the Canaanites over to you. The tribe of Judah said to the tribe of Simeon, Come with us into the territory given to us when we drew lots, and together we will fight the people of Canaan. Then we'll go with you into your territory. So the tribe of Simeon went along with Judah. Judah's troops went into battle, and the Lord handed the Canaanites and Perizzites over to them. They defeated ten thousand men of Bezek. At Bezek they also caught up with Adonai Bezek. They fought him and defeated the Canaanites and Perizzites. 
Adonai Bezek fled. Judah's troops chased him, caught him, and cut off his thumbs and big toes. Adonai Bezek said, Seventy kings who had their thumbs and big toes cut off used to pick up food under my table. God has paid me back for what I did to them. Judah's troops brought Adonai Bezek to Jerusalem where he died. The men of Judah attacked Jerusalem and captured it. They killed everyone there and set the city on fire. After that, the men of Judah went to fight the Canaanites who lived in the mountains, the Negev, and the foothills. Then they went to fight the Canaanites who lived at Hebron. In the past, Hebron was called Kiriath Arba. There they killed Sheshai, Achaman, and Talmai. From there, Judah's troops went to fight the people living at Debir. In the past, Debir was called Kiriath Sefer. Caleb said, I will give my daughter Aksa as a wife to whoever defeats Kiriath Sefer and captures it. Then Othniel, son of Caleb's younger brother Kenaz, captured it. So Caleb gave him his daughter Aksa as a wife. When she came to Othniel, she persuaded him to ask her father for a field. When she got down from her donkey, Caleb asked her, What do you want? She answered, Give me a blessing. Since you've given me some dry land, also give me some springs. So Caleb gave her the upper and lower springs. The descendants of Moses' father-in-law, the Kenite, went with the people of Judah from the city of Palms into the desert of Judah. There they lived with the people of Judah in the Negev near Arad. The tribe of Judah went to fight along with the tribe of Simeon, their close relatives. They defeated the Canaanites who lived in Zephoth and claimed it for the Lord by destroying it. So the city was called Horma, claimed for destruction. Judah also captured Gaza, Ashkelon, and Ekron with their territories. The Lord was with the men of Judah so that they were able to take possession of the mountains, but they could not force out the people living in the valley who had chariots made of iron. As Moses had promised, Hebron was given to Caleb, who forced out the three sons of Anak. The men of Benjamin did not force out the Jebusites who lived in Jerusalem. The Jebusites still live with the tribe of Benjamin in Jerusalem today. The descendants of Joseph also went into battle against Bethel, and the Lord was with them. They sent men to spy on Bethel. In the past the city was called Luz. The spies saw a man coming out of the city. They told him, Show us how we can get into the city, and we'll treat you kindly. He showed them. So they got into the city and killed everyone there. But they let that man and his whole family go free. The man went to the land of the Hittites. There he built a city and called it Luz. The city still has that name today. Now the tribe of Manasseh did not force out the people of Bethshean, Taanach, Dor, Ibliam, and Megiddo, or their villages. The Canaanites were determined to live in this land. When the Israelites were strong enough, they made the Canaanites do forced labor, but they did not force all of them out. The tribe of Ephraim did not force out the Canaanites who lived in Gezer, so the Canaanites continued to live with them in Gezer. The tribe of Zebulun did not force out those who lived at Kitron or Nahalol, so the Canaanites continued to live with them and were made to do forced labor. The tribe of Asher did not force out those who lived at Acho or Sidon, Alab, Akzib, Helba, Afek, or Rehob. So the tribe of Asher continued to live with the Canaanites because they did not force them out. The tribe of Naphtali did not force out those who lived at Beth Shemesh or Beth Anath. So they continued to live with the Canaanites, but the people of Beth Shemesh and Beth Anath were made to do forced labor. The Amorites forced the tribe of Dan into the mountains and would not let them come down into the valley. The Amorites were determined to live at Har-Heres, Aijalon, and Shaalbim. But when the tribes of Joseph became stronger, they made the Amorites do forced labor. 
The territory of the Amorites extended from the Akrabim Pass, from Selah northward. Judges, chapter 2. The messenger of the Lord went from Gilgal to Bochim. He said, I brought you out of Egypt into the land that I swore to give to your ancestors. I said, I will never break my promise to you. You must never make a treaty with the people who live in this land. You must tear down their altars. But you didn't obey me. What do you think you're doing? So I have this to say. I will not force them out of your way. They will be like thorns in your sides, and their gods will become a trap for you. While the messenger of the Lord was saying this to all the people of Israel, they began to cry loudly. So they called that place Bochim, those who cry. They offered sacrifices there to the Lord. Now Joshua sent the people of Israel home. So each family went to take possession of the territory they had inherited. The people served the Lord throughout Joshua's lifetime and throughout the lifetimes of the leaders who had outlived him and who had seen all the spectacular works the Lord had done for Israel. The Lord's servant Joshua, son of Nun, died at the age of 110. He was buried at timnath Heres within the territory he had inherited. This was in the mountains of Ephraim north of Mount Gash. That whole generation had joined their ancestors in death. So another generation grew up after them. They had no personal experience with the Lord or with what he had done for Israel. The people of Israel did what the Lord considered evil. They began to serve other gods, the Baals. The Israelites abandoned the Lord God of their ancestors, the God who brought them out of Egypt. They followed the other gods of the people around them. They worshipped these gods, and that made the Lord angry. They abandoned the Lord to serve the god Baal and the goddess Ashtarte. So the Lord became angry with the people of Israel. He handed them over to people who robbed them. He also used their enemies around them to defeat them. They could no longer stand up against their enemies. Whenever the Israelites went to war, the power of the Lord brought disaster on them. This was what the Lord said he would do in an oath. So he made them suffer a great deal. Then the Lord would send judges to rescue them from those who robbed them. But the people wouldn't listen to the judges. The Israelites chased after other gods as though they were prostitutes and worshipped them. They quickly turned from the ways of their ancestors who had obeyed the Lord's commands. They refused to be like their ancestors. But when the Lord appointed judges for the Israelites, he was with each judge. The Lord rescued them from their enemies as long as that judge was alive. The Lord was moved by the groaning of those who were tormented and oppressed. But after each judge died, the people went back to their old ways and acted more corruptly than their parents. They followed, served, and worshipped other gods. They never gave up their evil practices and stubborn ways. The Lord became angry with Israel. He said, Because the people of this nation have rejected the promise I gave their ancestors and have not obeyed me, I will no longer force out the nations Joshua left behind when he died. I will test the people of Israel with these nations to see whether or not they will carefully follow the Lord's ways as their ancestors did. So the Lord let these nations stay. He had not handed them over to Joshua or forced them out quickly. Judges chapter 3 These are the nations the Lord left behind to test all the Israelites who had not experienced any war in Canaan. The Lord left them to teach Israel's descendants about war, at least those who had known nothing about it in the past. He left the five rulers of the Philistines, all the Canaanites, the Sidonians, and the Hivites who lived on Mount Lebanon from Mount Baal Hermon to the border of Hamath. These nations were left to test the Israelites, to find out if they would obey the commands the Lord had given their ancestors through Moses.
So the people of Israel lived among the Canaanites, Hittites, Amorites, Perizzites, Hivites, and Jebusites. The Israelites allowed their sons and daughters to marry these people. Israel also served their gods. The people of Israel did what the Lord considered evil. They forgot the Lord their God and served other gods and goddesses, the Baals and the Asherahs. The Lord became angry with the people of Israel. He used King Kushan Rishathaim of Aram Naharaim to defeat them. So Israel served Kushan Rishathaim for eight years. Then the people of Israel cried out to the Lord for help. The Lord sent a Savior to rescue them. It was Othniel, son of Caleb's younger brother Kenaz. When the Lord's Spirit came over him, he became the judge of Israel. He went out to war. The Lord handed King Kushan Rishathaim of Aram Naharaim over to him, and Othniel overpowered him. So there was finally peace in the land for forty years. Then Othniel, son of Kenaz, died. Once again the people of Israel did what the Lord considered evil. So the Lord made King Eglon of Moab stronger than Israel, because Israel did what the Lord considered evil. Eglon got the Ammonites and the Amalekites to help him, and they defeated the Israelites and occupied the city of Palms. The Israelites served King Eglon of Moab for eighteen years. Then the people of Israel cried out to the Lord for help. The Lord sent a Savior to rescue them. It was Ehud, a left-handed man from the tribe of Benjamin. Ehud was the son of Gera. The people sent him with their tax payment to King Eglon of Moab. Ehud made a two-edged dagger for himself. He fastened it to his right side under his clothes. Then he brought the tax payment to King Eglon. Eglon was a very fat man. When Ehud had finished delivering the payment, he sent back the men who had carried it. However, Ehud turned around at the stone idols near Gilgal and returned to Eglon. He said, Your Majesty, I have a secret message for you. The king replied, Keep quiet. Then all his advisers left the room. Ehud came up to him as he sat alone in his room on the roof. He said to the king, I have a message from God for you. As the king rose from his throne, Ehud reached with his left hand, took the dagger from his right side, and plunged it into Eglon's belly. Even the handle went in after the blade. Eglon's fat covered the blade because Ehud didn't pull the dagger out. The blade stuck out in back. Ehud left the room. He had closed and locked the doors of the room before he left. After Ehud went out, Eglon's advisers came in. They were surprised that the doors were locked. He must be using the toilet, they said. They waited and waited, but Eglon didn't open the doors, so they took the key and opened the door. They were shocked to see their ruler lying on the floor dead. While they had been waiting, Ehud escaped. He went past the stone idols and escaped to Seirah. When he arrived there, he blew a ram's horn in the mountains of Ephraim to summon the troops. So the troops of Israel came down from the mountains with him, and he led them. He told them, Follow me. The Lord will hand your enemy Moab over to you. They followed him and captured the shallow crossings of the Jordan River that led to Moab and refused to let anyone cross. At that time they killed about ten thousand of Moab's best fighting men. Not one of them escaped. The power of Moab was crushed by Israel that day. So there was finally peace in the land for eighty years. After Ehud came Shamgar, son of Anath. He killed six hundred Philistines with a sharp stick used for herding oxen. So he too rescued Israel. Judges chapter 4. After Ehud died, the people of Israel again did what the Lord considered evil. So the Lord used King Jabin of Canaan, who ruled at Hazor, to defeat them. The commander of King Jabin's army was Sisera, who lived at Harosheth Hagoim. 
The people of Israel cried out to the Lord for help. King Jabin had nine hundred chariots made of iron, and had cruelly oppressed Israel for twenty years. Deborah, wife of Lapidoth, was a prophet. She was the judge in Israel at that time. She used to sit under the palm tree of Deborah between Ramah and Bethel in the mountains of Ephraim. The people of Israel would come to her for legal decisions. Deborah summoned Barak, son of Abinoam, from Kadesh in Naphtali. She told him, The Lord God of Israel has given you this order. Gather troops on Mount Tabor. Take ten thousand men from Naphtali and Zebulun with you. I will lead Sisera, the commander of Jabin's army, his chariots and troops to you at the Kishon River. I will hand him over to you. Barak said to her, If you go with me, I'll go. But if you don't go with me, I won't go. Deborah replied, Certainly, I'll go with you. But you won't win any honors for the way you're going about this, because the Lord will use a woman to defeat Sisera. So Deborah started out for Kadesh with Barak. Barak called the tribes of Zebulun and Naphtali together at Kadesh. Ten thousand men went to fight under his command. Deborah also went along with him. Heber the Kenite had separated from the other Kenites, the descendants of Hobab, Moses' father-in-law. Heber went as far away as the oak tree at Za'ananim near Kadesh and set up his tent. The report reached Sisera that Barak, son of Abinoam, had come to fight at Mount Tabor. So Sisera summoned all his chariots, nine hundred chariots made of iron, and all his troops from Harosheth, Hagoyim, to come to the Kishon River. Then Deborah said to Barak, Attack! This is the day the Lord will hand Sisera over to you. The Lord will go ahead of you. So Barak came down from Mount Tabor with ten thousand men behind him. The Lord threw Sisera, all his chariots, and his whole army into a panic in front of Barak's deadly assault. Sisera got down from his chariot and fled on foot. Barak pursued the chariots and the army to Harosheth Hagoyim. So Sisera's whole army was killed in combat. Not one man survived. Meanwhile Sisera fled on foot toward the tent of Jael, the wife of Heber the Kenite. Sisera did this because King Jabin of Hazor and Heber's family were on peaceful terms. When Jael came out of her tent, she met Sisera. She told him, "'Sir, come in here. Come into my tent. Don't be afraid.' So he went into her tent, and she hid him under a tent curtain. Sisera said to her, "'Please give me a little water to drink. I'm thirsty.' But instead she gave him milk to drink and covered him up again. He said to her, "'Stand at the door of the tent.' If anyone comes and asks if there has been a man around here, tell them no. When Sisera had fallen sound asleep from exhaustion, Jael, Heber's wife, took a tent peg and walked quietly toward him with a hammer in her hand. She hammered the tent peg through his temples into the ground, so Sisera died. Barak was still pursuing Sisera. When Jael came out of her tent, she met him. She said to him, Come in. I have something to show you. The man you've been looking for. So Barak went into her tent. He saw Sisera lying there dead with the tent peg through his temples. So on that day God used the people of Israel to crush the power of King Jabin of Canaan. The Israelites became stronger and stronger until they destroyed him. Judges chapter 5 On that day Deborah and Barak, son of Abinoam, sang this song. Praise the Lord! Men in Israel vowed to fight, and people volunteered for service. Listen, you kings! Open your ears, you princes. I will sing a song to the Lord. I will make music to the Lord God of Israel. O Lord, when you went out from Seir, when you marched from the country of Edom, the earth quaked, the sky poured, the clouds burst, and the mountains shook in the presence of the Lord God of Sinai. 
in the presence of the Lord God of Israel. In the days of Shamgar, son of Anath, in the days of Jael, roads were deserted. Those who traveled took back roads. Villages in Israel were deserted, deserted until I, Deborah, took a stand, took a stand as a mother of Israel. When the people chose new gods, war broke out inside the city gates. Not a weapon was seen among 40,000 in Israel. My heart goes out to Israel's commanders, to those people who volunteered. Praise the Lord. You people who ride on brown donkeys, who sit on saddle blankets, and who walk on the road, think. Listen to the voices of those singing at the wells. Over and over again they repeat the victories of the Lord, the victories for His villages in Israel. Then the Lord's people went down to the city gates. Get up, get up, Deborah. Get up, get up and create a song. Barak, attack. Take your prisoners, son of Abinoam. Then those mighty men who were left came down. The Lord's people went into battle for me against the mighty soldiers. Those who had settled in Amalek's country came down from Ephraim. Benjamin came with its troops after Ephraim. Commanders from Machir went into battle. The officers from Zebulun also went. Issachar's commanders were with Deborah. They were also with Barak, sent into the valley under his command. Among Reuben's divisions, important men had second thoughts. Why did you sit between the saddlebags? Was it to listen to the shepherds playing their flutes? Reuben's divisions of important men had second thoughts. Gilead remained east of the Jordan River. And Dan, why did he stay by the ships? Asher sat on the seashore and remained along the inlets. But Zebulun mocked death, and Naphtali risked his life on the battlefield. Kings came and fought. Then the kings of Canaan fought. They fought at Tanakh by the waters of Megiddo. But they didn't carry off any rich loot. The stars fought from heaven. They fought against Sisera from their heavenly paths. The Kishon River swept them away, that old river, the Kishon. I must march on with strength. Then the horses' hooves pounded. The mighty war horses galloped on and on. Curse Meros, said the messenger of the Lord. Bitterly curse those who live there. They did not come to help the Lord, to help the Lord and his heroes. Jael, wife of Heber the Kenite, should be the most blessed woman, the most blessed woman living in a tent. Sisera asked for water. She gave him milk. She offered him buttermilk in a royal bowl. She reached for a tent peg with one hand, for a workman's hammer with the other. She struck Sisera. She crushed his head. She shattered and pierced his temples. He sank. He fell. He lay between her feet. He sank. He fell between her feet. Where he sank, he fell dead. Sisera's mother looked through her window and cried as she peered through the lattice. Why is his chariot taking so long? Why don't I hear the clatter of his chariots? Her wisest servants gave her an answer. But she kept repeating to herself, they're really finding and dividing the loot. A girl or two for each soldier, colorful clothes for Sisera, colorful embroidered clothes, and two pieces of colorful embroidered cloth for the neck of the looter. May all your enemies die like that, O Lord. But may those who love the Lord be like the sun when it rises in all its brightness. So the land had peace for forty years. Judges chapter 6 the people of Israel did what the Lord considered evil. So the Lord handed them over to Midian for seven years. Midian's power was too strong for Israel. The Israelites made hiding places in the mountains, caves, and mountain strongholds to protect themselves from Midian. Whenever Israel planted crops, Midian, Amalek, and Kedem came and damaged the crops. The enemy used the camp on the land and destroyed the crops all the way to Gaza. 
They left nothing for Israel to live on, not one sheep, cow, or donkey. Like swarms of locusts, they came with their livestock and their tents. They and their camels could not be counted. They came into the land only to ruin it. So the Israelites became very poor because of Midian and cried out to the Lord for help. When the people of Israel cried out to the Lord for help because of what the Midianites had done to them, the Lord sent a prophet to them. He said, This is what the Lord God of Israel says. I brought you out of Egypt. I took you away from slavery. I rescued you from the power of the Egyptians and from the power of those who oppressed you. I forced people out of your way. I gave you their land. I said to you, I am the Lord your God. You must never fear the gods of the Amorites in whose land you will live. But you have not obeyed me. The messenger of the Lord came and sat under the oak tree in Ophrah that belonged to Joash from Abiezer's family. Joash's son Gideon was beating out wheat in a winepress to hide it from the Midianites. The messenger of the Lord appeared to Gideon and said, The Lord is with you, brave man. Gideon responded, Excuse me, sir, but if the Lord is with us, why has all this happened to us? Where are all the miracles our ancestors have told us about? Didn't they say, The Lord brought us out of Egypt? But now the Lord has abandoned us and has handed us over to Midian. The Lord turned to him and said, You will rescue Israel from Midian with the strength you have. I am sending you. Gideon said to him, Excuse me, sir, how can I rescue Israel? Look at my whole family. It's the weakest one in Manasseh. And me, I'm the least important member of my family. The Lord replied, I will be with you. You will defeat Midian as if it were only one man. Gideon said to him, If you find me acceptable, give me a sign that it is really you speaking to me. Don't leave until I come back. I want to bring my gift and set it in front of you. I will stay until you come back, he said. Then Gideon went into his house and prepared a young goat and unleavened bread made with eighteen quarts of flour. He put the meat in a basket and the broth in a pot. Then he went out and presented them to the messenger of the Lord under the oak tree. The messenger of the Lord told him, Take the meat and the unleavened bread, put them on this rock, and pour the broth over them. Gideon did so. Then the messenger of the Lord touched the meat and the bread with the tip of the staff that was in his hand. Fire flared up from the rock and burned the meat and the bread. Then the messenger of the Lord disappeared. That's when Gideon realized that this had been the messenger of the Lord. So he said, Lord God, I have seen the messenger of the Lord face to face. The Lord said to him, Calm down, don't be afraid, you will not die. So Gideon built an altar there to the Lord. He called it, The Lord Calms. To this day it is still in Ophrah, which belongs to Ahiezer's family. That same night the Lord said to Gideon, Take a bull from your father's herd, a bull that is seven years old. Tear down your father's altar dedicated to the god Baal, and cut down the pole dedicated to the goddess Asherah that is next to it. Then in the proper way build an altar to the Lord your God on top of this fortified place. Take this second bull and sacrifice it as a burnt offering on the wood from the Asherah pole that you have cut down. Gideon took ten of his servants and did what the Lord had told him to do. However, he didn't do anything during the day. He was too afraid of his father's family and the men of the city. So he did it at night. When the men of the city got up early in the morning, they saw that the Baal altar had been torn down. The Asherah pole next to it had also been cut down. They saw that the second bull had been sacrificed as a burnt offering on the altar that had been built. They asked each other, Who did this? 
While they were investigating the matter, someone said, Gideon, son of Joash, did this. Then the men of the city told Joash, Bring your son out. He must die. He has torn down the Baal altar and cut down the Asherah pole that was beside it. But Joash said to everyone standing around him, You're not going to defend Baal, are you? Do you think you should save him? Whoever defends him will be put to death in the morning. If he's a god, let him defend himself when someone tears down his altar. So that day they nicknamed Gideon Jerubbaal. Let Baal defend himself, because they said, When someone tears down Baal's altar, let Baal defend himself. All of Midian, Amalek, and Kedem combined their armies, crossed the Jordan River, and camped in the valley of Jezreel. Then the Lord's Spirit gave Gideon strength. So Gideon blew the ram's horn to summon Abiezer's family to follow him. He also sent messengers throughout Manasseh to summon the people to follow him. The tribes of Asher, Zebulun, and Naphtali were also summoned to follow him, and they went to meet the enemy in battle. Then Gideon said to God, You said that you would rescue Israel through me. I'll place some wool on the threshing floor. If there is dew on the wool while all the ground is dry, then I'll know that you will rescue Israel through me, as you said. And that is what happened. The next morning Gideon got up early. He squeezed out a bowl full of water from the wool. Then Gideon said to God, Don't be angry with me, but let me ask one more thing. Let me make one more test with the wool. Let the wool be dry while all the ground is covered with dew. During the night God did what Gideon asked. The wool was dry, but all the ground was covered with dew. Judges, chapter 7. Jerobal, that is Gideon, and all the troops with him got up early and camped above En-Harod. Midian's camp was north of him at the hill of Morah in the valley. The Lord said to Gideon, You have too many men with you for me to hand Midian over to you. Israel might brag and say, We saved ourselves. Announce to the troops, Whoever is scared or frightened should leave Mount Gilead and go back home. So twenty-two thousand men went back home, and ten thousand were left. The Lord said to Gideon, There are still too many men. Bring them down to the water, and I will test them for you there. If I say to you, This one will go with you, he must go with you. And if I say to you, This one won't go with you, he must not go. So Gideon took the men down to the water. The Lord said to him, Separate those who lap water with their tongues like dogs from those who kneel down to drink. Three hundred men lapped water with their hands to their mouths. All the rest of the men knelt down to drink water. Then the Lord said to Gideon, With the three hundred men who lapped water, I will save you and had Midian over to you. All the other men should go home. So Gideon sent the other men of Israel home. But the three hundred men who stayed kept all the supplies and ram's horns. The camp of Midian was below him in the valley. That night the Lord said to Gideon, Attack, go into the camp. I will hand it over to you. But if you are afraid to go, take your servant Pura to the camp with you. Listen to what people are saying. After that you will have the courage to go into the camp and attack it. So Gideon and his servant Pura went to the edge of the camp. Midian, Amalek, and all of Kadem were spread out in the valley like a swarm of locusts. There were so many camels that they could not be counted. They were as numerous as the grains of sand on the seashore. When Gideon got there, he heard a man telling his friend a dream. The man said, I had a strange dream. There was a loaf of barley bread rolling around in the camp of Midian. When it got to the command post, the loaf of bread hit the tent so hard that the tent collapsed, turned upside down, and fell flat. His friend replied, 
That can only be the sword of Gideon, son of Joash, from Israel. God is going to hand Midian and the whole camp over to him. When Gideon heard the dream and its interpretation, he worshipped the Lord. Then he went back to the camp of Israel and said, Attack! The Lord will hand Midian's camp over to you. Gideon divided the three hundred men into three companies. He gave them each ram's horns and jars with torches inside. He said to them, Watch me, and do what I do. When I come to the edge of the camp, do exactly as I do. When I and those with me blow our ram's horns, then the rest of you around the camp do the same and shout, For the Lord and for Gideon. Gideon and his one hundred men came to the edge of the camp. It was the beginning of the midnight watch, just at the change of the guards. They blew their ram's horns and smashed the jars they were holding in their hands. The three companies also blew their ram's horns and broke their jars. They held the torches in their left hands and the ram's horns in their right hands so that they could blow them. They shouted, A sword for the Lord and for Gideon. While each man kept his position around the camp, everyone in the Midianite camp began to run away, screaming as they fled. The three hundred men kept on blowing their ram's horns, and the Lord caused the whole camp of Midian to fight among themselves. They fled as far as Beth Shittah, toward Zerarah, and as far as the bank of the stream of Abel Meholah, near Tabath. The men of Israel were summoned from Naphtali, Asher, and all Manasseh to help pursue the troops of Midian. Gideon also sent messengers to the whole mountain region of Ephraim with this message, Go into battle against Midian, capture the watering holes as far as Beth Barah and the Jordan River. All the men of Ephraim were also summoned to help. They captured the watering holes as far as Beth Barah and the Jordan River. They also captured Oreb and Zeb, the two Midianite commanders. They killed Oreb at the rock of Oreb, and Zeb at the winepress of Zeb, and kept on pursuing Midian. Then they brought the severed heads of Oreb and Zeb to Gideon on the other side of the Jordan River. Judges, chapter 8. The men from Ephraim strongly protested Gideon's actions. They said, Why did you do this to us? You didn't invite us to go fight Midian with you. Gideon replied, I haven't done anything compared with what you have done. Aren't the grapes that Ephraim picked after the harvest better than all the grapes in Abiezer's entire harvest? God handed Oreb and Zeb Midian's commanders over to you. What have I done compared with that? When they heard what Gideon said, they weren't angry with him any more. Gideon and his three hundred men headed toward the Jordan River. They were exhausted when they crossed it, but they kept pursuing the enemy. So Gideon said to the men of Succoth, Please give me some food for the men under my command. They're exhausted, and I'm pursuing King Zeba and King Zalmunna of Midian. The generals at Succoth replied, We shouldn't give your army food. You haven't captured Zeba and Zalmunna yet. Gideon responded, All right, then. When the Lord hands Zeba and Zalmunna over to me, I'll whip your bodies with thorns and thistles from the desert. Then Gideon went to Penuel and asked the people there for the same help. But they gave him the same reply that the men of Succoth gave. So he told them, When I come back after my victory, I'll tear down this tower. Zeba and Zalmunna were in Karkor with an army of about 15,000 men. This was all that was left of Kedem's entire army. In the battle, 120,000 soldiers died. So Gideon went up Tent Dwellers Road, east of Noba and Jogbeha, and defeated the unsuspecting Midianite army. Zeba and Zalmunna fled as Gideon pursued them. He captured King Zeba and King Zalmunna of Midian, and the whole Midianite army panicked. Gideon, son of Joash, returned from the battle through the Heres Pass, and captured a young man from Succoth. 
He questioned him, and the young man wrote down for him the names of the seventy-seven officials and leaders of Succoth. Gideon went to the men of Succoth and said, Here are Zeba and Zalmona. You insulted me when you said, We shouldn't give your exhausted men food before you've captured Zeba and Zalmona. So Gideon took the leaders of the city and taught them a lesson using thorns and thistles from the desert. Then he tore down the tower of Penuel and killed the men of that city. He asked Zeba and Zalmunna, What kind of men did you kill at Tabor? They answered, They were like you. Each one looked like a king's son. Gideon replied, They were my brothers, my mother's sons. I solemnly swear as the Lord lives, if you had let them live, I would not have to kill you now. Then he told Jether, his firstborn son, Get up and kill them. But Jether didn't draw his sword. He was afraid because he was only a young man. Zeba and Zalmunna said, Get up and do it yourself. It's a man's job. So Gideon got up and killed them. Then he took the half-moon ornaments that were on their camels' necks. The men of Israel said to Gideon, You, then your son, and then your grandson must rule us. You rescued us from Midian. Gideon replied, I will not rule you, nor will my son. The Lord will rule you. Then Gideon said to them, Do me a favor, each of you give me the earrings from your loot. Their enemies, the Ishmaelites, wore gold earrings. The men of Israel answered, Yes, we'll give them to you. So they spread out a coat. Each man took the earrings from his loot and dropped them on it. The gold earrings Gideon had asked for weighed forty pounds. This did not include the half-moon ornaments, the earrings, the purple clothes worn by the kings of Midian, and the chains from their camels' necks. Then Gideon used the gold to make an idol and placed it in his hometown Ophrah. All Israel chased after it there as though it were a prostitute. It became a trap for Gideon and his family. The power of Midian was crushed by the people of Israel, and Midian never again became a threat. So the land had peace for forty years during Gideon's life. Jerubbaal, son of Joash, went home to live. Gideon had seventy sons because he had many wives. His concubine at Shechem also gave birth to a son. That son was named Abimelech. Gideon, son of Joash, died at a very old age. He was buried in the tomb of his father, Joash, at Ophrah, the city belonging to Abiezer's family. As soon as Gideon died, the people of Israel chased after other gods, the Baals, as though they were prostitutes. They made Baal Berith their god. The Israelites did not remember the Lord their god, who had rescued them from all the enemies around them. And they were not kind to the family of Jerubal, that is Gideon, despite all the good he had done for Israel. Judges, chapter 9. Abimelech, son of Jerubal, Gideon, went to Shechem to see the uncles on his mother's side of the family. He spoke to them and his mother's whole family. He said, Please ask all citizens of Shechem, what seems best to you? Do you really want all of Jerubal's seventy sons to rule you, or just one man? Remember, I'm your own flesh and blood. His uncles repeated everything he said to all citizens of Shechem. They were persuaded to follow Abimelech because he was their relative. So they gave him seventy pieces of silver from the temple of Baal Berith. With the silver, Abimelech hired worthless and reckless men to follow him. Then he went to his father's home in Ophrah. There he executed his seventy brothers, Jerubal's sons. But Jotham, Jerubal's youngest son, survived because he hid. All the citizens from Shechem and Beth Milo united. They went to the oak tree that was still standing in Shechem and proclaimed Abimelech king. When Jotham was told about this, he went to a high spot on Mount Gerizim. He shouted to them, 
Listen to me, you citizens of Shechem, so that God might listen to you. The trees went to anoint someone to be king over them. They said to the olive tree, Be our king. But the olive tree responded, Should I stop producing oil, which people use to honor gods and humans, in order to rule the trees? Then the trees said to the fig tree, You come and be our king. But the fig tree responded, Should I stop producing my good sweet fruit in order to rule the trees? Then the trees said to the grapevine, You come and be our king. But the grapevine responded, Should I stop producing my wine, which makes gods and humans happy, in order to rule the trees? Then all the trees said to the thorn bush, You come and be our king. But the thorn bush responded to the trees, If you really want to anoint me to be your king, then come and take shelter in my shade. But if not, fire will come out of the thorn bush and burn up the cedars of Lebanon. If you acted with sincerity and integrity when you made Abimelech king, be happy. If you treated Jerubal and his family well, if you treated him as he deserved, be happy. My father fought for you. He risked his life and rescued you from Midian. But today you have attacked my father's family. You have executed his seventy sons. You have made Abimelech, who is the son of my father's slave girl, king over the citizens of Shechem, just because he's your brother. So if you are now acting with sincerity and integrity toward Jerubal and his family, then be happy with Abimelech, and let Abimelech be happy with you. But if that's not the case, let fire come out of Abimelech and burn up citizens of Shechem and Beth Milo. Also let fire come out of citizens of Shechem and Beth Milo and burn up Abimelech. Then Jotham ran away quickly. He went to Beerah and lived there to avoid his brother Abimelech. Abimelech ruled Israel for three years. Then God sent an evil spirit to cause problems between Abimelech and the citizens of Shechem. So citizens of Shechem turned against Abimelech. God did this so that the bloody violence committed against Jerubal's seventy sons would happen to Abimelech and citizens of Shechem. Citizens of Shechem had helped Abimelech execute his brothers. So citizens of Shechem set ambushes for Abimelech on top of the mountains. They also robbed everyone who passed by them on the road. This was reported to Abimelech. Then Gaal, son of Ebed, and his brothers moved into Shechem. Citizens of Shechem trusted him. They went into the country and harvested grapes in the vineyards to make wine. Then they made an offering of praise in the temple of their gods. They ate, drank, and cursed Abimelech. Gaal, son of Abed, said, Who's Abimelech, and who are we, the people of Shechem, that we should serve him? Isn't he Jerubal's son, and isn't Zebul his officer? Serve the descendants of Hamor, Shechem's father. Why should we serve Abimelech? How I wish I controlled these people. Then I'd get rid of Abimelech. I would tell him, Get yourself a big army and come out. Zebul, Shechem's ruler, heard what Gaal, son of Abed, had said, and he became angry. He secretly sent messengers to Abimelech. Watch out! Gaal, son of Abed, and his brothers have come to Shechem. They have turned the city against you. You and your men must start out tonight. Set an ambush for them in the fields around Shechem. In the morning, when the sun rises, get up quickly and raid the city. When Gaal and his men come out to attack you, do whatever you want to him. Abimelech and all his troops started out at night. He used four companies to send ambushes around Shechem. Gaal, son of Ebed, went out and stood at the entrance to the city. Then Abimelech and his troops rose from their ambush. When Gaal saw the troops, he said to Zebul, Look, troops are coming down from the mountaintops. Zebul replied, The shadows of the mountains look like men to you. Gaal spoke again, No, there are troops coming down from Taburares. One company is coming along the road by the fortune-teller's tree. Then Zebul said to him, 
Where is your big mouth now? You are the one who said, Who's Abimelech that we should serve him? Aren't these the troops whose ruler you despised? Now go out and fight him. Then Gaal led citizens of Shechem out to fight Abimelech. Abimelech chased Gaal so that he ran away from him. Many were killed at the entrance of the city. Abimelech continued to live at Arumah. Zebul threw Gaal and his brothers out and would not let them live in Shechem. The next day the people of Shechem went into the fields. Abimelech was told about it, so he took his troops, divided them into three companies, and set an ambush in the fields. He watched and saw the people coming out of the city. Then he began to attack them. Abimelech and his company charged the city and captured its entrance. The other two companies charged at everyone in the fields and attacked them. Abimelech attacked the city all day long. He captured the city and killed the people in it. He also tore down the city and scattered salt all over the land. All the citizens of Shechem's tower heard about it and went into the basement of the temple of El Berith. When Abimelech was told that they had gathered there, he and all his men went to Mount Zalman. Abimelech took an axe, cut some brushwood, and carried it on his shoulder. He told his men, Hurry and do what you've seen me do. So all his troops also cut brushwood and followed Abimelech. They piled the brushwood on top of the basement and set it on fire with the people inside. So all the people in Shechem's tower died too. There were about a thousand men and women. Then Abimelech went to Thebes, camped there, and captured it. Now there was a strong tower inside the town. All the men, women, and leaders of the town fled to it. They locked the door behind them and went up on the roof of the tower. Abimelech came to the tower. He began to fight against it and went near the entrance of the tower to burn it down. Then a woman threw a small millstone that hit Abimelech on the head and cracked his skull. He quickly called his armor-bearer. He told him, Take your sword and kill me. I don't want anyone to say a woman killed Abimelech. His armor-bearer did as he said, so Abimelech died. When the people of Israel saw that Abimelech was dead, they all went home. So God paid back Abimelech for the evil he had done to his father when he killed his seventy brothers. God also paid back the men of Shechem for all their evil. So the curse of Jotham, son of Jerubal, came true. Judges chapter 10 After Abimelech, Tola, who was the son of Pua and grandson of Dodo, came to rescue Israel. Tola was from Issachar and lived in Shamir in the mountains of Ephraim. He judged Israel for twenty-three years. Tola died and was buried in Shamir. After Tola, Jair from Gilead became a judge. He judged Israel for twenty-two years. Jair had thirty sons who rode on thirty donkeys. He also had thirty towns that are still called Havoth Jair to this day. They are in the region of Gilead. Jair died and was buried in Kamon. The people of Israel again did what the Lord considered evil. They began to serve other gods and goddesses, the Baals and the Ashtartes, and the gods of Aram, Sidon, Moab, Ammon, and the gods of the Philistines. They abandoned the Lord and did not serve Him. The Lord became angry with the people of Israel, so He used the Philistines and Ammonites to defeat them. They oppressed and crushed the people of Israel that year. For eighteen years they oppressed all who lived east of the Jordan River in the land of the Amorites in Gilead. Ammon also crossed the Jordan River to fight the tribes of Judah, Benjamin, and Ephraim. So Israel suffered a great deal. Then the people of Israel cried out to the Lord for help. They said, We have sinned against you. We have abandoned our God and served other gods, the Baals. The Lord said to the people of Israel, when the Egyptians, the Amorites, the Ammonites, the Philistines, 
The Sidonians, the Amalekites, and the Maonites oppressed you. You cried out to me for help. Didn't I rescue you from them? But you still abandoned me and served other gods. That's why I won't rescue you again. Cry out for help to the gods you chose. Let them rescue you when you're in trouble. The people of Israel said to the Lord, We have sinned. Do to us whatever you think is right, but please rescue us today. Then they got rid of the foreign gods they had and served the Lord. So the Lord could not bear to have Israel suffer any longer. The troops of Ammon were summoned to fight, and they camped at Gilead. The people of Israel also gathered together and camped at Mizpah. The leaders of the people of Gilead said to each other, Whoever starts the fight against Ammon will rule everyone who lives in Gilead. Judges chapter 11 Jephthah was a soldier from the region of Gilead. Jephthah's father was named Gilead. His mother was a prostitute. Gilead's wife also gave birth to sons. When his wife's sons grew up, they threw Jephthah out. They told him, You'll get no inheritance from our father. You're the son of that other woman. Jephthah fled from his brothers. He went to live in the land of Tob. Worthless men gathered around Jephthah and went out on raids with him. Later, Ammon waged war with Israel. When the Ammonites attacked Israel, Gilead's leaders went to get Jephthah from the land of Tob. They said to Jephthah, Come and be our commander so that we can wage war against Ammon. But Jephthah replied to Gilead's leaders, Don't you hate me? Didn't you throw me out of my father's house? So why are you coming to me now when you're in trouble? Gilead's leaders answered Jephthah, The reason we've turned to you now is that we want you to go with us and wage war against Ammon. You will be the ruler of everyone who lives in Gilead. Jephthah told them, If you take me back to fight against Ammonites, and the Lord gives them to me, I will be your leader. Gilead's leader said to Jephthah, The Lord is a witness between us. We will certainly do what you say. Jephthah went with them, and the people made him their leader and commander. So Jephthah went to Mizpah and repeated all these things in the presence of the Lord. Jephthah sent messengers to the king of Ammon. They asked the king, Why did you invade my land and wage war against me? The king of Ammon answered Jephthah's messengers, When the people of Israel left Egypt, they took my land. It stretched from the Arnon River to the Jabbok River and the Jordan River. Now give it back peacefully. Jephthah again sent messengers to the king of Ammon. They said, This is what Jephthah says. The people of Israel didn't take away the land belonging to Moab or Ammon. When the people of Israel left Egypt, they went through the desert to the Red Sea and came to Kadesh. The people of Israel sent messengers to the king of Edom. They said, Please let us go through your country. But the king of Edom wouldn't listen to them. They also sent messengers to the king of Moab, but he wouldn't allow it either. So the people of Israel remained at Kadesh. Then they went through the desert, bypassing Edom and Moab. They camped east of Moab, east of the Arnon River. They did not cross the Arnon River because it was Moab's border. Then the people of Israel sent messengers to King Sihon of the Amorites. Sihon ruled from Heshbon. The people of Israel said to him, Please let us go through your land to our own. But Sihon did not trust the Israelites enough to let them go through his territory. Sihon assembled all his troops. He camped at Jahaz and attacked Israel. But the Lord God of Israel handed Sihon and all his people over to Israel. Israel defeated them and took possession of all the land of the Amorites who lived there. Israel took all the Amorite territory from the Arnon River to the Jabbok River and from the desert to the Jordan River. The Lord God of Israel forced the Amorites out of the way of his people Israel. So what right do you have to take it back? 
Shouldn't you take possession of what your God, Chemosh, took for you? Shouldn't we take everything the Lord our God took for us? You're not any better than Balak, son of King Zippor of Moab, are you? Did he ever have a case against Israel, or did he ever fight against Israel? Israel has now lived in Heshbon, Aruer, all their villages, and in all the cities along the Arnon River for three hundred years. Why didn't you recapture these cities during that time? I haven't sinned against you, but you have done wrong by waging war against me. The Lord is the judge who will decide today whether Israel or Ammon is right. But the king of Ammon didn't listen to the message Jephthah sent him. Then the Lord's Spirit came over Jephthah. Jephthah went through Gilead, Manasseh, and Mizpah in Gilead to gather an army. From Mizpah in Gilead, Jephthah went to attack Ammon. Jephthah made a vow to the Lord. He said, If you will really hand Ammon over to me, then whatever comes out of the doors of my house to meet me when I return safely from Ammon will belong to the Lord. I will sacrifice it as a burnt offering. So Jephthah went to fight against Ammon. The Lord handed the people of Ammon over to him. He defeated them from Aroer to Minith and on to Abel-Keramim, twenty cities in all. It was a decisive defeat. So the Ammonites were crushed by the people of Israel. When Jephthah went to his home in Mizpah, he saw his daughter coming out to meet him. She was dancing with tambourines in her hands. She was his only child. Jephthah had no other sons or daughters. When he saw her, he tore his clothes in grief and said, Oh, no, daughter! You've brought me to my knees. What disaster you've brought me. I made a foolish promise to the Lord. Now I can't break it. She said to him, Father, you made a promise to the Lord. Do to me whatever you promise, since the Lord has punished your enemy Ammon. Then she said to her father, Do me a favor. Give me two months for my friends and me to walk in the mountains and mourn that I will never have an opportunity to get married. Go, he said, and he sent her off for two months. She and her friends went to the mountains, and she cried about never being able to get married. At the end of those two months she came back to her father. He did to her what he had vowed, and she never had a husband. So the custom began in Israel that for four days every year the girls in Israel would go out to sing the praises of the daughter of Jephthah, the man from Gilead. Judges, chapter 12. The men of Ephraim were summoned to fight. They crossed the Jordan River to Zaphon. They said to Jephthah, why did you fight against Ammon without inviting us to go with you? Now we're going to burn your house down with you in it. Jephthah answered, My people and I were involved in a legal dispute with Ammon. I asked you for help, but you didn't rescue me from them. When I saw that you would not rescue me, I risked my life and went to fight the people of Ammon. The Lord handed them over to me. So why did you come to fight against me today? Then Jephthah gathered all the men of Gilead and fought Ephraim. The men of Gilead defeated Ephraim. They did this because Ephraim had said, You people from Gilead are nothing but fugitives from Ephraim and Manasseh. The men of Gilead captured the shallow crossings of the Jordan River leading back to Ephraim. Whenever a fugitive from Ephraim said, Let me cross, the men of Gilead would ask, Are you from Ephraim? If he answered no, they would tell him, Say the word Shiboleth. If the fugitive would say Siboleth, because he couldn't pronounce the word correctly, they would grab him and kill him at the shallow crossings of the Jordan River. At that time, 42,000 men from Ephraim died. Jephthah judged Israel for six years. Then Jephthah of Gilead died and was buried in one of the cities of Gilead. After Jephthah, Ibzan from Bethlehem judged Israel. He had 30 sons and 30 daughters. 
His sons and daughters married people from outside their own families. He judged Israel for seven years. When Ibzan died, he was buried in Bethlehem. After Ibzan, Elon from the tribe of Zebulun judged Israel. He judged Israel for ten years. When Elon died, he was buried in Aijalon in the territory of Zebulun. After Elon, Abdon, son of Hillel, from Pirathon, judged Israel. He had forty sons and thirty grandsons who rode on seventy donkeys. He judged Israel for eight years. When Abdon died, he was buried in Pirathon, in the territory of Ephraim, in the mountains of Amalek. Judges, chapter 13. The people of Israel again did what the Lord considered evil. So the Lord handed them over to the Philistines for forty years. There was a man from Zorah named Manoah. Manoah was from the family of Dan. His wife was not able to have children. The messenger of the Lord appeared to her and said, You've never been able to have a child, but now you will become pregnant and have a son. Now you must be careful. Don't drink any wine or liquor or eat any unclean food. You're going to become pregnant and have a son. You must never cut his hair, because the boy will be a Nazarite dedicated to God from birth. He will begin to rescue Israel from the power of the Philistines. The woman went to tell her husband. She said, A man of God came to me. He had a very frightening appearance like the messenger of God. So I didn't ask him where he came from, and he didn't tell me his name. He told me, You're going to become pregnant and have a son. So don't drink any wine or liquor or eat any unclean food, because the boy will be a Nazarite dedicated to God from the time he is born until he dies. Then Manoah pleaded with the Lord, Please, Lord, let the man of God you sent come back to us. Let him teach us what we must do for the boy who will be born. God did what Manoah asked. The messenger of God came back to his wife while she was sitting out in the fields. But her husband Manoah was not with her. The woman ran quickly to tell her husband. She said, The man who came to me the other day has just appeared to me again. Manoah immediately followed his wife. When he came to the man, he asked him, Are you the man who spoke to my wife? Yes, he answered. Then Manoah asked, When your words come true, how should the boy live and what should he do? The messenger of the Lord answered Manoah, Your wife must be careful to do everything I told her to do. She must not eat anything that comes from the grapevines, drink any wine or liquor, or eat any unclean food. She must be careful to do everything I commanded. Manoah said to the messenger of the Lord, Please stay while we prepare a young goat for you to eat. But the messenger of the Lord responded, If I stay here, I will not eat any of your food. But if you make a burnt offering, sacrifice it to the Lord. Manoah did not realize that it was the messenger of the Lord. Then Manoah asked the messenger of the Lord, What is your name? When your words come true, we will honor you. The messenger of the Lord asked him, Why do you ask for my name? It's a name that works miracles. So Manoah took a young goat and a grain offering and sacrificed them to the Lord on a rock he used as an altar. While Manoah and his wife watched, the Lord did something miraculous. As the flame went up toward heaven from the altar, the messenger of the Lord went up in the flame. When Manoah and his wife saw this, they immediately bowed down with their faces touching the ground. The messenger of the Lord didn't appear again to Manoah and his wife. Then Manoah knew that this had been the messenger of the Lord. So Manoah said to his wife, We will certainly die because we have seen God. But Manoah's wife replied, If the Lord wanted to kill us, he would not have accepted our burnt offering and grain offering. 
he would not have let us see or hear all these things just now. So the woman had a son and named him Samson. The boy grew up, and the Lord blessed him. The Lord's spirit began to stir on him while he was at Mahanehdan, between Zorah and Eshtaol. Judges, chapter 14. When Samson went to Timnah, he saw a young Philistine woman. He went home and told his father and mother, I've seen a Philistine woman at Timnah. Now get her for me so that I can marry her. His father and mother asked him, Aren't there any women among our relatives or all our people? Do you have to marry a woman from those godless Philistines? But Samson told his father, Get her for me. She's the one I want. His father and mother didn't know that the Lord was behind this. The Lord was looking for an opportunity to do something to the Philistines. At that time the Philistines were ruling Israel. Samson went with his father and mother to Timnah. When they were coming to the vineyards of Timnah, a young roaring lion met Samson. The Lord's Spirit came over him. With his bare hands he tore the lion apart as if it were a young goat. He didn't tell his parents what he had done. Then he went to talk to the young woman. She was the one he wanted. Later he went back to marry her. On his way he left the road to look at the lion he had killed. He saw a swarm of bees and some honey in the lion's dead body. He scraped the honey into his hands and ate it as he walked along. When he came to his father and mother, he gave them some of the honey to eat. He didn't tell them he had scraped it out of the lion's dead body. After his father went to see the woman, Samson threw a party. This is what young men used to do. When her family saw him, they chose thirty of their friends to be with him. Then Samson said to them, Let me tell you a riddle. If you solve it during the seven days of the party, I'll give you thirty linen shirts and thirty changes of clothes. But if you can't solve it, you will give me the same things. They responded, Tell us your riddle, let's hear it. So Samson said to them, From the eater came something to eat. From the strong one came something sweet. For three days they couldn't solve the riddle. On the fourth day they said to Samson's wife, Trick your husband into solving the riddle for us, if you don't, we'll burn you and your family to death. Did the two of you invite us just to make us poor? So Samson's wife cried on his shoulder. She said, You hate me. You don't really love me. You gave my friends a riddle and didn't tell me the answer. Samson replied, I haven't even told my father and mother, so why should I tell you? But she cried on his shoulder for the rest of the seven days of the party. Finally, on the seventh day, he told her the answer, because she made his life miserable. Then she told her friends the answer to the riddle. So before sundown on the seventh day, the men of the city said to him, What is sweeter than honey? What is stronger than a lion? Samson replied, If you hadn't used my cow to plow, you wouldn't know my riddle now. When the Lord's Spirit came over him, he went to Ashkelon and killed thirty men there. He took their clothes and gave them to the men who solved the riddle. He was angry, and he went to his father's house. Samson's wife was given to his best man. Judges, chapter 15. Later during the wheat harvest, Samson went to visit his wife. He took a young goat along for her. He said, I'm going to sleep with my wife in her bedroom. But her father would not let him go in. Her father said, I thought you hated her, so I gave her to your best man. Isn't her younger sister better looking? Marry her instead. Samson said to him, this time I won't be guilty when I get even with the Philistines, even though I'm going to do something terrible to them. So Samson caught three hundred foxes. He tied them together in pairs by their tails. Then he fastened a torch between their tails. 
he set the torches on fire and released the foxes in the Philistines' grain fields. So he set fire to all their grain, whether it was stacked or in the fields. Their olive orchards also caught on fire. Some Philistines asked, Who did this? They were told, Samson. He's the son-in-law of the man at Timnah. Samson did it because the man at Timnah took Samson's wife and gave her to his best man. So the Philistines burned Samson's wife and her father to death. Samson said to them, If that's how you're going to act, I'll get even with you before I stop. So he attacked them violently and slaughtered them. Then he went to live in a cave in the cliff at Etham. The Philistines came, camped at Judah, and overran Lehi. The men of Judah asked, Why did you come to fight us? The Philistines answered, We've come to tie up Samson and do to him what he did to us. So three thousand men from Judah went to the cave in the cliff at Etam. They said to Samson, Don't you know that the Philistines rule us? Why have you done this to us? Samson replied, I did to them what they did to me. So the men from Judah told him, We've come to tie you up and hand you over to the Philistines. Samson said to them, Swear to me that you won't harm me yourselves. They told him, We promise we'll only tie you up and hand you over to them. We certainly won't kill you. So they tied him up with two new ropes and brought him back from the cliff. When he came to Lehi, the Philistines met him with shouts of triumph. But the Lord's Spirit came over him. The ropes on his arms became like strings burned in a fire, and those on his hands snapped. Samson found the jawbone from a donkey that had just died. He picked it up and killed one thousand men with it. Then Samson said, With a jawbone from a donkey, I've made two piles of them. With a jawbone from a donkey, I've killed a thousand men. When he finished saying this, he threw the jawbone away. He called that place Ramath-Lehi, Jawbone Hill. Samson was very thirsty, so he called out to the Lord and said, You have given me this great victory, but now I'll die from thirst and fall into the power of godless men. So God split open the hollow place at Lehi, and water gushed out. Samson drank some water, then he was refreshed and revived. So he called the place En-Hakor, spring of the one who calls out. It is still there at Lehi today. Samson judged Israel for twenty years during the time of the Philistines. Judges, chapter 16. Samson went to Gaza. There he saw a prostitute and slept with her. The people of Gaza were told, Samson's here. So they surrounded the place and waited all night at the city gate to ambush him. They were quiet all night. They thought, we'll kill him at dawn. But Samson was in bed with a prostitute only until midnight. Then he got up, took hold of the doors, doorposts, and bar of the city gate, and pulled them out. He carried them on his shoulders to the top of the hill facing Hebron. After leaving Gaza, he fell in love with a woman in the Sorek Valley. Her name was Delilah. The Philistine rulers came to her and said, Trick him, and find out what makes him so strong. Find out how we can overpower him. We want to tie him up in order to torture him. Each of us will give you eleven hundred pieces of silver. So Delilah said to Samson, Please tell me what makes you so strong. How can you be tied up so that someone could torture you? Samson told her, If someone ties me up with seven new bowstrings that are not dried out, I will be like any other man. The Philistine rulers brought her seven new bowstrings that were not dried out. She tied Samson up with them. Some men were hiding in the bedroom waiting for her to tie him up. Then she said to him, Samson, the Philistines are attacking. 
Samson snapped the bowstrings as a thread snaps when it touches fire, so no one found out why he was so strong. Delilah told Samson, Look, you're making fun of me by telling me lies. Now tell me how you can be tied up. Samson told her, If someone ties me up tightly with new ropes that have never been used, I will be like any other man. So Delilah took some new ropes and tied him up with them. Then she said to him, Samson, the Philistines are attacking. Some men were in her bedroom waiting to ambush him, but Samson tore the ropes off his arms as though they were strings. Delilah told Samson, You're still making fun of me by telling me lies. Tell me how you can be tied up. Samson replied, Just weave the seven braids of my hair with the other threads in the loom. So Delilah tied his braids to the loom shuttle. Then she said to him, Samson, the Philistines are attacking. But Samson woke up and tore his braids and the threads out of the loom shuttle. Delilah said to Samson, How can you say that you love me when your heart isn't mine? You've made fun of me three times now, but you still haven't told me what makes you so strong. Every day she made his life miserable with her questions. She pestered him until he wished he were dead. Finally he told her the truth. He told her, Because I'm a Nazarite, no one has ever cut the hair on my head. I was dedicated to God before I was born. If my hair is ever shaved off, my strength will leave me. Then I'll be like any other man. When Delilah realized that he had told her everything, she sent a message to the Philistine rulers. Come here once more. She did this because Samson had told her everything. So the Philistine rulers arrived with the money in their hands. Delilah put Samson to sleep on her lap. She called for a man to shave off his seven braids. Then she began to torture him because his strength had left him. She said, Samson, the Philistines are attacking. Samson woke up. He thought, I'll get out of this as usual and shake myself free. He didn't realize that the Lord had left him. The Philistines grabbed him. They poked out his eyes and took him to the prison in Gaza. They tied him up with double chains and made him grind grain in the mill there. But his hair started to grow back as soon as it was shaved off. Now the Philistine rulers gathered together to offer a great sacrifice to their god, Dagon, and to celebrate. They said, Our god handed Samson, our enemy, over to us. When the people saw him, they praised their god. They said, Our god gave our enemy, destroyer of our land and killer of so many, into our very hand. When all the Philistines were enjoying themselves, they said, Call Samson in to entertain us. Samson was called from the prison, and he made them laugh. They made him stand between two columns. Samson told the young man who was leading him by the hand, Let me rest, let me touch the columns on which the building stands, so that I can lean against them. The building was filled with people. All the Philistine rulers were there. On the roof there were about three thousand men and women who watched Samson entertain them. Then Samson called to the Lord, Almighty Lord, please remember me. God, give me strength just one more time. Let me get even with the Philistines for at least one of my two eyes. Samson felt the two middle columns on which the building stood. With his right hand on one column and his left on the other, he pushed hard against them. Let me die with the Philistines, he said. With that, he pushed with all his might, and the building fell on the rulers and everyone in it. So he killed more Philistines when he died than he had when he was alive. Then his relatives and his father's whole family went to Gaza. They took Samson and buried him between Zorah and Eshtaol in the tomb of his father Manoah. Samson had judged Israel for twenty years.
Judges chapter 17. There was a man named Micah from the mountain region of Ephraim. He told his mother, You were upset about the eleven hundred pieces of silver that were taken from you. I even heard you put a curse on them. Here's the silver. I took it. His mother said, The Lord bless you, my son. So Micah gave the eleven hundred pieces of silver back to his mother. Then his mother said, I dedicate this silver to the Lord for my son's benefit. I want to make a carved idol and a metal idol. So now I'm giving the silver back to you. When Micah returned the silver to his mother, she took two hundred pieces of the silver and gave it to a silversmith. He made a carved idol and a metal idol. Both were placed in Micah's home. Micah owned a shrine. He also made an ephod and household idols. He ordained one of his sons to be his priest. In those days Israel didn't have a king. Everyone did whatever he considered right. There was a young man from Bethlehem in Judah. Bethlehem belongs to the family of Judah. He was a Levite, but was living in Bethlehem. This man left Bethlehem and Judah to live wherever he could find a place. He came to Micah's house in the mountains of Ephraim to carry on his work. Micah asked him, Where do you come from? The man told him, I'm a Levite from Bethlehem and Judah. I'm going to live wherever I can find a place. Micah told him, Stay with me. Be a father and a priest to me. I'll give you ten pieces of silver a year, a set of clothes, and your room and board. The Levite accepted the offer and agreed to live with Micah. The young man became like one of Micah's sons. Micah ordained the Levite, so the young man became his priest and a part of his family. Then Micah said, Now I know that the Lord will be good to me. I have a Levite for my priest. Judges chapter 18 In those days Israel didn't have a king, and in those days the tribe of Dan was looking for a place to live. Up to that time they had not received land as an inheritance among the tribes of Israel, as they should have. So all the families of Dan sent out five qualified men from Zorah and Eshtaol. They were sent to spy throughout the land and explore it. They were told, Go and explore the land. They came to Micah's house in the mountains of Ephraim. They spent the night there. While they were at Micah's house, they recognized the young Levite's voice. So they stopped to ask him, Who brought you here? What are you doing here? Why are you here? The Levite told them what Micah had done for him and added, Micah hired me, so I became his priest. They said to him, Please find out from God if our journey will be successful. The priest told them, Go in peace. The Lord approves of your journey. The five men left there and came to the city of Laish. They saw that the people there lived without a care. These people were like the people of Sidon. They were peaceful and secure. There was no one around who threatened to take away their property by force. They were far from the people of Sidon and totally independent. The men went back to their relatives in Zorah and Eshtaol. Their relatives asked them, What did you find? They replied, Get up, let's attack Laish. We saw the land, it's very good. Don't just sit there, go at once and take the land. When you get there, you will come to a secure people. The land is wide open to you. God will hand it over to you. It's a place where you will have everything you could want. So six hundred men from the tribe of Dan left Zorah and Eshtaol armed for war. They camped at Kiriath-Jerim in Judah. This is why the place just west of Kiriath-Jerim is still called Mahanedan, the camp of Dan, today. From there they marched to the mountains of Ephraim as far as Micah's house. Then the five men who had gone to spy throughout the land around Laish spoke up. They said to the other men of Dan, 
Do you know that there's an ephod, a carved idol, a metal idol, and household idols in these houses? What do you think we should do? So they stopped and entered Micah's house and greeted the young Levite. The six hundred armed men from Dan stood at the entrance to the city. The five men who had gone to spy throughout the land went inside. They took the carved idol, the ephod, the household idols, and the metal idol. The priest stood at the entrance to the city with the six hundred armed men. When these men entered Micah's house and took the carved idol, the ephod, the household idols, and the metal idol, the priest asked them, What are you doing? They told him, Keep quiet, don't say a word. Come with us and be our father and priest. Is it better for you to be a priest for one man's house or for a tribe in Israel and its families? The priest was content. He took the ephod, the household idols, and the carved idol, and went with the people. When they left, they put their children, livestock, and property in front of them. When they had already gone some distance from Micah's house, Micah's neighbors were called together to help him catch up to the people of Dan. They shouted at them, but the people of Dan turned around and said to Micah, What's your problem? Why did you call your neighbors together to attack us? Micah answered, You've taken away the gods I made as well as my priest. What do I have left? How can you say to me, What's your problem? The people of Dan replied, Don't make another sound, or some violent men will attack you. Then you and your family will lose your lives. The people of Dan went on their way. Micah saw they were stronger than he was, so he turned around and went home. The people of Dan took what Micah had made and the man who had become his priest and went to the city of Laish. They attacked a peaceful and secure people, killed them all with swords, and burned their city. There was no one to rescue them because their city was far from Sidon and totally independent. The city was in the valley that belonged to Beth Rehob. The people of Dan rebuilt the city and lived in it. They named the city Dan in honor of their ancestor Dan, Israel's son. Originally the city was called Laish. The people of Dan set up the carved idol for themselves. Jonathan, son of Gershom and grandson of Moses, and his descendants were priests for Dan's tribe until the people living in that land were taken captive. So they set up for themselves the carved idol Micah had made. It stayed there the whole time the house of God was at Shiloh. Judges chapter 19 in those days, when Israel didn't have a king, there was a Levite who lived in a remote area in the mountains of Ephraim. He took a woman from Bethlehem and Judah to be his concubine, but she was unfaithful to him. She left him and went to her father's home, to Bethlehem and Judah. When she had been there four months, her husband went to persuade her to come back home. He took along his servant and two donkeys. She took her husband into her father's house. Her father was thrilled to see him. He made the Levite stay there with him, celebrating for three days. On the fourth day they got up early in the morning to leave, but the woman's father told his son-in-law, Eat something to keep up your strength, and then you can go. So they both sat down and ate and drank together. The woman's father said to his son-in-law, Why don't you spend the night and enjoy yourself? When the Levite started to leave, his father-in-law urged him to stay another night, so he did. On the morning of the fifth day, the Levite got up early to leave. The woman's father said, Eat something to keep up your strength. So they spent the time eating until late afternoon. The Levite started to leave with his concubine and his servant, but his father-in-law said to him, It's already evening. Please stay another night. It's too late to leave now. Stay here and enjoy yourself. Tomorrow you can start out early to go home. But the Levite refused to spend another night. 
He left and traveled as far as Jebus, now called Jerusalem. He had with him two saddled donkeys and his concubine. By the time they were near Jebus, it was very late in the day. The Levite's servant said to him, Let's go spend the night in Jebus. The Levite told him, We'll never go into a city of foreigners. They're not Israelites. We'll go on to Gibeah. He told his servant, Let's go someplace else. We'll spend the night either at Gibeah or Ramah. So they went on. It was sunset by the time they arrived at Gibeah. Gibeah belonged to the tribe of Benjamin. They went to spend the night there. The Levite entered Gibeah and sat down in the city square because no one offered to take them home for the night. That evening an old man came into the city from his work in the fields. He was from the mountain region of Ephraim, but lived in Gibeah. The other people who lived there were from the tribe of Benjamin. He saw the traveler in the city square, so the old man asked, Where do you come from, and where are you going? The Levite replied, We're on our way from Bethlehem and Judah to a remote area in the mountains of Ephraim. That's where I'm from. I had gone to Bethlehem and Judah. Now I'm going to the Lord's house, but no one has offered to take me into his home. We have straw and fodder for our donkeys. I even have bread and wine for myself, the woman, and my servant. We have everything we need. Then the old man said, Welcome. Let me take care of your needs. Just don't spend the night in the city square. So he took the Levite to his house and fed the donkeys. After they washed, they ate and drank. While they were enjoying themselves, some worthless men from the city surrounded the house and pounded on the door. They told the old man, the owner of the house, Bring out the man who came to your house so that we can have sex with him. The owner went out to them. He told them, No, my friends, please don't do anything so evil. This man is a guest in my home. Don't do such a godless thing. Here, let me bring out my virgin daughter and this man's concubine. Rape them and do with them whatever you want. Just don't do such a godless thing to this man. But the men refused to listen to him. So the Levite grabbed his concubine and forced her outside. They had sex with her and abused her all night until morning. They let her go when the sun was coming up. At daybreak, the woman came to the door of the house where her husband was and collapsed. She was still there when it became light. Her husband got up in the morning, opened the doors of the house, and was about to leave. His wife, that is, his concubine, was lying at the door of the house with her hands on the doorstep. The Levite said to her, Get up, let's go. But she did not answer. So he put her on the donkey and left for home. When he arrived home, he got a knife. He took his concubine and cut her limb from limb into twelve pieces. Then he sent the pieces throughout the territories of Israel. Everyone who saw it said, Never has such a thing happened or been seen from the time the people of Israel came out of Egypt until today. Think about it, form a plan, and speak out. Judges, chapter 20. All the people of Israel, from Dan to Beersheba and from Gilead, came to Mizpah. The congregation stood united in the presence of the Lord. The leaders of all Israel's tribes took their places in the congregation of God's people. There were 400,000 foot soldiers with swords. The people of Benjamin heard that Israel had come to Mizpah. The people of Israel said, Tell us how such an evil thing could happen. The Levite, the husband of the murdered woman, answered, My concubine and I went to Gibeah in Benjamin to spend the night. The citizens of Gibeah came to attack me. They surrounded the house where I was staying that night. They intended to kill me, but instead they raped my concubine until she died. So I took my concubine and cut her into pieces. Then I sent the pieces throughout the territory of Israel. I did this because the citizens of Gibeah did this perverted and godless thing in Israel. 
All you people of Israel, tell me what you think. Give me your advice right now. All the people stood united, saying, None of us will go to his tent or return to his house. This is what we'll do to Gibeah. We'll decide by lot who should attack it. We'll take one-tenth of all the men from the tribes of Israel to get supplies for the troops. When the troops go to Gibeah in the territory of Benjamin, they can punish the citizens of Gibeah for the godless thing they did in Israel. So all the men of Israel assembled. They stood united against the city. The tribes of Israel sent men throughout the tribe of Benjamin. They asked, How could such an evil thing happen among you? Now hand over those worthless men in Gibeah. We must put them to death to rid ourselves of this kind of evil in Israel. But the men of Benjamin refused to listen to the men of Israel. So the men of Benjamin went from their towns and assembled at Gibeah to go to war with the men of Israel. That day, twenty-six thousand men armed with swords came from Benjamin's cities and organized for battle, along with seven hundred of Gibeah's best men. Out of all these troops, the best seven hundred were left-handed. Each could sling a stone at a hair and not miss. The men of Israel, Benjamin not included, totaled four hundred thousand soldiers armed with swords. The men of Israel went to Bethel. They asked God, Who will go first to fight Benjamin? The Lord answered, Judah will go first. The Israelites got up early in the morning and camped at Gibeah. So the men of Israel went to war with the men of Benjamin. The Israelites formed their battle line facing Gibeah. That day the men of Benjamin came out from Gibeah. They slaughtered 22,000 of Israel's men. But Israel's troops got reinforcements. They formed their battle line where they had formed it on the first day. The Israelites went and cried in the presence of the Lord until evening. They asked the Lord, Should we continue to wage war against our close relatives, the men of Benjamin? The Lord answered, Go fight them. On the second day, the Israelite troops advanced against Benjamin. Benjamin went out from Gibeah to meet them. This time they slaughtered 18,000 men from Israel who were armed with swords. Then all the men of Israel and all the troops went to Bethel. They sat there and cried in the presence of the Lord and fasted that day until evening. Then they sacrificed burnt offerings and fellowship offerings to the Lord. In those days, the ark of God's promise was at Bethel. Phinehas, son of Eleazar and grandson of Aaron, served in front of it. So the people of Israel asked the Lord, Should we continue to wage war against our close relatives, the men of Benjamin, or should we stop? The Lord answered, Go, tomorrow I will hand them over to you. Then Israel placed troops in ambush around Gibeah. On the third day the men of Israel went to fight the men of Benjamin. They formed their battle line facing Gibeah as they did before. The men of Benjamin went out to attack Israel's troops and were led away from the city. They started to inflict casualties as before. They killed about thirty men from Israel in the open country and on the roads to Bethel and Gibeah. The men of Benjamin shouted, They're defeated as before. But the men of Israel had said, Let's flee in order to lead them from the city to the roads. So the men of Israel left their positions. They formed their battle line at Baal Tamar. Meanwhile, those waiting in ambush rushed from their position to the west of Gibeah. Then ten thousand of Israel's best men attacked Gibeah. The battle was fierce, but Benjamin's men didn't realize their own evil was about to overtake them. So the Lord defeated them in front of Israel. On that day, the Israelites slaughtered 25,100 men from Benjamin who were armed with swords. Then the men of Benjamin realized they were defeated. The Israelites had allowed the men of Benjamin to take back some ground. The Israelites relied on those waiting in ambush near Gibeah. 
The men in ambush quickly charged toward Gibeah. They spread out in the city and killed everyone. The men of Israel had arranged with those waiting in ambush that they would make a big column of smoke rise from the city as a signal. Then the men of Israel would turn around in the battle. The men of Benjamin had already killed about thirty men of Israel. They even said, Israel is completely defeated, just like in the first battle. But when the column of smoke started to rise from the city, the men of Benjamin turned around and saw the whole city going up in smoke. Then the men of Israel turned around, and the men of Benjamin panicked. They realized that their evil had overtaken them. They turned in front of Israel toward the road to the desert. But the battle caught up with the men of Benjamin. Israel slaughtered whoever came out of the cities on the road to the desert. They closed in on the men of Benjamin and pursued them without stopping. They overtook them east of Gibeah. There were 18,000 experienced men from Benjamin who died in battle. The others turned and fled into the desert to Ramon Rock. But the men of Israel killed 5,000 more on the roads. They caught up with another 2,000 and killed them near Gidom. In all, 25,000 men from Benjamin who were armed with swords were killed that day. They were all experienced men. But 600 men turned and fled into the desert to Ramon Rock. They stayed at Ramon Rock for four months. Then the men of Israel went back to attack the rest of the territory of Benjamin. They killed all the people and cattle they found in every city. They also burned down every city they came to. Judges, chapter 21. The men of Israel had taken this oath in Mizpah. None of us will ever let our daughters marry anyone from Benjamin. The people went to Bethel and sat there in the presence of God until evening. They cried very loudly, Lord God of Israel, why has this happened among us? Why should one tribe be missing today in Israel? The next day the people got up early. They built an altar there and sacrificed burnt offerings and fellowship offerings. The people asked, Is there any family from Israel that did not take part in the assembly in the presence of the Lord? They had taken a solemn oath that whoever had not come into the presence of the Lord at Mizpah must be put to death. The people of Israel felt sorry for their close relatives, the men of Benjamin. They said, Today one tribe has been excluded from Israel. What will we do to provide wives for the men who are left? We swore to the Lord that we would not let any of our daughters marry them. Then they asked, Is there any family from Israel that did not come into the presence of the Lord at Mizpah? No one from Jabesh Gilead had come to the assembly in the camp. So they questioned the people, and there was no one there from Jabesh Gilead. The congregation sent 12,000 soldiers. They ordered them, Go and kill the people of Jabesh Gilead, including the women and children. These are your directions. Claim every female who had gone to bed with a man, and claim every male. Claim them for the Lord by destroying them. Among the people of Jabesh Gilead they found 400 unmarried women who had never gone to bed with a man. They brought them to the camp at Shiloh and Canaan. Then the whole congregation sent messengers to the men of Benjamin at Ramon Rock and offered them peace. So the men of Benjamin came back at that time. These men were given the women from Jabesh Gilead who had been kept alive. However, the congregation had not found enough women for all of them. The congregation felt sorry for the people of Benjamin because the Lord had broken the unity of the tribes of Israel. The leaders of the congregation asked, what should we do to provide wives for the men who are left, since the women in Benjamin have been killed? Some said, Benjamin's men who survived must be allowed to have families. No tribe of Israel should be wiped out. However, we can't give them any of our daughters as wives. The people of Israel have taken an oath that whoever gives wives to the men of Benjamin is under a curse. Others said, Every year the Lord's festival is held at Shiloh. 
Shiloh was north of Bethel, east of the highway, going from Bethel to Shechem and south of Lebanon. So they told the men of Benjamin, Hide in the vineyards and watch. When the young women of Shiloh come out to take part in the dances, come out of the vineyards. Each of you catch a woman from Shiloh to be your wife. Then go back to the territory of Benjamin. When their fathers or brothers come to us to complain, we'll tell them, Have pity on them, since we didn't provide a wife for each man in the battle. You won't be guilty because you didn't give them to the wives yourselves. The men of Benjamin did just that. They captured the number of wives they needed from the women who were dancing and went home. So they rebuilt their cities and lived in them. At that time the people of Israel left. Each man went to his tribe and family. They all went home. In those days Israel didn't have a king. Everyone did whatever he considered right. Ruth chapter 1 In the days when the judges were ruling, there was a famine in the land. A man from Bethlehem in Judah went with his wife and two sons to live for a while in the country of Moab. The man's name was Elimelech. His wife's name was Naomi. And the names of their two sons were Malon and Chilion. They were descendants of Ephrathah from Bethlehem in the territory of Judah. They went to the country of Moab and lived there. Now Naomi's husband Elimelech died, and she was left alone with her two sons. Each son married a woman from Moab. One son married a woman named Orpah, and the other son married a woman named Ruth. They lived there for about ten years. Then both Malin and Chilion died as well, so Naomi was left alone without her two sons or her husband. Naomi and her daughters-in-law started on the way back from the country of Moab. While they were still in Moab, she heard that the Lord had come to help his people and give them food. So she left the place where she had been living, and her two daughters-in-law went with her. They began to walk back along the road to the territory of Judah. Then Naomi said to her two daughters-in-law, Go back, each of you should go back to your mother's home. May the Lord be as kind to you as you were to me and to our loved ones who have died. May the Lord repay each of you, so that you may find security in a home with a husband. When she kissed them goodbye, they began to cry loudly. They said to her, We are going back with you to your people. But Naomi said, Go back, my daughters. Why should you go with me? Do I have any more sons in my womb who could be your husbands? Go back, my daughters. Go, because I am too old to get married again. If I said that I still have hope, and if I had a husband tonight, and even if I gave birth to sons, would you wait until they grew up and stay single just for them? No, my daughters, my bitterness is much worse than yours, because the Lord has sent me so much trouble. They began to cry loudly again. Then Orpah kissed her mother-in-law goodbye, but Ruth held on to her tightly. Naomi said, Look, your sister-in-law has gone back to her people and to her gods. Go back with your sister-in-law. But Ruth answered, Don't force me to leave you. Don't make me turn back from following you. Wherever you go, I will go, and wherever you stay, I will stay. Your people will be my people, and your God will be my God. Wherever you die, I will die, and I will be buried there with you. May the Lord strike me down if anything but death separates you and me. When Naomi saw that Ruth was determined to go with her, she ended the conversation. So both of them went on until they came to Bethlehem. When they entered Bethlehem, the whole town was excited about them. This can't be Naomi, can it? the women asked. She answered them, Don't call me Naomi, sweet. Call me Mara. 
bitter, because the Almighty has made my life very bitter. I went away full, but the Lord has brought me back empty. Why do you call me Naomi when the Lord has tormented me, and the Almighty has done evil to me? When Naomi came back from the country of Moab, Ruth, her Moabite daughter-in-law, came along with her. They happened to enter Bethlehem just when the barley harvest began. Ruth, Chapter 2 Naomi had a relative. He was from Elimelech's side of the family. He was a man of outstanding character named Boaz. Ruth, who was from Moab, said to Naomi, Please let me go to the field of anyone who will be kind to me. There I will gather the grain left behind by the reapers. Naomi told her, Go, my daughter. So Ruth went. She entered a field and gathered the grain left behind by the reapers. Now it happened that she ended up in the part of the field that belonged to Boaz, who was from Elimelech's family. Just then, Boaz was coming from Bethlehem, and he said to his reapers, May the Lord be with all of you. They answered him, May the Lord bless you. Boaz asked the young man in charge of his reapers, Who is this young woman? The young man answered, She's a young Moabite woman who came back with Naomi from the country of Moab. She said, Please let me gather grain. I will only gather among the bundles behind the reapers. So she came here and has been on her feet from daybreak until now. She just sat down this minute in the shelter. Boaz said to Ruth, Listen, my daughter, don't go in any other field to gather grain, and don't even leave this one. Stay here with my young women. Watch where my men are reaping, and follow the young women in that field. I have ordered my young men not to touch you. When you're thirsty, go to the jars and drink some of the water that the young men have drawn. Ruth immediately bowed down to the ground and said to him, Why are you so helpful? Why are you paying attention to me? I'm only a foreigner. Boaz answered her, People have told me about everything you have done for your mother-in-law after your husband died. They told me how you left your father and mother in the country where you were born. They also told me how you came to people that you didn't know before. May the Lord reward you for what you have done. May you receive a rich reward from the Lord God of Israel, under whose protection you have come for shelter. Ruth replied, Sir, may your kindness to me continue. You have comforted me and reassured me, and I am not even one of your own servants. When it was time to eat, Boaz told her, Come here, have some bread, and dip it into the sour wine. So she sat beside the reapers, and he handed her some roasted grain. She ate all she wanted, and had some left over. When she got up to gather grain, Boaz ordered his servants, Let her gather grain even among the bundles. Don't give her any problems. Even pull some grain out of the bundles and leave it for her to gather. Don't give her a hard time about it. So Ruth gathered grain in the field until evening. Then she separated the grain from its husks. She had about a half a bushel of barley. She picked it up and went into the town, and her mother-in-law saw what she had gathered. Ruth also took out what she had left over from lunch and gave it to Naomi. Her mother-in-law asked her, Where did you gather grain today? Just where did you work? May the man who paid attention to you be blessed. So Ruth told her mother-in-law about the person with whom she worked. She said, The man I worked with today is named Boaz. Naomi said to her daughter-in-law, May the Lord bless him. The Lord hasn't stopped being kind to people, living or dead. Then Naomi told her, That man is a relative of ours. He is a close relative, one of those responsible for taking care of us. Ruth, who was from Moab, told her, He also said to me, Stay with my younger workers until they have finished the harvest. 
Naomi told her daughter-in-law, Ruth, It's a good idea, my daughter, that you go out to the fields with his young women. If you go to someone else's field, you may be molested. So Ruth stayed with the young women who were working for Boaz. She gathered grain until both the barley harvest and the wheat harvest ended, and she continued to live with her mother-in-law. Ruth, chapter 3. Naomi, Ruth's mother-in-law, said to her, My daughter, shouldn't I try to look for a home that would be good for you? Isn't Boaz, whose young women you've been working with, our relative? He will be separating the barley from its husks on the threshing floor tonight. Freshen up, put on some perfume, dress up, and go down to the threshing floor. Don't let him know that you're there until he's finished eating and drinking. When he lies down, notice the place where he is lying. Then uncover his feet and lie down there. He will make it clear what you must do. Ruth answered her, I will do whatever you say. Ruth went to the threshing floor and did exactly as her mother-in-law had directed her. Boaz had eaten and drunk to his heart's content, so he went and lay at the edge of a pile of grain. Then she went over to him secretly, uncovered his feet, and lay down. At midnight the man was shivering. When he turned over, he was surprised to see a woman lying at his feet. "'Who are you?' he asked. She answered, "'I am Ruth.' Spread the corner of your garment over me, because you are a close relative who can take care of me. Boaz replied, May the Lord bless you, my daughter. This last kindness, that you didn't go after the younger men, whether rich or poor, is better than the first. Don't be afraid, my daughter. I will do whatever you say. The whole town knows that you are a woman who has strength of character. It is true that I am a close relative of yours, but there is a relative closer than I. Stay here tonight. In the morning, if he will agree to take care of you, that is good. He can take care of you. But if he does not wish to take care of you then, I solemnly swear as the Lord lives, I will take care of you myself. Lie down until morning. So Ruth lay at his feet until morning. Then she got up early before anyone could be recognized. At that moment, Boaz thought to himself, I hope that no one will ever know that this woman came to the threshing floor. Then Boaz told Ruth, Stretch out the cape you're wearing and hold it tight. So she held it tight while he measured out six measures of barley. Then he placed it on her back and went into the town. When Ruth returned, her mother-in-law Naomi asked, How did things go, my daughter? Ruth told Naomi everything the man had done for her. She said, He gave me these six measures of barley and told me not to come back to you empty-handed. Naomi replied, Stay here, my daughter, until you know how it turns out. The man won't rest unless he settles this matter today. Ruth, chapter 4. Boaz went to the city gate and sat there. Just then, the relative about whom he had spoken was passing by. Boaz said, Please come over here and sit, my friend. So the man came over and sat down. Then Boaz chose ten men who were leaders of that city and said, Sit here. So they also sat down. Boaz said to the man, Naomi, who has come back from the country of Moab, is selling the field that belonged to our relative Elimelech. So I said that I would inform you. Buy it in the presence of these men sitting here and in the presence of the leaders of our people. If you wish to buy back the property, you can buy back the property. But if you do not wish to buy back the property, tell me. Then I will know that I am next in line, because there is no other relative except me. The man said, I'll buy back the property. Boaz continued, When you buy the field from Naomi, you will also assume responsibility for the Moabite Ruth, the dead man's widow. This keeps the inheritance in the dead man's name. 
The man replied, "'In that case I cannot assume responsibility for her. If I did, I would ruin my inheritance. Take all my rights to buy back the property for yourself, because I cannot assume that responsibility.' This is the way it used to be in Israel concerning buying back property and exchanging goods. In order to make every matter legal, a man would take off his sandal and give it to the other man. This was the way a contract was publicly approved in Israel. So when the man said to Boaz, Buy it for yourself, he took off his sandal. Then Boaz said to the leaders and to all the people, Today you are witnesses that I have bought from Naomi all that belonged to Elimelech, and all that belonged to Chilion and Malon. In addition, I have bought as my wife the Moabite Ruth, Malon's widow, to keep the inheritance in the dead man's name. In this way the dead man's name will not be cut off from his relatives or from the public records. Today you are witnesses. All the people who were at the gate, including the leader, said, We are witnesses. May the Lord make this wife, who is coming into your home, like Rachel and Leah, both of whom built our family of Israel. So show your strength of character in Ephrathah, and make a name for yourself in Bethlehem. Also from the descendant whom the Lord will give you from this young woman, may your family become like the family of Perez, the son whom Tamar gave birth to for Judah. Then Boaz took Ruth home, and she became his wife. He slept with her, and the Lord gave her the ability to become pregnant. So she gave birth to a son." The women said to Naomi, Praise the Lord, who has remembered today to give you someone who will take care of you. The child's name will be famous in Israel. He will bring you a new life and support you in your old age. Your daughter-in-law, who loves you, is better to you than seven sons because she has given birth. Naomi took the child, held him on her lap, and became his guardian. The women in the neighborhood said, Naomi has a son, so they gave him the name Obed. He became the father of Jesse, who was the father of David. This is the account of Perez and his family. Perez was the father of Hezron. Hezron was the father of Ram. Ram was the father of Aminadab. Aminadab was the father of Nashon. Nashon was the father of Salmon. Salmon was the father of Boaz. Boaz was the father of Obed. Obed was the father of Jesse. Jesse was the father of David. 1 Samuel chapter 1 there was a man named Elkanah from Ramathaim Zophim in the mountains of Ephraim. He was the son of Jeroham, grandson of Elahu, great-grandson of Tohu, whose father was Zuf from the tribe of Ephraim. Elkanah had two wives, one named Hannah, the other Peninnah. Peninnah had children, but Hannah had none. Every year this man would go from his own city to worship and sacrifice to the Lord of armies at Shiloh. Eli's two sons, Hophni and Phinehas, served there as priests of the Lord. Whenever Elkanah offered a sacrifice, he would give portions of it to his wife Peninnah and all her sons and daughters. He would also give one portion to Hannah because he loved her, even though the Lord had kept her from having children. Because the Lord had made her unable to have children, her rival Peninnah tormented her endlessly in order to make her miserable. This happened year after year. Whenever Hannah went to the Lord's house, Peninnah would make her miserable, and Hannah would cry and not eat. Her husband Elkanah would ask her, Hannah, why are you crying? Why haven't you eaten? Why are you so downhearted? Don't I mean more to you than ten sons? One day, after Hannah had something to eat and drink in Shiloh, she got up. The priest Eli was sitting on a chair by the door of the Lord's temple. Though she was resentful, she prayed to the Lord while she cried. 
she made this vow, Lord of armies, if you will look at my misery, remember me, and give me a boy, then I will give him to you for as long as he lives. A razor will never be used on his head. While Hannah was praying a long time in front of the Lord, Eli was watching her mouth. She was praying silently. Her voice couldn't be heard. Only her lips were moving. Eli thought she was drunk. How long are you going to stay drunk? Eli asked her. Get rid of your wine. Hannah responded, No, sir, I'm not drunk. I'm depressed. I'm pouring out my heart to the Lord. Don't take me to be a good-for-nothing woman. I was praying like this because I've been troubled and tormented. Eli replied, Go in peace, and may the God of Israel grant your request. May you continue to be kind to me, she said. Then the woman went her way and ate. She was no longer sad. Early in the morning Elkanah and his family got up and worshipped in front of the Lord. Then they returned home to Ramah. Elkanah made love to his wife Hannah, and the Lord remembered her. Hannah became pregnant and gave birth to a son. She named him Samuel, God hears, because she said, I asked the Lord for him. To keep his vow, Elkanah and his entire household again went to offer the annual sacrifice to the Lord. But Hannah didn't go. She told her husband, I'll wait until the boy is weaned. Then I'll bring him and present him to the Lord, and he'll stay there permanently. Do what you think is best, her husband Elkanah told her. Wait until you've weaned him. May the Lord keep his word. The woman stayed and nursed her son until she had weaned him. As soon as she had weaned Samuel, she took him with her. She also brought a three-year-old bull, half a bushel of flour, and a full wineskin. She brought him to the Lord's house at Shiloh while the boy was still a child. Then the parents butchered the bull and brought the child to Eli. Sir, Hannah said, as sure as you live, I'm the woman who stood here next to you and prayed to the Lord. I prayed for this child, and the Lord granted my request. In return, I am giving him to the Lord. He will be dedicated to the Lord for his whole life. And they worshipped the Lord there. 1 Samuel chapter 2 Hannah prayed out loud, My heart finds joy in the Lord. My head is lifted to the Lord. My mouth mocks my enemies. I rejoice because you saved me. There is no one holy like the Lord. There is no one but you, O Lord. There is no rock like our God. Do not boast, or let arrogance come out of your mouth, because the Lord is a God of knowledge, and He weighs our actions. The bows of the warriors are broken, but those who stumble are armed with strength. Those who were well fed hire themselves out for a piece of bread, but those who were hungry hunger no more. Even the woman who was childless gives birth to seven children, but the mother of many children grieves all alone. The Lord kills, and He gives life. He makes people go down to the grave, and He raises them up again. The Lord causes poverty and grants wealth. He humbles people. He also promotes them. He raises the poor from the dust. He lifts the needy from the trash heap in order to make them sit with nobles and even to make them inherit a glorious throne. The pillars of the earth are the Lord's. He has set the world on them. He safeguards the steps of His faithful ones. But wicked people are silenced in darkness because humans cannot succeed by their own strength. Those who oppose the Lord are broken into pieces. He thunders at them from the heavens. The Lord judges the ends of the earth. He gives strength to His King and lifts the head of His Messiah. Then Elkanah went home to Ramah, but the boy Samuel served the Lord under the priest Eli. Eli's sons, Hophni and Phinehas, were good-for-nothing priests. They had no faith in the Lord. 
Now this was how the priests dealt with the people who were offering sacrifices. While the meat was boiling, the priest's servant would come with a three-pronged fork in his hand. Then he would stick it in the pot, kettle, cauldron, or pan. Whatever the fork brought up from the pot belonged to the priest. This is what the priests did in Shiloh to all the people of Israel who came there to sacrifice. But in the case of Eli's sons, even before the people burned the fat, their servants would come and say to the man who was sacrificing, Give the meat to the priest to roast. He doesn't want boiled meat from you. He wants it raw. If the man said to the servant, First let the fat be burned, then take as much as you want, the servant would say to him, Give it to me now, or I'll take it by force. The sin of Eli's sons was a serious matter to the Lord, because these men were treating the offerings made to the Lord with contempt. Meanwhile, Samuel continued to serve in front of the Lord. As a boy, he was already wearing a linen ephod. His mother would make him a robe and bring it to him every year when she went with her husband to offer the annual sacrifice. Eli would bless Elkanah and his wife and say, May the Lord give you children from this woman in place of the one which she has given to the Lord. Then they would go home. The Lord came to Hannah. She became pregnant five times and had three sons and two daughters. Meanwhile, the boy Samuel grew up in front of the Lord. Now Eli was very old, and he had heard everything that his sons were doing to all Israel, and that they were sleeping with the women who served at the gate of the tent of meeting. So he asked them, Why are you doing such things? I hear about your wicked ways from all these people. Sons, the report that I hear the people of the Lord spreading isn't good. If one person sins against another, God will take care of him. However, when a person sins against the Lord, who will pray for him? But they wouldn't listen to their father's warning. The Lord wanted to kill them. The boy Samuel continued to grow and gained the favor of the Lord and the people. Then a man of God came to Eli and said to him, This is what the Lord says. I revealed myself to your ancestors when they were under Pharaoh's control in Egypt. I chose one of your ancestors out of all the tribes of Israel to serve as my priest, to sacrifice burnt offerings on my altar, to burn incense, and to wear the ephod in my presence. And I gave your ancestors the right to keep portions of the sacrifices that the people of Israel burned on the altar. Why do you show no respect for my sacrifices and grain offerings that I have commanded people to make in my dwelling place? Why do you honor your sons more than me by making yourselves fat on the best of all the sacrifices offered by my people Israel? Therefore the Lord God of Israel declares, I certainly thought that your family and your father's family would always live in my presence. But now the Lord declares, I promise that I will honor those who honor me, and those who despise me will be considered insignificant. The time is coming when I will break your strength and the strength of your father's house, so that no one will grow old in your family. You will see distress in my dwelling place. In spite of the good that I do for Israel, no one in your family will live to an old age. Any man in your family whom I do not remove from my altar will have his eyes fail and he will be heartbroken, and all your descendants will die in the prime of life. What is going to happen to your two sons, Hophni and Phinehas, will be assigned to you. Both of them will die on the same day. Then I will appoint a faithful priest to serve me. He will do everything I want him to do. I will give him faithful descendants, and he will always live as my anointed one. Then anyone who is left from your household will bow down in front of him, to get a coin or a loaf of bread, and say, Please appoint me to one of the priestly classes, so that I may eat a piece of bread. First Samuel chapter 3 
The boy Samuel was serving the Lord under Eli. In those days a prophecy from the Lord was rare. Visions were infrequent. One night Eli was lying down in his room. His eyesight had begun to fail so that he couldn't see well. The lamp in God's temple hadn't gone out yet, and Samuel was asleep in the temple of the Lord where the ark of God was kept. Then the Lord called Samuel. Here I am, Samuel responded. He ran to Eli and said, Here I am, you called me. I didn't call you, Eli replied. Go back to bed. So Samuel went back and lay down. The Lord called Samuel again. Samuel got up, went to Eli, and said, Here I am, you called me. I didn't call you, son, he responded. Go back to bed. Samuel had no experience with the Lord, because the word of the Lord had not yet been revealed to him. The Lord called Samuel a third time. Samuel got up, went to Eli, and said, Here I am, you called me. Then Eli realized that the Lord was calling the boy. Go lie down, Eli told Samuel. When he calls, you say, Speak, Lord, I'm listening. So Samuel went and lay down in his room. The Lord came and stood there. He called as he had called the other times, Samuel, Samuel. And Samuel replied, Speak, I'm listening. Then the Lord said to Samuel, I'm going to do something in Israel that will make the ears of everyone who hears it ring. On that day I'm going to do to Eli and his family everything I said from beginning to end. I told him that I would hand down a permanent judgment against his household because he knew about his son's sin, that they were cursing God, but he didn't try to stop them. That is why I have taken an oath concerning Eli's family line. No offering or sacrifice will ever be able to make peace for the sins that Eli's family committed. Samuel remained in bed until morning. Then he opened the doors of the Lord's house. But Samuel was afraid to tell Eli about the vision. Then Eli called Samuel. Samuel, my son, he said. Here I am, he responded. What did the Lord tell you, he asked. Please don't hide anything from me. May God strike you dead if you hide anything he told you from me. So Samuel told Eli everything. Eli replied, He is the Lord. May he do what he thinks is right. Samuel grew up. The Lord was with him and didn't let any of his words go unfulfilled. All Israel from Dan to Beersheba knew Samuel was the Lord's appointed prophet. The Lord continued to appear in Shiloh, since the Lord revealed himself to Samuel in Shiloh through the word of the Lord, and Samuel spoke to all Israel. 1 Samuel chapter 4 Israel went to fight against the Philistines and camped near Ebenezer, while the Philistines camped at Aphek. The Philistines organized their troops to meet Israel in battle. As the battle spread, the Philistines defeated Israel and killed about 4,000 soldiers in the field. When the troops came back to the camp, the leaders of Israel asked, Why has the Lord used the Philistines to defeat us today? Let's get the ark of the Lord's promise from Shiloh so that he may be with us and save us from our enemies. The troops sent some men who brought back the ark of the promise of the Lord of armies, who is enthroned over the angels. Eli's two sons, Hophni and Phinehas, came along with God's ark. When the Lord's ark came into the camp, all Israel shouted so loudly that the earth rang with echoes. As the Philistines heard the noise, they asked, What's all this shouting in the Hebrew camp? The Philistines found out that the Lord's ark had come into the camp. Then they were frightened and said, A god has come into their camp. They also said, Oh no, nothing like this has ever happened before. We're in trouble now. Who can save us from the power of these mighty gods? 
These are the gods who struck the Egyptians with every kind of plague in the desert. Be strong, Philistines, and act like men, or else you will serve the Hebrews as they served you. Act like men and fight. The Philistines fought and defeated Israel. Every Israelite soldier fled to his tent. It was a major defeat in which 30,000 Israelite foot soldiers died. The Ark of God was captured. Both of Eli's sons, Hophni and Phinehas, died. A man from the tribe of Benjamin ran from the front line of the battle. He went to Shiloh that day with his clothes torn and dirt on his head. When he arrived, Eli was sitting on a chair beside the road watching. He was worried about the Ark of God. The man went into the city to tell the news. The whole city cried out. Hearing the cry, Eli asked, What is this commotion? So the man went quickly to tell Eli the news. Eli was ninety-eight years old, and his eyesight had failed so that he couldn't see. The man told Eli, I'm the one who came from the battle. I fled from the front line today. What happened, son? Eli asked. Israel fled from the Philistines, the messenger answered. Our troops suffered heavy casualties. Your two sons, Hophni and Phinehas, also are dead, and the Ark of God has been captured. When the messenger mentioned the Ark of God, Eli fell from his chair backwards toward the gate. He broke his neck, and he died. The man was old and heavy. He had judged Israel for forty years. His daughter-in-law, Phinehas's wife, was pregnant. When she heard the news that the Ark of God had been captured and her father-in-law and her husband were dead, she went into labor prematurely and gave birth to a son. As she was dying, the women helping her said, Don't be afraid. You've given birth to a son. But she didn't answer or pay attention. She called the boy Ichabod, no glory, saying, Israel's glory is gone, because the ark of God had been captured and because her father-in-law and her husband died. Israel's glory is gone, because the ark of God has been captured, she said. 1 Samuel chapter 5 After the Philistines had captured the ark of God, they brought it from Ebenezer to Ashdod. They brought it into the temple of Dagon and placed it beside Dagon. Early the next day the people of Ashdod saw that Dagon had fallen forward on the ground in front of the Lord's ark. So they took Dagon and put him back in his place. But the next morning they saw that Dagon had again fallen forward on the ground in front of the Lord's ark. Dagon's head and his two hands were cut off and were lying on the temple's threshold. The rest of Dagon's body was intact. This is why the priest of Dagon and everyone else who comes into Dagon's temple in Ashdod still don't step on the temple's threshold. The Lord dealt harshly with the people of Ashdod. He destroyed them by striking the people in the vicinity of Ashdod with tumors. When the people of Ashdod realized what was happening, they said, The ark of the God of Israel must not stay with us, because their God is dealing harshly with us and our God Dagon. The people of Ashdod called together all the Philistine rulers. What should we do with the ark of the God of Israel, they asked. The ark of the God of Israel must be taken to Gath, the rulers said, so the people took the ark of the God of Israel there. But after they had moved it, the Lord threw the city into a great panic. He struck all the important and unimportant people in the city, and they were covered with tumors. So the people of Gath sent the ark of God to Ekron. But when the ark of God came to Ekron, the people of Ekron cried out, They brought the ark of the God of Israel here to kill us. They called together all the Philistine rulers, Send the ark of the God of Israel away, they said. Let it go back to its own place so that it won't kill us or our people. There was a fear of death throughout the city where God dealt with them very harshly. 
The people who didn't die were struck with tumors, so the cry of the city went up to heaven. 1 Samuel chapter 6 The ark of the Lord had been in Philistine territory seven months when the Philistines called for priests and people skilled in explaining omens. The Philistines asked, What should we do with the ark of the Lord? Tell us how to return it to its proper place. The priest answered, If you're returning the ark of the God of Israel, don't send it away empty, but by all means return it to its proper place with a guilt offering. Then you will be healed, and you will know why he would not turn his anger away from you. The Philistines asked, What kind of guilt offering should we give him? The priest answered, Five gold tumors and five gold mice for the five Philistine rulers, because all of you and your rulers suffer from the same plague. Make models of your tumors and your mice, which are destroying the country, and give glory to the God of Israel. Maybe he will no longer be so hard on you, your gods, and your country. Why should you be as stubborn as the Egyptians and their Pharaoh were? After he toyed with the Egyptians, didn't they send the Israelites on their way? Now get a new cart ready for two dairy cows that have never been yoked. Hitch the cows to the cart. Take their calves away and leave them in their stall. Take the ark of the Lord and put it on the cart. Put the gold objects which you are giving him as a guilt offering in a box beside the ark. Send the cart on its way, but then watch where it goes. If it goes up the road to its own country toward Beth Shemesh, then this disaster is the Lord's doing. But if not, we'll know it wasn't his hand that struck us, but what happened to us was an accident. The people did this. They took two dairy cows, hitched them to a cart, and shut the calves in the stall. They put the ark of the Lord and the box containing the gold mice and the models of their hemorrhoids on the cart. The cows went straight up the road to Beth Shemesh. Continually mooing, they stayed on the road and didn't turn right or left. The rulers of the Philistines followed them to the border of Beth Shemesh. The people of Beth Shemesh were harvesting wheat in the valley. When they looked up and saw the ark, they were overjoyed. The cart came into the field of Joshua of Beth Shemesh and stopped there by a large rock. The people chopped up the wood of the cart and sacrificed the cows as a burnt offering to the Lord. The Levites had already taken down from the cart the ark of the Lord and the box which contained the gold objects and put them on the large rock. The people of Beth Shemesh presented burnt offerings and sacrifices to the Lord that day. After the five rulers of the Philistines saw this, they went back to Ekron that same day. The gold hemorrhoids which the Philistines sent as a guilt offering to the Lord were for the cities of Ashdod, Gaza, Ashkelon, Gath, and Ekron. And the number of gold mice was the same as the number of Philistine cities belonging to the five rulers, including walled cities and farm villages. The large rock on which they put the ark of the Lord is a witness. It is still there today in the field of Joshua of Beth Shemesh. God struck down some of the people from Beth Shemesh because they looked inside the ark of the Lord. He struck down seventy people. The people mourned because the Lord struck them with such a great blow. The people of Beth Shemesh asked, Who can stand before the Lord, this holy God, and to which people will he go when he leaves us? They sent messengers to the people living in Kiriath-Jerim to say, The Philistines have brought back the ark of the Lord. Come and take it back with you. 1 Samuel chapter 7 The men of Kiriath-Jerim came to take the Lord's ark and brought it into Abinadab's house on the hill. They gave Abinadab's son Eleazar the holy occupation of guarding the Lord's ark. A long time passed after the ark came to stay at Kiriath-Jerim. For twenty years the entire nation of Israel mournfully sought the Lord. 
Samuel told the entire nation of Israel, If you are returning to the Lord wholeheartedly, get rid of the foreign gods you have, including the statues of the goddess Astarte. Make a commitment to the Lord and serve only Him. Then He will rescue you from the Philistines. So the Israelites got rid of the statues of Baal and Astarte and served only the Lord. Then Samuel said, Gather all the Israelites together at Mizpah, and I will pray to the Lord for you. So the Israelites gathered together at Mizpah. They drew some water, poured it out in front of the Lord, and fasted that day. They confessed, We have sinned against the Lord. So Samuel judged Israel in Mizpah. When the Philistines heard that the Israelites had gathered at Mizpah, the Philistine rulers came to attack Israel. The Israelites heard about the Philistine plan and were afraid of them. The Israelites said to Samuel, Don't turn a deaf ear to us. Don't stop crying to the Lord our God for us. Ask him to save us from the Philistines. Then Samuel took a lamb, one still feeding on milk, and sacrificed it as a burnt offering to the Lord. Samuel cried to the Lord on behalf of Israel, and the Lord answered him. While Samuel was sacrificing the burnt offering, the Philistines came to fight against Israel. On that day the Lord thundered loudly at the Philistines and threw them into such confusion that they were defeated by Israel. Israel's soldiers left Mizpah, pursued the Philistines, and killed them as far as Bethkar. Then Samuel took a rock and set it up between Mizpah and Shen. He named it Ebenezer, Rock of Help, and said, Until now the Lord has helped us. The power of the Philistines was crushed, so they didn't come into Israel's territory again. The Lord restrained the Philistines as long as Samuel lived. The cities between Ekron and Gath, which the Philistines took from Israel, were returned to Israel. And Israel recovered the territory controlled by these cities from the Philistines. There was also peace between Israel and the Amorites. Samuel judged Israel as long as he lived. Every year he went around to Bethel, Gilgal, and Mizpah in order to judge Israel in all those places. Then he would return home to Ramah. There, too, he judged Israel, and in Ramah he built an altar to the Lord. 1 Samuel chapter 8 When Samuel was old, he made his sons judges over Israel. The name of his firstborn son was Joel. The name of his second son was Abijah. They were judges in Beersheba. The sons didn't follow their father's example, but turned to dishonest ways of making money. They took bribes and denied people justice. Then all the leaders of Israel gathered together and came to Samuel at Ramah. They told him, You're old, and your sons aren't following your example. Now appoint a king to judge us, so that we will be like all the other nations. But Samuel considered it wrong for them to request a king to judge them. So Samuel prayed to the Lord. The Lord told Samuel, Listen to everything the people are saying to you. They haven't rejected you. They've rejected me. They're doing just what they've done since I took them out of Egypt, leaving me and serving other gods. Listen to them now, but be sure to warn them and tell them about the rights of a king. Then Samuel told the people who had asked him for a king everything the Lord had said. Samuel said, These are the rights of a king. He will draft your sons, make them serve on his chariots and horses, and make them run ahead of his chariots. He will appoint them to be his officers over one thousand or over fifty soldiers, to plow his ground and harvest his crops, and to make weapons and equipment for his chariots. He will take your daughters and have them make perfumes, cook, and bake. He will take the best of your fields, vineyards, and olive orchards and give them to his officials. He will take a tenth of your grain and wine and give it to his aides and officials. 
He will take your male and female slaves, your best cattle, and your donkeys for his own use. He will take a tenth of your flocks. In addition, you will be his servants. When that day comes, you will cry out because of the king whom you have chosen for yourselves. The Lord will not answer you when that day comes. But the people refused to listen to Samuel. They said, No, we want a king. Then we too will be like all the other nations. Our king will judge us, lead us out to war, and fight our battles. When Samuel heard everything the people had to say, he reported it privately to the Lord. The Lord told him, Listen to them, and give them a king. Then Samuel told the people of Israel, Go back to your own cities. 1 Samuel chapter 9 there was a man from the tribe of Benjamin whose name was Kish. He was a son of Abiel, grandson of Zeror, and great-grandson of Bekorath, whose father was Aphia, a descendant of Benjamin. Kish was a powerful man. He had a son named Saul, a handsome young man. No man in Israel was more handsome than Saul. He stood a head taller than everyone else. When some donkeys belonging to Saul's father Kish were lost, Kish told Saul, Take one of the servants with you and go look for the donkeys. They went through the mountains of Ephraim and the region of Shalisha without finding the donkeys. Then Saul and his servant went through the regions of Shalim, but the donkeys weren't there. The men went through the territory of Benjamin, but still didn't find them. When they came to the territory of Zuf, Saul told his servant who was with him, Let's go back, or my father will stop worrying about the donkeys and worry about us instead. The servant responded, there's a man of God in this city, a highly respected man. Everything he says is sure to happen. Let's go there. Maybe he'll tell us which way we should go. If we go, Saul asked his servant, what could we bring the man, since the food in our sacks is gone? There's no present we can bring the man of God. What do we have? The servant again asked Saul, Look here. I have one-tenth of an ounce of silver. I'll give it to the man of God. Then he'll tell us where to find the donkeys. Formerly in Israel, when a person went to ask God a question, he would say, Come, let's go to the seer, because a person we now call a prophet used to be called a seer. Saul told his servant, That's a good idea. Come on, let's go. They went to the city where the man of God was. As they were going up the hill to the city, they met girls coming out to get water. They asked the girls, Is the seer here? The girls answered, He's there ahead of you. Hurry, he just went into the city today since the people are offering a sacrifice on the worship site. As you go into the city, you can find him before he goes to the worship site to eat. The people will not eat until he comes, since he blesses the sacrifice. Then those who are invited may eat. Go, you should be able to find him now. So Saul and his servant went to the city. As they entered it, Samuel was coming toward them on his way to the worship site. Now the Lord had revealed the following message to Samuel one day before Saul came. About this time tomorrow I will send you a man from the territory of Benjamin. Anoint him to be ruler of my people Israel. He will save my people from the Philistines, because I've seen my people suffering and their cry has come to me. When Samuel noticed Saul, the Lord told him, There's the man I told you about. This man will govern my people. Saul approached Samuel inside the gateway and said, Please tell me where the seer's house is. Samuel replied, I'm the seer. Go ahead of me to the worship site. You will eat with me today. In the morning I'll let you go after I tell you all that's on your mind. Don't trouble yourself about the donkeys that were lost three days ago because they've been found. Who will have all that is desirable in Israel? Won't it be you and your father's family? Saul replied, 
I am a man from the tribe of Benjamin, the smallest tribe of Israel. My family is the most insignificant of all the families of the tribe of Benjamin, so why are you saying such things to me? Samuel brought Saul and his servant to the banquet hall and had them sit at the head of the guests. About thirty people. Samuel said to the cook, Bring me the portion of the sacrificial meat that I gave you and told you to put aside. So the cook picked up the leg and thigh and laid it in front of Saul. Samuel said, This was kept in order to be laid in front of you. Eat it. When I invited people to the feast, I set it aside for you. Saul ate with Samuel that day. Then they left the worship site for the city. They spread blankets on the roof for Saul, and he slept there. At dawn, Samuel called to Saul on the roof, Get up. It's time for me to send you away. Saul got up, and both he and Samuel went outside. As they were going toward the city limits, Samuel told Saul, Have the servant go ahead of you. He went ahead. But you stay here, and I will tell you God's word. 1 Samuel chapter 10 Samuel took a flask of olive oil, poured it on Saul's head, kissed him, and said, The Lord has anointed you to be ruler of his people Israel. You will rule his people and save them from all their enemies. This will be the sign that the Lord has anointed you to be ruler of his people. When you leave me today, two men will be at Rachel's grave on the border of Benjamin at Zelzah. They'll tell you, We found the donkeys you went looking for. Your father no longer cares about them. Instead, he's worried about you. He keeps asking, What can I do to find my son? Keep going until you come to the oak tree at Tabor. There you will find three men on their way to worship God at Bethel. One will be carrying three young goats, one will be carrying three loaves of bread, and one will be carrying a full wineskin. They will greet you and give you two loaves of bread which you should accept from them. After that, you will come to the hill of God, where the Philistines have a military post. When you arrive at the city, you will meet a group of prophets prophesying as they come from the worship site. They will be led by men playing a harp, a tambourine, a flute, and a lyre. Then the Lord's Spirit will come over you. You will be a different person while you prophesy with them. When these signs happen to you, do what you must, because God is with you. Go ahead of me to Gilgal. Then I will come to sacrifice burnt offerings and make fellowship offerings. Wait seven days until I come to tell you what to do. When Saul turned around to leave Samuel, God changed Saul's attitude. That day all these signs happened. When Saul came to the hill, a group of prophets came to meet him, and God's Spirit came over him. He prophesied with them. When all who had known him before saw how he prophesied with the prophets, the people asked one another, What has happened to the son of Kish? Is Saul one of the prophets? But a man from that place asked, But who's the chief prophet? So it became a proverb, Is Saul one of the prophets? And when he had finished prophesying, he came to the worship site. Saul's uncle asked him and his servant, Where did you go? Saul answered, To look for the donkeys, and when we couldn't find them, we went to Samuel. Saul's uncle said, Please tell me what Samuel said to you. He assured us the donkeys had been found. Saul answered his uncle, but Saul didn't tell him what Samuel said about his becoming king. Samuel called the people to come into the presence of the Lord at Mizpah. He said to the Israelites, This is what the Lord God of Israel says. I brought Israel out of Egypt and rescued you from the power of the Egyptians and all the kings who were oppressing you. But now you have rejected your God, who saves you from all your troubles and distresses. You said, No, place a king over us. Now then, stand in front of the Lord by your tribes and family groups. 
When Samuel had all the tribes of Israel come forward, the tribe of Benjamin was chosen. When he had the tribe of Benjamin come forward by families, the family of Matri was chosen. Then Saul, the son of Kish, was chosen. They looked for him, but couldn't find him. They asked the Lord again, Has he arrived here yet? The Lord answered, He's hiding among the baggage. They ran and got him from there. As he stood among the people, he was a head taller than everyone else. Samuel asked the people, Do you see whom the Lord has chosen? There is no one like him among all the people. Then all the people shouted, Long live the king! Samuel explained the laws concerning kingship to the people. He wrote the laws on a scroll which he placed in front of the Lord. Then Samuel sent the people back to their homes. Saul also went home to Gibeah. With him went some soldiers whose hearts God had touched. However, some good-for-nothing people asked, How can this man save us? They despised him and wouldn't bring him presents, but he didn't respond. 1 Samuel chapter 11 King Nahash of Ammon was severely oppressing the tribes of God and Reuben. He would poke out everyone's right eye and allow no one to rescue Israel. There was no one among the Israelites east of the Jordan River whose right eye King Nahash of Ammon had not poked out. However, 7,000 men had escaped from the Ammonites and gone to Jabesh-Gilead. About a month later, Nahash the Ammonite blockaded Jabesh-Gilead. All the men of Jabesh said to Nahash, Make a treaty with us and we'll serve you. Nahash the Ammonite responded, I'll make a treaty with you on this one condition. I'll poke out everyone's right eye and bring disgrace on all Israel. The leaders of Jabesh told him, Give us seven days so that we can send messengers throughout the territory of Israel. And if there's no one to save us, we'll surrender to you. The messengers came to Saul's town, Gibeah. When they told the people the news, the people cried loudly. Just then Saul was coming from the field behind some oxen. Why are these people crying? Saul asked. So they told him the news about the men of Jabesh. When he heard this news, God's Spirit came over him, and he became very angry. Saul took a pair of oxen, cut them in pieces, and sent them by messengers throughout the territory of Israel with the following message. This is what will be done to the oxen of anyone who doesn't follow Saul and Samuel into battle. So the people became terrified by the Lord, and they came out united behind Saul. When Saul counted them at Bezek, there were 300,000 troops from Israel and 30,000 troops from Judah. They told the messengers who had come, This is what you are to say to the men of Jabesh-Gilead. Tomorrow, by the time the sun gets hot, you will be rescued. When the men of Jabesh received the message, they were overjoyed. They said to Nahash, Tomorrow we'll surrender to you, and you may do to us whatever you think is right. The next day Saul arranged the army in three divisions. They came into the Ammonite camp during the morning hours and continued to defeat the Ammonites until it got hot that day. The survivors were so scattered that no two of them were left together. Then the people asked Samuel, Who said that Saul shouldn't rule us? Let us have them, and we'll kill them. But Saul said, No one will be killed today, because today the Lord saved Israel. Samuel told the troops, Come, let's go to Gilgal, and there acknowledge Saul's kingship. Then all the troops went to Gilgal, and there in the Lord's presence they confirmed Saul as their king. There they sacrificed fellowship offerings to the Lord. Saul and all of Israel's soldiers celebrated. 1 Samuel chapter 12 Then Samuel said to all Israel, I have listened to everything you have said to me and appointed a king over you. And now here is the king who will lead you. 
I am old and gray, but my sons are with you. I have led you from my youth until this day. Here I am. Testify against me in front of the Lord and in front of his anointed king. Did I take anyone's ox? Did I take anyone's donkey? Did I cheat or oppress anyone? Did I take a bribe from anyone to look the other way? If so, I will give it all back. They answered, You didn't cheat us, oppress us, or take anything from anyone. Samuel told them, The Lord is a witness to what you've said, and his anointed king is a witness today that you found nothing in my hands. He is a witness, they answered. Samuel told the people, The Lord appointed Moses and Aaron and brought your ancestors out of Egypt. Now stand up while I put you on trial in front of the Lord, and cite all the righteous things the Lord did for you and your ancestors. When your ancestors went with Jacob to Egypt and were oppressed, they cried out to the Lord, who sent Moses and Aaron to bring them out of Egypt. The Lord settled them in this place. But they forgot the Lord their God, so he handed them over to Sisera, who was the commander of the army of Hazor, to the Philistines, and to the king of Moab. All of them fought against your ancestors. Then they cried out to the Lord and said, We have sinned. We have abandoned the Lord and served other gods and goddesses, the Baals and the Astartes. But rescue us from our enemies now, and we will serve you. Then the Lord sent Jerubal, Bedan, Jephthah, and Samuel, and rescued you from your enemies on every side, so that you could live securely. But when you saw King Nahash of Ammon coming to attack you, you told me, No, a king should rule over us, though the Lord your God was your king. Now here is the king you have chosen, the one you asked for. See, the Lord has put a king over you. If you fear the Lord, serve him, obey him, and don't rebel against what he says. Then you and your king will follow the Lord your God. But if you don't obey the Lord, if you rebel against what he says, then the Lord will be against you as he was against your ancestors. Now then stand still and watch this great thing the Lord is going to do right before your eyes. Isn't the wheat being harvested today? I will call on the Lord, and he'll send thunder and rain. Then you will realize what a wicked thing you did in the Lord's presence when you asked for a king. Then Samuel called on the Lord. That day the Lord sent thunder and rain so that all the people feared the Lord and Samuel very much. All the people pleaded with Samuel, Pray to the Lord your God for us, so that we will not die. We have added another evil thing to all our other sins by asking for a king. Don't be afraid, Samuel told the people. You did do all these evil things, but don't turn away from the Lord. Instead, serve the Lord wholeheartedly. Don't turn away to follow other gods. They can't help or rescue you, because they don't exist. For the sake of his great name, the Lord will not abandon his people, because the Lord wants to make you his people. It would be unthinkable for me to sin against the Lord by failing to pray for you. I will go on teaching you the way that is good and right. Fear the Lord and serve him sincerely. Consider the great things he did for you. But if you go on doing what is evil, you and your king will be wiped out. 1 Samuel chapter 13 Saul was thirty years old when he became king, and he was king of Israel forty-two years. Saul chose three thousand men from Israel. Two thousand of them were stationed with Saul at Michmash and in the mountains of Bethel, and one thousand were stationed with Jonathan at Gibeah in Benjamin. But the rest of the people he sent home. Jonathan defeated the Philistine troops at Geba, and the Philistines heard about it. With the sounding of the ram's horn throughout the land, Saul announced, 
Listen, Hebrews. So all Israel listened. I, Saul, have defeated the Philistine troops, and now Israel has become offensive to the Philistines. All the troops rallied behind Saul at Gilgal. The Philistines assembled to fight against Israel. They had thirty thousand chariots, six thousand horsemen, and as many soldiers as the sand on the seashore. They camped at Michmash, east of Beth Aven. When the Israelites saw they were in trouble because the army was hard-pressed, they hid in caves, in thorny thickets, among rocks, in pits, and in cisterns. Some Hebrews crossed the Jordan River into the territory of God and Gilead. But Saul remained at Gilgal, and all the people who followed him trembled in fear. He waited seven days, the time set by Samuel. But Samuel had not come to Gilgal, and the troops began to scatter. Then Saul said, Bring me the animals for the burnt offering and the fellowship offerings. So he sacrificed the burnt offering. As he finished sacrificing the burnt offering, Samuel came, and Saul went to greet him. Samuel asked, What have you done? Saul replied, I saw the troops were scattering. You didn't come when you said you would, and the Philistines were assembling at Michmash. So I thought, Now the Philistines will come against me at Gilgal, but I haven't sought the Lord's favor. I felt pressured into sacrificing the burnt offering. You did a foolish thing, Samuel told Saul. You didn't follow the command of the Lord your God. If you had, the Lord would have established your kingdom over Israel permanently. But now your kingdom will not last. The Lord has searched for a man after his own heart. The Lord has appointed him as ruler of his people, because you didn't follow the command of the Lord. Samuel left Gilgal. The rest of the people followed Saul to meet the soldiers. They went from Gilgal to Gibeah in Benjamin, where Saul counted the troops who were still with him, about six hundred men. Saul, his son Jonathan, and the troops who were with them stayed at Geba in Benjamin while the Philistines camped at Michmash. Raiding parties left the Philistine camp in three columns. One column turned onto the road to Ophrah, to the region of Shual. Another column turned onto the road to Beth-Horon and one turned onto the road toward the region that overlooks the valley of Zebuim and the desert. No blacksmith could be found in the entire land of Israel. In this way, the Philistines kept the Hebrews from making swords and spears. Everyone in Israel had to go to the Philistines to sharpen the blade of his plow, his mattock, axe, or sickle. The price was a pim for plow blades and mattocks, and one-tenth of an ounce of silver to sharpen a mattock or set a metal point on a cattle prod. So on the day of battle, not one sword or spear could be found among all the troops who were with Saul and Jonathan. But Saul and his son Jonathan had them. Now Philistine troops had gone out to the pass at Michmash. 1 Samuel chapter 14 One day Saul's son Jonathan said to his armor-bearer, Let's go to the Philistine military post on the other side. But Jonathan didn't tell his father he was going. Saul was staying on the outskirts of Gibeah under a pomegranate tree at Migron. He had with him about six hundred men, in addition to Ahijah, the son of Ichabod's brother Ahitub, who was the son of Phinehas and the grandson of Eli, the Lord's priest at Shiloh. Ahijah was wearing the priestly ephod. The troops didn't know Jonathan had left. There was a cliff on each side of the mountain pass where Jonathan searched for a way to cross over to attack the Philistine military post. The name of one cliff was Bozes, and the name of the other was Sene. One cliff stood like a pillar on the north-facing Michmash, the other stood south-facing Geba. Jonathan said to his armor-bearer, Let's go to the military post of these uncircumcised people. 
Maybe the Lord will act on our behalf. The Lord can win a victory with a few men as well as with many. His armor-bearer answered him, Do whatever you have in mind. Go ahead. I agree with you. Jonathan continued, Listen, we'll cross over to the Philistines and show ourselves to them. If they say to us, Stay where you are until we come to you, then we'll stay where we are and not go up to them. But if they say to us, Come up here, then we'll go up, because that will be our sign that the Lord has handed them over to us. So both of them showed themselves to the Philistine troops. The Philistine said, Look, some Hebrews are coming out of the holes they were hiding in. Come up here, the men of the military post said to Jonathan and his armor-bearer. We have something to show you. Jonathan told his armor-bearer, Follow me to the military post, because the Lord has handed the troops over to Israel. Jonathan climbed up the cliff, and his armor-bearer followed him. Jonathan struck down the Philistines. His armor-bearer, who was behind him, finished killing them. In their first slaughter, Jonathan and his armor-bearer killed about twenty men within about a hundred yards. There was panic among the army in the field and all the troops in the military post. The raiding party also trembled in fear. The earth shook, and there was a panic sent from God. Saul's watchman at Gibeah in Benjamin could see the crowd in the Philistine camp dispersing in all directions. Look around, Saul told the troops who were with him, and see who has left our camp. They looked and found that Jonathan and his armor-bearer were not there. Then Saul said to Ahijah, Bring the priestly ephod, because Ahijah carried the ephod in front of Israel that day. While Saul was talking to the priest, the confusion in the Philistine camp grew worse and worse. Then Saul said to the priest, Remove your hand from the ephod. Saul and all the troops with him assembled and went into battle. They found Philistine soldiers killing their fellow soldiers in wild confusion. The Hebrews, who had been with the Philistines before this, and had been stationed in the camp, now joined the Israelites, who were with Saul and Jonathan. When all the men of Israel, who had been hiding in the mountains of Ephraim, heard that the Philistines were fleeing, they also pursued the Philistines in battle. So the Lord saved Israel that day. Now the battle moved beyond beth Aven. Israel's soldiers were driven hard that day. Saul made the troops swear, Cursed is anyone who eats food before the evening comes and before I've gotten revenge on my enemies. So none of his troops tasted any food. The entire land had honeycombs, and there was honey on the ground. When the troops entered the woods, the honey was flowing, but no one put his hand to his mouth, because the troops were afraid of violating their oath. Jonathan hadn't heard that his father forced the troops to take an oath, so he stretched out the tip of the staff he had in his hand and dipped it in the honeycomb. When he put it to his mouth, his eyes lit up. Then one of the soldiers told him, Your father forced the troops to take a solemn oath. Cursed is anyone who eats food today. Now the army was exhausted. Jonathan answered, My father has brought trouble to the country. See how my eyes lit up when I tasted a little of this honey? If only the troops had eaten some of the enemy's food which they found today, we would have killed more Philistines. That day they struck down the Philistines from Michmash to Aijalon, but the troops were thoroughly exhausted. So the troops seized the Philistines' belongings. They took sheep, cows, and calves, and butchered them on the ground. The troops ate the meat with blood still in it. Some soldiers told Saul, The troops are sinning against the Lord by eating meat with blood in it. Saul replied, You have been unfaithful. Roll a large rock over to me now. Then Saul said, Spread out through the troops and tell them, Each of you bring me your ox or your sheep, and butcher it here, and eat.' 
but don't sin against the Lord by eating meat with blood in it. So each of the soldiers brought his ox with him that night and butchered it there. Then Saul built an altar to the Lord. It was the first time he had built an altar to the Lord. Saul said to his men, Let's attack the Philistines tonight and take their possessions until the light of dawn, and let's not leave any of them alive. Do whatever you think is best, they responded. But the priest said, Let's consult God first. Then Saul asked God, Should I attack the Philistines? Will you hand them over to Israel? But he received no answer that day. So Saul ordered all the leaders of the troops, Come here, find out what sin was committed today. I solemnly swear as the Lord and Savior of Israel lives, even if it is my son Jonathan who did it, he must die. But not one of the soldiers replied. Saul told all Israel, You stand on one side, and my son Jonathan and I will stand on the other side. Do whatever you think is best, the troops responded to Saul. Then Saul said to the Lord, O God of Israel, why didn't you answer me today? If this sin is mine or my son Jonathan's, Lord God of Israel, let the priest draw Urim. But if it is in your people Israel, let him draw Thummim. Jonathan and Saul were chosen, and the people were freed from guilt. Choose between me and my son Jonathan, Saul said. Then Jonathan was chosen. Tell me, Saul asked Jonathan, what did you do? So Jonathan told him, I tasted a little honey on the tip of the staff I had in my hand, and for that I am to die? Saul said, May God do worse things to me than are in this curse if you do not die, Jonathan. The troops asked Saul, Should Jonathan die after he has won this great victory in Israel? That would be unthinkable. We solemnly swear as the Lord lives, not a single hair of his head will fall to the ground, because he has done this with God's help today. So the troops rescued Jonathan from death. Then Saul stopped pursuing the Philistines. So the Philistines returned to their own land. When Saul had taken over the kingdom of Israel, he fought against his enemies on every side, against Moab, the Ammonites, Edom, the kings of Zobah, and the Philistines. Wherever he turned, he was victorious. He acted forcefully and defeated Amalek. He rescued Israel from the enemies who looted their possessions. Saul's sons were Jonathan, Ishvi, and Malkeshua. The names of his two daughters were Merab, the firstborn daughter, and Michal, the younger daughter. The name of Saul's wife was Ahinoam, daughter of Ahimaaz. The name of the commander of his army was Abner, the son of Saul's uncle Ner. Kish, Saul's father, and Ner, Abner's father, were the sons of Abiel. There was intense warfare with the Philistines as long as Saul lived. Whenever any warrior or any skilled fighting man came to Saul's attention, Saul would enlist him in the army. 1 Samuel chapter 15 Samuel told Saul, the Lord sent me to anoint you king of his people Israel. Now listen to the Lord's words. This is what the Lord of armies says. I will punish Amalek for what they did to Israel. They blocked Israel's way after the Israelites came from Egypt. Now go and attack Amalek. Claim everything they have for God by destroying it. Don't spare them, but kill men and women, infants and children, cows and sheep, camels and donkeys. Saul organized the troops, and he counted them at Tel Aim, two hundred thousand foot soldiers and ten thousand men from Judah. Saul went to the city of Amalek and set an ambush in the valley. Then Saul said to the Kenites, Get away from the Amalekites so that I won't destroy you with them. You were kind to all the Israelites when they came from Egypt. So the Kenites left the Amalekites. Saul attacked the Amalekites from Havilah to Shur, east of Egypt. 
He captured King Agag of Amalek alive, but he claimed all the people for God by destroying them. Saul and the army spared Agog and the best sheep and cows, the fattened animals, the lambs, and all the best property. The army refused to claim them for God by destroying them. But everything that was worthless and weak the army did claim for God and destroy. Then the Lord spoke to Samuel, I regret that I made Saul king. He turned away from me and did not carry out my instructions. Samuel was angry, and he prayed to the Lord all night. Early in the morning he got up to meet Saul. Samuel was told, Saul went to Carmel to set up a monument in his honor. Then he left there and went to Gilgal. Samuel came to Saul, who said, The Lord bless you, I carried out the Lord's instructions. However, Samuel asked, But what is this sound of sheep in my ears and this sound of cows that I hear? Saul answered, well, The army brought them from the Amalekites. They spared the best sheep and cows to sacrifice to the Lord your God, but the rest they claimed for God and destroyed. Be quiet. Samuel told Saul, and let me tell you what the Lord told me last night. Speak, Saul replied. Samuel said, Even though you don't consider yourself great, you were the head of Israel's tribes. The Lord anointed you king of Israel, and the Lord sent you on a mission. He said, Claim those sinners, the Amalekites, for me by destroying them, wage war against them until they're wiped out. Why didn't you obey the Lord? Why have you taken their belongings and done what the Lord considers evil? But I did obey the Lord, Saul told Samuel. I went where the Lord sent me, brought back King Agag of Amalek, and claimed the Amalekites for God. The army took some of their belongings. The best sheep and cows were claimed for God in order to sacrifice to the Lord your God in Gilgal. Then Samuel said, is the Lord as delighted with burnt offerings and sacrifices as he would be with your obedience? To follow instructions is better than to sacrifice. To obey is better than sacrificing the fat of rams. The sin of black magic is rebellion. Wickedness and idolatry are arrogance. Because you rejected the word of the Lord, he rejects you as king. Then Saul told Samuel, I have sinned by not following the Lord's command or your instructions. I was afraid of the people and listened to them. Now please forgive my sin and come back with me so that I may worship the Lord. Samuel told Saul, I will not go back with you because you rejected what the Lord told you. So the Lord rejects you as king of Israel. When Samuel turned to leave, Saul grabbed the hem of his robe and it tore. Samuel told him, The Lord has torn the kingdom of Israel from you today. He has given it to your neighbor who is better than you. In addition, the glory of Israel does not lie or change his mind, because he is not a mortal who changes his mind. Saul replied, I have sinned. Now please honor me in front of the leaders of my people and in front of Israel. Come back with me and let me worship the Lord your God. Then Samuel turned and followed Saul, and Saul worshipped the Lord. Bring me King Agog of Amalek, Samuel said. Agog came to him trembling. Surely the bitterness of death is past, Agog said. But Samuel said, As your sword made women childless, so your mother will be made childless among women. And Samuel cut Agog in pieces in the presence of the Lord at Gilgal. Then Samuel went to Ramah, and Saul went to his home at Gibeah. Samuel didn't see Saul again before he died, though Samuel mourned over Saul, and the Lord regretted that he had made Saul king of Israel. 1 Samuel chapter 16 the Lord asked Samuel, How long are you going to mourn for Saul now that I have rejected him as king of Israel? 
fill a flask with oil and go. I'm sending you to Jesse in Bethlehem, because I've selected one of his sons to be king. How can I go? Samuel asked. When Saul hears about it, he'll kill me. The Lord said, Take a heifer with you and say, I've come to sacrifice to the Lord. Invite Jesse to the sacrifice. I will reveal to you what you should do, and you will anoint for me the one I point out to you. Samuel did what the Lord told him. When he came to Bethlehem, the leaders of the city, trembling with fear, greeted him and said, May peace be with you. Greetings, he replied. I have come to sacrifice to the Lord. Perform the ceremonies to make yourselves holy, and come with me to the sacrifice. He performed the ceremonies for Jesse and his sons, and invited them to the sacrifice. When they came, he saw Eliab and thought, Certainly, here in the Lord's presence is his anointed king. But the Lord told Samuel, Don't look at his appearance, or how tall he is, because I have rejected him. God does not see as humans see. Humans look at outward appearances, but the Lord looks into the heart. Then Jesse called Abinadab and brought him to Samuel. But Samuel said, The Lord has not chosen this one either. Then Jesse had Shammah come to Samuel. The Lord has not chosen this one either, Samuel said. So Jesse brought seven more of his sons to Samuel, but Samuel told Jesse, The Lord has not chosen any of these. Are these all the sons you have? There's still the youngest one, Jesse answered. He's tending the sheep. Samuel told Jesse, Send someone to get him. We won't continue until he gets here. So Jesse sent for him. He had a healthy complexion, attractive eyes, and a handsome appearance. The Lord said, Go ahead, anoint him. He is the one. Samuel took the flask of olive oil and anointed David in the presence of his brothers. The Lord's Spirit came over David and stayed with him from that day on. Then Samuel left for Ramah. Now the Lord's Spirit had left Saul, and an evil spirit from the Lord tormented him. Saul's officials told him, An evil spirit from God is tormenting you. Your Majesty, why don't you command us to look for a man who can play the lyre well? When the evil spirit from God comes to you, he'll strum a tune and you'll feel better. Saul told his officials, Please find me a man who can play well and bring him to me. One of the officials said, I know one of Jesse's sons from Bethlehem who can play well. He's a courageous man and a warrior. He has a way with words. He is handsome, and the Lord is with him. Saul sent messengers to Jesse to say, Send me your son David, who is with the sheep. Jesse took six bushels of bread, a full wineskin, and a young goat, and sent them with his son David to Saul. David came to Saul and served him. Saul loved him very much and made David his armor-bearer. Saul sent this message to Jesse, Please let David stay with me, because I have grown fond of him. Whenever God's Spirit came to Saul, David took the lyre and strummed a tune. Saul got relief from his terror and felt better, and the evil spirit left him. 1 Samuel chapter 17 The Philistines assembled their armies for war. They assembled at Soko, which is in Judah, and camped between Soko and Azekah at Ephes-Damim. So Saul and the army of Israel assembled and camped in the Elah Valley. They formed a battle line to fight the Philistines. The Philistines were stationed on a hill on one side, and the Israelites were stationed on a hill on the other side. There was a ravine between the two of them. The Philistine army's champion came out of their camp. His name was Goliath, from Gath. He was ten feet tall. 
He had a bronze helmet on his head, and he wore a bronze coat of armor scales weighing 125 pounds. On his legs he had bronze shin guards, and on his back a bronze javelin. The shaft of his spear was like the beam used by weavers. The head of his spear was made of fifteen pounds of iron. The man who carried his shield walked ahead of him. Goliath stood and called to the Israelites, Why do you form a battle line? Am I not a Philistine, and aren't you Saul's servants? Choose a man, and let him come down to fight me. If he can fight me and kill me, then we will be your slaves. But if I overpower him and kill him, then you will be our slaves and serve us. The Philistine added, I challenge the Israelite battle line today. Send out a man so that we can fight each other. When Saul and all the Israelites heard what this Philistine said, they were gripped with fear. David was the son of a man named Jesse from the region of Ephrath and the city of Bethlehem in Judah. Jesse had eight sons, and in Saul's day he was an old man. Jesse's three oldest sons joined Saul's army for the battle. The firstborn was Eliab, the second was Abinadab, the third was Shammah, and David was the youngest. The three oldest joined Saul's army. David went back and forth from Saul's camp to Bethlehem, where he tended his father's flock. Each morning and evening for forty days the Philistine came forward and made his challenge. Jesse told his son David, Take this half bushel of roasted grain and these ten loaves of bread to your brothers. Take them to your brothers in the camp right away, and take these ten cheeses to the captain of the regiment. See how your brothers are doing, and bring back some news about them. They, along with Saul and all the soldiers of Israel, are in the Elah Valley fighting the Philistines. David got up early in the morning and had someone else watch the sheep. He took the food and went as Jesse ordered him. He went to the camp as the army was going out to the battle line, shouting their war cry. Israel and the Philistines formed their battle lines facing each other. David left the supplies behind in the hands of the quartermaster, ran to the battle line, and greeted his brothers. While he was talking to them, the Philistine champion Goliath from Gath came from the battle lines of the Philistines. He repeated his words, and David heard them. When all the men of Israel saw Goliath, they fled from him because they were terrified. The men of Israel said, Did you see that man coming from the Philistine lines? He keeps coming to challenge Israel. The king will make the man who kills this Philistine very rich. He will give his daughter to that man to marry and elevate the social status of his family. David asked the men who were standing near him, What will be done for the man who kills this Philistine and gets rid of Israel's disgrace? Who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should challenge the army of the living God? The soldiers repeated to David how the man who kills Goliath would be treated. Eliab, David's oldest brother, heard David talking to the men. Then Eliab became angry with David. Why did you come here? he asked him. And with whom did you leave those few sheep in the wilderness? I know how overconfident and headstrong you are. You came here just to see the battle. What have I done now? David snapped at him. Didn't I merely ask a question? He turned to face another man and asked the same question, and the other soldiers gave him the same answer. What David said was overheard and reported to Saul, who then sent for him. David told Saul, No one should be discouraged because of this. I will go and fight this Philistine. Saul responded to David, You can't fight this Philistine. You're just a boy. But he's been a warrior since he was your age. David replied to Saul, I am a shepherd for my father's sheep. 
Whenever a lion or a bear came and carried off a sheep from the flock, I went after it, struck it, and rescued the sheep from its mouth. If it attacked me, I took hold of its mane, struck it, and killed it. I have killed lions and bears, and this uncircumcised Philistine will be like one of them, because he has challenged the army of the living God. David added, The Lord who saved me from the lion and the bear will save me from this Philistine. Go, Saul told David, and may the Lord be with you. Saul put his battle tunic on David. He put a bronze helmet on David's head and dressed him in armor. David fastened Saul's sword over his clothes and tried to walk, but he had never practiced doing this. I can't walk in these things, David told Saul. I've never had any practice doing this. So David took all those things off. He took his stick with him, picked out five smooth stones from the riverbed, and put them in his shepherd's bag. With a sling in his hand, he approached the Philistine. The Philistine, preceded by the man carrying his shield, was coming closer and closer to David. When the Philistine got a good look at David, he despised him. After all, David was a young man with a healthy complexion and good looks. The Philistine asked David, "'Am I a dog that you come to attack me with sticks?' So the Philistine called on his gods to curse David. "'Come on,' the Philistine told David, "'and I'll give your body to the birds.' David told the Philistine, "'You come to me with sword and spear and javelin, "'but I come to you in the name of the Lord of armies, "'the God of the army of Israel, whom you have insulted. "'Today the Lord will hand you over to me. "'I will strike you down and cut off your head, "'and this day I will give the dead bodies "'of the Philistine army to the birds and the wild animals. "'The whole world will know that Israel has a God.' Then everyone gathered here will know that the Lord can save without sword or spear, because the Lord determines every battle's outcome. He will hand all of you over to us. When the Philistine moved closer in order to attack, David quickly ran toward the opposing battle line to attack the Philistine. Then David reached into his bag, took out a stone, hurled it from his sling, and struck the Philistine in the forehead. The stone sank into Goliath's forehead, and he fell to the ground on his face. So using only a sling and a stone, David proved to be stronger than the Philistine. David struck down and killed the Philistine, even though David didn't have a sword in his hand. David ran and stood over the Philistine. He took Goliath's sword, pulled it out of its sheath, and made certain the Philistine was dead by cutting off his head. When the Philistines saw their hero had been killed, they fled. Then the soldiers of Israel and Judah rose up, shouted a battle cry, and pursued the Philistines as far as Gath and to the gates of Ekron. Wounded Philistines lay on the road of Sha'araim and all the way to Gath and Ekron. When the Israelites came back from their pursuit of the Philistines, they looted all the goods in the Philistine camp. David took the Philistines' head and brought it to Jerusalem, but he kept Goliath's armor in his tent. As Saul watched David going out against the Philistine, he asked Abner, the commander of the army, Abner, whose son is this young man? Abner answered, I solemnly swear as you live, your majesty, I don't know. The king said, Find out whose son this young man is. When David returned from killing the Philistine, Abner brought him to Saul. David had the Philistine's head in his hand. Saul asked him, Whose son are you, young man? The son of your servant Jesse of Bethlehem, David answered. 1 Samuel chapter 18. David finished talking to Saul. After that, Jonathan became David's closest friend. He loved David as much as he loved himself. From that day on, Saul kept David as his servant, 
and didn't let him go back to his family. So Jonathan made a pledge of mutual loyalty with David because he loved him as much as he loved himself. Jonathan took off the coat he had on and gave it to David along with his battle tunic, his sword, his bow, and his belt. David was successful wherever Saul sent him. Saul put him in charge of the fighting men. This pleased all the people, including Saul's officials. As they arrived, David was returning from a campaign against the Philistines. Women from all of Israel's cities came to meet King Saul. They sang and danced, accompanied by tambourines, joyful music, and triangles. The women who were celebrating sang, Saul has defeated thousands, but David tens of thousands. Saul became very angry because he considered this saying to be insulting. To David they credit tens of thousands, he said, but to me they credit only a few thousand. The only thing left for David is my kingdom. From that day on Saul kept an eye on David. The next day an evil spirit from God seized Saul. He began to prophesy in his house while David strummed a tune on the lyre, as he did every day. Now Saul had a spear in his hand. He raised the spear and thought, I'll nail David to the wall. But David got away from him twice. Saul was afraid of David because the Lord was with David, but had left Saul. So he kept David away. He made David captain of a regiment. David led the troops out to battle and back again. He was successful in everything he undertook because the Lord was with him. Saul noticed how very successful he was and became even more afraid of him. Everyone in Israel and Judah loved David because he led them in and out of battle. Finally, Saul said to David, Here is my oldest daughter Merab. I will give her to you as your wife if you prove yourself to be a warrior for me and fight the Lord's battles. Saul thought, I must not lay a hand on him. Let the Philistines do that. Who am I? David asked Saul. And how important are my relatives or my father's family in Israel that I should be the king's son-in-law? But when the time came to give Saul's daughter Merab to David, she was married to Adriel from Meholah. However, Saul's daughter Michal fell in love with David. When Saul was told about it, the news pleased him. Saul thought, I'll give her to David. She will trap him, and the Philistines will get him. So he said to David a second time, You will now be my son-in-law. Saul ordered his officers, Talk to David in private. Tell him, The king likes you, and all his officers are fond of you. Become the king's son-in-law. When Saul's officers made it a point to say this, David asked, Do you think it's easy to become the king's son-in-law? I am a poor and unimportant person. When the officers told Saul what David had said, Saul replied, Tell David the king doesn't want any payment for the bride except one hundred Philistine foreskins, so that he can get revenge on his enemies. In this way Saul planned to have David fall into the hands of the Philistines. When his officers told David this, David concluded that it was acceptable to become the king's son-in-law. Before the time was up, David and his men went out and struck down two hundred Philistines. David brought the foreskins, and they counted them out for the king so that David could become the king's son-in-law. Then Saul gave him his daughter Michal as his wife. Saul realized that the Lord was with David, and that his daughter Michal loved David. Then Saul was even more afraid of David, and so Saul became David's constant enemy. The Philistine generals still went out to fight Israel, but whenever they went out to fight, David was more successful than the rest of Saul's officers. So David gained a good reputation. First Samuel chapter 19 
Saul told his son Jonathan and all his officers to kill David. But Saul's son Jonathan was very fond of David, so he reported to David, My father Saul is trying to kill you. Please be careful tomorrow morning. Go into hiding and stay out of sight. I'll go out and stand beside my father in the field where you'll be. I'll speak with my father about you. If I find out anything, I'll tell you. So Jonathan spoke well of David to his father Saul. You should not commit a sin against your servant David, he said. He hasn't sinned against you. Instead, he has done some very fine things for you. He risked his life and killed the Philistine Goliath, and the Lord gave all Israel a great victory. When you saw it, you rejoiced. Why then should you sin by shedding David's innocent blood for no reason? Saul listened to Jonathan, and he promised, I solemnly swear as the Lord lives he will not be killed. Jonathan told David all of this. Then Jonathan took David to Saul. So David was returned to his former status in Saul's court. When war broke out again, David went to fight the Philistines. He defeated them so decisively that they fled from him. Then an evil spirit from the Lord came over Saul while he was sitting in his house with his spear in his hand. David was strumming a tune. Saul tried to nail David to the wall with his spear, but David dodged it, and Saul's spear struck the wall. David fled, escaping from Saul that night. Saul sent messengers to watch David's house and kill him in the morning. But Michal, David's wife, advised him, If you don't save yourself tonight, you'll be dead tomorrow. So Michal lowered David through a window, and he ran away to escape. Then Michal took some idols, laid them in the bed, put a goat-hair blanket at its head, and covered the idols with a garment. When Saul sent messengers to get David, Michal said, He's sick. Then Saul sent the messengers back to see David themselves. Saul told them, Bring him here to me in his bed so that I can kill him. The messengers came, and there on the bed were the idols with the goat-hair blanket at its head. Saul asked Michal, Why did you betray me by sending my enemy away so that he could escape? Michal answered, He told me, Let me go. Why should I kill you? David escaped and went to Samuel at Ramah. He told Samuel everything Saul had done to him. Then he and Samuel went to the pastures and lived there. When it was reported to Saul that David was in the pastures at Ramah, Saul sent messengers to get David. But when they saw a group of prophets prophesying with Samuel serving as their leader, God's Spirit came over Saul's messengers so that they also prophesied. When they told Saul about this, he sent other messengers, but they also prophesied. Saul even sent a third group of messengers, but they also prophesied. Then he went to Ramah himself. He went as far as the big cistern in Seku and asked the people, Where are Samuel and David? He was told, Over there in the pastures at Ramah. As he went toward the pastures at Ramah, God's Spirit came over him too. He continued his journey, prophesying until he came to the pastures at Ramah. He even took off his clothes as he prophesied in front of Samuel and lay there naked all day and all night. This is where the saying, Is Saul one of the prophets? came from. First Samuel chapter 20 David fled from the pastures at Ramah, came to Jonathan and asked, What have I done? What crime am I guilty of? What sin have I committed against your father that he's trying to kill me? Jonathan answered, That's unthinkable. You're not going to die. My father does nothing without telling me whether it's important or not. Why should my father hide this from me? It's just not that way. But David took an oath, saying, your father certainly knows that you support me, so he said to himself, 
Jonathan must not know about this. It will bring him distress. But I solemnly swear, as the Lord and you live, I'm only one step away from death. Jonathan said to David, I'll do whatever you say. David replied, Tomorrow is the new moon festival, when I should sit and eat at the king's table. But let me go and hide in the countryside for two more nights. If your father really misses me, tell him David repeatedly begged me to let him run to Bethlehem, his hometown, because his relatives are offering the annual sacrifice there. If he says good, then I will be safe. But if he gets really angry, then you'll know for sure that he has decided to harm me. Now, be kind to me. After all, you forced me into an agreement with the Lord. If I have committed any crime, kill me yourself. Why bother taking me to your father? Jonathan answered, That's unthinkable. If I knew for sure that my father had decided to harm you, I would have told you about it. Then David asked, Who will tell me whether or not your father gives you a harsh answer? Jonathan said, Let's go out into the country. So they went out into the country. As the Lord God of Israel is my witness, Jonathan continued, I'll find out in the next two or three days how my father feels about you. If he does feel kindly toward you, then I will send someone to tell you. If my father plans to harm you, and I fail to tell you and send you away safely, may the Lord harm me even more. May the Lord be with you as he used to be with my father. But as long as I live, promise me that you will show me kindness because of the Lord. And even when I die, never stop being kind to my family. The Lord will wipe each of David's enemies off the face of the earth, at that time, if Jonathan's name is cut off from David's family, then may the Lord punish David's house. Once again Jonathan swore an oath to David because of his love for David. He loved David as much as he loved himself. Tomorrow is the new moon festival, Jonathan told him, and you will be missed when your seat is empty. The day after tomorrow you will be missed even more. So go to the place where you hid on that other occasion and stay by the rock. I will shoot three arrows from beside it toward a target. Then I will send out a boy and say, Go find the arrows. Now if I tell the boy, Look, the arrows are next to you, get them, then come back with me. You will be safe, and there will be no trouble. I swear it as the Lord lives. But if I tell the boy, The arrows are next to you, then go, because the Lord has sent you away. We have made a promise to each other, and the Lord is a witness between you and me forever. So David hid in the countryside. When the new moon festival came, King Saul sat down to eat the festival meal. He sat in his usual seat by the wall, while Jonathan stood. Abner sat beside Saul, but David's place was empty. Saul didn't say anything that day, thinking, Something has happened to him so that he's unclean. He must be unclean. But on the second day of the month, David's place was still empty. Saul asked his son, Jonathan, why hasn't Jesse's son come to the meal either yesterday or today? Jonathan answered Saul, David repeatedly begged me to let him go to Bethlehem. David said to me, Please let me go. Our relatives will offer a sacrifice in the city, and my brother ordered me to be there. If you will permit it, please let me go to see my brothers. This is why he hasn't come to your banquet. Then Saul got angry with Jonathan. Son of a crooked and rebellious woman, he called Jonathan. I know you've sided with Jesse's son. You have no shame. You act as if you are your mother's son, but not mine. As long as Jesse's son lives on earth, neither you nor your right to be king is secure. Now send some men to bring him to me. He's a dead man. Jonathan asked his father, Why should he be killed? What has he done? 
Saul raised his spear to strike him. Then Jonathan knew his father was determined to kill David. Jonathan got up from the table very angry and ate nothing that second day of the month. He was worried sick about David because Jonathan had been humiliated by his own father. In the morning Jonathan went out to the country to the place he and David had agreed on. Jonathan had a young boy with him. Run, he told the boy. Please find the arrows I shoot. The boy ran, and Jonathan shot the arrow over him. When the boy reached the place where Jonathan's arrow had landed, Jonathan called after him, The arrows are next to you. Jonathan added, Quick, hurry up, don't stand there. Jonathan's young servant gathered the arrows and came to his master. The boy had no idea what was going on, but Jonathan and David understood. Then Jonathan gave his weapons to the boy. He told the boy, Take them back into town. When the boy had left, David came out from the south side of the rock and quickly bowed down three times with his face touching the ground. Then they kissed each other and cried together, but David cried the loudest. Go in peace, Jonathan told David. We have both taken an oath in the Lord's name, saying, The Lord will be a witness between me and you and between my descendants and your descendants forever. So David left, and Jonathan went into the city. 1 Samuel chapter 21 David went to the priest Ahimelech at Nob. Ahimelech was trembling as he went to meet David. Why are you alone? he asked David. Why is no one with you? The king ordered me to do something, David answered the priest Ahimelech. And he told me, No one must know anything about this mission I'm sending you on and about the orders I've given you. I've stationed my young men at a certain place, David added. Now, what do you have to eat? Give me five loaves of bread or whatever you can find. I don't have any ordinary bread, the chief priest answered David, but there is holy bread for the young men if they haven't had sexual intercourse today. David answered the priest, Of course, women have been kept away from us as usual when we go on a mission. The young men's bodies are kept holy even on ordinary campaigns. How much more then will their bodies be holy today? So the priest gave him holy bread, because he only had the bread of the presence, which had been taken from the Lord's presence and replaced with warm bread that day. That same day one of Saul's servants, who was obligated to stay in the Lord's presence, was there. His name was Doeg, a foreman for Saul's shepherds. He was from Edom. David asked Ahimelech, Don't you have a spear or a sword here? I didn't take either my spear or any other weapon, because the king's business was urgent. The chief priest answered, the sword of Goliath, the Philistine, whom you killed in the Elah Valley, is here. It is wrapped in a cloth behind the priestly ephod. If you want to take it, take it. There's no other weapon here. David said, There's none like it. Let me have the sword. That day David left. He was still fleeing from Saul when he came to King Achish of Gath. Achish's officers asked, Isn't this David the king of his country? He's the one they used to sing about in the dances. Saul has defeated thousands, but David tens of thousands. When David realized what they had said, he was terrified of King Achish of Gath. So he changed his behavior when he was in their presence and acted insane as long as he was under their authority. He scribbled on the doors of the city gate and let his spit run down his beard. Achish said to his officers, Look at him. Don't you see that he's insane? Why bring him to me? Do I have such a shortage of lunatics that you bring this man so that he can show me he is insane? Does this man have to come into my house? 1 Samuel chapter 22 So David escaped from that place and fled to the cave at Adullam. 
When his brothers and all the rest of his family heard about it, they went to him. Then everyone who was in trouble, in debt, or bitter about life joined him, and he became their commander. There were about four hundred men with him. From there David went to Mizpah in Moab. He asked the king of Moab, Please let my father and mother stay with you until I know what God is going to do for me. He brought them to the king of Moab, and they stayed with him as long as David was living in his fortified camp. Don't live in your fortified camp, the prophet God told David. Go to the land of Judah. So David went to the forest of Herith. Saul heard that David and his men had been found. Saul was staying in Gibeah under the tamarisk tree at the worship site with his spear in his hand and all his officials standing around him. He said to his officials, Listen here, men of Benjamin. Will Jesse's son give every one of you fields and vineyards? Will he make you all officers over a regiment or a battalion of soldiers? All of you are plotting against me, and no one informed me when my son entered into a loyalty pledge with Jesse's son. No one felt sorry for me and informed me that my son has encouraged my servant David to ambush me, as he's doing now. Then Doeg from Edom, standing with Saul's officials, answered him, I saw Jesse's son when he came to Ahimelech, Ahitub's son, in Nob. Ahimelech prayed to the Lord for David and gave him food and the sword of Goliath the Philistine. Then the king sent for the priest Ahimelech, who was Ahitub's son, and his entire family who were the priests in Nob. All of them came to the king. Saul said, Listen here, son of Ahitub. Yes, sir, he responded. Saul asked him, Why did you and Jesse's son plot against me? You gave him bread and a sword and prayed to God for him so that he can rise up against me and ambush me as he's doing now. Ahimelech asked the king, But whom among all your officials can you trust like David, your majesty? He's your son-in-law, the commander of your bodyguard. He's honored in your own household. Is this the first time I have prayed to God for him? Not at all. You shouldn't blame me or anyone in my family for this. I knew nothing at all about this. Saul said, Ahimelech, you and your entire family are going to die. Turn and kill the Lord's priests because they support David the king said to the runners standing around him. When they knew David was fleeing, they didn't inform me. But the king's men refused to attack the Lord's priests. So the king said to Doeg, You turn and attack the priests. Doeg from Edom turned and attacked the priests, and that day he killed eighty-five men wearing the linen priestly ephod. He also killed the people of Nob, the city of the priests. Using his sword, he killed men and women, children and infants, cows, donkeys, and sheep. But Ahimelech, Ahitub's son, had one son who escaped. His name was Abiathar. He fled to David. Abiathar told David that Saul had killed the Lord's priests. David told Abiathar, I knew that day when Doeg from Edom was there that he would be certain to tell Saul, I am the one responsible for all the lives of your family. Stay with me. Don't be afraid. The one who is seeking my life is also seeking your life. However, you will be under my protection. 1 Samuel chapter 23. David was asked, Did you know that the Philistines are fighting against Keilah? They are robbing the threshing floors. David asked the Lord, Should I go and attack these Philistines? Go, the Lord told David, attack the Philistines and save Keilah. David's men told him, We're afraid of staying here in Judah. How much more afraid do you think we'll be if we go to Keilah against the Philistine army? David asked the Lord again, and the Lord answered him. He said, Go to Keala. I'm giving you the power to defeat the Philistines. 
David and his men went to Keilah, fought the Philistines, drove off their livestock, and decisively defeated them. So David rescued the people who lived in Keilah. When Ahimelech's son Abiathar fled to David at Keilah, Abiathar brought a priestly ephod with him. When Saul was told that David went to Keilah, Saul said, God has delivered him into my hands. He has trapped himself by going into a city which has a gate with a double door held shut by a bar. So Saul called together all the troops to go to war and blockade Keilah, where David and his men were. When David learned that Saul was planning to harm him, he told the priest Abiathar, Bring the ephod. Then David said, Lord God of Israel, I have actually heard that Saul is going to come to Keilah and destroy the city on account of me. Will the citizens of Keilah hand me over to him? Will Saul come here as I have heard? Lord God of Israel, please tell me. He will come, the Lord answered. Will the citizens of Keilah hand me and my men over to Saul? David asked. They will hand you over, the Lord answered. So David and his men, about six hundred in all, left Keilah. They went wherever they could go. Then Saul was told, David has escaped from Keilah. So he gave up the campaign. David lived in fortified camps in the desert, and he lived in fortified camps in the mountains of the desert of Ziph. Saul was always searching for him, but God didn't let him capture David. David was afraid because Saul had come to kill him at Horish in the desert of Ziph. Saul's son Jonathan came to David at Horish. He strengthened David's faith in the Lord. Don't be afraid, he told David. My father Saul won't find you. You will rule Israel, and I will be your second in command. Even my father Saul knows this. Both of them made a pledge in the Lord's presence. David stayed in Horish, and Jonathan went home. Then the men of Ziph went to Saul and Gibeah. They said, David is hiding with us in fortified camps at Horesh on the hills of Hakilah, south of Jeshimon. Come, your majesty, whenever you want. We will hand him over to you. Saul responded, The Lord bless you for feeling sorry for me. Please make more plans and watch where he goes. Who has seen him there? I'm told he's very clever. Watch and learn about all the hiding places where he may be hiding, and come back to me with the facts. Then I'll go with you, and if he's in the country, I'll search for him among all the families of Judah. They left for Ziph ahead of Saul. David and his men were in the desert of Maon, in the plain south of Jeshimon. When Saul and his men came to look for him, David was told the news. So he went to his mountain stronghold in the desert of Maon. Saul heard about it and pursued David into the desert of Maon. Saul went on one side of the mountain, and David and his men went on the other side of the mountain. David was hurrying to get away from Saul, and Saul and his men were going around the mountain toward David and his men, trying to capture them. Then a messenger came to Saul and said, Come quickly, the Philistines are raiding the country. Saul gave up pursuing David and went to fight the Philistines. So that place was called Slippery Rock. From there David went to stay in the fortified camps of En Gedi. 1 Samuel chapter 24 When Saul came back from fighting the Philistines, he was told, Now David is in the desert near En Gedi. Then Saul took three thousand of the best-trained men from all Israel and went to search for David and his men on the rocks of the wild goats. He came to some sheep pens along the road where there was a cave. Saul went into it to relieve himself, while David and his men were sitting further back in the cave. David's men told him, Today is the day the Lord referred to when he said, I'm going to hand your enemy over to you. You will do to him whatever you think is right. David quietly got up 
and cut off the border of Saul's robe. But afterward, David's conscience bothered him because he had cut off the border of Saul's robe. He said to his men, It would be unthinkable for me to raise my hand against his majesty, the Lord's anointed king, since he is the Lord's anointed. So David stopped his men by saying this to them, and didn't let them attack Saul. Saul left the cave and went out onto the road. Later David got up, left the cave, and called to Saul, Your Majesty! When Saul looked back, David knelt down with his face touching the ground. David asked Saul, Why do you listen to rumors that I am trying to harm you? Today you saw how the Lord handed you over to me in the cave. Although I was told to kill you, I spared you, saying, I will not raise my hand against your majesty, because you are the Lord's anointed. My master, look at this. The border of your robe is in my hand. Since I cut off the border of your robe and didn't kill you, you should know and be able to see that I mean no harm or rebellion. I haven't sinned against you, but you are trying to ambush me in order to take my life. May the Lord decide between you and me. May the Lord take revenge on you for what you did to me. However, I will not lay a hand on you. It's like people used to say long ago, Wickedness comes from wicked people. But I will not lay a hand on you. Against whom has the king of Israel come out? Whom are you pursuing? A dead dog? One flea? So the Lord must be the judge. He will decide between you and me. He will watch and take my side in this matter and set me free from you. When David finished saying this, Saul asked, Is that you speaking, my servant David? And Saul cried loudly. He told David, You are more righteous than I. You treated me well while I treated you badly. Today you have proved how good you've been to me. When the Lord handed me over to you, you didn't kill me. When a person finds an enemy, does he send him away unharmed? The Lord will repay you completely for what you did for me today. Now I know that you certainly will rule as king, and under your guidance the kingdom of Israel will prosper. Swear an oath to the Lord for me that you will not wipe out my descendants or destroy my name and my father's family. So David swore to Saul. Then Saul went home, and David and his men went to their fortified camp. 1 Samuel chapter 25 Samuel died, and all Israel gathered to mourn for him. They buried him at his home in Ramah. Then David went to the desert of Paran. Now there was a man in Maon whose business was in Carmel. He was a very rich man. He had three thousand sheep and one thousand goats, and he was shearing his sheep in Carmel. This man's name was Nabal, and his wife's name was Abigail. She was sensible and beautiful, but he was harsh and mean. He was a descendant of Caleb. While David was in the desert, he heard that Nabal was shearing his sheep. So David sent ten young men and told them, Go to Carmel, visit Nabal, and greet him for me. Say to him, May you live long. May you, your home, and all you have prosper. I hear that your sheep shearers are with you. Your shepherds have been with us, and we have not mistreated them. Nothing of theirs has been missing as long as they've been in Carmel. Ask your young men, and let them tell you. Be kind to my young men, since we have come on a special occasion. Please give us and your son David anything you can spare. When David's young men came to Nabal, they repeated all of this to him for David, and then they waited. Who is David? Nabal answered David's servants. Who is Jesse's son? So many servants nowadays are leaving their masters. Should I take my bread, my water, and my meat that I butchered for my shearers, and give them to men coming from who knows where? David's young men returned and told him all this. 
Each of you put on your swords, David told his men. And everyone, including David, put on his sword. About four hundred men went with David, while two hundred men stayed with the supplies. One of the young men told Abigail, Nabal's wife, David sent messengers from the desert to greet our master, who yelled at them. Those men were very good to us. They didn't mistreat us, and we found that nothing was missing wherever we went with them when we were in the fields. They were a wall protecting us day and night as long as we were watching the sheep near them. Now consider what you should do, because our master and his whole household are doomed, and he's such a worthless man that it's useless to talk to him. So Abigail quickly took two hundred loaves of bread, two full wineskins, five butchered sheep, a bushel of roasted grain, one hundred bunches of raisins, and two hundred fig cakes, and loaded them on donkeys. Go on ahead, she told her young men, and I'll follow you. But she didn't tell her husband Nabal about it. She was riding on her donkey down a hidden mountain path when she met David and his men coming toward her. David had thought, I guarded this man's stuff in the desert for nothing. Not one of his possessions was missing, yet he has paid me back with evil when I was good to him. May God punish me if I leave even one of his men alive in the morning. When Abigail saw David, she quickly got down from her donkey. She immediately bowed down in front of David with her face touching the ground. After she bowed at his feet, she said, Sir, let me be held responsible for this wrong. Please let me speak with you. Please listen to my words. You shouldn't take this worthless person Nabal seriously. He is like his name. His name is Nabal, godless fool, and he's foolish. But I didn't see the young men you sent. The Lord has kept you from spilling innocent blood and from getting a victory by your own efforts. Now, sir, I solemnly swear, as the Lord and you live, may your enemies and those who are trying to harm you end up like Nabal. Here is a gift I am bringing to you. May it be given to the young men who are in your service. Please forgive my offense. The Lord will certainly give you, sir, a lasting dynasty, because you are fighting the Lord's battles. May evil never be found in you as long as you live. Even though someone pursued you and sought your life, your life is wrapped in the bundle of life which comes from the Lord your God. But he will dispose of the lives of your enemies like stones thrown from a sling. When the Lord does all the good he promised and makes you ruler of Israel, you shouldn't have a troubled conscience because you spilled blood for no good reason and claimed your own victory. When the Lord has given you success, remember me. David said to Abigail, Blessed be the Lord God of Israel who sent you today to me. May your good judgment be blessed. Also may you be blessed for keeping me from slaughtering people today and from getting a victory by my own efforts. But I solemnly swear, as the Lord God of Israel, who has kept me from harming you, lives, if you hadn't come to meet me quickly, Nabal certainly wouldn't have had one of his men left at dawn. Then David accepted what she brought him and told her, Go home in peace. I've listened to what you said and granted your request. When Abigail came to Nabal, he was holding a banquet in his house. It was like a king's banquet. He was in a good mood and very drunk, so she didn't tell him anything until dawn. But in the morning, when the effects of the wine had worn off, his wife told him what had happened. Nabal's heart failed, and he could not move. About ten days later, the Lord made him even more sick, and Nabal died. When David heard Nabal was dead, he said, Blessed be the Lord who defended me against the insults of Nabal and kept me from doing wrong. The Lord has turned Nabal's own wickedness back on him. 
Then David sent men on his behalf to propose marriage to Abigail. When David's servants came to Abigail at Carmel, they told her, David has sent us to you so that we can take you to him to be his wife. She bowed down with her face touching the ground. I am ready to serve, she said. I am ready to wash the feet of my master's servants. Then Abigail quickly got up and rode on a donkey with five of her female servants following her. So she went with David's messengers and became his wife. David also married Ahinoam of Jezreel. Both she and Abigail were his wives. Saul had given his daughter Michal, David's wife, to Palti, Laish's son, who was from Galim. 1 Samuel chapter 26 The people of Ziph came to Saul at Gibeah. David is hiding at the hill of Hakila near Jeshimon, they said. Saul went to the desert of Ziph, taking with him three thousand of Israel's best-trained men to search for David. Saul camped by the road at the hill of Hakila near Jeshimon, but David stayed in the desert. When he realized Saul had come to the desert for him, David sent spies to confirm that Saul had arrived. Then David went to the place where Saul had camped. David saw the place where Saul and Ner's son Abner, the commander of the army, were lying. Saul was lying in the camp, and the troops were camped around him. David asked Ahimelech the Hittite and Abishai, who was Zeruiah's son and Joab's brother, Who will go with me to Saul in the camp? Abishai answered, I'll go with you. So David and Abishai went among Saul's troops that night. Saul was lying asleep inside the camp with his spear stuck in the ground near his head. Abner and the soldiers were lying around him. Abishai said to David, Today God has turned your enemy over to you. Please let me nail him to the ground with one stab of the spear. I won't have to do it twice. Don't kill him, David told Abishai. No one has ever attacked the Lord's anointed king and remained free of guilt. I solemnly swear as the Lord lives, David added, the Lord will strike him. Either his time will come when he'll die naturally, or he'll go into battle and be swept away. It would be unthinkable for me to attack the Lord's anointed king. But please take that spear near his head, and that jar of water, and let's go. David took the spear and the jar of water near Saul's head, and they left. All of them were asleep. No one saw them, knew about it, or woke up. The Lord had made them fall into a deep sleep. David went over to the other side and stood on top of the hill some distance away. There was a wide space between them. Then David called to the troops and to Ner's son Abner. "'Won't you answer, Abner?' he asked. "'Who is calling the king?' Abner asked. David asked Abner, "'Aren't you a man? Is there anyone like you in Israel? Then why didn't you guard your master, the king? Someone came to kill his royal majesty. What you've done isn't good.' I solemnly swear, as the Lord lives, you are dead men. You didn't guard your master, the Lord's anointed king. Look at the king's spear and the jar of water that were near his head. Saul recognized David's voice. Is that your voice, my servant David? he asked. It is my voice, your royal majesty, David answered. Why are you pursuing me? he added. What have I done? What crime have I committed, your majesty? Please listen to my words. If the Lord has turned you against me, let him be satisfied with an offering. But if mere mortals have turned you against me, let them be cursed by the Lord. They have prevented me from having a share of the Lord's inheritance. Go and serve other gods, they tell me. Don't let my blood fall to the ground away from the Lord's presence. The king of Israel has come to search for one flea like someone hunting a partridge in the hills. My servant David, Saul said, I have sinned. Come back, I will not harm you again, because you valued my life today. I've acted like a fool and made a terrible mistake. 
David responded, Here's the king's spear. One of the young men should come over and get it. The Lord will reward any person who is righteous and faithful. The Lord handed you over to me today, but I refuse to attack the Lord's anointed king. As I placed great value on your life today, may the Lord place great value on my life and rescue me from all trouble. Then Saul said, Blessed are you, my servant David. You will accomplish many things and certainly will succeed. So David went his way while Saul returned home. 1 Samuel chapter 27 David said to himself, One of these days Saul will sweep me away. The best thing for me to do is to make sure that I escape to Philistine territory. Then Saul will give up looking all over Israel for me, and I'll escape from him. So David went with his six hundred men to King Achish of Gath, Moak's son. David and his men stayed with Achish in Gath. Each one had his family, and David had his two wives, Ahinoam from Jezreel, and Abigail, who had been Nabal's wife, from Carmel. When Saul was told that David had fled to Gath, he didn't search for him any more. David said to Achish, If you will permit me, let me have a place in one of the outlying towns so that I can live there. Why should I live in the royal city with you? So Achish immediately gave him Ziklag. This is why Ziklag still belongs to the kings of Judah today. David stayed in Philistine territory for one year and four months. Then David and his men went to raid the Geshurites, the Gerzites, and the Amalekites. They lived in the territory which extends from Telaim to Shur and Egypt. Whenever David attacked the territory, he left no man or woman alive. He also took sheep, cattle, donkeys, camels, and clothing, and returned to Achish. Achish would ask, Whom did you raid today? And David would answer, the Negev and Judah, or the portion of the Negev where the descendants of Jeremiah live, or the portion of the Negev where the Kenites live. He did not bring a single man or woman back to Gath alive. He thought, they could tell Achish what I really did. This was his practice as long as he lived in Philistine territory. And Achish believed David. Achish thought, he has definitely made his own people in Israel despise him. He'll be my servant from now on. 1 Samuel chapter 28 At that time the Philistines had gathered their army to fight against Israel. Then Achish said to David, You need to know that you and your men will be going with me into battle. Very well, David responded to Achish. You will then know what I can do. Very well, Achish told David. I will make you my bodyguard for life. Meanwhile Samuel had died, and all Israel had mourned for him and buried him in his hometown Ramah. Saul had rid the land of mediums and psychics. The Philistines assembled and camped in Shunem. Saul also assembled the whole Israelite army, and they camped at Gilboa. When Saul looked at the Philistine army, he was very afraid, terrified. He prayed to the Lord, but the Lord didn't answer him through dreams, the Urim, or prophets. Saul told his officers, "'Find me a woman who conjures up the dead. Then I'll go to her and ask for her services.' His officers told him, There is a woman at Endor who conjures up the dead. After disguising himself by putting on other clothes, Saul left with two men and came to the woman that night. He said to her, Please consult with a dead person for me. Conjure up the person I request. The woman told him, You know that Saul rid the land of mediums and psychics. Why are you trying to trap me and have me killed? But Saul took an oath in the Lord's name. I solemnly swear, as the Lord lives, you will not be harmed if you do this. Whom should I conjure up for you? the woman asked. Conjure up Samuel for me, he answered. 
When the woman saw Samuel, she cried out loudly and asked, Why did you deceive me, your Saul? Don't be afraid, the king said to her. What do you see? I see a god rising from the ground, the woman answered. In what form? he asked her. She answered, An old man is coming up, and he's wearing a robe. Then Saul knew it was Samuel. Saul knelt down with his face touching the ground. Samuel asked Saul, Why did you disturb me by conjuring me up? Saul answered, I'm in serious trouble. The Philistines are at war with me, and God has turned against me and doesn't answer me any more, either by the prophets or in dreams. So I've called on you to tell me what to do. Samuel said, Why are you asking me when the Lord has turned against you and become your enemy? The Lord has done to you exactly what he spoke through me. The Lord has torn the kingship out of your hands and given it to your fellow Israelite David. The Lord is doing this to you today because you didn't listen to him or unleash his burning anger on Amalek. For the same reason the Lord will hand you and Israel over to the Philistines. Tomorrow you and your sons will be with me, and then the Lord will hand Israel's army over to the Philistines. Immediately Saul fell flat on the ground. He was frightened by Samuel's words. He also had no strength left, because he hadn't eaten anything all day or all night. The woman came over to Saul and saw that he was terrified. I listened to you, she told him, and I took my life in my hands when I did what you told me to do. Now please listen to me. I will serve you something to eat. Eat it, so that you will have strength when you leave. But he refused. I don't want to eat, he said. Nevertheless, his officers and the woman kept urging him until he listened to them. So he got up from the ground and sat on the bed. The woman immediately butchered a fattened calf that she owned. She took flour, kneaded it, and baked some unleavened bread. Then she served it to Saul and his officers. They ate and left that same night. 1 Samuel chapter 29 The Philistines assembled their whole army at Aphek, and Israel camped at the spring in Jezreel. The Philistine leaders were marching by with their companies and regiments. David and his men were marching in the rear with Achish. The Philistine officers asked, What are these Hebrews doing here? Achish asked the Philistine officers, Isn't this David, the servant of King Saul of Israel, who has been with me now for a year or two? I found nothing wrong with him from the day he defected until now. But the Philistine officers were angry with Achish. Send the man back. The Philistine officers told him, Return him to the place you assigned him. He shouldn't go with us into battle. He shouldn't be allowed to become our enemy during the battle. Is this man going to try to regain his master's favor? He'll do it with the lives of our men. Isn't this David, of whom people sing and dances? Saul has defeated thousands, but David tens of thousands. Then Achish called David and told him, I solemnly swear, as the Lord lives, you are a dependable man. I consider your campaigning with me a good thing, because I've never found anything wrong with you from the day you came to me until now. But the rulers don't approve of you, so leave peacefully without doing anything to displease the Philistine rulers. What have I done? David asked Achish. What have you learned about me from the time I came to you until now? Why shouldn't I fight your enemies, your majesty? Achish answered David, I admit that in my judgment you're as good as God's messenger. However, the Philistine officer said, He shouldn't go into battle with us. Get up early in the morning with Saul's servants who came with you, and go to the place I have assigned to you. Don't worry about the unkind words, because I still approve of you. Get up in the morning and leave when it's light. 
Early the next morning, David and his men returned to Philistine territory, while the Philistines went to Jezreel. 1 Samuel chapter 30 Two days later, when David and his men came to Ziklag, the Amalekites had raided the Negev, including Ziklag. They had attacked Ziklag and burned it. Although they had captured the young and old women who were there, they killed no one. Instead, they had taken the women and other prisoners and gone away. By the time David and his men came to the town, it had been burned down, and their wives, sons, and daughters had been taken captive. Then David and his men cried loudly until they didn't have the strength to cry any more. The Amalekites also captured David's two wives, Ahinoam from Jezreel and Abigail, who had been Nabal's wife from Carmel. David was in great distress because the people in their bitterness said he should be stoned. They were thinking of their sons and daughters. But David found strength in the Lord his God. David told the priest Abiathar, Ahimelech's son, Please bring me the priestly ephod. So Abiathar brought David the ephod. Then David asked the Lord, Should I pursue these troops? Will I catch up with them? Pursue them, the Lord told him. You will certainly catch up with them and rescue the captives. So David and his six hundred men went to the Bezor Valley, where some were left behind. David and four hundred men went in pursuit, while two hundred men who were too exhausted to cross the Bezor Valley stayed behind. David's men found an Egyptian in the open country and took him to David. They gave him food to eat and water to drink. They gave him a slice of fig cake and two bunches of raisins. After he'd eaten, he revived. He hadn't eaten any food or drunk any water for three whole days. David asked him, to whom do you belong? Where do you come from? I'm an Egyptian, the slave of an Amalekite, the young man answered. My master left me behind because I got sick three days ago. We raided the portion of the Negev where the Kerithites live, the territory of Judah, the portion of the Negev where Caleb settled, and we burned down Ziklag. Will you lead me to these troops? David asked him. He answered, Take an oath in front of God that you won't kill me or hand me over to my master, and I'll lead you to these troops. The Egyptian led him to them. They were spread out all over the land, eating and drinking. They were celebrating because they had taken so much loot from Philistine territory and from the land of Judah. From dawn until evening the next day, David attacked them. No one escaped except four hundred young men who rode away on camels. David rescued everything the Amalekites had taken, including his two wives. Nothing was missing, young or old, sons or daughters, the loot or anything else they had taken with them. David brought back everything. He took all the sheep and the cattle. His men drove the animals ahead of him and said, This is David's loot. David came to the two hundred men who had been too exhausted to go with him and had stayed in the Bezor Valley. They came to meet David and the people with him. As David approached the men, he greeted them. Then every wicked and worthless man who had gone with David said, since they didn't go with us, they shouldn't be given any of the loot we recovered. Each of them should take only his wife and children and leave. But David said, My brothers, don't do that with the things which the Lord has given us. He has protected us and handed the troops that attacked us over to us. Besides, who is going to pay attention to what you have to say in this matter? Certainly the share of those who go into battle must be like the share of those who stay with the supplies. They will all share alike. From that time on he made this a rule and a custom in Israel, as it is to this day. When David came to Ziklag, he sent part of the loot to his friends, the leaders of Judah. He said, Here is a gift for you from the loot taken from the Lord's enemies. There were shares for those in Bethel, Ramoth, in the Negev, Jatir, Aroer, Shifmoth, 
Eshtemoa, Rakal, the cities belonging to the Jeremielites, the cities belonging to the Kenites, Horma, Borashan, Athak, Hebron, and to all the places David and his men visited from time to time. 1 Samuel, chapter 31. When the Philistines were fighting against Israel, the men of Israel fled from the Philistines and were killed in battle on Mount Gilboa. The Philistines caught up to Saul and his sons. They killed Jonathan, Abinadab, and Malkishua, Saul's sons. The heaviest fighting was against Saul. When the archers got him in their range, he was badly wounded by them. Saul told his armor-bearer, Draw your sword, stab me, or these godless men will come. Stab me and make fun of me. But his armor-bearer refused because he was terrified. So Saul took the sword and fell on it. When the armor-bearer saw that Saul was dead, he also fell on his sword and died with him. So Saul, his three sons, his armor-bearer, and all his men died together that day. When the people of Israel on the other side of the valley and across the Jordan River saw that the men of Israel had fled and that Saul and his sons were dead, they abandoned their cities. So the Philistines came to live in these cities. The next day, when the Philistines came to strip the dead, they found Saul and his three sons lying on Mount Gilboa. They cut off his head and stripped off his armor. Then they sent men throughout Philistine territory to tell the people this good news in their idols' temples. They put his armor in the temple of their goddess, the Asherahs, and fastened his corpse to the wall of Bethshan. When the people living in Jabesh-Gilead heard what the Philistines had done to Saul, all the fighting men marched all night and took the dead bodies of Saul and his sons from the wall of Bashan. They came back to Jabesh and burned the bodies there. They took the bones and buried them under the tamarisk tree in Jabesh. Then they fasted seven days. 2 Samuel chapter 1 After Saul died and David returned from defeating the Amalekites, David stayed in Ziklag two days. On the third day a man came from Saul's camp. His clothes were torn, and he had dirt on his head. When he came to David, he immediately bowed down with his face touching the ground. "'Where did you come from?' David asked him. "'I escaped from the camp of Israel,' he answered. "'What happened?' David asked him. "'Please tell me.' The man answered, "'The army fled from the battle, and many of the soldiers died. Saul and his son Jonathan are dead, too.' "'How do you know Saul and his son Jonathan are dead?' David asked the young man who had brought him the news. The young man answered, "'I happened to be on Mount Gilboa. Saul was there leaning on his spear, and the chariots and horsemen were catching up with him. When he looked back and saw me, he called to me, and I said, "'Yes.' He asked me, "'Who are you?' I said to him, "'I'm an Amalekite.' He said to me, "'Please stand over me and kill me. I'm alive, but I'm suffering.' So I stood over him and killed him, since I knew he couldn't survive after he had been wounded. And I took the crown that was on his head and the band that was on his arm and brought them here to you, sir. Then David grabbed his own clothes and tore them in grief. All the men with him did the same. They mourned, cried, and fasted until evening, because Saul, his son Jonathan, the Lord's army, and the nation of Israel had been defeated in battle. David asked the young man who had brought him the news, where are you from? And the young man answered, I'm an Amalekite, the son of a foreign resident. David asked, Why weren't you afraid to take it upon yourself to destroy the Lord's anointed king? Then David called one of his young men and told him, Come here and attack him. David's young man executed him while David said, You are responsible for spilling your own blood. You testified against yourself when you said, I killed the Lord's anointed king. 
David wrote this song of mourning for Saul and his son Jonathan. He said, Teach this Kesheth to the people of Judah. It is recorded in the book of Jashar. Your glory, Israel, lies dead on your hills. See how the mighty have fallen. Don't tell the news in Gath. Don't announce the victory in the streets of Ashkelon, or the daughters of the Philistines will be glad, and the daughters of godless men will celebrate. You mountains in Gilboa, may there be no dew or rain on you or on your slopes, because warriors' shields were tarnished there. Saul's shield was never rubbed with olive oil. From the blood of those killed and the fat of the warriors, Jonathan's bow did not turn away, nor did Saul's sword return unused. Saul and Jonathan were loved and well-liked while they were living. They were not separated even when they died. They were swifter than eagles and stronger than lions. Daughters of Israel, cry over Saul, who dressed you in decorated red clothes, who put gold jewelry on your clothes. See how the mighty have fallen in battle. On your hills Jonathan was killed. I am heartbroken over you, my brother Jonathan. You were my great delight. Your love was more wonderful to me than the love of women. See how the mighty have fallen. See how the weapons of war have been destroyed. Second Samuel, chapter 2. After this, David asked the Lord, Should I go to one of the cities of Judah? Go, the Lord answered him. Where should I go? David asked. To Hebron, the Lord replied. David went there with his two wives, Ahinoam from Jezreel and Abigail, who had been Nabal's wife from Carmel. David took his men and their families with him, and they settled in the towns around Hebron. Then the people of Judah came to Hebron and anointed David to be king over the tribe of Judah. They told David, the people of Jabesh-Gilead were the ones who buried Saul. So David sent messengers to the people of Jabesh-Gilead. He said to them, May the Lord bless you because you showed kindness to your master Saul by burying him. May the Lord always show you kindness. I too will be good to you because you did this. Now be strong and courageous, because your master Saul is dead. The tribe of Judah has anointed me to be their king. Ner's son Abner, commander of Saul's army, took Saul's son Ishbosheth and brought him to Mahanaim. Abner made him king of Gilead, Asher, Jezreel, Ephraim, and Benjamin, that is, all Israel. So Saul's son Ishbosheth was forty years old when he became king of Israel. He ruled for two years, but the tribe of Judah followed David. In Hebron, David was king over the tribe of Judah for seven years and six months. Ner's son Abner and the officers of Saul's son Ishbosheth went from Mahanaim to Gibeon. Zeruiah's son Joab and David's officers also left Hebron. Both groups met at the pool of Gibeon. They sat down there, one group on one side of the pool, and the other group on the other side of the pool. Abner said to Joab, Let's have the young men hold a contest. Joab agreed. The men got up and were counted as they passed by. Twelve were from the tribe of Benjamin, representing Saul's son Ishbosheth, and twelve were from David's officers. Each one grabbed his opponent by the head, stuck his sword into his opponent's side, and they fell down together. Therefore that place in Gibeon is called the Field of Enemies. Fierce fighting broke out that day, and David's men defeated Abner and the men of Israel. Zeruiah's three sons were there, Joab, Abishai, and Asahel. Asahel was as fast on his feet as a wild gazelle. He chased Abner and refused to leave him alone. When Abner looked back, he asked, Are you Asahel? Yes, Asahel answered. Abner told him, Leave me alone. Catch one of the young men and take his weapon. But Asahel refused to turn away from him. So Abner spoke again to Asahel, 
Stop following me, he said. Why should I kill you? How could I look your brother Joab in the face again? But Asahel refused to turn away. So Abner struck him with the butt of the spear. The spear went into his belly and came out his back. He fell down there and died on the spot, and everyone who came to the place where Asahel fell and died stopped there. But Joab and Abishai chased Abner. When the sun went down, they came to the hill of Amah, opposite Gaia, on the road from Gibeon to the desert. The men of Benjamin rallied behind Abner, banding together and taking their position on top of a hill. Then Abner called to Joab, Should this slaughter go on forever? Don't you know this will end in bitterness? How long will it be before you will call off your troops from chasing their relatives? Joab answered, I solemnly swear as God lives, if you had not spoken, the men would not have stopped chasing their relatives until morning. So Joab blew a ram's horn, and all the troops stopped. They didn't chase or fight Israel any more. Abner and his men marched through the plains all that night. They crossed the Jordan River and passed through the entire Bithron until they came to Mahanaim. Joab returned from chasing Abner. When he had gathered all the troops, only nineteen of David's officers and Asahel were missing. However, David's officers had killed three hundred sixty of the men of Benjamin under Abner's command. They took Asahel and buried him in his father's tomb in Bethlehem. Then Joab and his men marched all night and arrived at Hebron by daybreak. Second Samuel, chapter 3. As the war between the royal families of Saul and David dragged on, David's family became stronger and stronger, and Saul's family became weaker and weaker. Sons were born to David while he was in Hebron. His first son was Ammon, born to Ahinoam from Jezreel. The second was Chileab, born to Abigail, who had been Nabal's wife from Carmel. The third was Absalom, whose mother was Maacah, the daughter of King Talmai, from Geshur. The fourth was Adonijah, whose mother was Hagith. The fifth was Shephatiah, whose mother was Abital. The sixth was Ithriam, born to David's wife Eglah. These sons were born to David while he was in Hebron. During the war between the families of Saul and David, Abner strengthened his position in Saul's royal family. Saul had a concubine named Rispah, Aiah's daughter. Ishbosheth asked Abner, Why did you have sex with my father's concubine? Ishbosheth's question made Abner very angry. Have I been behaving like some Judean dog? he asked. Until now I've been faithful to your father Saul's family, to his relatives and friends, and I haven't handed you over to David. But now you charge me with a crime because of this woman. May God strike me dead unless I do for David what the Lord had promised him with an oath. I, the Lord, will transfer the kingship from Saul's family and establish David's throne over Israel and Judah from Dan to Beersheba. Ishbosheth couldn't respond to a single word because he was afraid of Abner. Then Abner sent messengers to David to speak on his behalf. Who owns this country? he asked. Make an agreement with me, he said. I'll support you and bring all Israel to you. Good, David answered. I'll make an agreement with you, but there's one condition. You can't come to see me unless you bring Michal, Saul's daughter, when you come. Then David sent messengers to Saul's son Ishbosheth to say, Give me my wife Michal. I made a payment of one hundred Philistine foreskins for her. So Ishbosheth sent men to take her from her husband Paltiel, son of Laish. Her husband went with her and cried over her all the way to Bahurim. Go home, Abner told him. So he went home. Meanwhile, Abner sent the following message to the leaders of Israel. For some time now you've wanted to make David your king. Do it now, because the Lord said about David, 
I will save my people Israel from the Philistines and all their other enemies through my servant David. Avner also spoke specifically to the people of Benjamin. Then Avner went directly to David in Hebron to tell him everything Israel and the entire tribe of Benjamin had approved. So Avner came with twenty men to David in Hebron, and David had a feast for Avner and his men. Avner told David, I must go now so that I can gather all Israel for you. Your Majesty, they will make a treaty with you, and you will rule everything your heart desires. Then David dismissed Abner, who left peacefully. Just then David's men and Joab were coming home from a raid with a lot of goods. Abner had been dismissed, so he was no longer with David in Hebron. When Joab came back with the whole army, he was told, Ner's son Abner came to the king. But David dismissed him, and Abner left peacefully. Then Joab went to the king and asked, What have you done? Abner came to see you. Why did you dismiss him and let him get away? Certainly you must know that Ner's son Abner came to deceive you, to find out about your movements, and learn everything you're doing. After leaving David, Joab sent messengers after Abner. They brought him back from the cistern of Sirah without David knowing about it. When Abner returned to Hebron, Joab took him aside in the gateway as if to talk to him privately. Then he stabbed Abner in the belly. Abner died because he spilled the blood of Joab's brother Asahel. Later, when David heard about it, he said, As far as the Lord is concerned, my kingdom and I are forever innocent of spilling the blood of Ner's son Abner. May the blame fall on the head of Joab and all his family. May there always be members of Joab's family who have oozing sores and skin diseases, who can only work a spindle, who die in battle, and who never have any food. Joab and his brother Abishai killed Abner because he had killed their brother Asahel in the battle at Gibeon. David told Joab and all the people with him, Tear your clothes, put on sackcloth, and mourn for Abner. King David followed the open casket. They buried Abner in Hebron. The king cried loudly at Abner's grave, and all the people cried. The king sang a funeral song for Abner. Should Abner die like a godless fool? Your hands were not tied, your feet were not chained. You fell as one falls in front of wicked men. And all the people continued to cry for him. That entire day all the people tried to get David to eat some food, but David had taken an oath. May God strike me dead if I taste any food or anything else before the sun goes down. Then all the people understood and approved of this, as all the people approved of everything the king did. That day all the people of Israel knew the king wasn't responsible for killing Ner's son Abner. The king said to his officers, Don't you know that today a leader, a great man, has fallen in Israel? Today I'm weak, though I'm the anointed king. These men, Zeruiah's sons, are too cruel for me. May the Lord repay this evil doer as his evil deeds deserve. Second Samuel chapter 4 When Saul's son Ishbosheth heard that Abner had died in Hebron, he lost his courage, and all Israel was alarmed. Saul's son had two men who were captains of raiding parties. One was named Baana, and the other was named Rechab. They were the sons of Rimon from Beeroth, from the tribe of Benjamin. Beeroth was considered a part of Benjamin, even though the people of Beeroth had fled to Gitaim. They still live there today. In addition, Saul's son Jonathan had a son who was crippled. When the boy was five years old, the news about the death of Saul and Jonathan came from Jezreel. His nurse picked him up and fled to Gitaim. She was in a hurry when she left, and he fell from her arms and became disabled. His name was Mephibosheth. 
Rikab and Baana, the sons of Rimon from Biroth, came to Ishbosheth's home at the hottest time of the day. Ishbosheth was taking his midday nap when they came into the house as though they were going to get some flour. Instead, they stabbed him in the belly. Then Rikab and his brother Baana escaped. They had come into the house while Ishbosheth was sleeping on his bed in his bedroom. They stabbed him, killed him, and cut off his head. They took his head and traveled all night along the road to the plains. They brought Ishbosheth's head to David at Hebron. Here is the head of Ishbosheth, the son of your enemy Saul, who tried to kill you, they told the king. Today the Lord has given your royal majesty revenge on Saul and his descendants. David responded to Rechab and his brother Baana, the sons of Rimon from Beeroth, I once seized a man who told me that Saul had died. He thought he was bringing good news. I killed him in Ziklag to reward him for his news. How much more should I reward wicked men who kill an innocent man on his own bed in his home? The Lord has rescued me from every trouble. I solemnly swear, as the Lord lives, I'll now seek revenge for his murder and rid the land of you. So David gave an order to his young men, who executed Rechab and Baana, cut off their hands and feet, and hung their dead bodies by the pond in Hebron. Then they took Ishbosheth's head and buried it in Abner's tomb in Hebron. Second Samuel chapter five. All the tribes of Israel came to David at Hebron. We are your own flesh and blood, they said. Even in the past, when Saul ruled us, you were the one who led Israel in battle. The Lord has said to you, You will be shepherd of my people Israel, the leader of Israel. All the leaders of Israel had come to Hebron. King David made an agreement with them at Hebron in front of the Lord. So they anointed David king of Israel. David was thirty years old when he became king, and he ruled for forty years. In Hebron he ruled Judah for seven years and six months. In Jerusalem he ruled for thirty-three years over all Israel and Judah. The king and his men went to Jerusalem to attack the Jebusites who lived in that region. The Jebusites told David, You will never get in here. Even the blind and the lame could turn you away, meaning that David could never get in there. But David captured the fortress Zion, that is, the city of David. That day David said, Whoever wants to defeat the Jebusites must reach the lame and the blind who hate me by using the water shaft. So there is a saying, The blind and the lame will not get into the palace. David lived in the fortress and called it the city of David. He built the city of Jerusalem around it from the Milo to the palace. David continued to grow more powerful because the Lord God of armies was with him. Then King Hiram of Tyre sent messengers to David along with cedar wood, carpenters, and stonemasons. They built a palace for David. So David realized that the Lord had established him as king of Israel and made his kingship famous for the sake of Israel, the Lord's people. David married more concubines and wives from Jerusalem after he had come there from Hebron, and he fathered more sons and daughters. These are the names of the children born to him in Jerusalem, Shamua, Shobab, Nathan, Solomon, Ibhar, Elishua, Nepheg, Japhia, Elishama, Eliada, and Eliphalet. When the Philistines heard that David had been anointed king of Israel, all of them came to attack David. But David heard about it and went to the fortress. The Philistines had come and overrun the valley of Rephaim. David asked the Lord, Should I attack the Philistines, will you hand them over to me? The Lord answered David, Attack, I will certainly hand the Philistines over to you. So David went to Baal-perazim and defeated the Philistines there. He said, 
The Lord has overwhelmed my enemies in front of me like an overwhelming flood. That is why that place is called Baal Perazim, the Lord overwhelms. The Philistines left their idols there, so David and his men carried the idols away. The Philistines again attacked and overran the valley of Rephaim. David asked the Lord, and he answered, Don't attack now, but circle around behind them, and come at them in front of the balsam trees. When you hear the sound of marching in the tops of the balsam trees, act immediately, because the Lord has gone ahead of you to defeat the Philistine army. David did as the Lord ordered him, and defeated the Philistines from Geba to Gezer. 2 Samuel chapter 6 David again assembled all the best soldiers in Israel, thirty thousand men. He and all the people with him left Baalai in Judah to bring God's ark to Jerusalem. The ark is called by the name of the Lord of armies, who is enthroned over the angels. David and his men put God's ark on a new cart and brought it from Abinadab's home on the hill. Uzzah and Ahio, Abinadab's sons, were guiding the new cart. They brought it from Abinadab's home, with Ohio walking ahead of the ark. David and the entire nation of Israel were celebrating in the Lord's presence with all kinds of instruments, made from cypress wood and with lyres, harps, tambourines, sistrums, and cymbals. But when they came to Nakon's threshing floor, the oxen stumbled, so Uzzah reached out for the ark of God and grabbed it. The Lord became angry with Uzzah, so God killed him there for his lack of respect. He died beside the ark of God. David was angry because the Lord had struck Uzzah so violently. That place is still called Perez, Uzzah, the striking of Uzzah, today. David was afraid of the Lord that day. How can the ark of the Lord come to my city, he asked. So David wouldn't bring the ark of the Lord with him to the city of David. Instead, he rerouted it to the home of Obed-Edom, who was from Gath. The ark of the Lord stayed at the home of Obed-Edom from Gath for three months. And the Lord blessed Obed-Edom and his whole family. King David was told, The Lord has blessed Obed-Edom's home and everything he owns because of the ark of God. Then David joyfully went to get the ark of God from Obed-Edom's house and bring it to the city of David. When those who carried the ark of the Lord had gone six steps, David sacrificed a bull and a fattened calf. Wearing a linen ephod, David danced in the Lord's presence with all his might. He and the entire nation of Israel brought the ark of the Lord with shouts of joy and the sounding of ram's horns. When the ark of the Lord came to the city of David, Saul's daughter Michal looked out of a window and saw King David leaping and dancing in the Lord's presence. So she despised him. The men carrying the ark set it in its place inside the tent David had put up for it. David sacrificed burnt offerings and fellowship offerings in the Lord's presence. When David had finished sacrificing the burnt offerings and the fellowship offerings, he blessed the people in the name of the Lord of armies. He also distributed to all the people, to the whole crowd of Israelites, both men and women, one loaf of bread, one date cake, and one raisin cake. Then all the people went home. When David returned to bless his family, Saul's daughter Michal came out to meet him. How dignified Israel's king was today! He was exposing himself before the eyes of the slave girls of his palace staff, like a mindless fool might expose himself. David answered Michal, I didn't dance in front of the slave girls, but in front of the Lord. He chose me rather than your father, or anyone in your father's house. And he appointed me leader of Israel, the Lord's people. I will celebrate in the Lord's presence, and I will degrade myself even more than this. Even if I am humiliated in your eyes, I will be honored by these slave girls you speak about. 
so Saul's daughter Michal was childless her entire life. Second Samuel chapter 7 While King David was living in his house, the Lord gave him peace with all his enemies around him. So the king said to the prophet Nathan, Look, I'm living in a house made of cedar, while the ark of God remains in the tent. Nathan told the king, Do everything you have in mind, because the Lord is with you. But that same night the Lord spoke his word to Nathan. Say to my servant David, This is what the Lord says. Are you the one who will build me a house to live in? I haven't lived in a house from the day I took Israel out of Egypt to this day. Instead I moved around in a tent, the tent of meeting. In all the places I've moved with all the Israelites, did I ever ask any of the judges of Israel whom I ordered to be shepherds of my people, Israel, why they didn't build me a house of cedar? Now this is what you will say to my servant David. This is what the Lord of armies says. I took you from the pasture where you followed sheep so that you could be the leader of my people Israel. I was with you wherever you went, and I destroyed all your enemies in front of you. I will make your name famous like the names of the greatest people on earth. I will make a place for my people Israel and plant them there. They will live in their own place and not be troubled any more. The wicked will no longer oppress them as they used to do ever since I appointed judges to rule my people Israel. So I will give you peace with all your enemies. I, the Lord, tell you that I will make a house for you. When the time comes for you to lie down in death with your ancestors, I will send one of your descendants, one who will come from you. I will establish his kingdom. He will build a house for my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. I will be his father, and he will be my son. If he sins, I will punish him with a rod and with blows inflicted by people. But I will never stop showing him my love as I did to Saul, whom I took out of your way. Your royal house will remain in my presence forever. Your throne will be established forever. Nathan told David all these words and everything he had seen. King David went into the tent and sat in front of the Lord. Who am I, Almighty Lord? he asked. And why is my house so important that you have brought me this far? And even this you consider to be a small act. Almighty Lord, you've also spoken about the distant future of my house. Almighty Lord, this is the teaching about the man. What more can I, David, say to you, Almighty Lord, since you know me so well? You've done this great thing because of your promise and your own desire. You made it known to me. That is why you are great, Lord God. There is no one like you, and there is no other God except you, as we have heard with our own ears. Who is like your people, Israel? It is the one nation on earth that God came to free in order to make its people his own, to make his name known, and to do great and wonderful things for them. You force nations and their gods out of the way of your people, whom you freed from Egypt to be your own. You created the people of Israel to be your people forever, and you, Lord, became their God. Now, Lord God, keep the promise you made to me and my house forever. Do as you promised. Your name will be respected forever when people say the Lord of armies is God over Israel, and the house of your servant David will be established in your presence. You, Lord of armies, God of Israel, have revealed it especially to me, saying, I will build a house for you. That is why I have found the courage to offer this prayer to you. Almighty Lord, you are God, and your words are trustworthy. You promised me this good thing. Now please bless my house so that it may continue in your presence forever. Indeed, you, Almighty Lord, have promised it. With your blessing, my house will be blessed forever. Second Samuel chapter 8 
After this, David defeated and crushed the Philistines. He took control of the main Philistine city from them. He also defeated Moab, made the Moabites lie down on the ground, and measured them with a rope. He measured two lengths which were to be killed, and one length which was to be spared. So the Moabites became David's subjects and paid taxes to him. When David went to restore his control over the territory along the Euphrates River, he defeated Zobah's king, Hadadezer, son of Rehob. David took 1,700 horsemen and 20,000 foot soldiers from him. David also disabled all but 100 of their horses so that they couldn't pull chariots. When the Arameans from Damascus came to help King Hadadezer of Zobah, David killed 22,000 of them. David put troops in the Aramean kingdom of Damascus, and the Arameans became his subjects and paid taxes to him. Everywhere David went, the Lord gave him victories. David took the gold shields that belonged to Hadadezer's servants, and he brought them to Jerusalem. King David also took a large quantity of bronze from Beta and Barothai, Hadadezer's cities. When King Toi of Hamath heard that David had defeated Hadadezer's whole army, he sent his son Joram to greet King David and congratulate him for fighting and defeating Hadadezer. There had often been war between Hadadezer and Toi. Joram brought articles of gold, silver, and bronze with him. King David dedicated these articles to the Lord, along with the silver and gold he had dedicated from all the nations he conquered, from Edom, Moab, Ammon, the Philistines, Amalek, and from the goods taken from Zobah's king Hadadezer, son of Rehob. David made a name for himself by killing 18,000 Edomites in the Dead Sea region as he returned to Jerusalem. He put troops everywhere in Edom, and all the Edomites were David's subjects. Everywhere David went, the Lord gave him victories. So David ruled all Israel. He did what was fair and right for all his people. Zeruiah's son Joab was in charge of the army. Ahilud's son Jehoshaphat was the royal historian. Ahitub's son Zadok and Abiathar's son Ahimelech were priests. Seraiah was the royal scribe. Jehoiada's son Benaiah was commander of the Cherethites and the Pelethites, and David's sons were priests. Second Samuel chapter 9. David asked, Is there anyone left in Saul's family to whom I can show kindness for Jonathan's sake? Now Saul's family had a servant whose name was Ziba. He was summoned to come to David. Are you Ziba? the king asked him. Yes, I am, he answered. David asked, Is there someone left in Saul's family to whom I can show God's kindness? Jonathan has a son who is disabled, Ziba answered. Where is he? the king asked. Ziba replied, He is at the home of Machir, Amiel's son in Lodebar. So King David sent men to get him from the home of Amiel's son Machir in Lodebar. When Mephibosheth, son of Jonathan and grandson of Saul, came to David, he quickly bowed down with his face touching the ground. Mephibosheth, David said to him, Yes, sir, he answered. Don't be afraid, David told him. I will certainly show you kindness for your father Jonathan's sake. I will give back to you all the land of your grandfather Saul, and you will always eat at my table. Mephibosheth bowed down again and answered, Who am I that you would look at a dead dog like me? Then the king called for Ziba, Saul's servant, and said to him, I have given your master's grandson everything that belonged to Saul and his family. You, your sons, and your servants should farm the land for him and harvest the crops so that your master's family will have food to eat. However, your master's grandson Mephibosheth will always eat at my table. Ziba had fifteen sons and twenty servants. Ziba responded, I will do everything you've commanded, your majesty. 
From then on, Mephibosheth ate at David's table as one of the king's sons. Mephibosheth had a young son whose name was Micah. Everyone who lived at Ziba's home became Mephibosheth's servant. However, Mephibosheth, who was disabled, lived in Jerusalem. He always ate at the king's table. Second Samuel chapter 10 Later the king of Ammon died, and his son Hanun became king in his place. David thought, I will show kindness to Hanun, as his father Nahash showed me kindness. So David sent his servants to comfort Hanun after his father's death. But when David's servants entered Ammonite territory, the Ammonite princes asked their master Hanun, Do you think David is honoring your father because he sent men to comfort you? Hasn't David sent his men to explore the city, spy on it, and destroy it? So Hanun took David's men, shaved off half of each man's beard, cut off their clothes from the waist down, and sent them away. After David was told what had happened, he sent someone to meet them because they were deeply humiliated. The king said to them, Stay in Jericho until your beards have grown back, and then return to Jerusalem. The Ammonites realized that they had made themselves offensive to David, so they hired the Arameans from Beth Rehob and Zobah, 20,000 foot soldiers, the army of the king of Maaka, 1,000 men, and the men of Tob, 12,000 men. After David heard about this, he sent Joab and all the elite troops. The Ammonites formed a battle line at the entrance of the city gate, while the Arameans from Zobah and Rehob and the men from Tob and Maaka remained by themselves in the open country. When Joab saw he was under attack in front and behind, he took the select troops of Israel and organized them for combat against the Arameans. He put his brother Abishai in charge of the rest of the troops. Abishai organized them for combat against the Ammonites. Joab said, If the Arameans are too strong for my troops, be ready to help me. And if the Ammonites are too strong for your troops, I'll come to help you. Be strong. Let's prove ourselves strong for our people and for the cities of our God, and the Lord will do what he considers right. Then Joab and his troops advanced to fight the Arameans, and the Arameans fled. When the Ammonites saw that the Arameans had fled, the Ammonites fled from Abishai and went into the city. So Joab stopped his campaign against the Ammonites and returned to Jerusalem. Realizing that Israel had defeated them, the Arameans reassembled their troops. Hadadazer sent messengers to get Arameans from beyond the Euphrates River. The Arameans came to Helam with Shobach, the commander of Hadadazer's army, leading them. When David was told about this, he assembled Israel's army, crossed the Jordan River, and came to Helam. The Arameans formed a battle line against David's troops and fought him. The Arameans fled from Israel, and David killed 700 chariot drivers and 40,000 horsemen. David struck Shobach dead. When all the kings who were subject to Hadadezer saw that Israel had defeated them, they made peace with Israel and became their subjects. And the Arameans were afraid to help the Ammonites any more. 2 Samuel chapter 11 In the spring, the time when kings go out to battle, David sent Joab, his mercenaries, and Israel's army to war. They destroyed the Ammonites and attacked Rabbah while David stayed in Jerusalem. Now when evening came, David got up from his bed and walked around on the roof of the royal palace. From the roof he saw a woman bathing, and she was very pretty. David sent someone to ask about the woman. The man said, She's Bathsheba, daughter of Eliam, and wife of Uriah the Hittite. So David sent messengers and took her. She came to him, and he went to bed with her. She had just cleansed herself after her monthly period. Then she went home. The woman had become pregnant, so she sent someone to tell David that she was pregnant. 
Then David sent a messenger to Joab, saying, Send me Uriah the Hittite. So Joab sent Uriah to David. When Uriah arrived, David asked him how Joab and the troops were and how the war was going. Go home, David said to Uriah, and wash your feet. Uriah left the royal palace, and the king sent a present to him. But Uriah slept at the entrance of the royal palace among his superior's mercenaries. He didn't go home. When they told David, Uriah didn't go home, David asked Uriah, Didn't you just come from a journey? Why didn't you go home? Uriah answered David, The ark and the army of Israel and Judah are in temporary shelters, and my commander Joab and your majesty's mercenaries are living in the field. Should I then go to my house to eat and drink and go to bed with my wife? I solemnly swear, as sure as you're living, I won't do this. David said to Uriah, Then stay here today, and tomorrow I'll send you back. So Uriah stayed in Jerusalem that day and the next. David summoned him, ate and drank with him, and got him drunk. But that evening Uriah went to lie down in his bed among his superior's mercenaries. He didn't go home. In the morning David wrote a letter to Joab and sent it with Uriah. In the letter he wrote, Put Uriah on the front line where the fighting is heaviest. Then abandon him so that he'll be struck down and die. Since Joab had kept the city under observation, he put Uriah at the place where he knew the experienced warriors were. The men of the city came out and fought Joab. Some of the people, namely some of David's mercenaries, fell and died, including Uriah the Hittite. Then Joab sent a messenger to report to David all the details of the battle. And he commanded the messenger, When you finish telling the king about the battle, the king may become angry. He might ask you, Why did you go so close to the city to fight? Didn't you know they would shoot from the wall? Who killed Jerubbesheth's son Abimelech? Didn't a woman on the wall of Thebes throw a small millstone at him and kill him? Why did you go so close to the wall? If the king asks this, then say, Your man Uriah the Hittite is also dead. The messenger left, and when he arrived, he reported to David everything Joab told him to say. The messenger said, Their men overpowered us and came to attack us in the field. Then we forced them back to the entrance of the city gate. The archers on the wall shot down at your mercenaries, and some of your majesty's mercenaries died. Your man Uriah the Hittite also is dead. David said to the messenger, This is what you are to say to Joab. Don't let this thing trouble you, because a sword can kill one person as easily as another. Strengthen your attack against the city and destroy it. Say this to encourage him. When Uriah's wife heard that her husband Uriah was dead, she mourned for him. When her mourning was over, David sent for her and brought her to his home, and she became his wife. Then she gave birth to a son, but the Lord considered David's actions evil. Second Samuel chapter 12 So the Lord sent Nathan to David. Nathan came to him and said, There were two men in a certain city. One was rich, and the other was poor. The rich man had a very large number of sheep and cows, but the poor man had only one little female lamb that he had bought. He raised her, and she grew up in his home with his children. She would eat his food and drink from his cup. She rested in his arms and was like a daughter. Now a visitor came to the rich man. The rich man thought it would be a pity to take one of his own sheep or cattle to prepare a meal for the traveler. So he took the poor man's lamb and prepared her for the traveler. David burned with anger against the man. I solemnly swear as the Lord lives, he said to Nathan, the man who did this certainly deserves to die, and he must pay back four times the price of the lamb because he did this and had no pity. You are the man, 
Nathan told David. This is what the Lord God of Israel says. I anointed you king over Israel and rescued you from Saul. I gave you your master Saul's house and his wives. I gave you the house of Israel and Judah. And if this weren't enough, I would have given you even more. Why did you despise my word by doing what I considered evil? You had Uriah the Hittite killed in battle. You took his wife as your wife. You used the Ammonites to kill him. So warfare will never leave your house because you despised me and took the wife of Uriah the Hittite to be your wife. This is what the Lord says. I will stir up trouble against you within your own household, and before your own eyes I will take your wives and give them to someone close to you. He will go to bed with your wives in broad daylight. You did this secretly, but I will make this happen in broad daylight in front of all Israel. Then David said to Nathan, I have sinned against the Lord. Nathan replied, The Lord has taken away your sin. You will not die. But since you have shown total contempt for the Lord by this affair, the son that is born to you must die. Then Nathan went home. The Lord struck the child that Uriah's wife had given birth to for David, so that the child became sick. David pleaded with God for the child. He fasted and lay on the ground all night. The older leaders in his palace stood beside him to raise him up from the ground, but he was unwilling, and he wouldn't eat with them. On the seventh day the child died, but David's officials were afraid to tell him that the child was dead. They thought, while the child was alive, we talked to him, and he wouldn't listen to us. How can we tell him the child is dead? He may harm himself. But when David saw that his officials were whispering to one another, he realized that the child was dead. Is the child dead? David asked them. Yes, he is dead, they answered. So David got up from the ground, bathed, anointed himself, and changed his clothes. He went into the Lord's house and worshipped. Then he went home and asked for food. They placed food in front of him, and he ate. His officials asked him, Why are you acting this way? You fasted and cried over the child when he was alive, but as soon as the child died, you got up and ate. David answered, As long as the child was alive, I fasted and cried. I thought, Who knows? The Lord may be gracious to me and let the child live. But why should I fast now that he's dead? Can I bring him back? Some day I'll go to him, but he won't come back to me. Then David comforted his wife Bathsheba. He went to bed with her, and she later gave birth to a son. David named him Solomon. The Lord loved the child and sent a message through the prophet Nathan to name the baby Jedidiah, the Lord's beloved. Meanwhile, Joab fought against the Ammonite city of Rabbah and captured its royal fortress. So he sent messengers to tell David, I fought against Rabbah and captured the fortress guarding its water supply. Gather the rest of the troops, surround the city, and capture it. Otherwise, I will capture the city, and it will be named after me. So David gathered all the troops and went to Rabbah. He fought against the city and captured it. He took the gold crown from the head of Rabbah's king and put it on his own head. The crown weighed seventy-five pounds and contained a precious stone. David also took a lot of goods from the city. He brought out the troops who were there and put them to work with saws, hoes, and axes. He did the same to all the Ammonite cities. Then David and all the troops returned to Jerusalem. Second Samuel chapter 13 After this, David's son Amnon fell in love with Tamar, the beautiful sister of David's son Absalom. Amnon was so obsessed with his half-sister Tamar that he made himself sick. It seemed impossible for him to be alone with her because she was a virgin. Amnon had a friend by the name of Jonadab, a son of David's brother Shimea. 
Jonadab was a very clever man. He asked Amnon, Why are you, the king's son, so worn out morning after morning? Won't you tell me? I'm in love with Absalom's sister Tamar, he answered. Then Jonadab told him, Lie down on your bed, act sick, and when your father comes to see you, say to him, Please let my sister Tamar come to feed me. She can prepare a meal in front of me as I watch her, and she can feed me. So Amnon lay down and acted sick, and the king came to see him. Amnon asked the king, Please let my sister Tamar come and make some bread in front of me, and she can feed me. David sent for Tamar at the palace. Please go to your brother Amnon's home, he said, and prepare some food for him. So Tamar went to her brother Amnon's home. He was lying down. She took dough, kneaded it, made flat bread in front of him, and cooked it. Then she took the pan and served him the bread. But he refused to eat. Have everyone leave me, he said. So everyone left him. Amnon told Tamar, Bring the food into the bedroom so that you can feed me. Tamar took the bread she had prepared and brought it to her brother Amnon in the bedroom. When she handed it to him to eat, he grabbed her and said, Come to bed with me, Tamar. No, she told him, don't rape me. That shouldn't be done in Israel. Don't do this godless act. Where could I go in my disgrace? And you will be considered one of the godless fools in Israel. Speak to the king. He won't refuse your request to marry me. But Amnon wouldn't listen to her. He grabbed his sister and raped her. Now Amnon developed an intense hatred for her. His hatred for her was greater than the lust he had felt for her. Get out of here, he told her. She said to him, No, sending me away is a greater wrong than the other thing you did to me. But he wouldn't listen to her. Then he called his personal servant and said, Get rid of her, put her out, and bolt the door behind her. She was wearing a long-sleeved gown. The king's virgin daughters wore this kind of robe. So a servant took her out and bolted the door behind her. Tamar put ashes on her head, tore the long-sleeved gown she had on, put her hands on her head, and went away crying. Her brother Absalom asked her, Has your brother Amnon been with you? Sister, be quiet for now. He's your brother. Don't dwell on this matter. So Tamar stayed there at the home of her brother Absalom and was depressed. When King David heard about this, he became very angry. But David didn't punish his son Amnon. He favored Amnon because he was his firstborn son. Absalom wouldn't speak at all to Amnon. He hated Amnon for raping his sister Tamar. Two years later, Absalom had sheep shearers at Baal Hazor near Ephraim. He invited all the king's sons. Absalom went to the king and said, Since I have sheep shearers, your majesty and your officials are invited to feast with me. No, son, the king answered Absalom. If we all go, we'll be a burden to you. Even when Absalom continued to urge him, David did not want to go, though he did give Absalom his blessing. So Absalom said, If you won't go, then please let my brother Amnon go with us. Why should he go with you? the king asked him. But when Absalom urged him, he let Amnon and all the rest of the king's sons go with him. Then Absalom gave an order to his servants. Watch now, he said. When Amnon begins to feel good from drinking too much wine, I'll tell you, attack Amnon. Then kill him. Don't be afraid. I've given you the order, haven't I? Be strong and courageous. Absalom's servants did to Amnon as Absalom had ordered. Then all the king's sons got up, mounted their mules, and fled. While they were on their way, David heard this rumor. Absalom has killed all the king's sons, and not a single one is left. The king stood up tore his clothes, and lay down on the ground. All his servants were standing beside him with their clothes torn to show their grief. 
Then Jonadab, the son of David's brother Shimea, said, Sir, don't think that all the young men, all the king's sons, have been killed. Only Amnon is dead. Absalom decided to do this the day his half-brother raped his sister Tamar. You shouldn't burden your heart with the idea that all the king's sons are dead. Your majesty, only Amnon is dead. Absalom has fled. When the servant who kept watch looked up, he saw many people coming down the road beside the mountain west of him. Then Jonadab told the king, The king's sons have come. It's just as I said. When he finished speaking, the king's sons arrived and cried loudly. The king and all his men also cried very bitterly. Absalom, however, fled to Geshur's king Talmai, Amahud's son. But the king mourned for his son Amnon every day. Absalom, having fled to Geshur, stayed there three years. King David began to long for Absalom once people had consoled him over Amnon's death. Second Samuel chapter 14 Joab, Zeruiah's son, knew the king was still thinking about Absalom. So Joab sent someone to Tekoa to get a clever woman from there. He told her, Please act like a mourner and dress in mourning clothes. Don't rub olive oil on yourself, but act like a woman who has been mourning for the dead for a long time. Go to the king and tell him this. Then Joab told her exactly what to say. The woman from Tekoa came to the king and immediately bowed down with a face touching the ground. Help me, your majesty, she said. The king asked her, What can I do for you? She answered, I'm a widow. My husband is dead. I had two sons who quarreled in the field, and there was no one to separate them. One killed the other. Then the entire family turned against me. They said, Give us the man who killed his brother so that we can kill him because he took his brother's life. We're going to destroy the one who now would be the heir. In this way they wish to extinguish the one burning coal that is left for me. They will not let my husband's name or descendants remain on the face of the earth. Go home, the king told the woman. I will order someone to take care of this matter. The woman from Tekoa said to the king, Let me be held responsible for the sin, your majesty. Let my father's family be held responsible. Your majesty and your throne are innocent. The king said, If anyone says anything against you, bring him to me. He'll never harm you again. She said, your Majesty, please pray to the Lord your God in order to keep an avenger from doing more harm by destroying my son. I solemnly swear as the Lord lives, he said, not a hair on your son's head will fall to the ground. The woman said, Please let me say something else to you. Speak, he said. Why have you devised something like this against God's people, she said. When you say this, you condemn yourself because you haven't brought back the one you banished. We are all going to die. We are all like water that is poured on the ground and can't be gathered up. But doesn't God forgive a person? He never plans to keep a banished person in exile. I've come to say this to you because the people have frightened me. So I thought, I will speak to the king about this. Maybe the king will do something for me, his subject. Maybe the king will listen and rescue me, his subject, from the man who wants to cut off both me and my son from our God-given inheritance. I thought that you would reassure me. You are like God's messenger who is able to distinguish right from wrong. May the Lord your God be with you. The king said to the woman, Please don't refuse to answer the question I'm going to ask you. The woman responded, Please speak, your majesty. Did Joab put you up to this? The king asked. The woman answered, I solemnly swear on your life, your majesty, you are absolutely right. Yes, your servant Joab ordered me to do this. He told me to say exactly what I said. Your servant Joab has done this to portray the matter in a different light. You are as wise as God's messenger who knows everything on earth. 
Then the king told Joab, This is what you'll do. Bring back the young man Absalom. Joab quickly bowed down with his face touching the ground, and he blessed the king. He said, Today I know that you have been kind to me, because you have done what I wanted. So Joab went to Geshur and brought Absalom back to Jerusalem. But the king said, Absalom should return to his own house. He will not see me. So Absalom returned to his house and didn't see the king. Now no one in all Israel was praised for his good looks as much as Absalom was. He had no blemish from head to toe. At the end of every year he used to cut his hair because it became heavy for him. When he cut the hair on his head and weighed it, it weighed five pounds according to the royal standard. Absalom had three sons and one daughter. His daughter Tamar was a beautiful woman. Absalom stayed in Jerusalem two full years without seeing the king. So Absalom sent for Joab in order to send him to the king, but Joab refused to come. Absalom sent for him a second time, but he still refused to come. So Absalom said to his servants, Look, Joab's field is next to mine. He has barley in it. Go and set it on fire. So Absalom's servants set it on fire. Joab's servants came to him in grief and said, Absalom's servants have set your field on fire. Then Joab immediately went to Absalom at his home. Why did your servant set my field on fire? he asked. Absalom answered Joab, I sent someone to tell you to come here because I wanted to send you to the king to ask him why I had come from Geshur. It would be better for me if I were still there. Let me see the king now. If I'm guilty of a sin, he should kill me. Joab went to the king and told him this. The king then called for Absalom, who came to the king and bowed down with his face touching the ground. And the king kissed Absalom. Second Samuel, chapter 15. Soon after this, Absalom acquired a chariot, horses, and fifty men to run ahead of him. Absalom used to get up early and stand by the road leading to the city gate. When anyone had a case to be tried by King David, Absalom would ask, Which city are you from? After the person had told him which tribe in Israel he was from, Absalom would say, Your case is good and proper, but the king hasn't appointed anyone to hear it. He would add, I wish someone would make me judge in the land, then anyone who had a case to be tried could come to me, and I would make sure that he got justice. When anyone approached him and bowed down, Absalom would reach out, take hold of him, and kiss him. This is what he did for all Israelites who came to the king to have him try their case. So Absalom stole the hearts of the people of Israel. Four years later, Absalom said to the king, Let me go to Hebron and keep the vow I made to the Lord. I made a vow while I was living at Geshur in Aram. I said, If the Lord will bring me back to Jerusalem, I will serve the Lord. Go in peace, the king told him. So he went to Hebron. But Absalom sent his loyal supporters to all the tribes of Israel and said, When you hear the sound of the ram's horn, say, Absalom has become king in Hebron. Two hundred men invited from Jerusalem went with Absalom. They went innocently, knowing nothing about Absalom's plans. While Absalom was offering sacrifices, he sent for Ahithophel, David's adviser, to come from his home in Gilo. Meanwhile, the conspiracy grew stronger, and the number of people siding with Absalom kept getting larger. Someone came to tell David, The hearts of the people of Israel are with Absalom. David told all his men who were with him in Jerusalem, Let's flee immediately, or none of us will escape from Absalom. Let's leave right away, or he'll catch up to us and bring disaster on us when he massacres the city. The king's servants told him, No matter what happens, we are your majesty's servants. The king left on foot, and his whole household followed him, except ten concubines, whom the king left behind to take care of the palace. As the king and his troops were leaving the city on foot, they stopped at the last house. 
All his mercenaries passed by him, all the Cherethites, all the Pelethites, Itai, and all six hundred men who had followed him from Gath were marching past the king. The king asked Itai from Gath, Why should you go with us? Go back and stay with King Absalom. You are a foreigner, an exile from your homeland. You came to us just yesterday. Should I make you wander around with me when I don't even know where I'm going? Go back and take your countrymen with you. May the Lord always show you kindness. But Itai answered the king, I solemnly swear, as the Lord and the king live, wherever you are, whether you're dead or alive, I'll be there. So David told Itai, Go ahead and keep marching. So Itai from Gath marched on with all his men and all the families who were with him. The whole country was crying loudly as all the troops were passing by. The king was crossing the Kidron Valley, and all the people were moving down the road toward the desert. Zadok and all the Levites with him were carrying the Ark of God's promise. They set down the Ark of God beside Abiathar until all the troops had withdrawn from the city. The king told Zadok, Take God's Ark back to the city. If the Lord looks favorably on me, he will allow me to come back and see both it and its dwelling place again. But if he says, I'm not pleased with you, let him do to me what he considers right. Aren't you a seer? the king asked Zadok the priest. Go back to the city peacefully and take your son Ahimaaz and Abiathar's son Jonathan with you. I'll wait at the river crossings in the desert until I receive a message from you. So Zadok and Abiathar took the ark of God back to Jerusalem and stayed there. David cried as he went up the Mount of Olives. He covered his head and walked barefoot, and all of the troops with him covered their heads and cried as they went. Then David was told, Ahithophel is among those conspiring with Absalom. So David prayed, Lord, make Ahithophel's advice foolish. When David came to the top of the Mount of Olives, where people worshipped God, Hushai from Archi's family was there to meet him. His clothes were torn, and he had dirt on his head. David told him, If you go with me, you will only be a burden to me. But if you go back to the city and say to Absalom, Your Majesty, I'll be your servant. I was your father's servant in the past, but now I'll be your servant. Then you'll help me by undoing Ahithophel's advice. The priest Zadok and Abiathar will be with you there. When you hear anything from the royal palace, tell it to the priest Zadok and Abiathar. They have two sons with them. Zadok has Ahimaaz, and Abiathar has Jonathan. Send them to report to me anything you hear. So Hushai, David's friend, went to the city as Absalom was entering Jerusalem. Second Samuel, chapter 16. When David had gone over the top of the Mount of Olives, Ziba, Mephibosheth's servant, met him with a pair of saddled donkeys. They were loaded with two hundred loaves of bread, one hundred bunches of raisins, one hundred pieces of ripened fruit, and a full wineskin. Why did you bring these? David asked Ziba. The donkeys are for the king's family to ride on, Ziba answered. The bread and the ripe fruit are for your servants to eat. The wine is for those who become tired and thirsty in the desert. Where is your master, Saul's grandson? the king asked. He's staying in Jerusalem, Ziba answered the king. He said, Today the house of Israel will give me back my grandfather's kingdom. The king told Ziba, In that case everything that belonged to Mephibosheth now belongs to you. I sincerely thank you, said Ziba. I hope to remain in your good graces, your majesty. When King David came to Bahurim, a man who was a distant cousin of Saul came out cursing. His name was Shimei, son of Gera. He threw stones at David and David's servants, although all the people and all the warriors were shielding David. 
Shimei cursed and said, Get out, get out, you bloodthirsty man, you worthless person. The Lord is paying you back for all the blood you spilled in the family of Saul, whom you succeeded as king. The Lord is giving the kingship to your son Absalom. Now you're in trouble because you're a bloodthirsty man. Abishai, Zeruiah's son, asked the king, Why should this dead dog curse you, your majesty? Let me go over there and tear off his head. But the king said, You don't think like me at all, sons of Zeruiah. Let him curse. If the Lord has told him, Curse David, should anyone ask, Why do you do that? David told Abishai and all his servants, My own son, my own flesh and blood is trying to kill me. Why, then, shouldn't this Benjamite do this? Leave him alone. Let him curse, since the Lord has told him to do it. Maybe the Lord will see my misery and turn his curse into a blessing for me today. As David and his men went along the road, Shimei was walking along the hillside parallel to him. Shimei cursed, hurled stones, and threw dirt at David. The king and all the people with him finally arrived at their destination and rested there. Meanwhile Absalom and all Israel's troops came to Jerusalem, and Ahithophel was with him. When David's friend Hushai from Archi's family came to Absalom, he said, Long live the king! Long live the king! Is that how loyal you are to your friend? Absalom asked Hushai. Why didn't you go with him? Hushai answered Absalom, No, I want to be with the one whom the Lord, these people and all Israel, have chosen. I will be his friend and stay with him. And besides, whom should I serve? Shouldn't it be his son? As I served your father, so I'll serve you. Then Absalom asked Ahithophel, What's your advice? What should we do? Ahithophel told Absalom, Sleep with your father's concubines, whom he left to take care of the palace. Then all Israel will hear about how you have made your father despise you. Everyone who is with you will support you even more. So a tent was put up on the roof for Absalom, and he slept with his father's concubines in plain sight of Israel. In those days both David and Absalom thought that Ahithophel's advice was like getting an answer from God. Second Samuel chapter 17 Ahithophel said to Absalom, Let me choose twelve thousand men and leave tonight to go after David. I'll attack him while he's tired and weak, and I'll cause him to panic. All the people with him will flee, but I'll kill only him. I'll return all the people to you as a bride is returned to her husband. Since you will be seeking the life of only one man, all the people will have peace. Absalom and all the leaders of Israel approved this plan. Absalom said, Please call Hushai, who is descended from Archi's family, and let us hear what he, too, has to say. When Hushai arrived, Absalom said to him, Ahithophel has told us his plan. Should we do what he says? If not, tell us. This time Ahithophel's advice is no good, Hushai said to Absalom. You know your father and his men. They are warriors as fierce as a wild bear whose cubs have been stolen. Your father is an experienced soldier. He will not camp with the troops tonight. He has already hidden in one of the ravines or some other place. If some of our soldiers are killed in the initial attack, others will definitely hear about it and say, The troops that support Absalom have been defeated. Even the bravest man with a heart like a lion would lose his courage, because all Israel knows that your father is a warrior and the men with him are brave. So my advice is to gather all Israel's troops from Dan to Beersheba, since they are as numerous as the sand on the seashore. Lead them into battle yourself. Then we'll attack him wherever we find him. We'll fall on him as dew falls on the ground. Neither he nor any of his men will be left alive. If he retreats into a city... 
All Israel will bring ropes to that city and drag it into a valley, so that not even a pebble will be found there. Absalom and all the people of Israel said, The advice of Hushai from Archi's family is better than Ahithophel's advice. The Lord had commanded Ahithophel's good advice to be defeated in order to ruin Absalom. Then Hushai told the priests Zadok and Abiathar, Ahithophel advised Absalom and the leaders of Israel to do one thing, but I advised them to do something else. Now send messengers quickly to tell David, Don't rest tonight in the river crossings in the desert, but make sure you cross the river, or your majesty and all the troops with him will be wiped out. Jonathan and Ahimaaz were waiting at Enrogel. They could not risk being seen coming into the city, so a servant girl was to go and tell them, and they were to go and tell King David. But a young man saw Jonathan and Ahimaaz and told Absalom. So both of them left quickly and came to the home of a man in Bahurim, who had a cistern in his courtyard, and they went down into it. The man's wife took a cover, spread it over the top of the cistern, and scattered some grain over it so that no one could tell it was there. Absalom's servants came to the woman at her home. Where are Ahimaaz and Jonathan, they asked. The woman said, They've crossed the stream. The servants looked for them but did not find them. So Absalom's servants returned to Jerusalem. After Absalom's servants left, both men came out of the cistern and went and told King David, Leave right away. They told David, Cross the river quickly, because this is what Ahithophel has advised against you. David and all the troops with him left to cross the Jordan River. When the dawn came, everyone had crossed the Jordan River. When Ahithophel saw that his advice hadn't been followed, he saddled his donkey, left, and went home to his own city. He gave instructions to his family. Then he hanged himself, died, and was buried in his father's tomb. David had already come to Mahanaim by the time Absalom and all the men of Israel with him crossed the Jordan River. Absalom appointed Amasa to take Joab's place as commander of the army. Amasa was the son of a man named Ithra, a descendant of Ishmael. His mother was Abigail, the daughter of Nahash, and sister of Joab's mother Zeruiah. The Israelites and Absalom camped in the region of Gilead. When David came to Mahanaim, Shobi, son of Nahash, from Rabbah in Ammon, and Machir, son of Amiel, from Lodabar, and Barzillai, from Regolim in Gilead, brought supplies and food for David and his troops, bedding, bowls, pots, wheat, barley, flour, roasted grain, beans, lentils, honey, buttermilk, sheep, and calves. They brought these things because they thought the troops in the desert are hungry, exhausted, and thirsty. Second Samuel, chapter 18. David called together the troops that were with him. He appointed commanders in charge of regiments and battalions. David put a third of the troops under Joab's command, another third under Joab's brother Abishai, Zeruiah's son, and the last third under Ittai from Gath. I am going into battle with you, the king said to the troops. You're not going with us, the troops said. If we flee, they won't care about us, and if half of us die, they won't care either. But you're worth ten thousand of us. It's better for you to be ready to send us help from the city. I'll do what you think best, the king responded. So the king stood by the gate while all the troops marched out by battalions and regiments. The king ordered Joab, Abishai, and Ittai, Treat the young man Absalom gently for my sake. All the troops heard him give all the commanders this order regarding Absalom. So the troops went out to the country to fight Israel in the forest of Ephraim. There David's men defeated Israel's army, and the massacre was sizable that day, twenty thousand men. The fighting spread over the whole country. That day the woods devoured more people than the battle. 
Absalom happened to come face to face with some of David's men. He was riding on a mule, and the mule went under the tangled branches of a large tree. Absalom's head became caught in the tree, so he was left hanging in midair when the mule that was under him ran away. A man who saw this told Joab, I saw Absalom hanging in a tree. What? You saw that? Joab said to the man who told him. Why didn't you strike him to the ground? Then I would have felt obligated to give you four ounces of silver and a belt. But the man told Joab, Even if I felt the weight of twenty-five pounds of silver in my hand, I wouldn't raise my hand against the king's son. We heard the order the king gave you, Abishai and Ittai. Protect the young man Absalom for my sake. If I had done something treacherous to him, would you have stood by me? Like everything else, it wouldn't stay hidden from the king. Then Joab said, I shouldn't waste time with you like this. He took three sharp sticks and plunged them into Absalom's heart while he was still alive in the tree. Then ten of Joab's armor-bearers surrounded Absalom, attacked him, and killed him. Joab blew the ram's horn to stop their fighting, and the troops returned from pursuing Israel. They took Absalom, threw him into a huge pit in the forest, and piled a large heap of stones over him. Meanwhile, all Israel fled and went back to their homes. While he was still living, Absalom had taken a rock and set it up for himself in the king's valley. He said, I have no son to keep the memory of my name alive. He called the rock by his name, and it is still called Absalom's monument today. Then Ahimaaz, Zadok's son, said, Let me run and bring the king the good news that the Lord has freed him from his enemies. But Joab told him, You won't be the man carrying good news today. You can carry the news some other day. You must not deliver the news today, because the king's son is dead. Then Joab said to a man from Sudan, Go tell the king what you saw. The messenger bowed down with his face touching the ground in front of Joab, and then ran off. Ahimaaz, Zadok's son, spoke to Joab again. Whatever may happen, I also want to run after the Sudanese messenger. Now, son, why should you deliver the message? Joab asked. You won't be rewarded for this news. Whatever happens, I'd like to run, replied Ahimaaz. Run, Joab told him. So Ahimaaz ran along the valley road and got ahead of the Sudanese messenger. David was sitting between the two gates while the watchman walked along the roof of the gate by the wall. As he looked, he saw a man running alone. The watchman called and alerted the king. If he's alone, the king said, he has good news to tell. The runner continued to come closer. When the watchman saw another man running, the watchman called, There's another man running alone. The king said, This one is also bringing good news. The watchman said, It seems to me that the first one runs like Ahimaaz, Zadok's son. He's a good man, the king said. He must be coming with good news. Then Ahimaaz came up to the king, greeted him, and bowed down in front of him. Ahimaaz said, May the Lord your God be praised. He has handed over the men who rebelled against your majesty. Is the young man Absalom all right? the king asked. Ahimaaz answered, I saw a lot of confusion when Joab sent me away, but I didn't know what it meant. Step aside and stand here, the king said. He stepped aside and stood there. Then the Sudanese messenger came. Good news for your majesty, he said. Today the Lord has freed you from all who turned against you. Is the young man Absalom all right? the king asked. The Sudanese messenger answered, May your enemies and all who turned against you be like that young man. The king was shaken by the news. He went to the room above the gate and cried, My son Absalom, he said as he went, My son, 
My son, Absalom, I wish I had died in your place. Absalom, my son, my son. Second Samuel, chapter 19. Joab was told, The king is crying and mourning for Absalom. The victory of that day was turned into mourning because all the troops heard that the king was grieving for his son. That day the troops sneaked into the city as if they had fled from battle and were ashamed of it. The king covered his face and cried loudly, My son Absalom, Absalom, my son, my son. Then Joab came into the house. Today you have made all your men feel ashamed, he said. They saved your life and the lives of your sons, daughters, wives, and concubines today. You love those who hate you and hate those who love you. Today you have made it clear that your commanders and servants mean nothing to you. I think you would be pleased if Absalom were alive and all of us were dead. Now get up, go out, and encourage your men. I swear to you by the Lord that if you don't go out, no one will stay with you tonight, and that will be worse than all the trouble you've had in your entire life. The king sat in the gateway. When all the troops were told, the king is sitting in the gateway, they came to the king. Meanwhile, Israel had fled and went back to their own homes. All the people in all the tribes of Israel were arguing with one another, saying, The king rescued us from our enemies and saved us from the Philistines, but now he has fled from Absalom and left the country. However, Absalom, whom we anointed to rule us, has died in battle. Why is no one talking about bringing back the king? What all Israel was saying reached the king at his house. So King David sent this message to the priests Zadok and Abiathar. Ask the leaders of Judah, Why should you be the last tribe to bring the king back to his palace? You are my relatives, my own flesh and blood. Why should you be the last to bring back the king? And tell Amasa, Aren't you my flesh and blood? May God strike me dead unless you are given Joab's place to serve me always as the commander of the army. All the people of Judah were in total agreement. So they sent the king this message, Come back with all your servants. The king came back to the Jordan River, and the people of Judah came to Gilgal to meet the king and bring him across the Jordan River. Shimei, Gera's son from the tribe of Benjamin and the town of Bahurim, hurried down with the people of Judah to meet King David. One thousand people from Benjamin were with him, and Ziba, the servant of Saul's family, rushed to the Jordan River across from the king. Ziba brought his fifteen sons and twenty servants. They crossed the river to bring over the king's family and to do anything else the king wanted. Shimei, Gera's son, bowed down in front of the king as he was going to cross the Jordan River. He pleaded with the king, Don't remember the crime I committed the day you left Jerusalem. Don't hold it against me or even think about it, your majesty. I know I've sinned. Today I've come as the first of all the house of Joseph to meet you. But Abishai, Zeruiah's son, replied, Shouldn't Shimei be put to death for cursing the Lord's anointed king? David responded, Are you sure we're from the same family, sons of Zeruiah? You are my enemies today. Should anyone in Israel be killed today? Don't I know that I'm king of Israel again? The king promised Shimei, You won't die. And the king swore to it. Mephibosheth, Saul's grandson, went to meet the king. He had not tended to his feet, trimmed his mustache, or washed his clothes from the day the king left until he came home safely. When he came from Jerusalem to meet the king, the king asked him, Why didn't you go with me, Befibosheth? He answered, My servant deceived me, your majesty. Since I am disabled, I said, Saddle the donkey for me, and I'll ride on it and go with the king. He told you lies about me, your majesty. 
However, you are like God's messenger. Do what you think is right. You could have killed anyone in my entire family, Your Majesty. Instead, you've seated me with those who eat at your table, so I no longer have the right to complain to the king. The king asked him, Why do you keep talking about it? I've said that you and Ziba should divide the land. Let him take it all, Mephibosheth told the king. It's enough for me that you've come home safely. Barzillai, the man from Gilead, came from Rogalim with the king to the Jordan River to send him on his way. Barzillai was an elderly man, eighty years old. Because he was a very rich man, he had provided the king with food while he was staying at Mahanaim. The king told Barzillai, Cross the river with me, I'll provide for you in Jerusalem. Barzillai replied, I don't have much longer to live. I shouldn't go with your majesty to Jerusalem. I'm eighty years old now. How can I tell what is pleasant and what is not? Can I taste what I eat or drink? Can I still hear the singing of men and women? Why should I now become a burden to you? Your Majesty, I'll just cross the Jordan River with you. Why should you give me such a reward? Please let me go back so that I can die in my city near the grave of my father and mother. But here is Chimham. Let him go across with you, and do for him what you think is right. Chimham will go across with me, the king said. I will do for him whatever you want. Anything you wish, I'll do for you. All the troops crossed the Jordan River, and then the king crossed. The king kissed Barzillai and blessed him. Then Barzillai went back home. The king crossed the river to Gilgal, and Chimham went with him. All the troops from Judah and half of the troops from Israel brought the king across. Then all the people of Israel kept coming to the king. They asked, Why did our cousins, the people of Judah, kidnap you and bring your majesty and your family and men across the Jordan River? All the people of Judah answered the people of Israel, Because the king is our relative. Why are you angry about this? Did we eat the king's food, or did he give us any gifts? The people of Israel answered the people of Judah, We have ten times your interest in the king and a greater claim on David than you have. Why then do you despise us? Weren't we the first to suggest bringing back our king? But the people of Judah spoke even more harshly than the people of Israel. Second Samuel chapter 20 a good-for-nothing man by the name of Sheba, Bikri's son, from the tribe of Benjamin, happened to be at Gilgal. He blew a ram's horn to announce, We have no share in David's kingdom. We won't receive an inheritance from Jesse's son. Everyone to his own tent, Israel. So all the people of Israel left David to follow Sheba, Bikri's son. But the people of Judah remained loyal to their king on his way from the Jordan River to Jerusalem. When David came to his palace in Jerusalem, he took the ten concubines he had left to look after the palace and put them in a house under guard. He provided for them, but no longer slept with them. So they lived like widows in confinement until they died. The king told Amasa, Call the people of Judah together for me, and in three days be here yourself. Amasa went to call Judah together, but he took longer to do it than David had given him. David then told Abishai, Sheba, son of Bikri, will do us more harm than Absalom. Take my men and go after him, or he will find some fortified cities and take the best ones for himself. So Joab's men, the Cherethites, Pelethites, and all the soldiers went with Abishai. They left Jerusalem to pursue Sheba, Bikri's son. When they were at the large rock in Gibeon, Amasa met them there. Joab wore a military uniform, and strapped over it at his hip was a sword in a scabbard. As he stepped forward, the sword dropped into his hand. How are you, my brother? 
Joab asked Amasa. He took hold of Amasa's beard with his right hand to kiss him. Amasa wasn't on his guard against the sword in Joab's left hand. Joab stabbed him in the stomach, and his intestines poured out on the ground. He died without being stabbed again. Then Joab and his brother Abishai pursued Sheba, son of Bikri. One of Joab's young men stood beside Amasa and said, Anyone who favors Joab and is on David's side should follow Joab. Amasa was wallowing in his blood in the middle of the road. When the man saw that all the troops stopped as they came to the body, he carried Amasa from the road to the field and threw a sheet over him. As soon as he was moved from the road, everyone followed Joab and pursued Sheba, Bikri's son. Sheba passed through all the tribes of Israel to Abel, Beth Maacah. All the Beerites were gathered together and followed him to the city. Joab's army came and attacked him in Abel, Beth Maacah. They put up a dirt ramp against the city, and it stood level with the outer wall. All the troops with Joab were trying to destroy the wall and tear it down. Then a clever woman called from the city, Listen! Listen! Tell Joab to come here so that I can talk to him. He came near, and she asked, Are you Joab? I am, he answered. Listen to what I have to say, she told him. I'm listening, he answered. So she said, There's an old saying, Be sure to ask at Abel before doing anything. That's the way they settle matters. We are peaceful and faithful Israelites. Are you trying to destroy a mother city in Israel? Why should you swallow up what belongs to the Lord? Joab answered, That's unthinkable. I don't wish to swallow it up or destroy it. That isn't the case. A man from the mountains of Ephraim by the name of Sheba, son of Bikri, has rebelled against King David. Give him to me, and I'll withdraw from the city. That's fine, the woman told Joab. His head will be thrown to you from the wall. Then the woman went to all the people with her clever plan. They cut off Sheba's head and threw it to Joab. He blew the ram's horn, and everyone scattered, and withdrew from the city and went home. Joab went back to the king in Jerusalem. Now Joab was put in charge of Israel's whole army. Benaiah, son of Jehoiada, was in charge of the Cherethites and Pelethites. Adoram was in charge of forced labor. Jehoshaphat, son of Ahilud, was the royal historian. Sheva was the royal scribe. Zadok and Abiathar were priests. And Ira, a descendant of Jair, was a priest to David. 2 Samuel, chapter 21. In the time of David there was a famine for three successive years, and David asked the Lord's advice about it. The Lord answered, It's because of Saul and his family. They are guilty of murder because they killed the people of Gibeon. The Gibeonites were not a part of Israel, but were left over from the Amorites. Although the Israelites had sworn to spare them, Saul, in his eagerness, tried to destroy them for Israel and Judah. The king called the Gibeonites and asked them, What can I do for you? What should I give you to make peace with you, so that you will bless what belongs to the Lord? We do not want silver or gold from Saul's family, the Gibeonites answered him, and none of us wants to kill anyone in Israel. The king asked, What are you saying that I should do for you? They answered the king, Give us seven of the male descendants of the man who wanted to finish us off. He planned to wipe us out to keep us from staying anywhere in Israel's territory. We will execute them in the Lord's presence at Saul's town Gibeah. It was Saul whom the Lord had chosen. I will give them to you, the king said. But the king spared Mephibosheth, Jonathan's son, and Saul's grandson, because of the oath in the Lord's name between David and Jonathan, son of Saul. The king took Armoni and Mephibosheth, 
the two sons whom Rispa, Aiah's daughter, gave birth to for Saul, and five sons whom Merab, Saul's daughter, gave birth to for Adriel, son of Barzillai, from Maholah. The king handed them over to the Gibeonites, who executed them on the mountain in the Lord's presence. All seven died together. They were killed at the beginning of the harvest, when people started harvesting barley. Rispah, Aiah's daughter, took sackcloth and stretched it out on the rock for herself from the beginning of the harvest until the sky rained on the dead bodies. She wouldn't let any birds land on them during the day or any wild animals come near them during the night. When David was told what Saul's concubine Rispah, Aiah's daughter, had done, David went and took the bones of Saul and his son Jonathan from the citizens of Jabesh-Gilead. They had stolen them from the public square of Beth-Shean, where the Philistines had hung them the day they killed Saul at Gilboa. When David brought up the bones of Saul and Jonathan, his men gathered the bones of those who had been executed. Then they buried the bones of Saul and his son Jonathan in the land of Benjamin in Zelah, in the tomb of Saul's father Kish. They did everything the king ordered. After that, God answered the prayers for the land. Once again there was a battle between the Philistines and Israel. So David and his men went to fight the Philistines, but David became exhausted. A descendant of Haraphah, named Benob, who had a bronze spear weighing seven and one-half pounds, which he wore on a new belt, captured David and intended to kill him. But Abishai, son of Zeruiah, came to help David. He attacked the Philistine and killed him. Then David's men swore an oath, saying, You'll never go into battle with us again. The lamp of Israel must never be extinguished. After this there was another battle with the Philistines at Gob. Then Sibakai from Husha killed Saf, another descendant of Harapha. When more fighting broke out with the Philistines at Gob, Elhanan, son of Jare Oregim from Bethlehem, killed Goliath of Gath. The shaft of Goliath's spear was like a beam used by weavers. In another battle at Gath, there was a tall man who had a total of twenty-four fingers and toes, six fingers on each hand and six toes on each foot. He also was a descendant of Harapha. When he challenged Israel, Jonathan, son of David's brother Shimei, killed him. These four were descendants of Harapha from Gath, and David and his men killed them. Second Samuel, chapter 22. David sang this song to the Lord when the Lord rescued him from all his enemies, especially from Saul. He said, The Lord is my rock and my fortress and my Savior, my God, my rock in whom I take refuge, my shield, the strength of my salvation, my stronghold, my refuge, and my Savior who saved me from violence. The Lord should be praised. I called on Him, and I was saved from my enemies. The waves of death had surrounded me. The torrents of destruction had overwhelmed me. The ropes of the grave had surrounded me. The clutches of death had confronted me. I called on the Lord in my distress. I called to my God for help. He heard my voice from his temple, and my cry for help reached his ears. Then the earth shook and quaked. Even the foundations of the heavens trembled. They shook violently because he was angry. Smoke went up from his nostrils, and a raging fire came out of his mouth. Glowing coals flared up from it. He spread apart the heavens and came down with a dark cloud under his feet. He rode on one of the angels as he flew, and he soared on the wings of the wind. He surrounded himself with darkness. He made the dark rain clouds his covering. Out of the brightness in front of him he made lightning. The Lord thundered from heaven. The Most High made his voice heard. He shot arrows and scattered them. 
he flashed streaks of lightning and threw them into confusion. Then the ocean floor could be seen. The foundations of the earth were laid bare at the Lord's stern warning, at the blast of the breath from his nostrils. He reached down from high above and took hold of me. He pulled me out of the raging water. He rescued me from my strong enemy and from those who hated me, because they were too strong for me. On the day when I faced disaster, they confronted me, but the Lord became my defense. He brought me out to a wide-open place. He rescued me because he was pleased with me. The Lord rewarded me because of my righteousness, because my hands are clean. He paid me back because I have kept the ways of the Lord, and I have not wickedly turned away from my God. Because all his judgments are in front of me, and I have not turned away from his laws. I was innocent as far as he was concerned. I have kept myself from guilt. The Lord paid me back because of my righteousness, because he can see that I am clean. In dealing with faithful people, you are faithful. With innocent warriors, you are innocent. With pure people, you are pure. In dealing with devious people, you are clever. You save humble people, but your eyes bring down arrogant people. O Lord, you are my lamp. The Lord turns my darkness into light. With you I can attack a line of soldiers. With my God I can break through barricades. God's way is perfect. The promise of the Lord has proven to be true. He is a shield to all those who take refuge in Him. Who is God but the Lord? Who is a rock other than our God? God arms me with strength. His perfect way sets me free. He makes my feet like those of a deer and gives me sure footing on high places. He trains my hands for battle so that my arms can bend an archer's bow of bronze. You have given me the shield of your salvation. Your help makes me great. You make a wide path for me to walk on so that my feet do not slip. I chased my enemies and destroyed them. I did not return until I had ended their lives. I ended their lives by shattering them. They were unable to get up. They fell under my feet. You armed me with strength for battle. You made my opponents bow at my feet. You made my enemies turn their backs to me, and I destroyed those who hated me. They looked, but there was no one to save them. They looked to the Lord, but he did not answer them. I beat them into a powder as fine as the dust on the ground. I crushed them and stomped on them like the dirt on the streets. You rescued me from my conflicts with my people. You kept me as the leader of nations. A people I did not know will serve me. Foreigners will cringe in front of me. As soon as they hear of me, they will obey me. Foreigners will lose heart, although they are armed in their fortifications. The Lord lives. Thanks be to my rock. May God, the rock of my salvation, be glorified. God gives me vengeance. He brings people under my authority. He frees me from my enemies. You lift me up above my opponents. You rescue me from violent people. That is why I will give thanks to you, O Lord, among the nations, and make music to praise your name. He gives great victories to his king. He shows mercy to his anointed, to David, and to his descendant forever. Second Samuel chapter 23 These are the last words of David. Here is the declaration by David, son of Jesse the declaration by the man whom God raised up, whom the God of Jacob anointed, the singer of Israel's psalms. The Spirit of the Lord spoke through me. His words were on my tongue. The God of Israel spoke to them. The rock of Israel told me. 
The one who rules humans with justice rules with the fear of God. He is like the morning light as the sun rises, like a morning without clouds, like the brightness after a rainstorm. The rain makes the grass grow from the earth. Truly, God considers my house to be that way, because He has made a lasting promise to me, with every detail arranged and assured. He promised everything that helps me, everything that pleases me. Truly, He makes these things happen. Worthless people are like thorns. All of them are thrown away, because they cannot be picked by hand. A person who touches them uses iron tools or the shaft of a spear. Fire will burn them up completely wherever they are. These are the names of David's fighting men. Joshua Bashibeth from Takemont's family was leader of the three. He used a spear to kill eight hundred men on one occasion. Next in rank to him was Eleazar, another one of the three fighting men. He was the son of Dodo and grandson of Aho. Eleazar was with David at Pastamamim when the Philistines gathered there for battle. When the soldiers from Israel retreated, he attacked and killed Philistines until his hand got tired and stuck to his sword. So the Lord won an impressive victory that day. The army returned to Eleazar, but they only returned to strip the dead. Next in rank to him was Shammah, the son of Agi from Harar. The Philistines had gathered at Lehi, where there was a field of ripe lentils. When the troops fled from the Philistines, he stood in the middle of the field and defended it by killing Philistines. So the Lord won an impressive victory. At harvest time, three of the thirty leading men came to David at the cave of Adullam when a troop from the Philistine army was camping in the valley of Rephaim. While David was in the fortified camp, Philistine troops were at Bethlehem. When David became thirsty, he said, I wish I could have a drink of water from the well at the city gate of Bethlehem. So the three fighting men burst into the Philistine camp and drew water from the well. They brought it to David, but he refused to drink it. He poured it out as an offering to the Lord and said, It's unthinkable that I would do this, Lord. This is the blood of men who risked their lives. So he refused to drink it. These are the things which the three fighting men did. Joab's brother Abishai, Zeruiah's son, was the leader of the thirty. He used his spear to kill three hundred men. He was as famous as the three, and was honored more than they were. So he became their captain. But he didn't become a member of the three. Benaiah, son of Jehoiada, was from Gabzeel, and was a brave man who did many things. He killed two distinguished soldiers from Moab. He also went into a pit and killed a lion on the day it snowed. And he killed a handsome Egyptian. The Egyptian had a spear in his hand. Benaiah went to him with a club, grabbed the spear from him, and killed him with it. These are the things that Benaiah, son of Jehoiada, did. He was as famous as the three fighting men. He was honored more than the thirty, but he was not a member of the three. David put him in charge of his bodyguards. One of the thirty was Joab's brother Asahel. The thirty leading men were Elhenan, son of Dodo, from Bethlehem, Shammah, from Herod, Elika from Herod, Heles the Paltite, Ira son of Ikesh from Tekoa, Abiezer from Anathoth, Mabunai son of Hushai, Zalman descended of Ahohai, Maharai from Netopha, Heleb son of Baana from Netopha, Itai son of Ribai from Gibeah in Benjamin, Benaiah from Pirathon, Hidai from the Gaash ravines, Abi Albon from Beth Araba, 
Asmaveth from Bahurim, Elihba from Shalbon, Benejashin, Jonathan son of Shama the Hararite, Ahiom son of Sharar the Hararite, Eliphalet son of Ahashbai, and grandson of a man from Maaka, Eliam son of Ahithophel from Gilo, Hezrai from Carmel, Paarai from Araba, Ilgal son of Nathan from Zobah, Bani from the tribe of God, Zelek from Ammon, Naharai from Beeroth, armor-bearer for Zeruiah's son Joab, Ira, descendant of Ethra, Garib, descendant of Ethra, Uriah the Hittite, thirty-seven in all. Second Samuel, chapter 24. The Lord became angry with Israel again, so he provoked David to turn against Israel. He said, Go count Israel and Judah. King David said to Joab, the commander of the army who was with him, Go throughout the tribes of Israel from Dan to Beersheba and count the people. That way I will know how many there are. Joab responded to the king, May the Lord your God multiply the people a hundred times over, and may your majesty live to see it. But why does your majesty wish to do this? However, the king overruled Joab and the commanders of the army, so they left the king in order to count the people of Israel. They crossed the Jordan River and camped at Aroer, south of the city in the middle of the valley. Then they went to Gad and to Jazer. They went to Gilead and to Tatim, Hodshi, and then to Dan, John, and around toward Sidon. They went to the fortified city of Tyre and all the cities of the Hivites and the Canaanites. Then they went to Beersheba in the Negev of Judah. When they had covered the whole country, they came to Jerusalem after nine months and twenty days. Joab reported the census figures to the king. In Israel there were eight hundred thousand able-bodied men who could serve in the army, and in Judah there were five hundred thousand. After David counted the people, his conscience troubled him. David said to the Lord, I have committed a terrible sin by what I have done, Lord. Please forgive me, because I have acted very foolishly. When David got up in the morning, the Lord spoke his word to the prophet God, David Seer. Go and tell David, This is what the Lord says. I'm offering you three choices. Choose the one you want me to do to you. When God came to David, he told David this and asked, Should seven years of famine come to you in your land, or three months during which you flee from your enemies as they pursue you, or should there be a three-day plague in your land? Think it over, and decide what answer I should give the one who sent me. I'm in a desperate situation, David told God. Please let us fall into the Lord's hands, because he is very merciful, but don't let me fall into human hands. So the Lord sent a plague among the Israelites from that morning until the time he had chosen. Of the people from Dan to Beersheba, seventy thousand died. But when the messenger stretched out his arm to destroy Jerusalem, the Lord changed his mind about the disaster. Enough, he said to the messenger, who was destroying the people. Put down your weapon. The messenger of the Lord was at the threshing floor of Arowana the Jebusite. When David saw the messenger who had been killing the people, he said to the Lord, I've sinned, I've done wrong. What have these sheep done? Please let your punishment be against me and against my father's family. That day God came to David and said to him, Go set up an altar for the Lord at Arowana, the Jebusite's threshing floor. David went as God had told him, and as the Lord had commanded him. When Arowana looked down and saw the king and his men coming toward him, he went out and bowed down with his face touching the ground in front of the king. Why has your majesty come to me? Arowana asked. David answered, to buy the threshing floor from you, and to build an altar for the Lord. Then the plague on the people will stop. 
Arawana said to David, Take it, your majesty, and offer whatever you think is right. There are oxen for the burnt offering, and there are threshers and oxen yokes for firewood. All this Arawana gave to the king and said, May the Lord your God accept you. No, the king said to Arawana, I must buy it from you at a fair price. I won't offer the Lord my God burnt sacrifices that cost me nothing. So David bought the threshing floor and the oxen for one and one quarter pounds of silver. David built an altar for the Lord there, and sacrificed burnt offerings and fellowship offerings. So the Lord heard the prayers for the country, and the plague on Israel stopped. 1 Kings chapter 1 King David had grown old, and although he was covered with blankets, he couldn't get warm. His officials told him, Your Majesty, let us search for a young woman who has never been married. She can stay with you and be your servant. She can lie in your arms and keep you warm. So they searched throughout Israel for a beautiful young woman. They found Abishag from Shunem and brought her to the king. The woman was very beautiful. She became the king's servant and took care of him. But the king did not make love to her. Adonijah, son of Haggith, was very handsome. His mother gave birth to him after Maacah had Absalom. Adonijah was boasting that he was king. So he got a chariot and horses and fifty men to run ahead of him. His father had never confronted him by asking why he was doing this. But Adonijah had discussed his actions with Joab, son of Zeruiah, and with the priest Abiathar. So they supported him. But the priest Zadok, Benaiah, son of Jehoiada, the prophet Nathan, Shimei, Rei, and David's thirty fighting men did not join Adonijah. Adonijah sacrificed sheep, cattle, and fattened calves at Zohaleth Rock near Enrogel. He had invited all his brothers, the king's other sons, all the men of Judah, and the king's officials. But he didn't invite the prophet Nathan, Benaiah, the fighting men, or his brother Solomon. Then Nathan asked Solomon's mother Bathsheba, Haven't you heard that Adonijah, Haggis' son, has become king, and our master David doesn't even know about it? Bathsheba, let me give you some advice about how to save your life and your son's life. Go to King David and ask him, Your majesty, didn't you swear to me that my son Solomon will be king after you, and that he will sit on your throne? Why is Adonijah acting as king? And while you're still there talking to the king, I'll come in and confirm what you have said. Bathsheba went to the king in his private room. The king was very old, and Abishag from Shunem was taking care of him. Bathsheba knelt and bowed down in front of the king. What do you want? the king asked. Sir, she answered, you took an oath to Lord your God. You said that my son Solomon will be king after you, and that he will sit on your throne. But now, you see, Adonijah has become king, and you don't even know anything about it. Your Majesty, he has sacrificed many fattened calves, bulls, and sheep. He has invited all the king's sons, Abiathar the priest, and Joab the commander of the army, to his feast. But he hasn't invited your servant Solomon. All Israel is looking to you, your Majesty, to tell them who should succeed you on your throne. Otherwise, my son Solomon and I will be treated like criminals when you lie down in death with your ancestors. While she was still talking to the king, the prophet Nathan arrived. The servants told the king, The prophet Nathan is here. When he came to the king, he bowed down in front of him. Nathan said, Your majesty, you must have said that Adonijah will be king after you, and that he will sit on your throne, because today he went and sacrificed many bulls, fattened calves, and sheep. He invited all the king's sons, the army's commanders, and the priest Abiathar to his feast. They are eating and drinking with him and saying, Long live King Adonijah. But he didn't invite me or the priest Zadok or Benaiah, who is Jehoiada's son, or your servant Solomon. 
Did you allow this to happen without telling me who would sit on your throne next? Then King David answered, Call Bathsheba in here. So she stood in front of him, and he swore an oath. He said, I solemnly swear, as the Lord who has saved my life from all trouble lives, I will do today exactly what I swore to you by the Lord God of Israel. Your son Solomon will be king after me. He will sit on my throne. Then Bathsheba bowed down with a face touching the ground in front of the king. May your majesty King David live forever, she said. King David said, Summon the priest Zadok, the prophet Nathan, and Benaiah, son of Jehoiada. So they came to the king, and he said, Take my officials with you, put my son Solomon on my mule, and take him to Gihon. Have the priest Zadok and the prophet Nathan anoint him king of Israel there. Then blow the ram's horn and say, Long live King Solomon. Follow him back here when he comes to sit on my throne. He will be king in place of me. I have appointed him to be the leader of Israel and Judah. So be it, Benaiah son of Jehoiada, answered the king. The Lord your God says so too. As the Lord has been with you, so may he be with Solomon. May Solomon be an even greater king than you, King David. Then the priest Zadok, the prophet Nathan, Benaiah son of Jehoiada, the Kerithites and the Pelethites put Solomon on King David's mule and brought him to Gihon. The priest Zadok took the container of olive oil from the tent and anointed Solomon. They blew the ram's horn, and all the people said, Long live King Solomon! All the people followed him, blew flutes, and celebrated so loudly that their voices shook the ground. Adonijah and all his guests heard this as they finished eating. When Joab heard the sound of the horn, he asked, What's the reason for the noise in the city? He was still speaking when Jonathan, son of the priest Abiathar, arrived. Come in, Adonijah said. You're an honorable man, so you must be bringing good news. Not at all, Jonathan answered Adonijah. His majesty King David has made Solomon the king. The king has sent the priest Zadok, the prophet Nathan, Benaiah, son of Jehoiada, the Kerithites, and the Pelethites with him. They have put him on the king's mule. The priest Zadok and the prophet Nathan have anointed him king at Gihon. They have come from there celebrating. So the city is excited. That is the sound you heard. Solomon is now seated on the royal throne. Furthermore, the royal officials have come to congratulate His Majesty King David, saying, May your God make Solomon's name more famous than yours, and his reign greater than your reign. The king himself bowed down on his bed and said, Praise the Lord God of Israel, who has let me see the heir to my throne. Adonijah's guests were frightened, so they got up and scattered in all directions. Adonijah was afraid of Solomon. He got up, went to the tent of meeting, and took hold of the horns of the altar. Someone told Solomon, Adonijah is afraid of you, King Solomon. He is holding on to the horns of the altar and saying, Make King Solomon swear to me today that he will not have me killed. Solomon said, If he will behave like an honorable man, not one hair on his head will fall to the ground. But if he does anything wrong, he will die. King Solomon sent men to take him from the altar. Adonijah bowed down in front of King Solomon. Go home, Solomon told him. First Kings chapter 2 When David was about to die, he instructed his son Solomon, I'm about to leave this world. Be strong and mature. Fulfill your duty to the Lord your God. Obey his directions, laws, commands, rules, and written instructions as they are recorded in Moses' teachings. Then you'll succeed in everything you do wherever you may go. You'll succeed because the Lord will keep the promise He made to me. 
If your descendants are faithful to me with all their hearts and lives, you will never fail to have an heir on the throne of Israel. You know what Joab, Zeruiah's son, did to me and to the two commanders of Israel's army, Abner, son of Ner, and Amasa, son of Jether. Joab killed them. When there was peace, he shed blood as if it were wartime. With their blood he stained the belt around his waist and the shoes on his feet. Use your wisdom. Don't let that gray-haired old man go to his grave peacefully. Be kind to the sons of Barzillai from Gilead. Let them eat at your table. They helped me when I was fleeing from your brother Absalom. Shimei, son of Gera from Bahurim and Benjamin, is still with you. He cursed me repeatedly when I went to Mahanaim. But when he came to meet me at the Jordan River, I took an oath by the Lord and said, As long as I'm king, I won't have you killed. Now don't let him go unpunished. You are wise and know what to do to him. Put that gray-haired old man into his grave by slaughtering him. David lay down in death with his ancestors and was buried in the city of David. He ruled as king of Israel for forty years. He ruled for seven years in Hebron and for thirty-three years in Jerusalem. Solomon sat on his father David's throne, and his power was firmly established. Then Adonijah, son of Haggith, went to Bathsheba, Solomon's mother. Is this a friendly visit? she asked. Yes, he answered. Then he added, I have a matter to discuss with you. What is it? she asked. He said, You know the kingship was mine. All Israel expected me to be their king. But the kingship has been turned over to my brother because the Lord gave it to him. Now I want to ask you for one thing. Don't refuse me. What is it? she asked. He said, Please ask King Solomon to give me Abishag from Shunem as my wife. He will not refuse you. Very well, Bathsheba answered. I will talk to the king for you. Bathsheba went to King Solomon to talk to him on Adonijah's behalf. The king got up to meet her and bowed down in front of her. Then he sat on his throne. He had a throne brought for his mother, and she sat at his right side. I'm asking you for one little thing, she said. Don't refuse me. Ask mother, the king told her. I won't refuse you. She replied, Let Abishag from Shunem be given to your brother Adonijah as his wife. King Solomon then said, Why do you ask that Abishag from Shunem be given to Adonijah? That would be the same as giving him the kingship. After all, he is my older brother. The priest Abiathar and Joab, Zeruiah's son, are supporting him. King Solomon took an oath by the Lord and said, May God strike me dead if Adonijah doesn't pay with his life for this request. The Lord set me on my father David's throne and gave me a dynasty, as he promised. So I solemnly swear, as the Lord who has established me lives, that Adonijah will be put to death today. King Solomon gave this task to Benaiah, son of Jehoiada. Benaiah attacked and killed Adonijah. The king told the priest Abiathar, Go to your land in Anathoth. You deserve to die, but I won't kill you at this time, because you carried the ark of the Almighty Lord ahead of my father David, and because you shared all my father's sufferings. So Solomon removed Abiathar as the Lord's priest, and fulfilled the Lord's words spoken at Shiloh about Eli's family. The news reached Joab. He had supported Adonijah, although he hadn't supported Absalom. So Joab fled to the Lord's tent and clung to the horns of the altar. After King Solomon heard that Joab had fled to the altar in the tent of the Lord, Solomon sent Benaiah, son of Jehoiada, to kill Joab. When Benaiah came to the tent of the Lord, he told Joab, The king says, Come out. No, Joab answered, I'll die here. So Benaiah reported to the king what Joab had said and how he had answered. The king answered, Do as he said, kill him and bury him. You can remove the innocent blood 
the blood which Joab shed from me and my father's family. The Lord will repay him for the slaughter he caused. Joab killed two honorable men who were better than he was. He used his sword to kill Abner, who was the son of Ner and the commander of Israel's army, and Amasa, who was the son of Jether and the commander of Judah's army. Joab did this without my father's knowledge. The responsibility for their blood will fall on Joab and his descendants forever. But may David, his descendants, family, and throne always receive peace from the Lord. Then Benaiah, son of Jehoiada, went and attacked Joab, killed him, and buried him at his home in the desert. The king then appointed Benaiah, son of Jehoiada, to replace Joab as commander of the army. King Solomon also replaced Abiathar with the priest Zadok. The king summoned Shimei and said to him, Build a house for yourself in Jerusalem and stay there. Don't leave the city to go anywhere else. But the day you leave and cross the brook in the Kidron Valley, you can be certain that you will die. You will be responsible for your own death. Very well, Shimei answered. I'll do just what your majesty said. So Shimei stayed in Jerusalem for a long time. But after three years, two of Shimei's slaves fled to Gas king Akish, son of Maacah. Shimei was told that his slaves were in Gath. So he saddled his donkey and went to Akish in Gath to search for his slaves. Shimei went to Gath and got his slaves. After Solomon heard that Shimei had gone from Jerusalem to Gath and back, he summoned Shimei. Solomon asked him, Didn't I make you take an oath by the Lord? Didn't I warn you that if you left the city to go anywhere, you could be certain that you would die? Didn't you say to me, Very well, I'll do just what you said? Why didn't you keep your oath to the Lord and obey the command I gave you? Shimei, you know in your heart all the evil that you did to my father David. The Lord is going to pay you back for the evil you have done. But King Solomon is blessed, and David's dynasty will always be firmly established by the Lord. Then the king gave orders to Benaiah, son of Jehoiada. He went to attack and kill Shimei. Solomon's power as king was now firmly established. First Kings chapter 3 Solomon became the son-in-law of Pharaoh, the king of Egypt. After marrying Pharaoh's daughter, Solomon brought her to the city of David until he finished building his own house, the Lord's house, and the wall around Jerusalem. The people were still sacrificing at other worship sites because a temple for the name of the Lord had not yet been built. Solomon loved the Lord and lived by his father David's rules. However, he still sacrificed and burned incense at these other worship sites. King Solomon went to Gibeon to sacrifice because it was the most important place of worship. Solomon sacrificed one thousand burnt offerings on that altar. In Gibeon the Lord appeared to Solomon in a dream at night. He said, What can I give you? Solomon responded, You've shown great love to my father David, who was your servant. He lived in your presence with truth, righteousness, and commitment. And you continued to show him your great love by giving him a son to sit on his throne today. Lord my God, although I'm young and inexperienced, you've made me king in place of my father David. I'm among your people whom you have chosen. They are too numerous to count or record. Give me a heart that listens so that I can judge your people and tell the difference between good and evil. After all, who can judge this great people of yours? The Lord was pleased that Solomon asked for this. God replied, You've asked for this and not for a long life or riches for yourself or the death of your enemies. Instead, you've asked for understanding so that you can do what is right. So I'm going to do what you've asked. I'm giving you a wise and understanding heart so that there will never be anyone like you. 
I'm also giving you what you haven't asked for, riches and honor, so that no other king will be like you as long as you live. And if you follow me and obey my laws and commands as your father David did, then I will also give you a long life. Solomon woke up and realized it had been a dream. He went to Jerusalem and stood in front of the ark of the Lord's promise. He sacrificed burnt offerings and fellowship offerings and held a banquet for all his officials. A short time later, two prostitutes came to the king and stood in front of him. One woman said to him, Sir, this woman and I live in the same house. I gave birth to a son while she was with me in the house. Two days later, this woman also gave birth to a son. We were alone. No one else was with us. Just the two of us were in the house. That night this woman's son died because she rolled over on top of him. So she got up during the night and took my son, who was beside me while I was asleep. She held him in her arms. Then she laid her dead son in my arms. When I got up in the morning to nurse my son, he was dead. I took a good look at him and realized that he wasn't my son at all. The other woman said, No, my son is alive. Your son is dead. The first woman kept on saying, No, your son is dead. My son is alive. So they argued in front of the king. The king said, this one keeps saying, My son is alive, your son is dead. And that one keeps saying, No, your son is dead, my son is alive. So the king told his servants to bring him a sword. When they brought it, he said, Cut the living child in two. Give half to the one and half to the other. Then the woman whose son was still alive was deeply moved by her love for the child. She said to the king, Please, sir, give her the living child. Please don't kill him. But the other woman said, He won't be mine or yours. Cut him in two. The king replied, Give the living child to the first woman. Don't kill him. She is his mother. All Israel heard about the decision the king made. They respected the king very highly, because they saw he possessed wisdom from God to do what was right. First Kings chapter 4 When King Solomon was the king of all Israel, these were his officials. Azariah, son of Zadok, was the chief priest. Elihoreph and Ahijah, the sons of Shisha, were scribes. Jehoshaphat, son of Ahilud, was the royal historian. Benaiah, son of Jehoiada, was commander of the army. Zadok and Abiathar were priests. Azariah, son of Nathan, was in charge of the district governors. Zabud, son of Nathan, was the king's advisor. Ahishar was in charge of the palace. Adoniram, son of Abda, was in charge of forced labor. Solomon appointed twelve district governors in Israel. They were to provide food for the king and his palace. Each one had to supply food for one month every year. Their names were Ben-Hur, who was in charge of the hills of Ephraim, Ben-Deker, who was in charge of Makaz, Sha'albim, Beth-Shemesh, and Elon-Beth-Hanan, and Ben-Hezed, who was in charge of Aruboth, Soko, and the entire region of Hefer. Ben-Abinadab had the entire region of Dor. Solomon's daughter Tafath was his wife. Baana, son of Ahilud, had Tanakh, Megiddo, and all of Beshean. This was near Zarathon, below Jezreel, from Beshean to Abel-Mehola, and over to Jokmiam. Ben-Geber was in charge of Ramoth-Gilead. He had the settlements of Jair, a descendant of Manasseh, in Gilead. He also had the territory of Argob in Bashan, sixty large cities with walls and bronze bars across their gates. Ahinadab, son of Edo, was in charge of Mahanaim. Ahimaaz was in charge of Naphtali. He also married Solomon's daughter, Basamath. Baana, son of Hushai, was in charge of Asher and Aluth. Jehoshaphat, son of Paruah, was in charge of Issachar. Shimei, son of Elah, was in charge of Benjamin. 
Geber, son of Uri, was in charge of Gilead, the territory of King Sihon, the Amorite, and King Og of Bashan. There was only one governor in that territory. The people of Judah and Israel were as numerous as the sand on the seashore. They ate and drank and lived happily. Solomon ruled all the kingdoms from the Euphrates River to the country of the Philistines and as far as the Egyptian border. These kingdoms paid taxes and were subject to Solomon as long as he lived. Solomon's food supply for one day was 180 bushels of flour, 360 bushels of coarse flour, 10 fattened cows, 20 cows from the pasture, and 100 sheep in addition to deer, gazelles, fallow deer, and fattened birds. He controlled all the territory west of the Euphrates River from Tipsah to Gaza and all of its kings. So he lived in peace with all the neighboring countries. As long as Solomon lived, Judah and Israel from Dan to Beersheba lived securely, everyone under his own vine and fig tree. Solomon had stalls for 40,000 chariot horses. He also had 12,000 chariot soldiers. Each of the governors provided food for one month every year for King Solomon and all who ate at his table. The governors saw to it that nothing was in short supply. They brought their quota of barley and straw for the chariot horses to the proper places. God gave Solomon wisdom, keen insight, and a mind as limitless as the sand on the seashore. Solomon's wisdom was greater than that of all the eastern people and all the wisdom of the Egyptians. He was wiser than anyone, than Ethan the Ezraite, or Hermon, Calcol, or Darda, Mahol's sons. His fame spread to all the nations around him. Solomon spoke 3,000 proverbs and wrote 1,005 songs. He described and classified trees, from the cedar in Lebanon to the hyssop growing out of the wall. He described and classified animals, birds, reptiles, and fish. People came from every nation to hear his wisdom. They came from all the kings of the earth who had heard about his wisdom. First Kings chapter 5 King Hiram of Tyre sent his officials to Solomon when he heard that Solomon had been anointed king to succeed his father. Hiram had always been David's friend. Solomon sent word to Hiram by saying, You know that my father David was surrounded by war. He couldn't build a temple for the name of the Lord our God until the Lord let him defeat his enemies. But the Lord my God has surrounded me with peace. I have no rival and no trouble. Now I'm thinking of building a temple for the name of the Lord my God, as the Lord spoke to my father David. Your son, whom I will put on your throne to succeed you, will build a temple for my name. So order men to cut down cedars from Lebanon for me. My workers will work with your workers. I will pay you whatever wages you ask for your workers. You know we don't have any skilled lumberjacks like those from Sidon. Hiram was very glad to hear what Solomon had said. Hiram responded, May the Lord be praised today. He has given David a wise son to rule this great nation. Hiram sent men to Solomon to say, I've received the message you sent me. I will do everything you want in regard to the cedar and cypress logs. My workers will bring logs from Lebanon to the sea, and I will have them make them into rafts to go by sea to any place you specify. There I will have them taken apart, and you can use them. You can pay me by providing food for my palace. So Hiram gave Solomon all the cedar and cypress wood he wanted. Solomon gave Hiram 120,000 bushels of wheat and 120,000 gallons of pure olive oil. Solomon paid Hiram this much every year. The Lord gave Solomon wisdom, as he had promised. There was peace between Hiram and Solomon, and they made a treaty with one another. King Solomon forced 30,000 men from all over Israel to work for him. He sent a shift of 10,000 men to Lebanon for a month. They would spend one month in Lebanon and two months at home. Adoniram was in charge of forced labor. 
Solomon had 70,000 men who carried heavy loads, 70,000 who quarried stone in the mountains, and 3,300 foremen who were in charge of the workers. The king commanded them to quarry large, expensive blocks of stone in order to provide a foundation of cut stone for the temple. Solomon's workmen, Hiram's workmen, and men from Gebal quarried the stone and prepared the logs and stone to build the temple. 1 Kings chapter 6 Solomon began to build the Lord's temple 480 years after Israel left Egypt. He began building in the month of Ziv, the second month of the fourth year of his reign over Israel. The temple that King Solomon built for the Lord was 90 feet long, 30 feet wide, and 45 feet high. The entrance hall in front of the main room of the temple was the same length as the shorter side of the temple. It extended 15 feet in front of the temple. He also made latticed windows for the temple. He built an annex containing side rooms all around the temple. This annex was next to the walls of the main building and the inner sanctuary. The interior of the lowest story of the annex was seven and a half feet wide, the second story was nine feet wide, and the third story was ten and a half feet wide. Solomon made ledges all around the temple so that this annex would not be fastened to the walls of the temple. The temple was built with stone blocks that were finished at the quarry. No hammer, chisel, or any other iron tool made a sound at the temple construction site. The entrance to the first story was on the south side of the temple. A staircase went up to the middle story and then to the third story. When he had finished building the walls, he roofed the temple with rows of cedar beams and planks. He built each story of the annex seven and a half feet high alongside the entire temple. Its cedar beams were attached to the temple. The Lord spoke to Solomon, saying, This concerns the temple you are building. If you live by my laws, follow my rules, and keep my commands, I will fulfill the promise I made about you to your father David. I will live among the Israelites and never abandon my people. When Solomon had finished building the temple's frame, he began to line the inside walls of the temple with cedar boards. He paneled the inside of the temple with wood from floor to ceiling. He covered the floor of the temple with cypress planks. He sectioned off a thirty-foot-long room at the rear of the temple with cedar boards from the floor to the rafters. He built it to serve as an inner room, the most holy place. The sixty-foot-long room at the front of the temple served as the main hall. Gourds and flowers were carved into the cedar paneling inside the temple. Everything was covered with cedar. No stone could be seen. He prepared the inner room of the temple in order to put the Ark of the Lord's Promise there. The inner room was thirty feet long, thirty feet wide, and thirty feet high. Solomon covered it and the cedar altar with pure gold. He covered the inside of the temple with pure gold. He put golden chains across the front of the inner room, which was covered with gold. He covered the entire inside of the temple with gold. He also covered the entire altar in the inner room with gold. In the inner room he made two fifteen-foot-tall angels out of olive wood. Each wing of the angels was seven and a half feet long. The distance from the tip of one wing to the tip of the other was fifteen feet. Both angels had a fifteen-foot wingspan. Both had the same measurements and the same shape. Each was fifteen feet high. Solomon put the angels in the inner room of the temple. The wings of the angels extended so that the wing of one of the angels touched the one wall, and the wing of the other touched the other wall. Their remaining wings touched each other in the center of the room. He covered the angels with gold. He carved angels, palm trees, and flowers into the walls all around the inner and outer rooms of the temple. He covered the floor of the inner and outer rooms of the temple with gold. He made doors for the entrance to the inner room out of olive wood. The doorposts had five sides. The two doors were made out of olive wood. He carved angels, palm trees, and flowers into them, and covered them with gold. 
the gold was hammered onto the angels and the palm trees. In the same way he made square doorposts out of olive wood for the temple's entrance. He made two doors from cypress. Each of the doors had two folding panels. On them he carved angels, palm trees, and flowers. He evenly covered them with gold. He built the inner courtyard with three courses of finished stones and a course of finished cedar beams. In the month of Ziv of the fourth year of Solomon's reign, the foundation of the Lord's temple was laid. In the month of Bul, the eighth month of the eleventh year of his reign, the temple was finished according to all its plans and specifications. He spent seven years building it. First Kings chapter 7. Solomon took thirteen years to finish building his palace. He built a hall named the Forest of Lebanon. It was 150 feet long, 75 feet wide, and 45 feet high. It had four rows of cedar pillars supporting cedar beams. The hall was covered with cedar above the side rooms, which were supported by 45 pillars, 15 per row. The windows were in three rows, facing each other on opposite sides of the palace. All the doors and door frames were square. There were three doors facing each other on opposite sides of the palace. Solomon made the hall of pillars 75 feet long and 45 feet wide. In front of the hall was an entrance hall with pillars. He made the hall of justice, where he sat on his throne and served as judge. The hall was covered with cedar from floor to ceiling. His own private quarters were in a different location than the hall of justice, but they were similar in design. Solomon also built private quarters like this for his wife, Pharaoh's daughter. From the foundation to the roof, all these buildings, including the large courtyard, were built with high-grade stone blocks. The stone blocks were cut to size and trimmed with saws on their inner and outer faces. The foundation was made with large, high-grade stones, some 12 feet long, others 15 feet long. Above the foundation were cedar beams and high-grade stone blocks, which had been cut to size. The large courtyard had three layers of cut stone blocks and a layer of cedar beams, like the inner courtyard of the Lord's temple and the entrance hall. King Solomon had Hiram brought from Tyre. Hiram was the son of a widow from the tribe of Naphtali. His father, a native of Tyre, was a skilled bronze craftsman. Hiram was highly skilled, resourceful, and knowledgeable about all kinds of bronze craftsmanship. He came to King Solomon and did all his bronze work. He made two bronze pillars. Each was twenty-seven feet high and eighteen feet in circumference. He made two capitals of cast bronze to put on top of the pillars. Each capital was seven and a half feet high. He also made seven rows of filigree and chains for each capital. After he made the pillars, he made two rows of decorations around the filigree to cover the capitals which were above the pillars. He made the capitals identical to each other. The capitals on top of the pillars in the entrance hall were lily-shaped. Each was six feet high. Two hundred pomegranates in rows were directly above the bowl-shaped parts around the filigree on the capitals on both pillars. Hiram set up the pillars in the temple's entrance hall. He set up the pillar on the right and named it Jachin. He establishes. Then he set up the pillar on the left and named it Boaz. In him is strength. There were lily-shaped capitals at the top of the pillars. He finished the work on the pillars. Hiram made a pool from cast metal. It was fifteen feet in diameter. It was round, seven and a half feet high, and had a circumference of forty-five feet. Under the rim were two rows of gourds all around the forty-five-foot circumference of the pool. They were cast in metal when the pool was cast. The pool was set on twelve metal bulls. Three bulls faced north, three faced west, three faced south, and three faced east. The pool was set on them, and their hindquarters were toward the center of the pool. The pool was three inches thick. 
Its rim was like the rim of a cup, shaped like a lily's bud. It held 12,000 gallons. He made ten bronze stands. Each stand was six feet square and four and a half feet high. The stands were made this way. They had side panels set in frames. On the panels set in frames were lions, oxen, and angels. These were also on the frames. Above and below the lions and the cattle were engraved designs. Each stand had four bronze wheels on bronze axles and four supports beneath the basin. The supports were made of cast metal with designs on the sides. Each had a one-and-a-half-foot-deep opening in the center to the circular frame on top. The opening was round, formed like a pedestal, and was two feet wide. Around the opening there were engravings, but the panels were square, not round. The four wheels were under the panels, and the axles were attached to the stand. Each wheel was two feet high. The wheels were made like chariot wheels. The axles, rims, spokes, and hubs were all cast metal. The four supports at the four corners of each stand were part of the stand. The top of each stand had a round, nine-inch high band. Above the stand were supports, which were part of the panels. Hiram engraved angels, lions, palm trees, and designs in every available space on the supports and panels. This is the way he made the ten stands. All of them were cast in the same mold, identical in size and shape. Hiram also made ten bronze basins. Each basin held 240 gallons. Every basin was six feet wide. There was one basin on each of the ten stands. He put five stands on the south side of the temple and five on the north side of the temple. He set the pool on the south side of the temple in the southeast corner. Hiram also made pots, shovels, and bowls. So Hiram finished all the work for King Solomon on the Lord's temple. Two pillars, the bowl-shaped capitals on top of the two pillars, and two sets of filigree to cover the two bowl-shaped capitals on top of the pillars. Four hundred pomegranates for the two sets of filigree, two rows of pomegranates for each filigree to cover the two bowl-shaped capitals on the pillars. Ten stands and ten basins on the stands. One pool, twelve bowls under the pool, pots, shovels, and bowls. Ira made all these utensils out of polished bronze for the Lord's temple at King Solomon's request. The king cast them in foundries in the Jordan Valley between Succoth and Zarethan. Solomon left all the products unweighed because so much bronze was used. No one tried to determine how much the bronze weighed. Solomon made all the furnishings for the Lord's temple, the gold altar, the gold table on which the bread of the presence was placed, lampstands of pure gold, five on the south side and five on the north in front of the inner room, Flowers, lamps, gold tongs, dishes, snuffers, bowls, saucers, incense burners of pure gold, the gold sockets for the doors of the inner room, the most holy place, and the doors of the temple. All the work King Solomon did on the Lord's temple was finished. He brought the holy things that had belonged to his father David, the silver, gold, and utensils, and put them in the storerooms of the Lord's temple. First Kings chapter 8. Then Solomon assembled the respected leaders of Israel, all the heads of the tribes and the leaders of the Israelite families. They came to King Solomon in Jerusalem to take the ark of the Lord's promise from the city of David, that is Zion. All the people of Israel gathered around King Solomon at the festival of booths. In the month of Ethanim, the seventh month, when all the leaders of Israel had arrived, the priests picked up the Lord's ark. They brought the ark, the tent of meeting, and all the holy utensils in it to the temple. The priests and the Levites carried them while King Solomon with the whole assembly from Israel were offering countless sheep and cattle sacrifices in front of the ark. The priests brought the ark of the Lord's promise to its place in the inner room of the temple, the most holy place, under the wings of the angels. 
When the angel's outstretched wings were over the place where the ark rested, the angels became a covering above the ark and its poles. The poles were so long that their ends could be seen in the holy place by anyone standing in front of the inner room, but they couldn't be seen outside. They are still there today. There was nothing in the ark except the two stone tablets Moses put there at Horeb, where the Lord made a promise to the Israelites after they left Egypt. When the priests left the holy place, a cloud filled the Lord's temple. The priest couldn't serve because of the cloud. The Lord's glory filled his temple. Then Solomon said, The Lord said he would live in a dark cloud. I certainly have built you a high temple, a home for you to live in permanently. Then the king turned around and blessed the whole assembly of Israel while they were standing. Thanks be to the Lord God of Israel. With his mouth he made a promise to my father David. With his hand he carried it out. He said, Ever since I brought my people Israel out of Egypt, I didn't choose any city in any of the tribes of Israel as a place to build a temple for my name. But now I've chosen David to rule my people Israel. My father David had his heart set on building a temple for the name of the Lord God of Israel. However, the Lord said to my father David, Since you had your heart set on building a temple for my name, your intentions were good. But you must not build the temple. Instead, your own son will build the temple for my name. The Lord has kept the promise he made. I have taken my father David's place, and I sit on the throne of Israel as the Lord promised. I've built the temple for the name of the Lord God of Israel. I've made a place there for the ark which contains the Lord's promise that he made to our ancestors when he brought them out of Egypt. In the presence of the entire assembly of Israel, Solomon stood in front of the Lord's altar. He stretched out his hands toward heaven and said, Lord God of Israel, there is no God like you in heaven above or on earth below. You keep your promise of mercy to your servants, who obey you wholeheartedly. You have kept your promise to my father David, your servant. With your mouth you promised it. With your hand you carried it out, as it is today. Now, Lord God of Israel, keep your promise to my father David, your servant. You said you will never fail to have an heir sitting in front of me on the throne of Israel if your descendants are faithful to me as you have been faithful to me. So now, God of Israel, may the promise you made to my father David, your servant, come true. Does God really live on earth? If heaven itself, the highest heaven, cannot hold you, then how can this temple that I have built? Nevertheless, my Lord God, please pay attention to my prayer for mercy. Listen to my cry for help as I pray to you today. Night and day may your eyes be on this temple, the place about which you said my name will be there. Listen to me as I pray toward this place. Hear the plea for mercy that your people Israel and I pray toward this place. Hear us when we pray to heaven, the place where you live. Hear and forgive. If anyone sins against another person and is required to take an oath and comes to take the oath in front of your altar in this temple, then hear that person in heaven, take action, and make a decision. Condemn the guilty person with a proper punishment, but declare the innocent person innocent. An enemy may defeat your people Israel because they have sinned against you, but when your people turn to you, praise your name, pray, and plead with you in this temple, then hear them in heaven, forgive the sins of your people Israel, and bring them back to the land that you gave to their ancestors. When the sky is shut and there's no rain because they are sinning against you, and they pray toward this place, praise your name, and turn away from their sin because you made them suffer, then hear them in heaven. Forgive the sins of your servants, your people Israel. Teach them the proper way to live. 
Then send rain on the land, which you gave to your people as an inheritance. There may be famine in the land. Plant diseases, heat waves, funguses, locusts, or grasshoppers may destroy crops. Enemies may blockade Israel's city gates. During every plague or sickness, hear every prayer for mercy made by one person or by all the people in Israel whose consciences bother them, who stretch out their hands toward this temple. Hear them in heaven where you live. Forgive them and take action. Give each person the proper reply. You know what is in their hearts because you alone know what is in the hearts of all people. Then as long as they live in the land that you gave to our ancestors, they will fear you. People will hear about your great name, mighty hand, and powerful arm. So when people who are not Israelites come from distant countries because of your name to pray facing this temple, hear them in heaven, the place where you live. Do everything they ask you so that all the people of the world may know your name and fear you like your people Israel and learn also that this temple which I built bears your name. When your people go to war against their enemies, wherever you may send them, and they pray to you, O Lord, toward the city you have chosen and the temple I built for your name, then hear their prayer for mercy in heaven and do what is right for them. They may sin against you. No one is sinless. You may become angry with them and hand them over to an enemy who takes them to another country as captives, whether it is far or near. If they come to their senses, are sorry for what they've done, and plead with you in the land where they are captives, saying, We have sinned, we have done wrong, we have been wicked. If they change their attitude toward you in the land of their enemies where they are captives, if they pray to you toward the land that you gave their ancestors, and the city you have chosen, and the temple I have built for your name, then in heaven, the place where you live, hear their prayer for mercy. Do what is right for them. Forgive your people who have sinned against you. Forgive all their wrongs when they rebelled against you, and cause those who captured them to have mercy on them, because they are your own people whom you brought out of Egypt from the middle of an iron smelter. May your eyes always see my plea and your people Israel's plea, so that you will listen to them whenever they call on you. After all, you, Lord God, set them apart from all the people of the world to be your own, as you promised through your servant Moses when you brought our ancestors out of Egypt. When Solomon finished praying this prayer for mercy to the Lord, he stood in front of the Lord's altar, where he had been kneeling when his hands stretched out toward heaven. Then he stood and in a loud voice blessed the entire assembly of Israel. Thanks be to the Lord. He has given his people Israel rest, as he had promised. None of the good promises he made through his servant Moses has failed to come true. May the Lord our God be with us, as he was with our ancestors. May he never leave us or abandon us. May he bend our hearts toward him. Then we will follow him and keep his commands, laws, and rules, which he commanded our ancestors to keep. May these words which I have prayed to the Lord be near the Lord our God day and night. Then he will give me and his people Israel justice every day as it is needed. In this way all the people of the world will know that the Lord is God and there is no other God. May your hearts be committed to the Lord our God. Then you will live by his laws and keep his commands as you have today. Then the king and all Israel offered sacrifices to the Lord. Solomon sacrificed 22,000 cattle and 120,000 sheep as fellowship offerings to the Lord. So the king and all the people of Israel dedicated the Lord's temple. On that day the king designated the courtyard in front of the Lord's temple as a holy place. 
he sacrificed the burnt offerings, grain offerings, and the fat from the fellowship offerings, because the bronze altar in front of the Lord was too small to hold all of them. At that time Solomon and all Israel celebrated the festival of booths. A large crowd had come from the territory between the border of Hamath and the river of Egypt to be near the Lord our God for seven days. On the eighth day he dismissed the people. They blessed the king and went to their tents. They rejoiced with cheerful hearts for all the blessings the Lord had given his servant David and his people Israel. 1 Kings chapter 9 Solomon finished building the Lord's temple, the royal palace, and everything else he wanted to build. Then the Lord appeared to him a second time, as he had appeared to him in Gibeon. The Lord said to him, I have heard your prayer for mercy that you made to me. I have declared that this temple which you have built is holy, so that my name may be placed there forever. My eyes and my heart will always be there. If you will be faithful to me as your father David was, with a sincere and upright heart, do everything I command, and keep my laws and rules, then I will establish your royal dynasty over Israel forever, as I promised your father David, when I said, You will never fail to have an heir on the throne of Israel. But if you and your descendants dare to turn away from me, and do not keep my commands and laws that I gave to you, and follow and serve other gods and worship them, then I will cut Israel out of the land I gave them. I will reject this temple that I declared holy for my name, Israel will be an example and an object of ridicule for all the people of the world. Everyone passing by this temple, as impressive as it is, will be appalled. They will gasp and ask, Why did the Lord do these things to this land and this temple? They will answer themselves. They abandoned the Lord their God, who brought their ancestors out of Egypt. They adopted other gods, worshipped and served them. That is why the Lord brought this disaster on them. It took Solomon twenty years to build the two houses, the Lord's house and the royal palace. When King Solomon had finished, he gave King Hiram of Tyre twenty cities in Galilee. Hiram had supplied Solomon with as much cedar and cypress lumber and gold as he wanted. Hiram left Tyre to see the cities Solomon gave him. However, they didn't please him. What kind of cities have you given me, brother? he asked. So he named it the region of Kabul, good for nothing. They're still called that today. Hiram had sent the king nine thousand pounds of gold. This is the record of the forced laborers whom King Solomon drafted to build the Lord's house, his own house, the Milo, the walls of Jerusalem, and the cities of Hazor, Megiddo, and Gezer. The king of Egypt captured Gezer, burned it down, and killed the Canaanites living there. Then he gave it to his daughter, Solomon's wife, as a wedding present. So Solomon rebuilt Gezer, Lower Betharon, Baalath, Tadmor, and the desert inside the country, and all the storage cities that he owned. He also built cities for his chariots, cities for his war horses, and whatever else he wanted to build in Jerusalem, Lebanon, or the entire territory that he governed. The Amorites, Hittites, Perizzites, Hivites, and Jebusites had been left in the land because the Israelites had not been able to claim them for God by destroying them. They were not Israelites, but they had descendants who were still in the land. Solomon drafted them for slave labor. They are still slaves today. But Solomon didn't make any of the Israelites slaves. Instead, they were soldiers, officials, officers, generals, and commanders of his chariot and cavalry units. These were the officers in charge of Solomon's projects, 550 foremen for the people who did the work. Pharaoh's daughter moved from the city of David to the palace that Solomon had built for her. Then he built the Milo. Three times a year Solomon sacrificed burnt offerings and fellowship offerings on the altar he built for the Lord. He burnt them on the altar that was in the Lord's presence, and he finished the temple. King Solomon also built a fleet near the Red Sea coast at Ezion-Geber by Eloth and Edom.
Hiram sent his own servants who were experienced seamen with the fleet. Along with Solomon's servants, they went to Ophir, got 31,500 pounds of gold, and brought it to King Solomon. 1 Kings chapter 10 the queen of Sheba heard about Solomon's reputation. He owed his reputation to the name of the Lord, so she came to test him with riddles. She arrived in Jerusalem with a large group of servants, with camels carrying spices, a very large quantity of gold and precious stones. When she came to Solomon, she talked to him about everything she had on her mind. Solomon answered all her questions. No question was too difficult for the king to answer. When the queen of Sheba saw all of Solomon's wisdom, the palace he built, the food on his table, his officers' seating arrangement, the organization of his officials, and the uniforms they wore, his cupbearers, and the burnt offerings that he sacrificed at the Lord's temple, she was breathless. She told the king, What I heard in my country about your words and your wisdom is true, but I didn't believe the reports until I came and saw it with my own eyes. I wasn't even told half of it. Your wisdom and wealth surpass the stories I've heard. How blessed your men must be. How blessed these servants of yours must be because they are always stationed in front of you, listening to your wisdom. Thank the Lord your God who is pleased with you. He has put you on the throne of Israel. Because of your God's eternal love for the people of Israel, he has made you king so that you would maintain justice and righteousness. She gave the king 9,000 pounds of gold, a very large quantity of spices and precious stones. Never again was such a large quantity of spices brought into Israel as those that the queen of Sheba gave King Solomon. Hiram's fleet that brought gold from Ophir also brought a large quantity of sandalwood and precious stones from Ophir. With the sandalwood the king made supports for the Lord's temple and the royal palace, and lyres and harps for the singers. Never again was sandalwood like this imported into Israel, nor has any been seen there to this day. King Solomon gave the queen of Sheba anything she wanted, whatever she asked for, besides what he had given her out of his royal generosity. Then she and her servants went back to her country. The gold that came to Solomon in one year weighed 49,950 pounds, not counting the gold which came from the merchants, the traders' profits, all the Arab kings, and the governors of the country. King Solomon made 200 large shields of hammered gold, using 15 pounds of gold on each shield. He also made 300 small shields of hammered gold, using 4 pounds of gold on each shield. The king put them in the hall, which he called the Forest of Lebanon. The king also made a large ivory throne and covered it with fine gold. Six steps led to the throne. Carved into the back of the throne was a calf's head. There were armrests on both sides of the seat. Two lions stood beside the armrests. Twelve lions stood on six steps, one on each side. Nothing like this had been made for any other kingdom. All King Solomon's cups were gold, and all the utensils for the hall which he called the Forest of Lebanon were fine gold. Nothing was silver, because it wasn't considered valuable in Solomon's time. The king had a fleet headed for Tarshish with Hiram's fleet. Once every three years the Tarshish fleet would bring gold, silver, ivory, apes, and monkeys. In wealth and wisdom, King Solomon was greater than all the other kings of the world. The whole world wanted to listen to the wisdom that God gave Solomon. So everyone who came brought him gifts, articles of silver and gold, clothing, weapons, spices, horses, and mules. This happened year after year. Solomon built up his army with chariots and war horses. He had 1,400 chariots and 12,000 war horses. He stationed some in chariot cities and others with himself in Jerusalem. The king made silver as common in Jerusalem as stones, and he made cedars as plentiful as fig trees in the foothills. 
Solomon's horses were imported from Egypt and Kuwe. The king's traders bought them from Kuwe for a fixed price. Each chariot was imported from Egypt for fifteen pounds of silver, and each horse for six ounces of silver. For the same price they obtained horses to export to all the Hittite and Aramean kings. First Kings chapter 11 King Solomon loved many foreign women in addition to Pharaoh's daughter. He loved Hittite women and women from Moab, Ammon, Edom, and Sidon. They came from the nations about which the Lord had said to the people of Israel, Never intermarry with them. They will surely tempt you to follow their gods. But Solomon was obsessed with their love. He had seven hundred wives who were princesses, and three hundred wives who were concubines. In his old age his wives tempted him to follow other gods. He was no longer committed to the Lord his God, as his father David had been. Solomon followed Astarte, the goddess of the Sidonians, and Milcom, the disgusting idol of the Ammonites. So Solomon did what the Lord considered evil. He did not wholeheartedly follow the Lord, as his father David had done. Then Solomon built an illegal worship site on the hill east of Jerusalem for Chemosh, the disgusting idol of Moab, and for Molech, the disgusting idol of the Ammonites. He did these things for each of his foreign wives who burned incense and sacrificed to their gods. So the Lord became angry with Solomon because his heart had turned from the Lord God of Israel, who had appeared to him twice. God had given him commands about this. He told him not to follow other gods. But Solomon did not obey God's command. The Lord told Solomon, Because this is your attitude, and you have no respect for my promises or my laws that I commanded you to keep. I will certainly tear the kingdom away from you. I will give it to one of your servants, but I will not do it in your lifetime because of your father David. I will tear it away from the hands of your son. However, I will not tear the whole kingdom away from you. I will give your son one tribe for my servant, David's sake, and for the sake of Jerusalem, the city that I chose. The Lord raised up Hadad the Edomite as a rival to Solomon. Hadad was from the Edomite royal family. When David had conquered Edom, Joab, the commander of the army, went to bury those killed in battle and killed every male in Edom. Joab and all Israel stayed there six months until they had destroyed every male in Edom. Hadad was a young boy at the time. He and some of his father's Edomite servants fled to Egypt. They left Midian and went to Paran. Taking some men from Paran with them, they went to Pharaoh, the king of Egypt. Pharaoh gave Hadad a home, a food allowance, and land. Pharaoh approved of Hadad, so he gave Hadad his sister-in-law, the sister of Queen Tophanes, to be Hadad's wife. Tophanes' sister had a son named Genubath. Tophanes presented the boy to Pharaoh in the palace, and Genubath lived in the palace among Pharaoh's children. When Hadad heard in Egypt that David had lain down in death with his ancestors and that Joab, the commander of the army, had died, he said to Pharaoh, Let me go to my own country. Pharaoh asked him, what don't you have here that makes you eager to go home? Nothing, he said, but let me leave anyway. God also raised up Rezon, son of Eliada, as a rival to Solomon. Rezon fled from his master, King Hadadezer of Zobah. After David killed the men of Zobah, Rezon gathered men and became the leader of a troop of warriors. They went to Damascus, settled there, and ruled the kingdom in Damascus. In addition to the trouble that Hadad caused, Rezon was Israel's rival as long as Solomon lived. He ruled Aram and despised Israel. There was also Jeroboam, who was the son of Nebat, and an Ephrathite from Zeredah. His mother, Zeruah, was a widow. He was one of Solomon's officers, but he rebelled against the king. This was the situation when he rebelled against the king. 
Solomon was building the Milo and repairing a break in the wall of the city of David. Solomon saw that Jeroboam was a very able and hard-working man, so he put Jeroboam in charge of all forced labor from the tribes of Joseph. At that time Jeroboam left Jerusalem. The prophet Ahijah from Shiloh met him on the road. The two of them were alone in the open country, and Ahijah had on new clothes. Ahijah took his new garment and tore it into twelve pieces. He told Jeroboam, Take ten pieces, because this is what the Lord God of Israel says. I am going to tear the kingdom out of Solomon's hands and give ten tribes to you. He will have one tribe left because of my servant David and Jerusalem, the city I have chosen from all the tribes of Israel. I will do this because he has abandoned me and worshipped Astarte, the goddess of the Sidonians, Chemosh, the god of Moab, and Milcom, the god of Ammon. He has not followed my ways. He did not do what I consider right or keep my laws and decrees as his father David did. I will not take the whole kingdom from him. Instead, I will allow him to be ruler as long as he lives because of my servant David, whom I chose, who obeyed my commands and laws." But I will take the kingdom away from his son and give you ten tribes. I will give his son one tribe so that my servant David will always have a lamp in my presence in Jerusalem, the city where I chose to place my name. I will choose you so that you can rule everything you desire. You will be king of Israel. If you will do all I command you, follow my ways and do what I consider right by obeying my laws and commands as my servant David did, then I will be with you. I will build a permanent dynasty for you as I did for David, and I will give you Israel. I will make David's descendants suffer for this, but not always. Then Solomon tried to kill Jeroboam, but Jeroboam fled to King Shishak of Egypt. He stayed in Egypt until Solomon died. Aren't the rest of Solomon's acts, everything he did, and his wisdom written in the records of Solomon? The length of Solomon's reign in Jerusalem over all Israel was forty years. Solomon laid down in death with his ancestors and was buried in the city of David. His son Rehoboam succeeded him as king. 1 Kings chapter 12 Rehoboam went to Shechem because all Israel had gone to Shechem to make him king. Jeroboam, Nebat's son, was still in Egypt where he had fled from King Solomon. When he heard about Rehoboam, he returned from Egypt. Israel sent for Jeroboam and invited him back. Jeroboam and the entire assembly of Israel went to speak to Rehoboam. They said, Your father made us carry a heavy burden. Reduce the hard work and lighten the heavy burden he put on us, and we will serve you. He said to them, Leave and come back the day after tomorrow. So the people left. King Rehoboam sought advice from the older leaders who had served his father Solomon while he was still alive. He asked, What do you advise? How should I respond to these people? They told him, if you will serve these people today, humble yourself and speak gently, then they will always be your servants. But he ignored the advice the older leaders gave him. He sought advice from the young men who had grown up with him and were serving him. He asked them, What is your advice? How should we respond to these people who are asking me to lighten the burden my father put on them? The young men who had grown up with him answered, This is what you should tell them. My little finger is heavier than my father's whole body. If my father put a heavy burden on you, I will add to it. If my father punished you with whips, I will punish you with scorpions. So Jeroboam and all the people came back to Rehoboam two days later, as the king had instructed them. The king answered the people harshly. He ignored the advice the older leaders gave him. He spoke to them as the young men advised. He said, 
If my father made your burden heavy, I will add to it. If my father punished you with whips, I will punish you with scorpions. The king refused to listen to the people because the Lord was directing these events to carry out the promise he had made to Jeroboam, Nebat's son, through Ahijah from Shiloh. When all Israel saw that the king refused to listen to them, the people answered the king, What share do we have in David's kingdom? We won't receive an inheritance from Jesse's son. To your tents, Israel. Now look after your own house, David. So Israel went home to their own tents. But Rehoboam ruled the Israelites who lived in the cities of Judah. Then King Rehoboam sent Adoram to Israel. He was in charge of forced labor, but they stoned him to death. So King Rehoboam got on his chariot as fast as he could and fled to Jerusalem. Israel has rebelled against David's dynasty to this day. When all Israel heard that Jeroboam had returned, they sent men to invite him to the assembly. They made him king of all Israel. Only the tribe of Judah remained loyal to David's dynasty. When Rehoboam came to Jerusalem, he gathered all the people of Judah and the tribe of Benjamin, 180,000 of the best soldiers, to fight against the people of Israel and return the kingdom to Rehoboam, son of Solomon. But God spoke his word to Shemaiah, the man of God. He said, Speak to Judah's king Rehoboam, son of Solomon, and all the people of Judah and Benjamin, and the rest of the people. This is what the Lord says. Don't wage war against your relatives from Israel. Everyone go home. What has happened is my doing. So they obeyed the word of the Lord. They returned home as the Lord told them. Jeroboam rebuilt Shechem in the hills of Ephraim and lived there. Then he left that place and built Penuel. He said to himself, The kingdom will probably return to David's dynasty now. King Rehoboam of Judah, the former master of these people, will regain popularity if they go to sacrifice in the Lord's temple in Jerusalem. Then they will kill me and return to King Rehoboam of Judah. After seeking advice, the king made two golden calves. He said, You've been worshipping in Jerusalem long enough, Israel. Here are your gods who brought you out of Egypt. He put one in Bethel and the other in Dan. Worshipping them became Israel's sin. The people went as far as Dan to worship the one calf. Jeroboam built worship sites on hilltops. He appointed men who were not descended from Levi to be priests. Jeroboam appointed a festival on the fifteenth day of the eighth month, just like the festival in Judah. He went to the altar in Bethel to sacrifice to the calves he had made. He appointed priests from the illegal worship sites to serve in Bethel. He went to his altar in Bethel to burn an offering on the fifteenth day of the eighth month, the festival he had invented for the Israelites. 1 Kings chapter 13. A man of God from Judah had come to Bethel. When he arrived, Jeroboam was standing at the altar to offer a sacrifice. By a command of the Lord, this man condemned the altar. Altar, altar, this is what the Lord says. There will be a son born in David's family line. His name will be Josiah. Here on you, Josiah, will sacrifice the priests from the illegal worship sites who offer sacrifices on you. Human bones, will be burned on you. That day the man of God also gave them a miraculous sign, saying, This is the sign that the Lord will give you. You will see the altar torn apart. The ashes on it will be poured on the ground. When King Jeroboam heard the man of God condemning the altar in Bethel, he pointed to the man across the altar. Arrest him, he said. But the arm that he used to point to the man of God was paralyzed so that he couldn't pull it back. The altar was torn apart, and the ashes from the altar were poured on the ground. This was the miraculous sign the man of God performed at the Lord's command. 
Then the king asked the man of God, Please make an appeal to the Lord your God and pray for me so that I can use my arm again. So the man of God made an appeal to the Lord, and the king was able to use his arm again, as he had earlier. The king told the man of God, Come home with me, have something to eat and drink, and I will give you a gift. The man of God told the king, Even if you gave me half of your palace, I would never go with you to eat or drink there. When the Lord spoke to me, he commanded me not to eat or drink or go back on the same road I took. So the man of God left on another road and didn't go back on the road he had taken to Bethel. An old prophet was living in Bethel. His sons told him everything the man of God did in Bethel that day and the exact words he had spoken to the king. When they told their father, he said to them, Which road did he take? His sons had seen which road the man of God from Judah had taken. The old prophet told his sons, Saddle the donkey for me. After they had saddled the donkey for him, he got on it. He went after the man of God and found him sitting under an oak tree. The old prophet asked him, Are you the man of God who came from Judah? Yes, he answered. Come home with me and eat a meal, the old prophet replied. The man of God said, I'm not allowed to go back with you. I'm not allowed to eat or drink with you. When the Lord spoke to me, he told me not to eat or drink there or go back on the road I took to get there. The old prophet said, I'm also a prophet like you. An angel spoke the word of the Lord to me. He said, Bring him home with you so that he may have something to eat and drink. But the old prophet was lying. The man of God went back with him and ate and drank in his home. When they were sitting at the table, the Lord spoke his word to the old prophet who had brought back the man of God. The Lord also called to the man of God. He said, This is what the Lord says. You rebelled against the words from the Lord's mouth and didn't obey the command that the Lord your God gave you. You came back, ate, and drank at this place about which he told you, Don't eat or drink there. That is why your dead body will not be allowed to be placed in the tomb of your ancestors. After the old prophet had something to eat and drink, he saddled the donkey for the prophet whom he had brought back. The man of God left. A lion found him as he traveled on the road and killed him. His dead body was thrown on the road. The donkey and the lion were standing by the body. People who passed by saw the body lying on the road and the lion standing by the body. They talked about it in the city where the old prophet was living. When the old prophet who had brought the man of God back from the road heard about it, he said, It's the man of God who rebelled against the words from the Lord's mouth. The Lord gave him to the lion. It tore him to pieces and killed him as the word of the Lord had told him. Then the old prophet told his sons to saddle his donkey for him. So they did. He found the body of the man thrown on the road. He also found the donkey and the lion standing beside it. The lion had not eaten the body, nor had it torn the donkey to pieces. The old prophet picked up the body of the man of God, laid it on the donkey, and brought it back. He came to his own city to mourn for him and to bury him. He laid the body of the man of God in his own tomb and mourned over the man, saying, O oh, no, my brother, my brother. After he had buried the man of God, he said to his sons, When I die, bury me in the tomb where the man of God was buried. Lay my bones beside his bones. The things that he announced by a command of the Lord against the altar in Bethel and all the illegal worship sites in the cities of Samaria will happen. Even after this, Jeroboam didn't change his evil ways, but he once again made some men priests for the illegal worship sites. He took all who were willing and appointed them to be priests at the worship sites. Appointing illegal priests became the sin of Jeroboam's family, 
so that it had to be destroyed and wiped off the face of the earth. 1 Kings chapter 14. At that time, Abijah, son of Jeroboam, got sick. Jeroboam told his wife, Go to Shiloh, but disguise yourself so that people will not recognize you as my wife. The prophet Ahijah, who told me I would be king of these people, is there. Take ten loaves of bread, some raisins, and a jar of honey with you, and go to him. He will tell you what will happen to the boy. Jeroboam's wife did this. She left, went to Shiloh, and came to the home of Ahijah. Ahijah couldn't see. His eyesight had failed because he was old. However, the Lord had told Ahijah, Jeroboam's wife is coming to ask you about her son who is sick. When she comes, she will pretend to be someone else. He also told Ahijah what to say to her. Ahijah heard her footsteps when she came into the room. He said, Come in. You're Jeroboam's wife. Why are you pretending to be someone else? I've been told to give you some terrible news. Tell Jeroboam, This is what the Lord God of Israel says. I picked you out of the people and made you a leader over my people Israel. I tore the kingdom away from David's heirs and gave it to you. But you have not been like my servant David. He obeyed my commands and faithfully followed me by doing only what I considered right. You have done more evil things than everyone before you. You made other gods, metal idols, for yourself. You made me furious and turned your back to me. That is why I will bring disaster on Jeroboam's house. I will destroy every male in his house, whether slave or free man in Israel. I will burn down Jeroboam's house. It will burn like manure until it is gone. If anyone from Jeroboam's house dies in the city, dogs will eat him. If anyone dies in the country, birds will eat him. The Lord has said this. Get up and go home. The moment you set foot in the city, the child will die. All Israel will mourn for him and bury him. He is the only one of Jeroboam's family who will be properly buried. He was the only one in Jeroboam's house in whom the Lord God of Israel found anything good. The Lord will appoint a king over Israel. That king will destroy Jeroboam's house. This will happen today. It will happen right now. The Lord will strike Israel like cattails which shake in the water. He will uproot Israel from this good land which he gave their ancestors. He will scatter them beyond the Euphrates River because they dedicated poles to the goddess Asherah and made the Lord furious. So the Lord will desert Israel because of Jeroboam's sins, the sins which he led Israel to commit. Jeroboam's wife got up, left, and went to Tirzah. When she walked across the threshold of her home, the boy died. All Israel buried him and mourned for him, as the Lord had said through his servant, the prophet Ahijah. Everything else concerning Jeroboam, his wars, and his reign is written in the official records of the kings of Israel. Jeroboam ruled for twenty-two years. Then he lay down in death with his ancestors. His son, Nadab, succeeded him as king. Rehoboam, son of Solomon, ruled Judah. He was forty-one years old when he began to rule. He ruled for seventeen years in Jerusalem, the city that the Lord chose from all the tribes of Israel, the city where the Lord put his name. Rehoboam's mother was an Ammonite woman named Naamah. The people of Judah did what the Lord considered evil. Their sins made him more angry than anything their ancestors had done. They built worship sites for themselves and put up large stones and Asherah poles to worship on every high hill and under every large tree. There were even male prostitutes in the temples of idols throughout the land. The people of Judah did all the disgusting practices done by the nations that the Lord had forced out of the Israelites' way. 
In the fifth year of Rehoboam's reign, King Shishak of Egypt attacked Jerusalem. He took the treasures from the Lord's temple and the royal palace. He took them all. He took all the gold shields Solomon had made. So King Rehoboam made bronze shields to replace them and put them by the entrance to the royal palace where the captains of the guards were stationed. Whenever the king went into the Lord's temple, guards carried the shields and then returned them to the guardroom. Isn't everything else concerning Rehoboam, everything he did, written in the official records of the kings of Judah? There was war between Rehoboam and Jeroboam as long as they lived. Rehoboam lay down in death with his ancestors and was buried with them in the city of David. His mother was an Ammonite woman named Naamah. His son, Abijam, succeeded him as king. 1 Kings chapter 15 In the eighteenth year of the reign of Jeroboam, Nebat's son, Abijam began to rule Judah. He ruled for three years in Jerusalem. His mother was named Maacah, daughter of Abishalom. He followed the sinful example his father had set and wasn't committed to the Lord his God as his ancestor David had been. But for David's sake, the Lord his God made Abijam a lamp in Jerusalem. He appointed David's descendant to rule after him and protected Jerusalem. The Lord did this because David did what the Lord considered right. David never failed to do anything the Lord commanded him to do his entire life, except in the matter concerning Uriah the Hittite. There was war between Abijam and Rehoboam throughout their lives. Isn't everything else about Abijam, everything he did, written in the official records of the kings of Judah? There was war between Abijam and Jeroboam. Abijam lay down in death with his ancestors and was buried in the city of David. His son Asa succeeded him as king. In Jeroboam's twentieth year as king of Israel, Asa began to rule as king of Judah. He ruled forty-one years in Jerusalem. His grandmother was named Maacah, daughter of Abishalom. Asa did what the Lord considered right, as his ancestor David had done. He forced the male temple prostitutes out of the land and got rid of the idols his father had made. He also removed his grandmother Maacah from the position of queen mother because she made a statue of the repulsive goddess Asherah. Asa cut the statue down and burned it in the Kidron Valley. Although the illegal worship sites were not torn down, Asa remained committed to the Lord his entire life. He brought into the Lord's temple the silver, the gold, and the utensils he and his father had set apart as holy. There was war between Asa and King Baasha of Israel as long as they lived. King Baasha of Israel invaded Judah and fortified Ramah to keep anyone from going to or coming from King Asa of Judah. Then Asa took all the silver and gold that was left in the treasuries of the Lord's temple and the royal palace and turned them over to his officials. King Asa sent them to Damascus to Aram's king Ben-Hadad, son of Tibramum and grandson of Hezion. He said, There's a treaty between you and me, as there was between your father and my father. I'm sending you a present of silver and gold. Now break your treaty with King Baasha of Israel, so that he will leave me alone. Ben-Hadad did what King Asa requested. He sent his generals and their armies to attack the cities of Israel. He conquered Aijon, Dan, Abel Beth Maacah, and the entire area around Kinneroth, with the entire territory of Naphtali. When Baasha heard the news, he stopped fortifying Ramah and lived in Tirzah. Then King Asa drafted everyone in Judah and excused no one. He made them carry the stones and lumber from Ramah. Baasha had been using those to fortify the city. King Asa used the materials to fortify Geba in Benjamin and Mizpah. Isn't everything else about Asa, all his heroic acts, everything he did, 
and the cities he fortified, written in the official records of the kings of Judah. But when he was old, he had a foot disease. Asa lay down in death with his ancestors. He was buried with his ancestors in the city of his ancestor David. His son Jehoshaphat succeeded him as king. Nadab, son of Jeroboam, began to rule Israel in Asa's second year as king of Judah. He ruled for two years. He did what the Lord considered evil, living as his father did, leading Israel into the same sins. Then Baasha, son of Ahijah, from the tribe of Issachar, plotted against Nadab. Baasha assassinated him in the Philistine city of Gibbethon, while Nadab and the Israelite forces were attacking it. The assassination happened in Asa's third year as king of Judah. Baasha succeeded Nadab as king of Israel. As soon as he was king, he killed everyone else in Jeroboam's family. He did not spare a soul, as the Lord had spoken through his servant Ahijah from Shiloh. This was because of Jeroboam's sins and the sins which he led Israel to commit. Those sins made the Lord God of Israel furious. Isn't everything else about Nadab, everything he did, written in the official records of the kings of Israel? There was war between Asa and Baasha as long as they lived. In Asa's third year as king of Judah, Baasha, son of Ahijah, began to rule Israel in Tirzah. He ruled for twenty-four years. He did what the Lord considered evil. He lived like Jeroboam and led Israel into committing the same sins. 1 Kings chapter 16 The Lord spoke his word to Jehu, Anani's son, against Baasha. He said, I raised you from the dust and made you leader of my people Israel, but you have lived like Jeroboam. You have led my people to sin, and their sins make me furious. So I will destroy Baasha and his family. I will make his family like the family of Jeroboam, Nebat's son. Dogs will eat anyone from Baasha's family who dies in the city. Birds will eat anyone from his family who dies in the country. Isn't everything else about Baasha, what he did and his heroic acts, written in the official records of the kings of Israel? Baasha lay down in death with his ancestors and was buried in Tirzah. His son Elah succeeded him as king. In addition, the Lord spoke his word to the prophet Jehu, Hanani's son, against Baasha and his family, because of all the things Baasha did which the Lord considered evil. Baasha's actions, which made the Lord furious, were like the sin of Jeroboam's family. The Lord was also furious because Baasha destroyed Jeroboam's family. Elah, son of Baasha, began to rule Israel in Asa's twenty-sixth year as Judah's king. He ruled in Tirzah for two years. But Zimri, the general who commanded half of Elah's chariots, plotted against him. Elah was getting drunk in Tirzah at Arza's house. Arza was in charge of the palace in Tirzah. Zimri entered Arza's house, attacked Elah, and killed him in Asa's twenty-seventh year as king of Judah. Zimri succeeded Elah as king of Israel. At the beginning of Zimri's reign, as soon as he was on his throne, he killed Baasha's entire family. He didn't spare any of Baasha's male relatives or friends. So Zimri destroyed Baasha's entire family, as the Lord had spoken through the prophet Jehu. This was for all the sins committed by Baasha and his son Elah. They sinned, led Israel to sin, and made the Lord God of Israel furious because of their worthless idols. Isn't everything else about Elah, everything he did, written in the official records of the kings of Israel? In Asa's twenty-seventh year as Judah's king, Zimri ruled for seven days in Tirzah, while the army was camped near the Philistine city of Gibbethon. When the army heard that Zimri had plotted against the king and killed him, the Israelites' troops in the camp made Omri, the commander of the army, king of Israel. Omri and the Israelite troops with him left Gibbethon and attacked Tirzah. 
When Zimri saw that the city had been captured, he went into the stronghold in the royal palace and burned down the palace over his own head. He died because of the sins he had committed, the things the Lord considered evil. Zimri lived like Jeroboam and led Israel to sin. Isn't everything else about Zimri and his plot written in the official records of the kings of Israel? Then the army of Israel was divided into two factions. Half of the army followed Tibni, son of Ginath, and wanted to make him king. The other half followed Omri. But the half which followed Omri was stronger than the half which followed Tibni, Ginath's son. Tibni died, and Omri became king. Omri began to rule Israel in Asa's thirty-first year as king of Judah. He ruled for twelve years, six of them in Tirzah. Omri bought a hill from Shemer for one hundred fifty pounds of silver. He fortified the hill and built the city of Samaria on it. He named the city after its former owner, Shemer. Omri did what the Lord considered evil. He did more evil things than all the kings before him. He lived exactly like Jeroboam Nebat's son. He sinned and led Israel to sin with worthless idols, and the Israelites made the Lord God of Israel furious. Isn't everything else about Omri, what he did and his heroic acts, written in the official records of the kings of Israel? Omri lay down in death with his ancestors and was buried in Samaria. His son Ahab succeeded him as king. Ahab, son of Omri, began to rule Israel in Asa's thirty-eighth year as king of Judah. He ruled for twenty-two years in Samaria. Ahab, son of Omri, did what the Lord considered evil. He was worse than all the kings who were before him. It wasn't enough that he committed the same sins as Jeroboam, Nebat's son. He also married Jezebel, daughter of King Ethbaal of Sidon. Ahab then served and worshipped Baal. He built the temple of Baal in Samaria and set up an altar there. Ahab made poles dedicated to the goddess Asherah. He did more to make the Lord God of Israel furious than all the kings of Israel who came before him. In Ahab's time, Hael from Bethel rebuilt Jericho. Laying the foundation cost him his firstborn son, Abiram. Setting up the city doors cost him his youngest son, Segub. The Lord had spoken this through Joshua, son of Nun. 1 Kings chapter 17 Elijah, who was from Tishbe, but had settled in Gilead, said to Ahab, I solemnly swear, as the Lord God of Israel, whom I serve, lives, there will be no dew or rain during the next few years unless I say so. Then the Lord spoke his word to Elijah, Leave here, turn east, and hide beside the Cherith River, which is east of the Jordan River. You can drink from the stream, and I've commanded ravens to feed you there. Elijah left and did what the word of the Lord had told him. He went to live by the Cherith River, which is east of the Jordan River. Ravens brought him bread and meat in the morning and in the evening, and he drank from the stream. But after some time the stream dried up because no rain had fallen in the land. Then the Lord spoke his word to Elijah, Get up, go to Zarephath, which belongs to Sidon, and stay there. I've commanded a widow there to feed you. He got up and went to Zarephath. As he came to the town's entrance, a widow was gathering wood. He called to her, Please bring me a drink of water. As she was going to get it, he called to her again, Please bring me a piece of bread, too. She said, I solemnly swear, as the Lord your God lives, I didn't bake any bread. I have one handful of flour in a jar and a little oil in a jug. I'm gathering wood. I'm going to prepare something for myself and my son so that we can eat it and then die. Then Elijah told her, Don't be afraid. Go home and do as you've said. But first make a small loaf and bring it to me. 
Then prepare something for yourself and your son. This is what the Lord God of Israel says. Until the Lord sends rain on the land, the jar of flour will never be empty, and the jug will always contain oil. She did what Elijah had told her. So she, Elijah, and her family had food for a long time. The jar of flour never became empty, and the jug always contained olive oil, as the Lord had promised through Elijah. Afterwards, the son of the woman who owned the house got sick. He got so sick that finally no life was left in him. The woman asked Elijah, What do you and I have in common, man of God? Did you come here to remind me of my sin and kill my son? He said to her, Give me your son. Elijah took him from her arms, carried him to the upstairs room where he was staying, and laid him on his own bed. Then he called to the Lord, Lord my God, have you brought misery on the widow I'm staying with by killing her son? Then Elijah stretched himself over the boy three times and called to the Lord, Lord my God, please make this child's life return to him. The Lord heard Elijah's request, and the child's life returned to him. He was alive again. Elijah took the child, brought him down from the upstairs room to the house, and gave him to his mother. He said, Look, your son is alive. The woman said to Elijah, Now I am convinced that you are a man of God, and that the word of the Lord from your mouth is true. 1 Kings chapter 18 A while later, in the third year of the drought, the Lord spoke his word to Elijah. Present yourself to Ahab. I will allow rain to fall on the ground. So Elijah went to present himself to Ahab. The famine was particularly severe in Samaria. Ahab sent for Obadiah, who was in charge of the palace. Obadiah was a devout worshiper of the Lord. When Jezebel was killing the Lord's prophets, Obadiah had hidden one hundred prophets in caves. He put fifty prophets in each cave and kept them alive by providing bread and water for them. Ahab told Obadiah, Let's go throughout the countryside to every spring and stream, if we can find grass, then we can keep the horses and mules alive and not lose any animals. So they split up in order to cover the entire countryside. Ahab went one way by himself, and Obadiah went the other way by himself. Obadiah was on the road when he met Elijah. Obadiah recognized him and immediately bowed down to the ground. Is it you, my master Elijah? he asked. Yes, Elijah answered him. Tell your master that Elijah is here. Obadiah asked. What have I done wrong to make you hand me over to Ahab to be killed? I solemnly swear as the Lord your God lives. My master has searched for you in every region and kingdom. When people would say, He isn't here, my master made that kingdom or region take an oath that they hadn't found you. Now you say, Tell your master that Elijah is here. This is what will happen. When I leave you, the Lord's Spirit will take you away to some unknown place. I'll tell Ahab, but he won't be able to find you. Then he will kill me. I have been faithful to the Lord since I was a child. Haven't you heard what I did when Jezebel killed the Lord's prophets? Haven't you heard how I hid one hundred of the Lord's prophets in caves? I hid fifty prophets in each cave and provided bread and water for them. Now you say that I should tell my master that Elijah is here. He will kill me. Elijah said, I solemnly swear as the Lord of armies whom I serve lives, I will present myself to Ahab. So Obadiah went to tell Ahab. Ahab went to meet Elijah. When he saw Elijah, Ahab said, Is that you, you troublemaker of Israel? Elijah answered, I haven't troubled Israel. You and your father's family have done it by disobeying the Lord's commands and following the various Baal gods. 
Order all Israel together around me on Mount Carmel, and bring the four hundred fifty prophets of Baal and four hundred prophets of Asherah who eat at Jezebel's table. Ahab sent word to all the Israelites and brought the prophets together on Mount Carmel. Elijah stood up in front of all the people and asked them, How long will you try to have it both ways? If the Lord is God, follow him. If Baal is God, follow him. The people didn't say a word. So Elijah told the people, I'm the only surviving prophet of the Lord, but there are four hundred fifty prophets of Baal. Give us two bulls. Let the prophets of Baal choose one for themselves, cut it into pieces, lay it on the wood, but not set it on fire. I'll do the same with the other bull. You call on the name of your gods, but I will call on the name of the Lord. The God who answers by fire is the real God. All the people answered, That's fine. Elijah told the prophets of Baal, Choose one bull for yourselves. Prepare yours first, because there are more of you. Call on the name of your God, but don't set the wood on fire. They took the bull he gave them, prepared it, and called on the name of Baal from morning until noon. They said, Baal, answer us. But there wasn't a sound or an answer. So they danced around the altar they had made. At noon, Elijah started to make fun of them. Shout louder, since he is a god. Maybe he's thinking, relieving himself, or traveling. Maybe he's sleeping, and you have to wake him. So they shouted louder. They also cut themselves with swords and spears until their blood flowed. This is what their ritual called for. In the afternoon they continued to rant and rave until the time for the evening sacrifice, but there was no sound, no answer, no attention given to them. Then Elijah said to all the people, Come over here. So all the people came to him. He rebuilt the Lord's altar that had been torn down. Elijah took twelve stones, one for each of the tribes named after Jacob's sons. The Lord had spoken his word to Jacob, Your name will be Israel. Elijah built an altar in the Lord's name with those stones. He also made a trench that could hold twelve quarts of grain around the altar. He arranged the wood, cut up the bull, and put it on the wood. He said, Fill four jars with water. Pour the water on the offering and on the wood. Then he said, Do it again. And they did it again. Then he said, Do it a third time. And they did it a third time. The water flowed around the altar, and even the trench was filled with water. When it was time to offer the sacrifice, the prophet Elijah stepped forward. He said, Lord God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, make known today that you are God in Israel, and that I am your servant, and have done all these things by your instructions. Answer me, Lord, answer me. Then these people will know that you, Lord, are God, and that you are winning back their hearts. So a fire from the Lord fell down and consumed the burnt offering, wood, stones, and dirt. The fire even dried up the water that was in the trench. All the people saw it, and immediately bowed down to the ground. The Lord is God, they said. The Lord is God. Elijah told them, Seize the prophets of Baal. Don't let any of them escape. The people seized them, and Elijah took them to the Kishon River and slaughtered them there. Then Elijah told Ahab, Get up, eat and drink. It sounds like a heavy rain is coming. Ahab got up to eat and drink. Elijah went to the top of Carmel and bowed down on the ground to pray. He said to his servant, Please go back to Mount Carmel and look toward the sea. He went up, looked, and came back and said, There's nothing. Seven times Elijah told him, Go back. After the seventh time the servant said, A little cloud like a man's hand is coming from the sea. Elijah said, Go and tell Ahab, 
prepare your chariot and leave before the rain delays you. Gradually the sky grew darker with clouds and wind, and there was a heavy rain. Ahab got into his chariot to go back to Jezreel. The Lord's power was on Elijah. He hiked up his robe and ran ahead of Ahab until they came to Jezreel. 1 Kings chapter 19 Ahab told Jezebel everything Elijah had done, including how he had executed all the prophets. Then Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah. She said, May the gods strike me dead if by this time tomorrow I don't take your life the way you took the lives of Baal's prophets. Frightened, Elijah fled to save his life. He came to Beersheba in Judah and left his servant there. Then he traveled through the wilderness for a day. He sat down under a broom plant and wanted to die. I've had enough now, Lord, he said. Take my life. I'm no better than my ancestors. Then he lay down and slept under the broom plant. An angel touched him and said, Get up and eat. When he looked, he saw near his head some bread baked on hot stones and a jar of water. So he ate, drank, and went to sleep again. The angel of the Lord came back and woke him up again. The angel said, Get up and eat, or your journey will be too much for you. He got up, ate, and drank. Strengthened by that food, he traveled for forty days and nights until he came to Horeb, the mountain of God. There he went into a cave and spent the night. Then the Lord spoke his word to Elijah. He asked, What are you doing here, Elijah? He answered, Lord God of armies, I have eagerly served you. The Israelites have abandoned your promises, torn down your altars, and executed your prophets. I'm the only one left, and they're trying to take my life. God said, Go out and stand in front of the Lord on the mountain. As the Lord was passing by, a fierce wind tore mountains and shattered rocks ahead of the Lord, but the Lord was not in the wind. After the wind came an earthquake, but the Lord wasn't in the earthquake. After the earthquake there was a fire, but the Lord wasn't in the fire, and after the fire there was a quiet, whispering voice. When Elijah heard it, he wrapped his face in his coat, went out, and stood at the entrance of the cave. Then the voice said to him, What are you doing here, Elijah? He answered, Lord God of armies, I have eagerly served you. The Israelites have abandoned your promises, torn down your altars, and executed your prophets. I'm the only one left, and they're trying to take my life. The Lord told him, Go back to the wilderness near Damascus, the same way you came. When you get there, anoint Hazael as king of Aram. Anoint Jehu, son of Nimshi, as king of Israel. And anoint Elisha, son of Shephat, from Abel-Meholah, as prophet to take your place. If anyone escapes from Hazael's sword, Jehu will kill him. And if anyone escapes from Jehu's sword, Elisha will kill him. But I still have seven thousand people in Israel whose knees have not knelt to worship Baal, and whose mouths have not kissed him. Elijah found Elisha, son of Shaphat. Elisha was plowing behind twelve pairs of oxen. He was using the twelfth pair. Elijah took off his coat and put it on Elisha. So Elisha left the oxen, ran after Elijah, and said, Please let me kiss my father and mother goodbye, then I will follow you. Go back, Elijah answered him. I'm not stopping you. Elisha left him, took two oxen, and butchered them. He boiled the meat, using the oxen's yoke for firewood. He gave the meat to the people to eat. Then he left to follow and assist Elijah. First Kings chapter 20 King Ben-Hadad of Aram gathered together his whole army. With him were thirty-two kings along with their horses and chariots. He went to blockade Samaria and fight against it. He sent messengers into the city to King Ahab of Israel. They told Ahab, This is what Ben-Hadad says. Your silver and gold are mine. Your beloved wives and children are mine. The king of Israel answered, As you say, your majesty, I and everything I have are yours. 
But Ben-Hadad sent messengers back to Ahab. They said, Ben-Hadad has sent this message to you. Your silver, gold, wives, and children are mine. Give them to me. At this time tomorrow I'm going to send my servants to search your palace and your servants' houses. They will take anything that you consider valuable. Then the king of Israel called for all the leaders of the country. He said, You can see how this man is looking for trouble. When he sent for my wives, children, silver, and gold, I didn't refuse him. All the leaders and all the people told him, Don't listen to him. Don't agree to his demands. Ahab told Ben-Hadad's messengers, Tell his majesty, I did everything your messengers told me the first time, but I can't do this. The messengers left to take back his answer. Then Ben-Hadad sent Ahab the following message. May the gods strike me dead if there will be enough dust left from Samaria to give a handful to each soldier who follows me. The king of Israel answered, The saying goes, Don't brag about a victory before you have even dressed for battle. Ben-Hadad heard this as he and his allies were drinking in their tents. He told his officers to get ready, so they got ready to attack the city. Then a prophet came to King Ahab of Israel and said, This is what the Lord says, Have you seen this large army? I will hand it over to you today. Then you will know that I am the Lord. Ahab asked, How will this be done? The prophet answered, This is what the Lord says, By using the young officers of the district governors. Who will start the battle? Ahab asked. You will, the prophet answered. Ahab counted the young officers of the district governors. There were 232. After counting them, he counted all the Israelite soldiers. There were 7,000. They attacked at noon, when Ben-Hadad was in his tent getting drunk with the thirty-two kings who were his allies. The young officers of the district governors went out first. Ben-Hadad had sent men to watch the city. They informed him that some men had come out of Samaria. He said, Take them alive, whether they have come out to make peace or to fight. The young officers of the district governors led an attack, and the troops followed them. Each officer killed his opponent. The Arameans fled, and Israel pursued them. King Ben-Hadad of Aram escaped on a horse with the cavalry. The king of Israel went out and destroyed the horses and chariots, and decisively defeated the Arameans. Then the prophet came to the king of Israel and said, Reinforce your army. Consider what you have to do. When spring comes, the king of Aram will attack again. Meanwhile, the officers of King Ben-Hadad of Aram told him, Their god is a god of the hills. That is why they were stronger than we were. However, if we fight them on the plain, we will be stronger than they are. This is what we must do. Remove all of the kings from their positions and substitute governors for them. Recruit an army with as many horses and chariots as the one which was defeated. Then, if we fight them on the plain, we will be stronger than they are. He took their advice and followed it. Spring came, and Ben-Hadad organized the Aramean army and went to Aphek to fight Israel. When the Israelite troops had been organized and given provisions, they went to meet the enemy. The Israelites, while camped opposite the Arameans who filled the country, seemed like two newborn goats. The man of God came again. He said to the king of Israel, This is what the Lord says, Because the Arameans said that the Lord is a God of the hills, but not a God of the valleys, I will hand over their entire army to you. Then you will know that I am the Lord. They camped facing one another for seven days, and on the seventh day the battle started. The Israelites killed one hundred thousand Aramean foot soldiers in one day. The survivors fled to Aphek, the city where the wall fell on twenty-seven thousand of them. Ben-Hadad had also fled. He came to the city and hid in an inner room. His officers told him, We have heard that the kings of Israel are merciful. 
Allow us to dress in sackcloth, put ropes around our necks, and go to the king of Israel. Maybe he'll let you live. So they dressed in sackcloth and put ropes around their necks. They went to the king of Israel and said, Your servant Ben-Hadad says, Please let me live. Ahab asked, He's still alive? He's my brother. The men, watching for a good sign, were quick to take him at his word. Ben-Hadad is your brother, they said. Ahab said, Bring him here. When Ben-Hadad arrived, Ahab had him come up on the chariot with him. Ben-Hadad told him, I will give back the towns my father took from your father. You may set up trading centers in Damascus, as my father did in Samaria. Ahab said, If you will put this into a treaty, I will let you go. So Ahab made a treaty with Ben-Hadad and let him go. A disciple of the prophet spoke to a friend as the word of the Lord had told him. The disciple said, Punch me. But the man refused to punch him. The disciple said, Since you didn't obey the Lord, a lion will kill you when you leave me. When the friend left, a lion found him and killed him. Then the disciple found another man. He said, Punch me. The man punched him hard and wounded him. Then the prophet, disguised with a bandage over his eyes, waited for the king by the road. When the king passed by, the disciple called to him. I went to fight in the battle. A man turned around and brought a prisoner to me. He said, Guard this prisoner. If he gets away, you will pay for his life with your own life, or be fined seventy-five pounds of silver. But while I was busy doing other things, he got away. The king of Israel told him, That's your own penalty. You have determined it yourself. Then he quickly took the bandage off his eyes. The king of Israel recognized him as one of the prophets. The prophet told him, This is what the Lord says. You let the man go. He was claimed by God and should have been killed. For that reason your life will be taken in place of his life, and your people in place of his people. Resentful and upset, the king of Israel went home to Samaria. 1 Kings chapter 21 This is what happened next. Naboth from Jezreel had a vineyard in Jezreel next to the palace of King Ahab of Samaria. Ahab told Naboth, Give me your vineyard. It will become my vegetable garden, because it is near my house. I will give you a better vineyard for it. Or, if you prefer, I will pay you a fair price for it. Naboth told Ahab, The Lord has forbidden me to give you what I inherited from my ancestors. Resentful and upset, Ahab went home because of what Naboth from Jezreel had told him. Naboth had said, I will not give you what I inherited from my ancestors. So Ahab lay on the couch, turned his face from everyone, and refused to eat. His wife Jezebel came to him and asked, Why are you so resentful of everything? Why don't you eat? He told her, I talked to Naboth from Jezreel. I said to him, Sell me your vineyard, or if you like, I'll give you another vineyard for it. But he said, I won't give you my vineyard. His wife Jezebel said to him, Aren't you king of Israel? Get up, eat and cheer up. I'll give you the vineyard belonging to Naboth from Jezreel. So Jezebel wrote letters, signed them with Ahab's name, and sealed them with his seal. She sent them to the respected leaders and nobles living in Naboth's city. In these letters she wrote, Announce a fast. Seat Naboth as leader of the people. Have two good-for-nothing men sit opposite him and accuse him of cursing God and the king. Then stone him to death outside the city. The men in Naboth's city, the respected leaders and nobles who lived there, did what Jezebel asked them to do. They did just as she had written in the letter she sent. They announced a fast, and had Naboth seated as the leader of the people. The two good-for-nothing men came in and sat opposite him. In front of the people, these men accused Naboth of cursing God and the king. 
So the people stoned him to death outside the city. Then the leaders sent this message to Jezebel. Naboth has been stoned to death. Jezebel received the message and said to Ahab, Get up, confiscate the vineyard which Naboth from Jezreel refused to sell you. He's dead now. When he heard about Naboth's death, Ahab went to confiscate the vineyard. Then the Lord spoke his word to Elijah from Tishbe. Go, meet King Ahab of Israel, who lives in Samaria. He went to confiscate Naboth's vineyard. Tell him, this is what the Lord asks. Have you murdered someone just to confiscate a vineyard? Then tell him, this is what the Lord says. At the place where the dogs licked up Naboth's blood, the dogs will lick up your blood. Ahab asked Elijah, So you found me, my enemy. Elijah answered, I found you because you sold yourself to do what the Lord considers evil. So I am going to bring evil on you. I will destroy your descendants. I will destroy every male in Ahab's house, whether slave or free man in Israel. I will make your family like the family of Jeroboam, Nebat's son, and like the house of Baasha, son of Ahijah, because you made me furious. You led Israel to sin. Then the Lord also spoke through Elijah about Jezebel. The dogs will eat Jezebel inside the walls of Jezreel. If anyone from Ahab's house dies in the city, dogs will eat him. If anyone dies in the country, birds will eat him. There was no one else like Ahab. At the urging of his wife, he sold himself to do what the Lord considered evil. He did many disgusting things as a result of worshipping idols, as the Amorites had done. The Lord confiscated their land for Israel. When Ahab heard these things, he tore his clothes in distress and dressed in sackcloth. He fasted, lay in sackcloth, and walked around depressed. Then the Lord spoke his word to Elijah from Tishbe. Do you see how Ahab is humbling himself in my presence? Because he's humbling himself in my presence, I will not let any evil happen to his family while he is alive. I will bring evil on it during his son's lifetime. 1 Kings chapter 22 For three years there was no war between Aram and Israel. In the third year King Jehoshaphat of Judah went to visit the king of Israel. The king of Israel asked his staff, Do you know that Ramoth and Gilead belongs to us, and we are doing nothing to take it back from the king of Aram? Then he asked Jehoshaphat, Will you go with me to fight at Ramoth and Gilead? Jehoshaphat told the king of Israel, I will do what you do. My troops will do what your troops do. My horses will do what your horses do. Then Jehoshaphat said to the king of Israel, But first find out what the word of the Lord is in this matter. So the king of Israel called four hundred prophets together. He asked them, Should I go to war against Ramoth and Gilead or not? Go, they said, the Lord will hand over Ramoth to you. But Jehoshaphat asked, Isn't there a prophet of the Lord whom we could ask? The king of Israel told Jehoshaphat, We can ask the Lord through Micaiah, son of Imlah, but I hate him. He doesn't prophesy anything good about me, only evil. Jehoshaphat answered, The king must not say that. The king of Israel called for an officer and said, Quick, get Micaiah, son of Imlah. The king of Israel and king Jehoshaphat of Judah were dressed in royal robes and seated on thrones. They were on the threshing floor at the entrance to the gate of Samaria. All the prophets were prophesying in front of them. Zedekiah, son of Kenaanah, made iron horns and said, This is what the Lord says, With these horns you will push the Arameans to their destruction. All the other prophets made the same prophecy. They said, Attack Ramoth and Gilead, and you will win. The Lord will hand it over to you. The messenger who went to call Micaiah told him, The prophets have all told the king the same good message. Make your message agree with their message. Say something good. Micaiah answered, 
I solemnly swear, as the Lord lives, I will tell him whatever the Lord tells me. When he came to the king, the king asked him, Micaiah, should we go to war against Ramoth and Gilead or not? Micaiah said to him, Attack, and you will win. The Lord will hand it over to you. The king asked him, How many times must I make you take an oath in the Lord's name to tell me nothing but the truth? So Micaiah said, I saw Israel's troops scattered in the hills like sheep without a shepherd. The Lord said, These sheep have no master. Let each one go home in peace. The king of Israel said to Jehoshaphat, Didn't I tell you he wouldn't prophesy anything good about me, only evil? Micaiah added, Then hear the word of the Lord. I saw the Lord sitting on his throne, and the entire army of heaven was standing near him on his right and his left. The Lord asked, Who will deceive Ahab, so that he will attack and be killed at Ramoth and Gilead? Some answered one way, while others said something else. Then the Spirit stepped forward, stood in front of the Lord, and said, I will deceive him. How? the Lord asked. The Spirit answered, I will go out and be a spirit that tells lies through the mouths of all of Ahab's prophets. The Lord said, You will succeed in deceiving him. Go and do it. So the Lord has put into the mouths of all these prophets of yours a spirit that makes them tell lies. The Lord has spoken evil about you. Then Zedekiah, son of Kenaanah, went to Micaiah and struck him on the cheek. How did the Lord's spirit leave me to talk to you? he asked. Micaiah answered, You will find out on the day you go into an inner room to hide. The king of Israel then said, Send Micaiah back to Ammon, the governor of the city, and to Joash the prince. Say, This is what the king says, Put this man in prison, and feed him nothing but bread and water until I come home safely. Micaiah said, If you really do come back safely, then the Lord wasn't speaking through me. Pay attention to this, everyone. So the king of Israel and king Jehoshaphat of Judah went to Ramoth and Gilead. The king of Israel told Jehoshaphat, I will disguise myself and go into battle, but you should wear your royal robes. So the king of Israel disguised himself and went into battle. The king of Aram had given orders to the thirty-two chariot commanders. He said, Don't fight anyone except the king of Israel. When the chariot commanders saw Jehoshaphat, they said, He must be the king of Israel. So they turned to fight him. But when Jehoshaphat cried out, the chariot commanders realized that he wasn't the king of Israel. They turned away from him. One man aimed his bow at random and hit the king of Israel between his scale armor and his breastplate. Ahab told his chariot driver, Turn around and get me away from these troops. I'm badly wounded. But the battle got worse that day, and the king was kept propped up in his chariot facing the Arameans. He died that evening. The blood from the wound had flowed into the chariot. At sundown a cry went through the army, every man to his own city, every man to his own property. When the king was dead, he was brought to Samaria to be buried. His chariot was washed at the pool of Samaria, where the prostitutes bathed. The dogs licked up his blood, as the Lord had predicted. Isn't everything else about Ahab, everything he did, the ivory palace he built, and all the cities he fortified, written in the official records of the kings of Israel, Ahab lay down in death with his ancestors. His son Ahaziah succeeded him as king. Jehoshaphat, son of Asa, became king of Judah in Ahab's fourth year as king of Israel. Jehoshaphat was thirty-five years old when he began to rule, and he ruled for twenty-five years in Jerusalem. His mother's name was Azubah, daughter of Shilhai. Jehoshaphat carefully followed the example his father Asa had set, and did what the Lord considered right. But the illegal worship sites were not torn down. The people continued to sacrifice and burn incense at these worship sites.
Jehoshaphat made peace with the king of Israel. Isn't everything else about Jehoshaphat, the heroic acts he did and the wars he fought, written in the official records of the kings of Judah? He rid the land of the male temple prostitutes who were left there from the time of his father Asa. There was no king in Edom, instead a deputy ruled. Jehoshaphat made Tarshish-style ships to go to Ophir for gold, but they didn't go because the ships were wrecked at Ezion-Geber. Then Ahaziah, son of Ahab, said to Jehoshaphat, Let my servants go with your servants in the ships. But Jehoshaphat refused. Jehoshaphat lay down in death with his ancestors, and was buried with them in the city of his ancestor David. His son Jehoram succeeded him as king. Ahaziah, son of Ahab, became king of Israel in Samaria during Jehoshaphat's seventeenth year as king of Judah. Ahaziah ruled Israel for two years. He did what the Lord considered evil. He followed the example of his father and mother, and of Jeroboam, Nebat's son, who led Israel to sin. Ahaziah served Baal, worshipped him, and made the Lord God of Israel furious, as his father had done. Second Kings chapter 1 after Ahab died, Moab rebelled against Israel. During the rebellion, King Ahaziah fell through a window lattice in his upstairs room in Samaria and injured himself. So he sent messengers to Ekron. He had told them, Go ask Baalzebub, the god of Ekron, if I will recover from this injury. Then the angel of the Lord said to Elijah from Tishbe, Meet the messengers of the king of Samaria and ask them. Do you seek advice from Baalzebub, the god of Ekron, because you think there is no god in Israel? This is what the Lord says. You will not get up from the bed you are lying on. Instead, you will die there. Then Elijah left. When the messengers returned, the king asked them, Why have you come back so soon? They told him that a man came to meet them and said to them, Go back to the king who sent you. Tell him, This is what the Lord says. Do you send messengers to seek advice from Baalzebub, the god of Ekron, because you think there is no god in Israel? You will not get up from the bed you are lying on. Instead, you will die there. The king asked them, What was the man like who told you this? They replied, He was hairy and had a leather belt around his waist. That's Elijah from Tishpe, the king answered. The king sent an army officer with fifty men to Elijah. When the officer found Elijah sitting on top of a hill, he told Elijah, Man of God, the king says, come down. Elijah answered the officer, If I'm a man of God, fire will come from heaven and burn up you and your fifty men. Then fire came from heaven and burned up the officer and his fifty men. The king sent another officer with fifty men to Elijah. The officer said, Man of God, this is what the king says, come here right away. Elijah answered the officer, if I'm a man of God, fire will come from heaven and burn up you and your fifty men. Then God's fire came from heaven and burned up the officer and his fifty men. The king sent a third officer with fifty men. The officer of the third group went up the hill and knelt in front of Elijah. The officer begged him, Man of God, please treat my life and the lives of these fifty servants of yours as something precious. Fire has come from heaven and burned up the first two officers and their one hundred men but treat my life as something precious. The angel of the Lord told Elijah, Go with him, don't be afraid of him. So Elijah got up and went with him to the king. Elijah told the king, This is what the Lord says. You sent messengers to seek advice from Baalzebub, the god of Ekron. Is this because you think there is no god in Israel whose word you can seek? You will not get up from the bed you are lying on. Instead, you will die there. 
So Ahaziah died as the Lord had predicted through Elijah. Joram succeeded him as king because Ahaziah had no son. Isn't everything else about Ahaziah the things he did written in the official records of the kings of Israel? Second Kings chapter 2. When the Lord was going to take Elijah to heaven in a windstorm, Elijah and Elisha left Gilgal. Elijah said to Elisha, Please stay here, because the Lord is sending me to Bethel. Elisha answered, I solemnly swear, as the Lord lives and as you live, I will not abandon you. So they went to Bethel. Some of the disciples of the prophets at Bethel came to Elisha. They asked him, Do you know that the Lord is going to take your master from you today? He answered, Yes, I know. Be quiet. Elijah said, Elisha, please stay here, because the Lord is sending me to Jericho. Elisha answered, I solemnly swear, as the Lord lives and as you live, I will not abandon you. So they went to Jericho. Then some of the disciples of the prophets who were in Jericho approached Elisha. They asked, Do you know that the Lord is going to take your master from you today? He answered, Yes, I know. Be quiet. Elijah said to Elisha, Please stay here, because the Lord is sending me to the Jordan River. Elisha answered, I solemnly swear, as the Lord lives and as you live, I will not abandon you. Fifty disciples of the prophets stood at a distance as Elijah and Elisha stood by the Jordan River. Elijah took his coat, rolled it up, and struck the water with it. The water divided to their left and their right, and the two men crossed the river on dry ground. While they were crossing, Elijah asked Elisha, What should I do for you before I am taken from you? Elisha answered, Let me inherit a double share of your spirit. Elijah said, You have asked for something difficult. If you see me taken from you, it will be yours, otherwise it will not. As they continued walking and talking, a fiery chariot with fiery horses separated the two of them, and Elijah went to heaven in a windstorm. When Elisha saw this, he cried out, Master, Master, Israel's chariot and horses. When he couldn't see Elijah any more, he grabbed his own garment and tore it in two to show his grief. Then he picked up Elijah's coat, which had fallen off Elijah, went back and stood on the bank of the Jordan River. He took the coat and struck the water with it. He asked, Where is the Lord God of Elijah? As he struck the water, it divided to his left and his right, and Elisha crossed the river. The disciples of the prophets who were at Jericho saw him from a distance. They said, Elijah's spirit rests on Elisha. Then they went to meet him and bowed in front of him with their faces touching the ground. They said to him, There are fifty strong men here with us. Please let them go and search for your master. Maybe the Lord's spirit lifted him up and dropped him on one of the hills or in one of the valleys. Elisha answered, Don't send them to look. But the disciples kept urging him to send the men until he was embarrassed. So he said, Send them. They sent fifty men who searched for three days without finding him. They returned to Elisha in Jericho, where he was waiting. He said, Didn't I tell you not to go? The people of the city of Jericho told Elisha, The city's location is as good as you will ever find, but the water is bad and the land cannot grow crops. Elisha said, Bring me a new jar and put salt in it. They brought it to him. He went to the spring and threw the salt into it. Then he said, This is what the Lord says, I have purified this water. No more deaths or crop failures will come from this water. To this day the water is still pure, as Elisha had said. 
From there he went to Bethel. As he walked along the road, some boys came out of the city and mocked him. They said, Go away, Baldy, go away. Looking back, he saw them and cursed them in the Lord's name. Two bears came out of the woods and tore forty-two of these youths apart. He left that place, went to Mount Carmel, and returned to Samaria. Second Kings chapter 3 Joram, son of Ahab, became king of Israel in Samaria during Jehoshaphat's eighteenth year as king of Judah. He ruled for twelve years. He did what the Lord considered evil, but he didn't do what his father or mother had done. He put away the sacred stone that his father had set up and dedicated to Baal. But he would not give up the sins that Jeroboam, Nebat's son, led Israel to commit. Joram would not turn away from those sins. King Mesha of Moab raised sheep. Each year he had to pay the king of Israel one hundred thousand male lambs and the wool from one hundred thousand rams. But when Ahab died, the king of Moab rebelled against the new king of Israel. King Joram immediately left Samaria to prepare Israel's army for war. He sent this message to King Jehoshaphat of Judah. The king of Moab has rebelled against me. Will you fight Moab with me? Jehoshaphat answered, I'll go. I will do what you do. My troops will do what your troops do. My horses will do what your horses do. Joram asked, Which road should we take? Jehoshaphat answered, The road through the desert of Edom. So the king of Israel, the king of Judah, and the king of Edom took an indirect route to Moab. After seven days they ran out of water for the army and the animals. The king of Israel said, Oh no, the Lord has put the three of us at the mercy of the people of Moab. But Jehoshaphat asked, Isn't there a prophet of the Lord whom we could ask? One of the officials of the king of Israel answered, Elisha the son of Shaphat is here. He used to be Elijah's assistant. Jehoshaphat said, The Lord's word is with him. So king Jehoshaphat of Judah, the king of Israel, and the king of Edom went to Elisha. Elisha asked the king of Israel, Why did you come to me? Go to your father's prophets or your mother's prophets. The king of Israel answered him, No, the Lord has called the three of us in order to put us at Moab's mercy. Elisha answered, I solemnly swear as the Lord of armies whom I serve lives, I wouldn't even bother to look at you or notice you if it weren't for my respect for King Jehoshaphat of Judah. But get me someone to play some music. While the musician was playing, the Lord's power came over Elisha. He said, This is what the Lord says. Make this valley full of ditches. You will not see wind or rain, but this valley will be filled with water. You, your cattle, and your other animals will drink. The Lord considers that an easy thing to do. In addition, he will put Moab at your mercy. You will defeat every walled city and every important city. You will cut down every good tree, seal all the wells, and use rocks to ruin every good piece of land. That is what happened in the morning. At the time of the grain offering, water flowed from Edom and filled the countryside. All the people of Moab heard that the kings had come to fight them, so all men old enough to bear arms were called to fight. They stood at the border. When the Moabites got up early in the morning as the sun was rising over the water, they saw the water from a distance. It was as red as blood. They said, It's blood. The kings have been fighting one another and have killed each other. Now, Moabites, let's take their goods. So when the Moabites came to Israel's camp, the Israelites attacked them, and they fled from the Israelites. Israel went after the Moabites and defeated them. Then Israel tore down the cities, each man throwing rocks on every good field until it was covered. They sealed every well and cut down every good tree. Only the stones in the walls of Kir Hareseth were left. 
Soldiers surrounded Kir Hadaseth and attacked it with slings and stones. When the king of Moab saw he was losing the battle, he took seven hundred swordsmen to try to break through to the king of Edom, but they couldn't do it. Then he took his firstborn son, who would have succeeded him as king, and sacrificed him on the wall as a burnt offering. There was bitter anger against the Israelites, so they went home to their own country. Second Kings chapter 4 One of the wives of a disciple of the prophets called to Elisha, Sir, my husband is dead. You know how he feared the Lord. Now a creditor has come to take my two children as slaves. Elisha asked her, What should I do for you? Tell me, what do you have in your house? She answered, I have nothing in the house except a jar of olive oil. Elisha said, Borrow many empty containers from all your neighbors, then close the door behind you and your children, and pour oil into all those containers. When one is full, set it aside. So she left him and closed the door behind her and her children. The children kept bringing containers to her, and she kept pouring. When the containers were full, she told her son, Bring me another container. He told her, There are no more containers. So the olive oil stopped flowing. She went and told the man of God. He said, Sell the oil and pay your debt. The rest is for you and your children. One day Elisha was traveling through Shunem, where a rich woman lived. She had invited him to eat with her. So whenever he was in the area, he stopped in to eat. She told her husband, I know he's a holy man of God, and he regularly travels past our house. Let's make a small room on the roof and put a bed, table, chair, and lampstand there for him. He can stay there whenever he comes to visit us. One day he came to their house, went into the upstairs room, and rested there. He told his servant Gehazi, Call this Shunem woman. Gehazi called her, and she stood in front of him. Elisha said to Gehazi, Ask her what we can do for her, since she has gone to a lot of trouble for us. Maybe she would like us to speak to the king or the commander of the army for her. She answered, I'm already living among my own people. What should we do for her? Elisha asked. Gehazi answered, well, she has no son, and her husband is old. Elisha said, Call her. So Gehazi called her, and she stood in the doorway. Elisha said, At this time next spring you will hold a baby boy in your arms. She answered, Don't say that, sir. Don't lie to me. You're a man of God. But the woman became pregnant, and had a son at that time next year, as Elisha had told her. Several years later the boy went to his father, who was with the harvest workers. Suddenly he said to his father, My head, my head. The father told his servant, Carry him to his mother. The servant picked him up and brought him to his mother. The boy sat in her lap until noon when he died. She took him upstairs and laid him on the bed of the man of God, left the room and shut the door behind her. She called her husband and said, Please send me one of the servants and one of the donkeys. I will go quickly to the man of God and come back again. Her husband asked, why are you going to him today? It isn't a new moon festival or a day of worship. But she said goodbye to him. She saddled the donkey. Then she told her servant, Lead on. Don't slow down unless I tell you. So she came to the man of God at Mount Carmel. When he saw her coming at a distance, he told his servant Gehazi, There is the woman from Shunem. Run to meet her and ask her how she, her husband, and the boy are doing. Everyone's fine, she answered. When she came to the man of God at the mountain, she took hold of his feet. Gehazi went to push her away, but the man of God said, Leave her alone. She is bitter. The Lord has hidden the reason from me. He hasn't told me. The woman said, 
I didn't ask you for a son. I said, don't raise my hopes. The man of God told Gehazi, put on a belt. Take my shepherd's staff in your hand and go. Whenever you meet anyone, don't stop to greet him. If he greets you, don't stop to answer him. Lay my staff on the boy's face. The boy's mother said, I solemnly swear as the Lord and you live, I will not leave without you. So Elisha got up and followed her. Gehazi went ahead of them and put the staff on the boy's face. But there was no sound or sign of life. So Gehazi came back to meet the man of God. Gehazi told him, The boy didn't wake up. When Elisha came to the house, the dead boy was lying on Elisha's bed. He went into the room, closed the door, and prayed to the Lord. Then he lay on the boy, putting his mouth on the boy's mouth, his eyes on the boy's eyes, his hands on the boy's hands. He crouched over the boy's body, and it became warm. Elisha got up, walked across the room, and came back, and then got back on the bed and crouched over him. The boy sneezed seven times and opened his eyes. Elisha called Gehazi and said, Call the Shunam woman. Gehazi called her. When she came to him, he said, Take your son. Then she immediately bowed at his feet. She took her son and left. When Elisha went back to Gilgal, there was a famine in the country. One day, while the disciples of the prophets were meeting with him, he told his servant, Put a large pot on the fire and cook some stew for the disciples of the prophets. One of them went into the field to gather vegetables and found a wild vine. He filled his clothes with wild gourds. Then he cut them into the pot of stew without knowing what they were. They dished out the food for the men to eat. As they were eating the stew, they cried out, There's death in the pot, man of God. So they couldn't eat it. Elisha said, Bring some flour. He threw it into the pot and said, Dish it out for the people to eat. Then there was nothing harmful in the pot. A man from Baal Shalisha brought bread made from the first harvested grain, twenty barley loaves, and fresh grain to the man of God. The man of God said, Give it to the people to eat. But his servant asked, How can I set this in front of a hundred people? Give it to the people to eat, the man of God said. This is what the Lord says. They will eat and even have some left over. The servant set it in front of them. They ate and had some left over, as the Lord had predicted. Second Kings chapter 5 Naaman, the commander of the Aramean king's army, was respected and highly honored by his master. The Lord had given Aram a victory through Naaman. This man was a good soldier, but he had a skin disease. Once when the Arameans went on raids, they had brought back a little girl from Israel. She became the servant of Naaman's wife. The girl told her mistress, If only my master were with the prophet in Samaria, then the prophet could cure him of his skin disease. Naaman went to his master and told him what the girl from Israel had said. The king of Aram said, You may go. I will also send a letter to the king of Israel. When Naaman left, he took 750 pounds of silver, 150 pounds of gold, and ten sets of clothing with him. He brought the letter to the king of Israel. It read, I'm sending my officer Naaman with this letter. Cure him of his skin disease. When the king of Israel read the letter, he tore his clothes in distress. He asked, Am I God? Can I kill someone and then bring him back to life? This man sends someone to me so that I can cure his skin disease. All of you should realize and understand that he's trying to pick a fight with me. But when Elisha, the man of God, heard that the king of Israel had torn his clothes, he sent a messenger to the king. He asked, Why did you tear your clothes? Please let Naaman come to me and find out that there is a prophet in Israel. 
Now Ammon came with his horses and chariot, and stopped at the entrance to Elisha's home. Elisha sent a messenger to him. He said, Wash yourself seven times in the Jordan River, and your skin will be healthy and clean. But Naaman became angry and left. He said, I thought he would at least come out of his house. Stand somewhere, call on the name of the Lord his God, wave his hand over the infected place, and heal the skin disease. The Abana and Farpa rivers in Damascus have better water than any of the rivers in Israel. Couldn't I wash in them and be clean? So he turned around and left in anger. But Naaman's servants went to him and said, Master, if the prophet had asked you to do some extraordinary act, wouldn't you have done it? Why shouldn't you do as he said, wash and be clean? So he went to dip himself in the Jordan River seven times, as the man of God had instructed him. His skin became healthy again like a little child's skin. Then he and all his men returned to the man of God. Naaman stood in front of Elisha and said, Now I know that there is no God in the whole world except the God of Israel. So please accept a present from me. Elisha said, I solemnly swear, as the Lord whom I serve lives, I will not accept it. Naaman urged him to take it, but he refused. So Naaman said, If you won't take it, please have someone give me as much dirt as a pair of mules can carry. From now on I will sacrifice to the Lord alone. I will not offer any burnt offering or sacrifice to any other gods. May the Lord forgive me when my master goes to the temple of Ramon to worship, leans on my arm, and I have to bow down in the temple of Ramon. When I do this, may the Lord forgive me for this one thing. Elisha told Naaman, Go in peace. After Elisha had left him and gone some distance, Gehazi, the servant of Elisha, the man of God, thought, My master let this Aramean Naaman go without accepting what he had brought. As sure as the Lord lives, I'll run after Naaman and get something from him. So Gehazi went after Naaman. When Naaman saw Gehazi running after him, he got down from his chariot to speak to him. Is something wrong? he asked. Gehazi answered, No, my master has sent me. He says, Just now two young men from the disciples of the prophets in the hills of Ephraim have arrived. Please give them seventy-five pounds of silver and two sets of clothing. Naaman replied, Please let me give you one hundred fifty pounds of silver. Naaman urged him to take the silver. Naaman tied up one hundred fifty pounds of silver in two bags with two sets of clothing. He gave them to a couple of his own servants to carry in front of Gehazi. When Gehazi came to the Ophel in Samaria, he took these things and put them away in the house. Then he dismissed the men, and they left. He went and stood in front of his master. Elisha asked him, Where were you, Gehazi? I didn't go anywhere, he answered. Then Elisha said to him, I went with you in spirit when the man turned around in his chariot to speak to you. How could you accept silver, clothes, olive orchards, vineyards, sheep, cattle, or slaves? Naaman's skin disease will cling to you and your descendants permanently. When he left Elisha, Gehazi had a disease that made his skin as flaky as snow. Second Kings chapter 6 The disciples of the prophet said to Elisha, the place where we're staying is too small for us. Let's go to the Jordan River. Each of us can get some logs and make a place for us to live there. Elisha said, Go ahead. Then one of the disciples asked, Won't you please come with us? Elisha answered, I'll go. So he went with them. They came to the Jordan River and began to cut down trees. As one of them was cutting down a tree, the axe head fell into the water. He cried out, Oh, no, master, it was borrowed. The man of God asked, where did it fall? 
When he showed Elisha the place, Elisha cut off a piece of wood, he threw it into the water at that place, and made the axe head float. Elisha said, Pick it up. The disciple reached for it and picked it up. Whenever the king of Aram was fighting against Israel, he asked for advice from his officers about where they were to camp. So the man of God would send a message to the king of Israel, Be careful not to go by that place. The Arameans are hiding there. Then the king of Israel would send someone to the place that the man of God told him about. Elisha warned them so that they would be on their guard. He did this repeatedly. The king of Aram was very angry about this. He called his officers and asked them, Won't you tell me who among us is a spy for the king of Israel? One of his officers answered, No one, your majesty. Elisha, the prophet in Israel, tells the king of Israel everything you say, even what you say in your bedroom. The king said, Find out where he is, then I will send men to capture him. The king was told, He's in Dothan. So the king sent horses and chariots and a large fighting unit there. They came at night and surrounded the city. When the servant of the man of God got up in the morning and went outside, he saw troops, horses, and chariots surrounding the city. Elisha's servant asked, Master, what should we do? Elisha answered, Don't be afraid. We have more forces on our side than they have on theirs. Then Elisha prayed, Lord, please open his eyes so that he may see. The Lord opened the servant's eyes and let him see. The mountain around Elisha was full of fiery horses and chariots. As the Arameans came down to get him, Elisha prayed to the Lord, Please strike these people with blindness. The Lord struck them with blindness, as Elisha had asked. Elisha told them, This isn't the way. This isn't the city. Follow me, and I will lead you to the man you're looking for. So he led them into Samaria. When they came into Samaria, Elisha said, Lord, open the eyes of these men and let them see. The Lord opened their eyes and let them see that they were in the middle of Samaria. When the king of Israel saw them, he asked Elisha, Master, should I kill them? Should I kill them? Elisha answered, Don't kill them. Do you kill everyone you take captive in combat? Give them food and water. Let them eat and drink. Then let them go back to their master. So the king prepared a great feast for them. They ate and drank and then he sent them back to their master. After this, Aramean troops didn't raid Israel's territory any more. Later King Ben-Hadad of Aram assembled his old army. They went to Samaria and blockaded it. The shortages caused by the blockade of Samaria became so severe that a donkey's head sold for two pounds of silver and a half pint of dove manure for two ounces of silver. As the king of Israel was walking on the city wall, a woman cried to him, Help me, your majesty, he answered. If the Lord doesn't help you, how can I help you? I can't give you something from the threshing floor or the wine press. Then the king asked her, What's the matter? She answered, This woman told me, Give up your son. Let's eat him today. We'll eat my son tomorrow. So we boiled my son and ate him. The next day I told her, Give up your son. We'll eat him. But she hid her son. When the king heard the woman say this, he tore his clothes in distress. As he was walking on the city wall, the people saw that he was wearing sackcloth under his clothes. He said, May God strike me dead if the head of Elisha, son of Shaphat, stays on his body today. Elisha was sitting in his home with the city's leaders. The king had sent one of his men ahead of him to Elisha's house. But before the messenger arrived, Elisha asked the leaders, Do you see how this murderer has sent someone to tear off my head? When the messenger comes, close the door, 
hold it shut, because the king will be following him. While he was still talking to them, the messenger arrived. He said to Elisha, This severe famine is from the Lord. Why should I wait any longer for the Lord to help us? Second Kings chapter 7 Elisha answered, Listen to the word of the Lord. This is what the Lord says. About this time tomorrow, twenty-four cups of the best flour will sell for half an ounce of silver in the gateway to Samaria, and forty-eight cups of barley will sell for half an ounce of silver. The servant on whose arm the king was leaning answered the man of God, Could this happen even if the Lord poured rain through windows in the sky? Elisha replied, You will see it with your own eyes, but you won't eat any of it. Four men with skin diseases were at the entrance of the city gate. One of them asked, Why are we sitting here waiting to die? If we go into the city, the famine is also there, and we'll still die. But if we stay here, we'll die. So let's go to the Aramean camp. If they give us something to keep us alive, we'll live. But if they kill us, we'll die anyway. So they started out at dusk to go into the Aramean camp. When they came to the edge of the camp, no one was there. The Lord had made the Aramean army hear what sounded like chariots, horses, and a large army. The Aramean soldiers said to one another, The king of Israel has hired the Hittite and Egyptian kings to attack us. So at dusk they fled. They abandoned the camp as it was with its tents, horses, and donkeys, and ran for their lives. When the men with skin diseases came to the edge of the camp, they went into a tent, ate and drank, and carried off the silver, gold, and clothes they found in that tent. They went away and hid them. Then they came back, went into another tent, carried off its contents, went away and hid them. Then they said to one another, What we're doing is not right. This is a day of good news, and we're not telling anyone about it. If we wait until morning, when it's light out, we'll be punished. Let's bring the news to the royal palace. So they called the city gatekeepers and told them, We went into the Aramean camp, and we didn't see or hear anyone. The horses and donkeys were still tied up. Even the tents were left exactly as they were. The gatekeepers announced the news to the royal palace. So the king got up at night and told his officers what the Arameans had planned for them. He said, They know we're starving, so they've left the camp to hide in the countryside. They're thinking, When they've left the city, we'll capture them alive and get into the city. One of his officers replied, Please let some men take five of the horses that are left here. Those men will be no worse off than the rest of the Israelites who are dying. Let's send them to take a look. So they took two chariots with horses, and the king sent them to follow the Aramean army and told them to find out what happened. They followed them as far as the Jordan River and saw how the whole road was littered with clothes and equipment that the Arameans had thrown away in their hurry. The messengers returned and told the king about it. So the people went out and looted the Aramean camp. Then twenty-four cups of the best flour sold for half an ounce of silver, and forty-eight cups of barley sold for half an ounce of silver, as the Lord had predicted. The king appointed the servant on whose arm he used to lean to be in charge of the gate. But the people trampled him to death in the gateway, as the man of God had predicted when the king came to him. It happened exactly as the man of God told the king. Forty-eight cups of barley will sell for half an ounce of silver, and twenty-four cups of the best flour will sell for half an ounce of silver. This will happen about this time tomorrow in the gateway to Samaria. Then the servant answered the man of God, Could this happen even if the Lord poured rain through windows in the sky? Elisha answered, You will see it with your own eyes, but you won't eat any of it. So this is what happened to the king's servant. The people trampled him to death in the gateway. Second Kings, Chapter 8 
Elisha had told the woman whose son he had brought back to life, Go away with your family, stay wherever you can. The Lord has decided to send a famine on this country, and it will last seven years. The woman did what the man of God told her. She and her family went to live in Philistine territory for seven years. At the end of seven years, the woman came home from Philistine territory, but left again to make an appeal to the king about her house and land. The king was talking to Gehazi, the servant of the man of God. He said, Please tell me about all the great things Elisha has done. While Gehazi was telling the king how Elisha brought a dead child back to life, the mother came to make an appeal to the king about her house and land. Gehazi said, Your majesty, this is the woman, and this is her son whom Elisha brought back to life. When the king asked the woman about this, she told him the story. So the king assigned to her an attendant to whom he said, Restore all that is hers, including whatever her property produced, from the day she left the country until now. Elisha went to Damascus. King Ben-Hadad of Aram, who was sick, was told, The man of God has come here. The king told Hazael, Take a present and meet the man of God. Ask the Lord through him, Will I recover from this illness? Hazael went to meet Elisha. He took with him a present and all kinds of goods from Damascus. He had loaded the goods on forty camels. He stood in front of Elisha and said, Your humble servant, King Ben-Hadad of Aram, has sent me to you. He asks whether he will recover from this illness. Elisha replied, Tell him that he will get better, although the Lord has shown me that he is actually going to die. He stared at him until he became embarrassed. Then the man of God began to cry. Sir, why are you crying? Hazael asked. Elisha answered, I know the evil you will do to the Israelites. You will set their fortresses on fire, kill their best young men, smash their little children, and rip open their pregnant women. But Hazael asked, How can a dog like me do such a significant thing? Elisha answered, The Lord has shown me that you will become king of Aram. Hazael left Elisha and went to his master Ben-Hadad, who asked him what Elisha had said. Hazael answered, He told me that you will get better. But the next day Hazael took a blanket, soaked it in water, and smothered the king with it. Hazael ruled as king in his place. Joram, Ahab's son, was in his fifth year as king of Israel when Jehoram, son of King Jehoshaphat of Judah, began to rule. Jehoram ruled while Jehoshaphat was still king of Judah. He was thirty-two years old when he began to rule, and he ruled for eight years in Jerusalem. He followed the ways of the kings of Israel, as Ahab's family had done, because his wife was Ahab's daughter. So he did what the Lord considered evil. But for David's sake, the Lord didn't want to destroy Judah. The Lord had told David that he would always give him and his descendants a shining lamp. During Jehoram's time, Edom rebelled against Judah and chose its own king. Jehoram took all his chariots to attack Zaire. The Edomites and their chariot commanders surrounded him, but he got up at night, broke through their lines, and his troops fled home. So Edom rebelled against Judah's rule and is still independent today. At that time, Libnah also rebelled. Isn't everything else about Jehoram, everything he did, written in the official records of the kings of Judah? Jehoram lay down in death with his ancestors and was buried with them in the city of David. His son Ahaziah succeeded him as king. Joram, Ahab's son, was in his twelfth year as king of Israel when Jehoram's son Ahaziah became king of Judah. Ahaziah was twenty-two years old when he began to rule, and he ruled for one year in Jerusalem. His mother was Athaliah, the granddaughter of King Omri of Israel. 
Ahaziah followed the ways of Ahab's family. He did what the Lord considered evil, as Ahab's family had done, because he was related to Ahab's family by marriage. Ahaziah went with Ahab's son Joram to fight against King Hazael of Aram at Ramoth-Gilead. There the Arameans wounded Joram. King Joram returned to Jezreel to let his wounds heal. He had been wounded by the Arameans at Ramah when he fought against King Hazael of Aram. Then Jehoram's son Ahaziah went to Jezreel to see Ahab's son Joram, who was sick. Second Kings chapter 9 The prophet Elisha called one of the disciples of the prophets. He said, Put on your belt, take this flask of olive oil, and go to Ramoth-Gilead. When you arrive there, look for Jehu, son of Jehoshaphat, and grandson of Nimshi. Go inside, and have him get up and leave his companions. Take him into an inner room. Take the flask of oil, pour it on his head, and say, This is what the Lord says, I have anointed you king of Israel. Then open the door and leave immediately. The young man, the servant of the prophet, went to Ramoth-Gilead. When he arrived there, the army's generals were sitting together. He said, I have something to tell you, general. Jehu asked, Which one of us? He answered, You, general. Jehu got up and went into the house. The prophet poured olive oil on his head and told him, This is what the Lord God of Israel says. I have anointed you king of the Lord's people, king of Israel. You will destroy the family of your master Ahab. I will get revenge on Jezebel for shedding the blood of my servants, the prophets, and all the Lord's other servants. Ahab's entire family will die. I will destroy every male from Ahab's family, whether slave or free man in Israel. I will make Ahab's family like the family of Jeroboam, Nebat's son, and like the family of Baasha, son of Ahijah. Dogs will eat Jezebel inside the walls of Jezreel, and no one will bury her. Then he opened the door and left. Jehu came out to his master's officials. One of them asked him, Is everything all right? Why did this lunatic come to you? He answered, You know the man and the kind of things he says. They said, That's not an answer. Please tell us. Jehu replied, We talked for a while, and he said to me, This is what the Lord says. I have anointed you king of Israel. Then each one of them immediately took off his coat and laid it on the stairs below him. They blew a ram's horn and said, Jehu is king. So Jehu, son of Jehoshaphat, and grandson of Nimshi, plotted against Joram. Joram and all Israel were guarding Ramoth-Gilead against King Hazael of Aram. But King Joram had returned to Jezreel to recover from the wounds he received while fighting King Hazael of Aram. Then Jehu said, If you want me to be king, don't let anyone escape from the city to take the news to Jezreel. So Jehu got on his chariot and drove to Jezreel, because Joram was lying in bed there. King Ahaziah of Judah had come to see Joram. The watchman standing on the tower in Jezreel saw Jehu's troops coming. He said, I see some troops. So Joram said, Take a chariot driver, send him to meet them, and ask, Is everything all right? So a chariot driver rode off, met Jehu, and said, The king asks, Is everything all right? Jehu replied, why should that matter to you? Follow me. So the watchman announced, The messenger you sent has reached them, but he isn't coming back. Then Joram sent out a second driver. When he came to them, he said, The king asks, Is everything all right? Jehu replied, Why should that matter to you? Follow me. So the watchman announced, He has reached them, but he isn't coming back. The troop's leader is driving like a lunatic, like Jehu, grandson of Nimshi. Hitch the horses to the chariot, Joram ordered. 
When that was done, King Joram of Israel and King Ahaziah of Judah went to meet Jehu, each in his own chariot. They found him in the field that belonged to Naboth from Jezreel. When Joram saw Jehu, he asked, Is everything all right, Jehu? Jehu answered, How can everything be all right as long as your mother continues her idolatry and witchcraft? As Joram turned his chariot around and tried to flee, he said to Ahaziah, It's a trap, Ahaziah. But Jehu took his bow and shot Joram between the shoulders. The arrow came out of his chest, and he slumped over in his chariot. Then Jehu said to his attendant Bidkar, Take him away and throw him into the field that belonged to Naboth from Jezreel. Remember when you and I were driving our chariots behind his father Ahab? The Lord revealed this prophecy about him. Just as I saw the blood of Naboth and his sons yesterday, I will pay you back in this field, declares the Lord. Now take him and throw him into the field, as the Lord predicted. When King Ahaziah of Judah saw this, he fled on the road leading to Beth Hagan. Jehu pursued him and ordered, Shoot him down in his chariot. They shot him at Gur Pass, which is near Ibleam. Ahaziah continued to flee until he got to Megiddo, where he died. His servants brought him in a chariot to Jerusalem. They buried him in a tomb with his ancestors in the city of David. Ahaziah had become king of Judah in the eleventh year that Joram, Ahab's son, was king of Israel. When Jehu arrived in Jezreel, Jezebel heard about it. She put on eye shadow, fixed her hair, and looked out of a second-story window. When Jehu entered the gateway, she asked, Is everything all right, Zimri, murderer of your master? Looking up at the window, he asked, Is anyone on my side? Anyone? Then two or three eunuchs looked out at him. He said, Throw her down. They threw her down, and some of her blood splattered on the wall and the horses. The horses trampled her. He went inside, ate and drank. Then he said, Take care of this woman who had a curse on her. After all, she was a king's daughter. But when they went out to bury her, they couldn't find any of her body except her skull, feet, and hands. They came back and told him. Jehu said, The Lord spoke through his servant Elijah from Tishbe. He said, Dogs will eat Jezebel's body inside the walls of Jezreel. Jezebel's corpse will be like manure on the ground in the field surrounding Jezreel, so that no one will be able to say that this is Jezebel. Second Kings chapter 10 Ahab had seventy male heirs in Samaria, so Jehu wrote letters to the officials of Jezreel, the respected leaders, and the guardians of Ahab's descendants in Samaria. The letters read, Your master's heirs are with you, and you have chariots, horses, fortified cities, and weapons. As soon as this letter reaches you, choose the best and most honest of your master's heirs, and put him on Ahab's throne. Fight for your master's family. But they panicked. They said, If two kings couldn't stand up to him, how can we stand up to him? So the official in charge of the palace, the mayor of the city, the respected leaders, and the guardians sent this message to Jehu. We are your servants. We'll do everything you tell us. We won't make anyone king. Do what you think is best. So he wrote them a second letter. It read, If you are on my side and ready to listen to me, bring the heads of your master's heirs to me in Jezreel about this time tomorrow. The seventy male heirs were staying with the city's most powerful men. These men had raised them. When the letter came to the men, they slaughtered all seventy heirs. They put the heads in baskets and sent them to Jehu and Jezreel. A messenger told him, They've brought the heads of the king's heirs. Jehu said, Put them in two piles at the entrance to the gateway until morning. In the morning he stood there. He told the people, 
You are innocent. I plotted against my master and killed him, but who killed all these men? You can be sure that the word of the Lord spoken about Ahab's family will be fulfilled. The Lord will do what he said through his servant Elijah. Jehu also killed every member of Ahab's household who was left in Jezreel, all the most powerful men, friends, and priests. Not one of them was left. Then Jehu left for Samaria. When he came to Bethaked of the shepherds, he found some relatives of King Ahaziah of Judah. Who are you? he asked. They answered, We're Ahaziah's relatives. We've come to greet the families of the king and the queen mother. Jehu ordered, Capture them. Jehu's men captured and slaughtered forty-two of them at a cistern near Bethaked. They didn't leave any survivors. When he left that place, he met Jehonadab, son of Rechab, who was coming to meet him. Jehu greeted him and asked, Are you as loyal to me as I am to you? I am, Jehonadab answered. So Jehu said, If you are, give me your hand. When he gave Jehu his hand, Jehu helped him up into the chariot. Jehu said, Come with me, see how devoted I am to the Lord. So he had Jehonadab ride on his chariot. When they arrived in Samaria, Jehu killed the rest of Ahab's family, every member who was left in Samaria. He wiped them out, as the Lord had told Elijah. Then Jehu brought all the people together. He said, Ahab served Baal a little, but Jehu will serve him a lot. Summon all the prophets, servants, and priests to Baal. Make sure no one is missing, because I have a great sacrifice to offer Baal. Whoever is missing will not live. Jehu was deceiving them. He actually wanted to destroy those who worship Baal. Jehu said, Call a holy assembly to honor Baal. So they did. Jehu sent messengers to all the Israelites. All the worshippers of Baal came, and there wasn't one who didn't come. They went into the temple of Baal and filled it from one end to the other. Then Jehu told the man in charge of the priest's robes, Bring out the robes for all the worshippers of Baal. So he brought out robes for them. Jehu and Jehonadab, son of Rechab, went into the temple of Baal and said to the worshippers of Baal, Make sure that there are no worshippers of the Lord here with you. Only the worshippers of Baal should be here. So they went in to offer sacrifices and burnt offerings. But Jehu had stationed eighty of his men outside. He said to them, If any of the people I am putting in your hands escape, you will pay for their lives with yours. When the burnt offerings had been made, Jehu said to the guards and attendants, Kill them, don't let anyone get away. So they used swords to kill the Baal worshippers, and threw out the bodies until the guards and attendants came to the stronghold in the temple of Baal. Then they brought out the large sacred stone of the temple of Baal and burned it. They destroyed the sacred stone of Baal and the temple of Baal and made it into a latrine. It is still a latrine today. So Jehu got rid of Baal worship throughout Israel. But Jehu did not turn away from the sins that Jeroboam Nebat's son led Israel to commit, the worship of the golden calves that were at Bethel and Dan. The Lord said to Jehu, You did what I consider right, and you did it well. You did everything I wanted done to Ahab's family. That is why four generations of your descendants will sit on the throne of Israel. But Jehu didn't wholeheartedly obey the teachings of the Lord God of Israel. He didn't turn away from the sins that Jeroboam led Israel to commit. So in those days the Lord began to take away some of Israel's territory. Hazael defeated Jehu's army throughout Israel's territory east of the Jordan River the entire region of Gilead, the territory belonging to Gad, Reuben, and Manasseh, from Aroer, which is near the Arnon River, to Gilead and Bashan. Isn't everything else about Jehu 
everything he did, all his heroic acts, written in the official records of the kings of Israel, Jehu lay down in death with his ancestors and was buried in Samaria. His son Jehoahaz succeeded him as king. Jehu ruled as king of Israel in Samaria for twenty-eight years. Second Kings chapter 11 When Ahaziah's mother, Athaliah, saw that her son was dead, she began to destroy the entire royal family. But Jehoshaphat, daughter of King Jehoram and sister of Ahaziah, took Ahaziah's son Joash. She saved him from being killed with the king's other sons, and in a bedroom she hid him and his nurse from Athaliah. So Joash wasn't killed, but was hidden with her in the Lord's temple for six years, while Athaliah ruled the country. In the seventh year of Athaliah's reign, Jehoiada sent for the company commanders of the Karites and the guards, and had them come to him in the Lord's temple. He made an agreement with them, put them under oath in the Lord's temple, and showed them the king's son. He ordered them, This is what you must do. One-third of you, those who are on duty on the day of worship, must guard the royal palace. Another third must be at Sur Gate, and another third must be at the gate behind the guards. You will guard the king's residence. Then your two groups who normally go off duty on the day of worship must guard the king at the Lord's temple. Surround the king. Each man should have his weapons in his hand. Kill anyone who tries to break through your ranks. Stay with the king wherever he goes. The company commanders did as the priest Jehoiada had ordered them, each commander took his men who were coming on duty on the day of worship, as well as those who were about to go off duty, and came to the priest Jehoiada. He gave the commanders the spears and the shields that had belonged to King David, but were now in the Lord's temple. The guards stood with their weapons in their hands. They were stationed around the king and around the altar and the temple, from the south side to the north side of the temple. Then Jehoiada brought out the king's son, gave him the crown and the religious instructions, and made him king by anointing him. As the guards clapped their hands, they said, Long live the king! When Athaliah heard the noise made by the guards and the other people, she went into the Lord's temple where the people were. She looked, and the king was standing by the pillar according to custom. The commanders and the trumpeters were by his side. All the people of the land were rejoicing and blowing trumpets. As Athaliah tore her clothes in distress, she cried, Treason! Treason! Then the priest Jehoiada ordered the company commanders who were in charge of the army, Take her out of the temple. Use your sword to kill anyone who follows her. The priest had said, She must not be killed in the Lord's temple. So they arrested her as she came to the street where the horses entered the royal palace, and there she was killed. Jehoiada made a promise to the Lord on behalf of the king and his people that they would be the Lord's people. He made other promises between the king and the people. Then all the people of the land went to the temple of Baal and tore it down. They smashed Baal's altars and his statues and killed Matan, the priest of Baal, in front of the altars. Next the priest appointed officials to be in charge of the Lord's temple. He took the company commanders of the Karites and the guards and all the people of the land, and they brought the king from the Lord's temple. They went down the street that goes through guard's gate to the royal palace. Then Joash sat on the royal throne. All the people of the land were celebrating, but the city was quiet because they had killed Athaliah with a sword at the royal palace. Joash was seven years old when he began to rule. Second Kings chapter 12. Joash began to rule in Jehu's seventh year as king of Israel, and he ruled for forty years in Jerusalem. His mother was Zibiah from Beersheba. Joash did what the Lord considered right as long as the priest Jehoiada instructed him. 
But the illegal places of worship weren't torn down. The people continued to offer sacrifices and burn incense at these worship sites. Joash told the priests, Collect all the holy contributions that are brought into the Lord's temple, the money each person is currently required to bring, and all the money brought voluntarily to the Lord's temple. Each of the priests should receive it from the donors and use it to make repairs on the temple where they are needed. But by Joash's twenty-third year as king, the priests still had not repaired the temple. So King Joash called for Jehoiada and the other priests and asked them, Why aren't you repairing the damage in the temple? Don't take any more money from the donors for your own use. Instead, use it to make repairs on the temple. The priests agreed neither to receive money from the people for personal use, nor to be responsible for repairing the temple. Then the priest Jehoiada took a box, drilled a hole in its lid, and put it at the right side of the altar as one comes into the Lord's temple. The priests who guarded the entrance put the money that was brought to the Lord's temple in the box. Whenever they saw a lot of money in the box, the king's scribe and the chief priest would collect and count the money that was donated in the Lord's temple. Then they would give the money that had been weighed to the men who had been appointed to work on the Lord's temple. They used it to pay the carpenters, builders, masons, and stone cutters. They also used it to buy wood and cut stones to make repairs on the Lord's temple and to buy anything else that they needed for the temple repairs. But no silver bowls, snuffers, dishes, trumpets, or any other gold and silver utensils were made for the Lord's temple with the money that was brought. Instead, the money was given to the workmen, and they used it to repair the temple. They didn't require the men who were entrusted with the money for the workers to give an account, because they were honest people. The money from the guilt offerings and the offerings for sin was not brought into the Lord's temple. It belonged to the priests. At this time, King Hazael of Aram fought against Gath and conquered it. He was also determined to attack Jerusalem. So King Joash of Judah took all the gifts his ancestors, kings Jehoshaphat, Jehoram, and Ahaziah of Judah, had dedicated to the Lord, the things he had dedicated to the Lord, and all the gold that could be found in the storerooms of the Lord's temple and the royal palace. He sent these things to King Hazael of Aram, who called off the attack on Jerusalem. Isn't everything else about Joash, everything he did, written in the official records of the kings of Judah? His own officials plotted against him and killed him at Beth Milo, on the road that goes down to Selah. Joash's officials, Josachar, son of Shimeath, and Jehozabad, son of Shomer, executed him. They buried him with his ancestors in the city of David. His son Amaziah succeeded him as king. Second Kings, chapter 13. Ahaziah's son, King Joash of Judah, was in his twenty-third year as king of Judah when Jehoahaz, son of Jehu, began to rule in Samaria as king of Israel. He ruled for seventeen years. He did what the Lord considered evil. He continued to commit the sins that Jeroboam, Nebat's son, led Israel to commit. He never gave up committing those sins. So the Lord became angry with Israel and put it at the mercy of King Hazael of Aram and Hazael's son, Benahadad, as long as they lived. Then Jehoahaz pleaded with the Lord, and the Lord heard him, because he saw how the Aramean king was oppressing Israel. So the Lord gave the Israelites someone to save them, and they were freed from Aram's power. They were able to live in their homes again as they had done before. But they didn't turn away from the sins that Jeroboam and his dynasty led Israel to commit. They continued to commit those sins. In addition, the pole dedicated to the goddess Asherah remained standing in Samaria. 
Jehoahaz had no army left except for fifty horses, ten chariots, and ten thousand foot soldiers, because the king of Aram had destroyed the rest. He had made them like dust that people trample. Isn't everything else about Jehoahaz, everything he did, his heroic acts, written in the official records of the kings of Israel? Jehoahaz lay down in death with his ancestors, and was buried in Samaria. His son Jehoash ruled as king in his place. In Joash's thirty-seventh year as king of Judah, Jehoahaz's son Jehoash began to rule Israel and Samaria. He ruled for sixteen years. He did what the Lord considered evil, and never gave up committing the sins that Jeroboam led Israel to commit. He continued to commit them. Isn't everything else about Jehoash, everything he did, his heroic acts when he fought against King Amaziah of Judah, written in the official records of the kings of Israel? Jehoash lay down in death with his ancestors, and was buried with the kings of Israel in Samaria. Then Jeroboam claimed the throne. Elisha became fatally ill. King Jehoash of Israel visited him, cried over him, and said, Master, Master, Israel's chariot and horses. Elisha told him, Get a bow and some arrows. So he got a bow and some arrows. Then Elisha told the king of Israel, Take the bow in your hand. So the king picked up the bow. Elisha laid his hands on the king's hands. Elisha said, Open the window that faces east. So the king opened it. Shoot, Elisha said, and the king shot. Then Elisha said, That is the arrow of the Lord's victory, the arrow of victory against Aram. You will completely defeat the Arameans at Aphek. Then Elisha said, Take the arrows. So the king took them. Stomp on them. He told the king of Israel. The king stomped three times and stopped. Then the man of God became angry with him. You should have stomped five or six times, he said. Then you would have completely defeated the Arameans. But now you will only defeat the Arameans three times. Elisha died and was buried. Moabite raiding parties used to invade the country in the spring. One day some people who were burying a man saw one of these raiding parties. So they quickly put the man into Elisha's tomb. But when the body touched Elisha's bones, the man came back to life and stood up. King Hazael of Aram oppressed Israel as long as Jehoahaz ruled. But the Lord was kind and merciful to the Israelites because of his promise to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. He didn't want to destroy the Israelites, and even now he hasn't turned away from them. King Hazael of Aram died, and his son Ben-Hadad succeeded him as king. Then Jehoash, son of Jehoahaz, reconquered the cities that Ben-Hadad had taken from his father Jehoahaz. Jehoash defeated Ben-Hadad three times and recovered those cities of Israel. Second Kings chapter 14. Jehoahaz's son, King Jehoash, was in his second year as king of Israel when King Amaziah, son of Joash of Judah, began to rule. Amaziah was twenty-five years old when he began to rule, and he ruled for twenty-nine years in Jerusalem. His mother was Jehoadin from Jerusalem. He did what the Lord considered right, but not exactly what his ancestor David had done. He did everything his father Joash had done. But the illegal places of worship were still not torn down. The people continued to offer sacrifices and burn incense at these worship sites. As soon as he had a firm control over the kingdom, he executed the officials who had killed his father, the former king. But he didn't execute their children. He obeyed the Lord's command written in the book of Moses' teachings. Parents must never be put to death for the crimes of their children, and children must never be put to death for the crimes of their parents. Each person must be put to death for his own crime.
Amaziah killed 10,000 Edomites in the Dead Sea region and took the city of Selah in battle. He gave it the name Jokthil, which is still its name today. Then Amaziah sent messengers to King Jehoash, son of Jehoahaz, and grandson of Jehu of Israel, to declare war on Israel. King Jehoash of Israel sent this message to King Amaziah of Judah. A thistle in Lebanon sent a message to a cedar in Lebanon. It said, Let your daughter marry my son. But a wild animal from Lebanon came along and trampled the thistle. You certainly defeated Edom, and now you have become arrogant. Enjoy your fame, but stay home. Why must you invite disaster and your own defeat and take Judah with you? But Amaziah wouldn't listen, so King Jehoash of Israel attacked, and King Amaziah of Judah met him in battle at Beth Shemesh in Judah. Israel defeated the army of Judah, and the Judeans fled to their homes. King Jehoash of Israel captured King Amaziah, son of Joash, and grandson of Ahaziah of Judah, at Beth Shemesh, and went to Jerusalem. He tore down a six-hundred-foot section of the wall around Jerusalem from Ephraim Gate to Corner Gate. He took all the gold, silver, and all the utensils he found in the Lord's temple and in the royal palace treasury. He also took hostages. Then he returned to Samaria. Isn't everything else about Jehoash, what he did, his heroic acts when he fought against King Amaziah of Judah, written in the official records of the kings of Israel? Jehoash lay down in death with his ancestors and was buried with the kings of Israel in Samaria. His son Jeroboam succeeded him as king. Joash's son, King Amaziah of Judah, lived fifteen years after the death of Jehoahaz's son, King Jehoash of Israel. Isn't everything else about Amaziah written in the official records of the kings of Judah? Conspirators in Jerusalem plotted against him, so he fled to Lachish. But they sent men to Lachish after him and killed him there. They brought him back by horse, and he was buried in Jerusalem, in the city of David, with his ancestors. All the people of Judah took Azariah, who was sixteen years old, and made him king in place of his father Amaziah. Azariah rebuilt Elath and returned it to Judah after King Amaziah lay down in death with his ancestors. Joash's son Amaziah was in his fifteenth year as king of Judah when Jehoash's son King Jeroboam of Israel began to rule in Samaria. Jeroboam ruled for forty-one years. He did what the Lord considered evil. He didn't turn away from any of the sins that Jeroboam, Nebat's son, led Israel to commit. He restored Israel's boundaries from the border of Hamath to the Dead Sea, as the Lord God of Israel predicted through his servant Jonah, the prophet from Gath-Hefer, and the son of Amittai. The Lord did this because he saw how bitterly everyone in Israel was suffering. No slave or free person could help Israel. Since the Lord had said he was not going to wipe out Israel's name completely, he saved them through Jeroboam, son of Jehoash. Isn't everything else about Jeroboam, everything he did, his heroic acts when he fought, how he recovered Damascus and Hamath for Israel, written in the official records of the kings of Israel? Jeroboam lay down in death with his ancestors, the kings of Israel. His son Zechariah succeeded him as king. Second Kings, chapter 15. In Jeroboam's twenty-seventh year as king of Israel, Amaziah's son Azariah began to rule as king of Judah. He was sixteen years old when he began to rule, and he ruled for fifty-two years in Jerusalem. His mother was Jecoliah from Jerusalem. He did what the Lord considered right, as his father Amaziah had done. But the illegal places of worship were still not torn down. The people continued to offer sacrifices and burn incense at these worship sites. 
The Lord inflicted the king with a skin disease that lasted until the day the king died. So the king lived in a separate house. The king's son, Jotham, was in charge of the palace and governed the country. Isn't everything else about Azariah, everything he did, written in the official records of the kings of Judah? Azariah lay down in death with his ancestors and was buried with them in the city of David. His son Jotham succeeded him as king. In Azariah's thirty-eighth year as king of Judah, Jeroboam's son Zechariah was king of Israel and Samaria for six months. He did what the Lord considered evil, as his ancestors had done. He didn't turn away from the sins that Jeroboam, Nebat's son, led Israel to commit. Shalom, son of Jabesh, plotted against Zechariah, attacked him at Kabal-am, killed him, and succeeded him as king. Everything else about Zechariah is written in the official records of the kings of Israel. It happened exactly as the Lord had told Jehu, Four generations of your descendants will sit on the throne of Israel. Shalom, son of Jabesh, became king in Azariah's thirty-ninth year as king of Judah. Shalom ruled for an entire month in Samaria. Then Menahem, son of Gadi, came from Tirzah to Samaria, attacked Shalom, son of Jabesh, killed him, and succeeded him as king. Everything else about Shalom, all about his conspiracy, is written in the official records of the kings of Israel. Then Menahem attacked Tiphsah, everyone there, and its territory, because the city didn't open its gate for him. He attacked it and ripped open all its pregnant women. In Azariah's thirty-ninth year as king of Judah, Menahem, son of Gadi, began to rule as king of Israel. He ruled for ten years in Samaria. He did what the Lord considered evil. During his entire life he never turned away from the sins that Jeroboam, Nebat's son, led Israel to commit. King Pool of Assyria came to attack the country. So Menahem gave Pool seventy-five thousand pounds of silver to gain his support and help strengthen his hold on the kingdom. Menachem raised the money from all the wealthy men in Israel. Each gave twenty ounces of silver for the king of Assyria. Then the king of Assyria left the country. Isn't everything else about Menachem, everything he did, written in the official records of the kings of Israel? Menachem lay down in death with his ancestors, and his son Pekahiah succeeded him as king. In Azariah's fiftieth year as king of Judah, Menachem's son Pekahiah began to rule. Pekahiah was king of Israel and Samaria for two years. He did what the Lord considered evil. He didn't turn away from the sins that Jeroboam, Nebat's son, led Israel to commit. His officer, Pekah, son of Remaliah, plotted against him. With fifty men from Gilead, Pekah attacked Pekahiah, Argob, and Arieh in the fortress of the royal palace in Samaria. Pekah killed him and succeeded him as king. Everything else about Pekahiah, everything he did, is written in the official records of the kings of Israel. In Azariah's fifty-second year as king of Judah, Pekah, son of Remaliah, began to rule Israel and Samaria. He ruled for twenty years. He did what the Lord considered evil. He did not turn away from the sins that Jeroboam, Nebat's son, led Israel to commit. In the days of King Pekah of Israel, King Tiglath, Pileser of Assyria, took Ejon, Abel Beth Maacah, Janoa, Kadesh, Hazor, Gilead, Galilee, and the entire territory of Naphtali. He also took the people away to Assyria as captives. Hoshea, son of Elah, plotted against Pekah, son of Remaliah. Hoshea attacked him and killed him. Hoshea began to rule as king in his place in the twentieth year that Jotham, son of Azariah, was king of Judah. 
Everything else about Pekah, everything he did, is written in the official records of the kings of Israel. In the second year that King Pekah, son of Remaliah, ruled Israel, Jotham, son of Azariah, began to rule as king of Judah. He was twenty-five years old when he began to rule. He ruled for sixteen years in Jerusalem. His mother was Jerusha, daughter of Zadok. He did what the Lord considered right, as his father Azariah had done. But the illegal places of worship were not torn down. The people continued to offer sacrifices and burn incense at these worship sites. Jotham built the upper gate of the Lord's temple. Isn't everything else about Jotham, everything he did, written in the official records of the kings of Judah? In those days the Lord began to use King Rezin of Aram and Pekah son of Remaliah to attack Judah. Jotham lay down in death with his ancestors, and was buried with them in the city of his ancestor David. His son Ahaz succeeded him as king. Second Kings chapter 16 Pekah son of Remaliah was in his seventeenth year as king of Israel, when King Ahaz son of Jotham began to rule as king of Judah. Ahaz was twenty years old when he began to rule. He ruled for twenty-six years in Jerusalem. He didn't do what the Lord his God considered right, as his ancestor David had done. He followed the example of the kings of Israel, and even sacrificed his son by burning him alive. Sacrificing children was one of the disgusting things done by the nations that the Lord had forced out of the Israelites' way. He offered sacrifices and burned incense as an offering at the illegal worship sites, which were on hills and under every large tree. Then King Rezin of Aram and King Pekah, son of Remaliah of Israel, came to wage war against Jerusalem. They blockaded Ahaz, but couldn't get him to fight. At that time King Rezin of Aram drove the Judeans out of Elath and gave it back to Edom. The Edomites came to Elath and still live there today. Ahaz sent messengers to King Tiglath-Pileser of Assyria to say, I'm your servant, your son. Come and save me from the kings of Aram and Israel who are attacking me. Ahaz took the silver and gold he found in the Lord's temple and in the treasury in the royal palace and sent them to the king of Assyria as a present. The king of Assyria listened to him and attacked Damascus. He captured it, took the people to Kir as captives, and killed Rezin. Then King Ahaz went to Damascus to meet King Tiglath-Pileser of Assyria. He saw an altar there in Damascus. So King Ahaz sent the priest Urijah a model of the altar and a set of detailed plans. Urijah built an altar exactly like the model King Ahaz sent from Damascus. He finished it before Ahaz returned home from Damascus. When the king came from Damascus, he saw the altar. The king approached the altar and went up to it. He sacrificed his burnt offering and grain offering, poured out his wine offering, and sprinkled the blood of his fellowship offering on the altar. But he moved the bronze altar dedicated to the Lord. It had been in front of the temple between his altar and the Lord's temple. Ahaz put it on the north side of his altar. King Ahaz gave this command to the priest Urijah. On this great altar you must burn the morning burnt offerings and the evening grain offering, the king's burnt offerings and grain offerings, and the burnt offerings, grain offerings, and wine offerings of all the people of the land. Sprinkle all the blood of the burnt offerings and other sacrifices on it. I will use the bronze altar for prayer. The priest Urijah did what King Ahaz had commanded. King Ahaz cut off the side panels of the bronze stands used in the temple and removed the basin from each of them. He took the bronze pool down from the bronze bulls that were under it and set it on a stone base. Ahaz removed the covered walkway used on the day of worship. This walkway had been built in the temple. 
He also removed the outer entrance for the king from the Lord's temple. He did this to please the king of Assyria. Isn't everything else about Ahaz, the things he did, written in the official records of the kings of Judah? Ahaz lay down in death with his ancestors, and was buried with them in the city of David. His son, Hezekiah, succeeded him as king. Second Kings, chapter 17. In Ahaz's twelfth year as king of Judah, Hoshea, son of Elah, began to rule as king of Israel in Samaria. He ruled for nine years. He did what the Lord considered evil, but he didn't do what the kings of Israel before him had done. King Shalmaneser of Assyria defeated Hoshea, who became his servant and was required to make annual payments to him. The king of Assyria found Hoshea to be a traitor. Hoshea had sent messengers to King Deus of Egypt and had stopped making annual payments to the king of Assyria. So the king of Assyria arrested him and put him in prison. Then the king of Assyria attacked the entire country. He attacked Samaria and blockaded it for three years. In Hoshea's ninth year as king of Israel, the king of Assyria captured Samaria and took the Israelites to Assyria as captives. He settled them in Hala, along the Habor River in Gozan, and in the cities of the Medes. The Israelites sinned against the Lord their God, who brought them out of Egypt and rescued them from the power of Pharaoh, the king of Egypt. They worshipped other gods and lived by the customs of the nations that the Lord had forced out of the Israelites' way. They also did what their kings wanted them to do. The Israelites secretly did things against the Lord their God that weren't right. They built for themselves illegal places of worship in all of their cities, from the smallest watchtower to the largest fortified city. They set up sacred stones and poles dedicated to the goddess Asherah on every high hill and under every large tree. At all the illegal places of worship, they sacrificed in the same way as the nations that the Lord had removed from the land ahead of them. They did evil things and made the Lord furious. They served idols, although the Lord had said, Never do this. The Lord had warned Israel and Judah through every kind of prophet and seer, Turn from your evil ways, and obey my commands and decrees, as I commanded your ancestors in all my teachings, the commands I sent you through my servants the prophets. But they refused to listen. They became as impossible to deal with as their ancestors who refused to trust the Lord their God. They rejected his decrees, the promise he made to their ancestors, and the warnings he had given them. They went after worthless idols and became as worthless as the idols. They behaved like the nations around them, although the Lord had commanded them not to do that. They abandoned all the commands of the Lord their God. They made two calves out of cast metal. They made a pole dedicated to the goddess Asherah. They prayed to the entire army of heaven. They worshipped Baal. They sacrificed their sons and daughters by burning them alive. They practiced black magic and cast evil spells. They sold themselves by doing what the Lord considered evil, and they made him furious. The Lord became so angry with Israel that he removed them from his sight. Only the tribe of Judah was left. Even Judah didn't obey the commands of the Lord their God, but lived according to Israel's customs. So the Lord rejected all of Israel's descendants, made them suffer, handed them over to those who looted their property, and finally turned away from Israel. When he tore Israel away from the family of David, the people of Israel made Jeroboam Nebat's son king. Jeroboam forced Israel away from the Lord and led them to commit a serious sin. The Israelites followed all the sins Jeroboam committed and never turned away from them. Finally the Lord turned away from Israel, as he had said he would through all his servants, the prophets. 
So the people of Israel were taken from their land to Assyria as captives, and they are still there today. The king of Assyria brought people from Babylon, Kutha, Ava, Hamath, and Sepharvaim, and settled them in the cities of Samaria in place of the Israelites. They took over Samaria and lived in its cities. When they first came to live there, they didn't worship the Lord. So the Lord sent lions to kill some of them. Then someone said to the king of Assyria, The people you took as captives and settled in the cities of Samaria don't know the customs of the God of that country. So he sent lions. Now the lions are killing them because they don't know the customs of the God of this country. The king of Assyria gave this command, Bring one of the priests you captured from there. Let him go back to teach them the customs of the God of that country. So one of the priests who had been taken prisoner from Samaria went to live in Bethel. He taught them how to worship the Lord. But each group that settled in Samaria continued to make its own gods. They put them at the illegal places of worship, which the people of Samaria had made. Each group did this in the cities where they lived. The people from Babylon made Succoth benoth The people from Kuth made Nergal. The people from Hamath made Ashima. The people from Ava made Nibhaz and Tartak. The people from Sepharvaim burned their children for Adramelech and Anamelech, the gods of Sepharvaim. So while these people were worshipping the Lord, they also appointed all kinds of people to serve as priests for the shrines at their illegal places of worship. They worshipped the Lord, but also served their own gods according to the customs of the nations from which they had come. Today they are still following their customs, as they've done from the beginning. They don't fear the Lord or live by the decrees, customs, teachings, or commands that the Lord gave to the descendants of Jacob, whom he named Israel. When the Lord made a promise to Israel, he commanded, Never worship other gods, bow down to them, serve them, or sacrifice to them. Instead, worship the Lord, who used his great power and a mighty arm to bring you out of Egypt. Bow down to the Lord and sacrifice to Him. Faithfully obey the laws, rules, teachings, and commands that He wrote for you. Never worship other gods. Never forget the promise I made to you. Never worship other gods. Instead, worship the Lord your God, and He will rescue you from your enemies. The people of Israel had refused to listen and made up their own rules, as they had done from the beginning. These other nations worshipped the Lord, but also served their own idols. So did their children and their grandchildren. They still do whatever their ancestors did. Second Kings chapter 18 King Oshea, son of Elah, had been king in Israel for three years when King Hezekiah, son of Ahaz of Judah, began to rule as king. Hezekiah was twenty-five years old when he began to rule, and he ruled for twenty-nine years in Jerusalem. His mother was Abi, daughter of Zechariah. He did what the Lord considered right, as his ancestor David had done. He got rid of the illegal places of worship, crushed the sacred stones, and cut down the poles dedicated to the goddess Asherah. He even crushed the bronze snake that Moses had made because, up to that time, the Israelites had been burning incense to it. They called it Nehushtan. Hezekiah trusted the Lord God of Israel. No king among all the kings of Judah was like Hezekiah. He was loyal to the Lord and never turned away from him. He obeyed the commands that the Lord had given through Moses. So the Lord was with him. He succeeded in everything he tried. He rebelled against the king of Assyria and wouldn't serve him any more. He conquered the Philistines from the smallest watchtower to the largest fortified city, all the way to Gaza and its territory.
In Hezekiah's fourth year as king, which was the seventh year in the reign of King Hoshea, son of Elah of Israel, King Shalmaneser of Assyria attacked Samaria, blockaded it, and captured it at the end of three years. Samaria was taken in Hezekiah's sixth year as king, which was Hoshea's ninth year as king of Israel. The king of Assyria took the Israelites to Assyria as captives. He put them in Hala, along the Habor River in Gozan, and in the cities of the Medes. This happened because they refused to obey the Lord their God, and disregarded the conditions of the promise he made to them. They refused to obey everything that Moses, the Lord's servant, had commanded. In Hezekiah's fourteenth year as king, King Sennacherib of Assyria attacked all the fortified cities of Judah and captured them. Then King Hezekiah of Judah sent this message to the king of Assyria at Lachish. I have done wrong. Go away and leave me alone. I'll pay whatever penalty you give me. So the king of Assyria demanded that King Hezekiah of Judah pay 22,500 pounds of silver and 2,250 pounds of gold. Hezekiah gave him all the silver that could be found in the Lord's temple and in the royal palace treasury. At that time Hezekiah stripped the gold off the doors and doorposts of the Lord's temple. Earlier Hezekiah had them covered with gold. He gave the gold to the king of Assyria. Then the king of Assyria sent his commander-in-chief, his quartermaster, and his field commander with a large army from Lachish to King Hezekiah at Jerusalem. They came there and stood at the channel for the upper pool on the road to the laundryman's field. When they called for King Hezekiah, Eliakim, who was in charge of the palace, and was the son of Hilkiah, Shebna the scribe, and Joah, who was the royal historian, and the son of Asaph, went out to the field commander. He said to them, Tell Hezekiah, this is what the great king, the king of Assyria, says. What makes you so confident? You give useless advice about getting ready for war. Whom then do you trust for support in your rebellion against me? Now look, when you trust Egypt, you're trusting a broken stick for a staff. If you lean on it, it stabs your hand and goes through it. This is what Pharaoh, the king of Egypt, is like for everyone who trusts him. Suppose you tell me we're trusting the Lord our God. He's the God whose places of worship and altars Hezekiah got rid of. He told Judah and Jerusalem, Worship at this altar in Jerusalem. Now make a deal with my master, the king of Assyria. I'll give you two thousand horses if you can put riders on them. How can you defeat my master's lowest-ranking officers when you trust Egypt for chariots and horses? Have I come to destroy this place without the Lord on my side? The Lord said to me, Attack this country and destroy it. Then Eliakim, son of Hilkiah, Shebna, and Joah said to the field commander, Speak to us in Aramaic, since we understand it. Don't speak to us in the Judean language as long as there are people on the wall listening. But the field commander asked them, did my master send me to tell these things only to you and your master? Didn't he send me to the men sitting on the wall who will have to eat their own excrement and drink their own urine with you? Then the field commander stood and shouted loudly in the Judean language, Listen to the great king, the king of Assyria. This is what the king says. Don't let Hezekiah deceive you. He can't rescue you from me. Don't let Hezekiah get you to trust the Lord by saying, The Lord will certainly rescue us and this city will not be put under the control of the king of Assyria. Don't listen to Hezekiah, because this is what the king of Assyria says. Make peace with me. Come out and give yourselves up to me. 
Everyone will eat from his own grapevine and fig tree and drink from his own cistern. Then I will come and take you away to a country like your own. It's a country with grain and new wine, a country with bread and vineyards, a country with olive trees, olive oil, and honey. Live, don't die. Don't listen to Hezekiah when he tries to mislead you by saying to you, The Lord will rescue us. Did any of the gods of the nations rescue their countries from the king of Assyria? Where are the gods of Hamath and Arpad? Where are the gods of Sepharvaim, Hena, and Eva? Did they rescue Samaria from my control? Did the gods of those countries rescue them from my control? Could the Lord then rescue Jerusalem from my control? But the people were silent and didn't say anything to him because the king commanded them not to answer him. Then Eliakim, who was in charge of the palace and was the son of Hilkiah, Shebna the scribe, and Joah, who was the royal historian and the son of Asaph, went to Hezekiah with their clothes torn in grief. They told him the message from the field commander. Second Kings, chapter 19. When King Hezekiah heard the message, he tore his clothes in grief, covered himself with sackcloth, and went into the Lord's temple. Then he sent Eliakim, who was in charge of the palace, Shevna the scribe, and the leaders of the priests, clothed in sackcloth, to the prophet Isaiah, son of Amos. They said to him, This is what Hezekiah says, Today is a day filled with misery, punishment, and disgrace. We are like a woman who is about to give birth, but doesn't have the strength to do it. The Lord your God may have heard all the words of the field commander. His master, the king of Assyria, sent him to defy the living God. The Lord your God may punish him because of the message that the Lord your God heard. Pray for the few people who are left. So King Hezekiah's men went to Isaiah. Isaiah answered them, Say this to your master. This is what the Lord says. Don't be afraid of the message that you heard when the Assyrian king's assistant slandered me. I'm going to put a spirit in him so that he will hear a rumor and return to his own country. I'll have him assassinated in his own country. The field commander returned and found the king of Assyria fighting against Libna. He had heard that the king left Lachish. Now Sennacherib heard that King Tirhaka of Sudan was coming to fight him. Sennacherib sent messengers to Hezekiah, saying, Tell King Hezekiah of Judah, don't let the God whom you trust deceive you by saying that Jerusalem will not be put under the control of the king of Assyria. You heard what the kings of Assyria did to all countries, how they totally destroyed them. Will you be rescued? Did the gods of the nations which my ancestors destroyed rescue Gozan, Haran, Rezef, and the people of Eden who were in Telezar? Where is the king of Hamath, the king of Arpad, and the king of the cities of Sephavaim, Hena, and Eva? Hezekiah took the letters from the messengers, read them, and went to the Lord's temple. He spread them out in front of the Lord and prayed to the Lord, Lord of armies, God of Israel, you are enthroned over the angels. You alone are God of all the kingdoms of the world. You made heaven and earth. Turn your ear toward me, Lord, and listen. Open your eyes, Lord, and see. Listen to the message that Sennacherib sent to defy the living God. It is true, Lord, that the kings of Assyria have leveled nations. They have thrown the gods from these countries into fires because these gods aren't real gods. They're only wooden and stone statues made by human hands. So the Assyrians have destroyed them. Now, Lord our God, rescue us from Assyria's control so that all the kingdoms on earth will know that you alone are the Lord God. Then Isaiah, son of Amos, sent a message to Hezekiah. This is what the Lord God of Israel says. You prayed to me about King Sennacherib of Assyria. I have heard you. This is the message that the Lord speaks to him. 
My dear people in Zion despise you and laugh at you. My people in Jerusalem shake their heads behind your back. Whom are you defying and slandering? Against whom are you shouting? Who are you looking at so arrogantly? It is the Holy One of Israel. Through your servants you defy the Lord and say, With my many chariots I'll ride up the high mountains, up the slopes of Lebanon. I'll cut down its tallest cedars and its finest cypresses. I'll come to its most distant borders and its most fertile forests. I'll dig wells and drink foreign water. I'll dry up all the streams of Egypt with the trampling of my feet. Haven't you heard? I did this long ago. I planned it in the distant past. Now I make it happen so that you will turn fortified cities into piles of rubble. Those who live in these cities are weak, discouraged, and ashamed. They will be like plants in the field, like fresh green grass on the roofs, scorched before it sprouted. I know when you get up and sit down, when you go out and come in, and how you rage against me. Since you rage against me and your boasting has reached my ears, I will put my hook in your nose and my bridle in your mouth. I will make you go back the way you came. And this will be a sign for you, Hezekiah. You will eat what grows by itself this year and next year. But in the third year you will plant and harvest, plant vineyards, and eat what is produced. Those few people from the nation of Judah who escape will again take root and produce crops. Those few people will go out from Jerusalem, and those who escape will go out of Mount Zion. The Lord is determined to do this. This is what the Lord says about the king of Assyria. He will never come into this city, shoot an arrow here, hold a shield in front of it, or put up dirt ramps to attack it. He will go back the way he came, and he won't come into this city, declares the Lord of armies. I will shield this city to rescue it for my sake and for the sake of my servant David. It happened that night. The Lord's angel went out and killed 185,000 soldiers in the Assyrian camp. When the Judeans got up early in the morning, they saw all the corpses. Then King Sennacherib of Assyria left. He went home to Nineveh and stayed there. While he was worshipping in the temple of his god Nisroch, Adramalek and Sherezer assassinated him and escaped to the land of Ararat. His son Esarhaddon succeeded him as king. Second Kings chapter 20 In those days Hezekiah became sick and was about to die. The prophet Isaiah, son of Amos, came to him and said, This is what the Lord says. Give final instructions to your household, because you're about to die. You won't get well. Hezekiah turned to the wall and prayed to the Lord, Please, Lord, remember how I've lived faithfully and sincerely in your presence. I've done what you consider right. And he cried bitterly. Isaiah hadn't gone as far as the middle courtyard when the Lord spoke his word to him. Go back and say to Hezekiah, leader of my people, This is what the Lord God of your ancestor David says. I've heard your prayer. I've seen your tears. Now I'm going to heal you. The day after tomorrow you will go to the Lord's temple. I'll give you fifteen more years to live. I'll rescue you and defend this city from the control of the king of Assyria for my sake and for the sake of my servant David. Then Isaiah said, Get a fig cake and put it on the boil so that the king will get well. Hezekiah asked Isaiah, What is the sign that the Lord will heal me, and that I'll go to the Lord's temple the day after tomorrow? Isaiah said, This is your sign from the Lord that he will do what he promises. Do you want the shadow to go forward ten steps, or come back ten steps? Hezekiah replied, It's easy for the shadow to extend ten more steps forward. No, let it come back ten steps. 
Then the prophet Isaiah called on the Lord, and the Lord made the shadow that had gone down on Ahaz's stairway go back up ten steps. At that time Baladan's son, King Merodach, Baladan of Babylon, sent letters and a present to Hezekiah because he heard that Hezekiah had been sick. Hezekiah was so happy with them that he showed the messengers his warehouse, the silver, gold, balsam, and olive oil, his entire armory, and everything in his treasury. Hezekiah showed them everything in his palace and every corner of his kingdom. Then the prophet Isaiah came to King Hezekiah and asked, What did these men say, and where did they come from? Hezekiah answered, They came to me from the distant country of Babylon. Isaiah asked, What did they see in your palace? Hezekiah answered, They saw everything in my palace, and I showed them everything in my treasury. Isaiah said to Hezekiah, Hear the word of the Lord. The Lord says the days are going to come when everything in your palace, everything your ancestors have stored up to this day, will be taken away to Babylon. Nothing will be left. Some of your own descendants will be taken away. They will become officials in the palace of the king of Babylon. Hezekiah said to Isaiah, The Lord's word that you have spoken is good. He added, Isn't it enough if there is peace and security as long as I live? Isn't everything else about Hezekiah, all his heroic acts, and how he made the pool and tunnel to bring water into the city, written in the official records of the kings of Judah? Hezekiah lay down in death with his ancestors. His son Manasseh succeeded him as king. Second Kings, chapter 21. Manasseh was twelve years old when he began to rule, and he ruled for fifty-five years in Jerusalem. His mother's name was Hephzibah. He did what the Lord considered evil by copying the disgusting things done by the nations that the Lord had forced out of the Israelites' way. He rebuilt the illegal places of worship that his father Hezekiah had destroyed. He set up altars dedicated to Baal and made a pole dedicated to the goddess Asherah, as King Ahab of Israel had done. Manasseh, like Ahab, worshipped and served the entire army of heaven. He built altars in the Lord's temple where the Lord had said, I will put my name in Jerusalem. In the two courtyards of the Lord's temple, he built altars for the entire army of heaven. He burned his son as a sacrifice, consulted fortune-tellers, cast evil spells, and appointed royal mediums and psychics. He did many things that made the Lord furious. Manasseh had an idol of Asherah made. Then he set it up in the temple where the Lord had said to David and his son Solomon, I have chosen this temple and Jerusalem from all the tribes of Israel. I will put my name here forever. I will never again make Israel's feet wander from the land that I gave to their ancestors, if they obey all the commands and all the teachings that my servant Moses gave them. But they wouldn't obey. Manasseh misled Israel so that they did more evil things than the nations that the Lord had destroyed when the Israelites arrived in the land. Then the Lord spoke through his servants the prophets. King Manasseh of Judah has done disgusting things, things more evil than what the Amorites who were here before him had done. Manasseh has also made Judah sin by worshipping his idols. So this is what I, the Lord God of Israel, said. I'm going to bring such a disaster on Jerusalem and Judah that the ears of everyone who hears about it will ring. I will measure Jerusalem with a measuring line used for Samaria and the plumb line used for Ahab's dynasty. I will wipe out Jerusalem in the same way that a dish is wiped out and turned upside down. I will abandon the rest of my people. I will put them under the control of their enemies, and they will become property that their enemies capture. 
I will do this because they have done what I consider evil, and have been making me furious from the time their ancestors left Egypt until this day. In addition to his sin that he led Judah to commit in front of the Lord, Manasseh also killed a lot of innocent people from one end of Jerusalem to the other. Isn't everything else about Manasseh, everything he did, the sins he committed, written in the official records of the kings of Judah? Manasseh lay down in death with his ancestors. He was buried in the garden of his own palace, in the garden of Uzzah. His son Ammon succeeded him as king. Ammon was twenty-two years old when he began to rule, and he ruled for two years in Jerusalem. His mother was Meshulameth, daughter of Haruz from Jotba. He did what the Lord considered evil, as his father Manasseh had done. He lived like his father in every way, and worshipped and prayed to the idols his father had worshipped. He abandoned the Lord God of his ancestors, and didn't live the Lord's way. Ammon's officials plotted against him and killed him in his palace. Then the people of the land killed everyone who had plotted against King Ammon. They made his son Josiah king in his place. Isn't everything else about Ammon, the things he did, written in the official record of the kings of Judah? He was buried in his tomb in the garden of Uzzah. His son Josiah succeeded him as king. Second Kings, chapter 22. Josiah was eight years old when he began to rule, and he was king for thirty-one years in Jerusalem. His mother was Jedidah, daughter of Adiah from Bozkath. Josiah did what the Lord considered right. He lived in the ways of his ancestor David and never stopped. In Josiah's eighteenth year as king of Judah, he sent the scribe Shaphan, son of Azaliah and grandson of Meshulam, to the Lord's temple with these instructions. Go to the chief priest Hilkiah. Have him count the money that has been brought into the Lord's temple, the money that the doorkeepers have collected from the people. Give some of it to the foremen who are in charge of the Lord's temple. They should give it to the workmen who are making repairs on the Lord's temple. These workers include the carpenters, builders, and masons. Also, use the rest of the money to buy lumber and quarried stones to repair the temple. Since the workmen are honest, don't require them to account for the money you give them. The chief priest Hilkiah told the scribe Shaphan, I have found the book of Moses' teachings in the Lord's temple. Hilkiah gave the book to Shaphan, who then read it. The scribe Shaphan went to the king and reported, We have taken the money donated in the temple and have given it to the workmen who are in charge of the Lord's temple. Then the scribe Shaphan told the king, The priest Hilkiah has given me a book, and Shaphan read it to the king. When the king heard what the book of the teaching said, he tore his clothes in distress. Then the king gave an order to the priest Hilkiah, to Ahikam, son of Shaphan, Achbor, son of Micaiah, the scribe Shaphan, and the royal official Asaiah. He said, On behalf of the people, all of Judah and me, ask the Lord about the words in this book that has been found. The Lord's fierce anger is directed towards us because our ancestors did not obey the things in this book, or do everything written in it. So the priest Hilkiah, Ahikam, Achbor, Shaphan, and Isaiah went to talk to the prophet Huldah. She was the wife of Shalom, son of Tikva, and grandson of Harhas. Shalom was in charge of the royal wardrobe. Huldah was living in the second part of Jerusalem. She told them, This is what the Lord God of Israel says. Tell the man who sent you to me, This is what the Lord says. I'm going to bring disaster on this place and on the people living here according to everything written in the book that the king of Judah has read. I will do this because they have abandoned me and sacrificed to other gods in order to make me furious. 
Therefore, my burning anger directed at this place will never be extinguished. Huldah added, But tell Judah's king, who sent you to me to ask the Lord a question, This is what the Lord God of Israel says about the words you heard. You had a change of heart and humbled yourself in front of the Lord when you heard my words against this place and those who live here. I had said that those who live here will be destroyed and cursed. You also tore your clothes in distress and cried in front of me. So I will listen to you, declares the Lord. That is why I am going to bring you to your ancestors. I am going to bring you to your grave in peace, and your eyes will not see any of the disaster I am going to bring on this place. So they reported this to the king. Second Kings chapter 23. Then the king sent for all the respected leaders of Judah and Jerusalem to join him. The king, everyone in Judah, everyone living in Jerusalem, the priests, the prophets, and all the people, young and old, went to the Lord's temple. Josiah read everything written in the book of the promise found in the Lord's temple so that they could hear it. The king stood beside the pillar and made a promise to the Lord that he would follow the Lord and obey his commands, instructions, and laws with all his heart and soul. He confirmed the terms of the promise written in this book, and all the people joined in the promise. Then the king ordered the chief priest Hilkiah, the priest who served under Hilkiah, and the doorkeepers to take out of the Lord's temple all the utensils that had been made for Baal, Asherah, and the entire army of heaven. Josiah burned the utensils outside Jerusalem in an open field near the Kidron brook. Then he carried their ashes to Bethel. He got rid of the pagan priests whom the kings of Judah had appointed to sacrifice at the illegal places of worship in the cities of Judah and all around Jerusalem. They had been sacrificing to Baal, the sun god, the moon god, the zodiac, and the entire army of heaven. He took the pole dedicated to the goddess Asherah from the temple to the Kidron Valley outside Jerusalem. He burned it in the Kidron Valley, ground it to dust, and threw its ashes on the tombs of the common people. He tore down the houses of the male temple prostitutes who were in the Lord's temple, where women did weaving for Asherah. He brought all the priests out of the cities of Judah from Geba to Beersheba, and made the places where those priests sacrificed unclean. He tore down the worship site at the entrance of the gate of Joshua, the gate named after the mayor of the city. The worship site was to the left of anyone going through the city gate. The priests of the illegal worship sites had never gone to the Lord's altar in Jerusalem. Instead, they ate their unleavened bread among the other worshippers. Josiah also made Topheth in the valley of Ben-Hinnom unclean, so that people would never again sacrifice their sons or daughters by burning them to the god Molech. He removed the horses that Judah's kings had dedicated to the sun god at the entrance of the Lord's temple. They were in the temple courtyard near the room of the eunuch Nathan Melech. He also burned the chariots of the sun god, the altars that Judah's kings had made and placed on the roof of Ahaz's upstairs room, and the altars Manasseh had made in the two courtyards of the Lord's temple. The king tore them down from there, crushed them, and dumped their rubble in the Kidron Valley. The king made the illegal places of worship east of Jerusalem unclean. They were in the southern part of the Hill of Destruction. King Solomon of Israel had built them for Astarte, the disgusting goddess of the Sidonians, Chemosh, the disgusting god of Moab, and Milcom, the disgusting god of the Ammonites. Josiah crushed the sacred stones, cut down the poles dedicated to Asherah, and filled their places with human bones. He also tore down the altar at Bethel, the place of worship made by Jeroboam, Nebat's son, who had made Israel sin. He tore down both the altar and the place of worship. They burned the worship site, crushing it to powder and burning the pole dedicated to Asherah. 
When Josiah turned and saw the tombs on the hill there, he sent men to take the bones out of the tombs and burn them on the altar to make it unclean. This fulfilled the word of the Lord announced by the man of God. Then he asked, What is this monument that I see? The people of the city answered him, It's the tomb of the man of God who came from Judah to announce that you would do these things to the altar of Bethel. So Josiah said, Let him rest. Don't disturb his bones. So they left his bones with the bones of the prophet who had come from Samaria. Josiah also got rid of all the temples at the illegal places of worship in the cities of Samaria. The kings of Israel had built these places to make the Lord furious. He did to them everything that he had done to the worship places at Bethel. He slaughtered all the priests of the illegal worship sites on their altars, and then burned human bones on them. He went back to Jerusalem. The king ordered all the people to celebrate the Passover for the Lord their God, as it is written in the book of the promise. The Passover had never been celebrated like this during the time of the judges who governed Israel, or during the entire time of the kings of Israel and Judah. But in the eighteenth year of King Josiah's reign, this Passover was celebrated in Jerusalem for the Lord. Josiah also got rid of the mediums, psychics, family idols, other idols, and disgusting gods that could be seen in the land of Judah and in Jerusalem. He did this to confirm the words of the teachings written in the book that the priest Hilkiah found in the Lord's temple. No king before Josiah had turned to the Lord with all his heart, soul, and strength, as directed in Moses' teachings. No other king was like Josiah. But the Lord still didn't turn his hot, burning anger from Judah. After all, Manasseh had done all these things to make him furious. The Lord had said, I will put Judah out of my sight as I put Israel out of my sight. I will reject Jerusalem, the city that I chose, and I will reject the temple where I said my name would be. Isn't everything else about Josiah, everything he did, written in the official records of the kings of Judah? In Josiah's days, Pharaoh Necho, the king of Egypt, came to help the king of Assyria at the Euphrates River. King Josiah went to attack Necho. When Pharaoh saw him at Megiddo, Pharaoh killed him. His officers put his dead body in a chariot and brought it from Megiddo to Jerusalem. They buried Josiah in his tomb. Then the people of the land took Josiah's son Jehoahaz, anointed him, and made him king in place of his father. Jehoahaz was twenty-three years old when he became king, and he was king for three months in Jerusalem. His mother was Hamutal, daughter of Jeremiah from Libna. He did what the Lord considered evil, as his ancestors had done. Pharaoh Necho made him a prisoner at Ribla in the territory of Hamath during his reign in Jerusalem, and fined the country seven thousand five hundred pounds of silver and seventy-five pounds of gold. Then Pharaoh Necho made Josiah's son Eliakim king in place of his father Josiah, and changed Eliakim's name to Jehoiakim. He took Jehoahaz away to Egypt, where he died. Jehoiakim gave Pharaoh the silver and the gold, but he had to tax the country to pay the silver Pharaoh had demanded. He taxed each person according to his wealth, so that he could get the silver and gold from the people of the land and give it to Pharaoh Necho. Jehoiakim was twenty-five years old when he began to rule, and he was king for eleven years in Jerusalem. His mother was Zebida, daughter of Pediah from Rumah. Jehoiakim did what the Lord considered evil, as his ancestors had done. Second Kings, chapter 24. During Jehoiakim's reign, King Nebuchadnezzar of Babylon attacked Judah, and Jehoiakim became subject to him for three years. Then Jehoiakim turned against him and rebelled. 
the Lord sent raiding parties of Babylonians, Arameans, Moabites, and Ammonites against Jehoiakim to destroy Judah, as the Lord had predicted through his servants the prophets. Without a doubt, this happened to Judah because the Lord had commanded it to happen. He wanted to remove the people of Judah from his sight because of Manasseh's sins, everything he had done, including the innocent blood he had shed. He had a lot of innocent people in Jerusalem killed, and the Lord refused to forgive him. Isn't everything else about Jehoiakim, everything he did, written in the official records of the kings of Judah? Jehoiakim lay down in death with his ancestors, and his son Jehoiakim succeeded him as king. The king of Egypt didn't leave his own country again because the king of Babylon had taken all the territory from the river of Egypt to the Euphrates River. This territory had belonged to the king of Egypt. Jehoiakim was eighteen years old when he began to rule as king. He was king for three months in Jerusalem. His mother was Nehushta, daughter of Elnathan from Jerusalem. Jehoiakim did what the Lord considered evil, as his father had done. At that time the officers of King Nebuchadnezzar of Babylon attacked Jerusalem. The city was blockaded. King Nebuchadnezzar of Babylon arrived while his officers were blockading the city. King Jehoiakim of Judah, his mother, officials, generals, and eunuchs surrendered to the king of Babylon. In the eighth year of his reign, the king of Babylon captured Jehoiakim. He also took away all the treasures in the Lord's temple and the royal palace. As the Lord had predicted, Nebuchadnezzar stripped the gold off all the furnishings that King Solomon of Israel had made for the Lord's temple. He captured all Jerusalem, all the generals, all the soldiers, ten thousand prisoners, and all the craftsmen and smiths. Only the poorest people of the land were left. He took Jehoiakim to Babylon as a captive. He also took the king's mother, wives, eunuchs, and the leading citizens of the land from Jerusalem as captives to Babylon. The king of Babylon brought all seven thousand of the prominent landowners, one thousand craftsmen and smiths, and all the men who could fight in war as captives to Babylon. The king of Babylon made King Jehoiakim's uncle Mataniah king in his place, and changed Mataniah's name to Zedekiah. Zedekiah was twenty-one years old when he began to rule, and he ruled for eleven years in Jerusalem. His mother was Hamutal, daughter of Jeremiah from Libna. Zedekiah did what the Lord considered evil, as Jehoiakim had done. The Lord became angry with Jerusalem and Judah, and threw the people out of his sight. Zedekiah rebelled against the king of Babylon. Second Kings, chapter 25. On the tenth day of the tenth month of the ninth year of Zedekiah's reign, King Nebuchadnezzar of Babylon attacked Jerusalem with his entire army. They set up camp and built dirt ramps around the city walls. The blockade of the city lasted until Zedekiah's eleventh year as king. On the ninth day of the fourth month, the famine in the city became so severe that the common people had no food. The enemy broke through the city walls that night. All Judah's soldiers left on the road of the gate between the two walls beside the king's garden. While the Babylonians were attacking the city from all sides, the king took the road to the plain of Jericho. The Babylonian army pursued King Zedekiah and caught up with him in the plain of Jericho. His entire army had deserted him. The Babylonians captured the king, brought him to the king of Babylon at Riblah, and passed sentence on him. They slaughtered Zedekiah's sons as he watched, and then they blinded Zedekiah. They put him in bronze shackles and took him to Babylon. On the seventh day of the fifth month of Nebuchadnezzar's nineteenth year as king of Babylon, Nebuzaradan, who was the captain of the guard and an officer of the king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem. He burned down the Lord's temple, 
the royal palace, and all the houses in Jerusalem. Every important building was burned down. The entire Babylonian army that was with the captain of the guard tore down the walls around Jerusalem. Nebuzaradan, the captain of the guard, captured the few people left in the city, those who surrendered to the king of Babylon and the rest of the population. The captain of the guard left some of the poorest people in the land to work in the vineyards and on the farms. The Babylonians broke apart the bronze pillars of the Lord's temple, the stands and the bronze pool in the Lord's temple. They shipped the bronze to Babylon. They took the pots, shovels, snuffers, dishes, and all the bronze utensils used in the temple service. The captain of the guard took all of the incense burners and bowls that were made of gold or silver. The bronze from the two pillars, the pool, and the stands that Solomon had made for the Lord's temple couldn't be weighed. One pillar was twenty-seven feet high and had a bronze capital on it that was four and a half feet high. The filigree and the pomegranates around the capital were all made of bronze. The second pillar and its filigree were the same. The captain of the guard took the chief priest, Seraiah, the second priest, Zephaniah, and the three doorkeepers. From the city he also took an army commander, five men who had access to the king whom he found in the city, the scribe who was in charge of the militia, and sixty of the common people whom he found in the city. Nebuzaradan, the captain of the guard, took them and brought them to the king of Babylon at Riblah. The king of Babylon executed them at Riblah in the territory of Hamath. So the people of Judah were captives when they left their land. King Nebuchadnezzar of Babylon appointed Gedaliah, son of Ahikam, and grandson of Shaphan, to govern the remaining people in the land of Judah. When all the army commanders and their men heard that the king of Babylon had appointed Gedaliah, they went to Gedaliah at Mizpah. They were Ishmael, son of Nethaniah, Jehonan, son of Korea, Seraiah, son of Tanhumeth from Natopha, and Jaazaniah from Beth Maacah, and their men. Gedaliah swore an oath to them and their men. He said, Don't be afraid of the Babylonian officers. Live in this country. Serve the king of Babylon, and you will prosper. In the seventh month, Ishmael, son of Nethaniah, and grandson of Elishama, a descendant of the kings, went with ten men to kill Gedaliah and the Judeans and Babylonians who were with him at Mizpah. Then people of all classes and the army commanders left for Egypt because they were afraid of the Babylonians. On the twenty-seventh day of the twelfth month of the thirty-seventh year of the imprisonment of King Jehoiakim of Judah, King Evil Moradak of Babylon, in the first year of his reign, freed King Jehoiakim of Judah from prison. He treated him well and gave him a special position higher than the other kings who were with him in Babylon. Jehoiakim no longer wore prison clothes, and he ate his meals in the king's presence as long as he lived. The king of Babylon gave him a daily food allowance as long as he lived.